Genesis chapter 1 In the beginning God created heaven and earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep water. The Spirit of God was hovering over the water. Then God said, Let there be light. So there was light. God saw the light was good. So God separated the light from the darkness. God named the light day, and the darkness he named night. There was evening, then morning, the first day. Then God said, Let there be a horizon in the middle of the water in order to separate the water. So God made the horizon and separated the water above and below the horizon. And so it was. God named what was above the horizon sky. There was evening, then morning, a second day. Then God said, Let the water under the sky come together in one area, and let the dry land appear. And so it was. God named the dry land earth. The water which came together he named sea. God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the earth produce vegetation, plants bearing seeds, each according to its own type, and fruit trees bearing fruit with seeds, each according to its own type. And so it was. The earth produced vegetation, plants bearing seeds, each according to its own type, and trees bearing fruit with seeds, each according to its own type. God saw that they were good. There was evening, then morning, a third day. Then God said, Let there be lights in the sky to separate the day from the night. They will be signs and will mark religious festivals, days and years. They will be lights in the sky to shine on the earth. And so it was. God made the two bright lights, the larger light to rule the day, and the smaller light to rule the night. He also made the stars. God put them in the sky to give light to the earth, to dominate the day and the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. God saw that it was good. There was evening, then morning, a fourth day. Then God said, Let the waters swarm with swimming creatures, and let birds fly through the sky over the earth. So God created the large sea creatures, every type of creature that swims around in the water, and every type of flying bird. God saw that they were good. God blessed them and said, Be fertile, increase in number, fill the sea, and let there be many birds on the earth. There was evening, then morning, a fifth day. Then God said, Let the earth produce every type of living creature, every type of domestic animal, crawling animal, and wild animal. And so it was. God made every type of wild animal, every type of domestic animal, and every type of creature that crawls on the ground. God saw that they were good. Then God said, Let us make humans in our image, in our likeness. Let them rule the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the domestic animals all over the earth, and all the animals that crawl on the earth. So God created humans in His image. In the image of God He created them. He created them male and female. God blessed them and said, Be fertile, increase in number, fill the earth, and be its master. Rule the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that crawl on the earth. God said, I have given you every plant with seeds on the face of the earth, and every tree that has fruit with seeds. This will be your food. I have given all green plants as food to every land animal, every bird in the sky, and every animal that crawls on the earth, every living, breathing animal. And so it was. And God saw everything that he had made, and that it was very good. There was evening, then morning, the sixth day. Genesis chapter 2. Heaven and earth and everything in them were finished. 
By the seventh day God had finished the work He had been doing. On the seventh day He stopped the work He had been doing. Then God blessed the seventh day and set it apart as holy, because on that day He stopped all His work of creation. This is the account of heaven and earth when they were created at the time when the Lord God made earth and heaven. Wild bushes and plants were not on the earth yet, because the Lord God hadn't sent rain on the earth. Also, there was no one to farm the land. Instead, underground water would come up from the earth and water the entire surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the earth, and blew the breath of life into his nostrils. The man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east. That's where he put the man whom he had formed. The Lord God made all the trees grow out of the ground. These trees were nice to look at, and their fruit was good to eat. The tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil grew in the middle of the garden. A river flowed from Eden to water the garden. Outside the garden it divided into four rivers. The name of the first river is Pishon. This is the one that winds throughout Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is pure. Delium and onyx are also found there. The name of the second river is Gihon. This is the one that winds throughout Sudan. The name of the third river is Tigris. This is the one that flows east of Assyria. The fourth river is the Euphrates. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to farm the land and to take care of it. The Lord God commanded the man. He said, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must never eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is right for him. The Lord God had formed all the wild animals and all the birds out of the ground. Then he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man called each creature became its name. So the man named all the domestic animals, all the birds, and all the wild animals. But the man found no helper who was right for him. So the Lord God caused him to fall into a deep sleep. While the man was sleeping, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God formed a woman from the rib that he had taken from the man. He brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She will be named woman, because she was taken from man. That is why a man will leave his father and mother and will be united with his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, but they weren't ashamed of it. Genesis chapter 3. The snake was more clever than all the wild animals the Lord God had made. He asked the woman, Did God really say, You must never eat the fruit of any tree in the garden? The woman answered the snake, We're allowed to eat the fruit from any tree in the garden except the tree in the middle of the garden. God said, You must never eat it or touch it. If you do, you will die. You certainly won't die, the serpent told the woman. God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree had fruit that was good to eat, nice to look at, and desirable for making someone wise. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then their eyes were opened, and they both realized that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made clothes for themselves. In the cool of the evening, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking around in the garden. 
So they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. The Lord God called to the man and asked him, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. God asked, Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat fruit from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? The man answered, That woman, the one you gave me, gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, What have you done? The snake deceived me, and I ate, the woman answered. So the Lord God said to the snake, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the wild or domestic animals. You will crawl on your belly. You will be the lowest of animals as long as you live. I will make you and the woman hostile toward each other. I will make your descendants and her descendant hostile toward each other. He will crush your head, and you will bruise his heel. He said to the woman, I will increase your pain and your labor when you give birth to children. Yet you will long for your husband, and he will rule you. Then he said to the man, You listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree. Although I commanded you, you must never eat its fruit. The ground is cursed because of you. Through hard work you will eat food that comes from it every day of your life. The ground will grow thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat wild plants. By the sweat of your brow you will produce food to eat until you return to the ground, because you were taken from it. You are dust, and you will return to dust. Adam named his wife Eve, life, because she became the mother of every living person. The Lord God made clothes from animal skins for the man and his wife, and dressed them. Then the Lord God said, The man has become like one of us, since he knows good and evil. He must not reach out and take the fruit from the tree of life and eat. Then he would live forever. So the Lord God sent the man out of the Garden of Eden to farm the ground from which the man had been formed. After he sent the man out, God placed angels and a flaming sword that turned in all directions east of the Garden of Eden. He placed them there to guard the way to the tree of life. Genesis chapter 4 Adam made love to his wife Eve. She became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, I have gotten the man that the Lord promised. Then she gave birth to another child, Abel. Cain's brother. Abel was a shepherd, and Cain was a farmer. Later, Cain brought some crops from the land as an offering to the Lord. Abel also brought some choice parts of the firstborn animals from his flock. The Lord approved of Abel and his offering, but he didn't approve of Cain and his offering. So Cain became very angry and was disappointed. Then the Lord asked Cain, Why are you angry, and why do you look disappointed? If you do well, won't you be accepted? But if you don't do well, sin is lying outside your door ready to attack. It wants to control you, but you must master it. Cain talked to his brother Abel. Later, when they were in the fields, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. The Lord asked Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he answered. Am I supposed to take care of my brother? The Lord asked, What have you done? Your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the ground which has received the blood of your brother whom you killed. When you farm the ground, it will no longer yield its best for you. You will be a fugitive, a wanderer on the earth. But Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can stand. You have forced me off this land today. I have to hide from you and become a fugitive, a wanderer on the earth. Now anyone who finds me will kill me. So the Lord said to him, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. 
The Lord gave Cain a sign so that anyone meeting him would not kill him. Then Cain left the Lord's presence and lived in Nod, the land of wandering east of Eden. Cain made love to his wife. She became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was building a city, and he named it Enoch after his son. To Enoch was born Ired. Ired was the father of Mahujael. Mahujael was the father of Methushael. And Methushael was the father of Lamech. Lamech married two women, one named Ada and the other Zillah. Ada gave birth to Jabal. He was the first person to live in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the first person to play the harp and the flute. Zillah also had a son, Tubal-Cain, who made bronze and iron tools. Tubal-Cain's sister was Naama. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear what I say. I killed a man for bruising me, a young man for wounding me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech seventy-seven times. Adam made love to his wife again. She gave birth to a son and named him Seth, because she said, God has given me another child in place of Abel, since Cain killed him. A son was also born to Seth, and he named him Enosh. At that time people began to worship the Lord. Genesis chapter 5. This is the written account of Adam and his descendants. When God created humans, He made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female. He blessed them and called them humans when He created them. When Adam was 130 years old, he became the father of a son in his own likeness. In his own image, he named him Seth. After Adam became the father of Seth, he lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Adam lived a total of 930 years. Then he died. When Seth was 105 years old, he became the father of Enosh. After he became the father of Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Seth lived a total of 912 years then he died. When Enosh was ninety years old, he became the father of Kenan. After he became the father of Kenan, Enosh lived eight hundred fifteen years and had other sons and daughters. Enosh lived a total of nine hundred five years. Then he died. When Kenan was seventy years old, he became the father of Mahalalel. After he became the father of Mahalalel, Kenan lived eight hundred forty years and had other sons and daughters. Kenan lived a total of nine hundred ten years. Then he died. When Mahalalel was sixty-five years old, he became the father of Jared. After he became the father of Jared, Mahalalel lived eight hundred thirty years and had other sons and daughters. Mahalalel lived a total of eight hundred ninety-five years, then he died. When Jared was one hundred sixty-two years old, he became the father of Enoch. After he became the father of Enoch, Jared lived eight hundred years and had other sons and daughters. Jared lived a total of nine hundred sixty-two years, then he died. When Enoch was sixty-five years old, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God for three hundred years and had other sons and daughters. Enoch lived a total of three hundred sixty-five years. Enoch walked with God, then he was gone because God took him. When Methuselah was one hundred eighty-seven years old, he became the father of Lamech. After he became the father of Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Methuselah lived a total of 969 years, then he died. When Lamech was 182 years old, he became the father of a son. He named him Noah, Relief, and said, This child will bring us relief from the work and painful labor of our hands, since the Lord has cursed the ground.
After Lamech became the father of Noah, he lived 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Lamech lived a total of 777 years, then he died. When Noah was 500 years old, he became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Genesis chapter 6. The number of people increased all over the earth, and daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw that the daughters of other humans were beautiful, so they married any woman they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not struggle with humans forever, because they are flesh and blood. They will live one hundred twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, as well as later, when the sons of God slept with the daughters of other humans and had children by them. These children were famous long ago. The Lord saw how evil humans had become on the earth, all day long their deepest thoughts were nothing but evil. The Lord was sorry that He had made humans on the earth, and He was heartbroken. So He said, I will wipe off the face of the earth these humans that I created. I will wipe out not only humans, but also domestic animals, crawling animals, and birds. I'm sorry that I made them. But the Lord was pleased with Noah. This is the account of Noah and his descendants. Noah had God's approval and was a man of integrity among the people of his time. He walked with God. He had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The world was corrupt in God's sight and full of violence. God saw the world and how corrupt it was because all people on earth lived evil lives. God said to Noah, I have decided to put an end to all people because the earth is full of their violence. Now I am going to destroy them along with the earth. Make yourself a ship of cypress wood. Make rooms in the ship and coat it inside and out with tar. This is how you should build it. The ship is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Make a roof for the ship and leave an 18-inch high opening at the top. Put a door in the side of the ship. Build the ship with lower, middle, and upper decks. I'm about to send a flood on the earth to destroy all people under the sky, every living, breathing human, everything on earth will die. But I will make my promise to you. You, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives will go into the ship. Bring two of every living creature into the ship in order to keep them alive with you. They must be male and female, two of every type of bird, every type of domestic animal, and every type of creature that crawls on the ground will come to you to be kept alive. Take every kind of food that can be eaten and store it. It will be food for you and the animals. Noah did this. He did everything that God had commanded him. Genesis chapter 7. The Lord said to Noah, Go into the ship with your whole family, because I have seen that you alone are righteous among the people of today. Take with you seven pairs of every kind of clean animal, a male and a female of each and one pair of every kind of unclean animal, a male and a female. Also take seven pairs of every kind of bird, a male and a female of each, to preserve animal life all over the earth after the flood. In seven days I will send rain to the earth for forty days and forty nights. I will wipe off the face of the earth every living creature that I have made. So Noah did everything that the Lord commanded him. Noah was six hundred years old when the flood came to the earth. Noah, his sons... His wife and his son's wives went into the ship to escape the floodwaters. Clean and unclean animals, birds and creatures that crawl on the ground, came to Noah to go into the ship in pairs, a male and female of each, as God had commanded Noah. Seven days later the flood came on the earth. 
On the seventeenth day of the second month of the six hundredth year of Noah's life, all the deep springs burst open, the sky opened, and rain came pouring down on the earth for forty days and forty nights. On that same day Noah and his sons Shem, Ham, and Japheth, as well as Noah's wife and his three daughters-in-law, went into the ship. They had with them every type of wild animal, every type of domestic animal, every type of creature that crawls on the earth, and every type of bird, every creature with wings. A pair of every living, breathing animal came to Noah to go into the ship. A male and a female of every animal went in as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord closed the door behind them. The flood continued for forty days on the earth. The water increased and lifted the ship so that it rose high above the ground. As the water rose and became very deep, the ship floated on top of the water. The water rose very high above the earth. It covered all the high mountains everywhere under the sky. It rose twenty-three feet above the mountaintops. Every creature that crawls on the earth died, including birds, domestic and wild animals, and everything that swarms over the earth along with every human. Everything on dry land, every living, breathing creature died. Every living creature on the face of the earth was wiped out. Humans, domestic animals, crawling creatures, and birds were wiped off the earth. Only Noah and those with him in the ship were left. The flood waters were on the earth for 150 days. Genesis chapter 8. God remembered Noah and all the wild and domestic animals with him in the ship. So God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters started to go down. The deep springs and the sky had been shut, and the rain had stopped pouring. The water began to recede from the land. At the end of 150 days, the water had decreased. On the seventeenth day of the seventh month, the ship came to rest in the mountains of Ararat. The water kept decreasing until the tenth month. On the first day of the tenth month, the tops of the mountains appeared. After forty more days, Noah opened the window he had made in the ship and sent out a raven. It kept flying back and forth until the water on the land had dried up. Next, he sent out a dove to see if the water was gone from the surface of the ground. The dove couldn't find a place to land because the water was still all over the earth. So it came back to Noah in the ship. He reached out and brought the dove back into the ship. He waited seven more days and again sent the dove out of the ship. The dove came to him in the evening, and in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Then Noah knew that the water was gone from the earth. He waited seven more days and sent out the dove again, but it never came back to him. By the first day of the first month of Noah's six hundred and first year, the water on the land had dried up. Noah opened the top of the ship, looked out, and saw the surface of the ground. By the twenty-seventh day of the second month, the land was dry. Then God spoke to Noah, Come out of the ship with your wife, your sons and your sons' wives. Bring out every animal that's with you, birds, domestic animals, and every creature that crawls on the earth. Be fertile, increase in number, and spread over the earth. So Noah came out with his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives, Every animal, crawling creature, and bird, everything that moves on the earth, came out of the ship, one kind after another. Noah built an altar to the Lord. On it he made a burnt offering of each type of clean animal and clean bird. The Lord smelled the soothing aroma. He said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of humans, even though from birth their hearts are set on nothing but evil. I will never again kill every living creature as I have just done. As long as the earth exists, planting and harvesting, cold and heat, 
summer and winter, day and night, will never stop. Genesis chapter 9. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fertile, increase in number, and fill the earth. All the wild animals and all the birds will fear you and be terrified of you. Every creature that crawls on the ground and all the fish in the sea have been put under your control. Everything that lives and moves will be your food. I gave you green plants as food. I now give you everything else. But you are not to eat meat with blood in it. Blood is life. In addition, I will demand your blood for your life. I will demand it from any animal or from any person. I will demand the life of any person who kills another person. Whoever sheds human blood, by humans his blood will be shed, because in the image of God, God made humans. Be fertile and increase in number, spread over the earth and increase. God also said to Noah and his sons, I am going to make my promise to you, your descendants, and every living being that is with you, birds, domestic animals, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ship, every living thing on earth. I am making my promise to you. Never again will all life be killed by floodwaters. Never again will there be a flood that destroys the earth. God said, This is the sign of the promise I am giving to you and every living being that is with you for generations to come. I will put my rainbow in the clouds to be a sign of my promise to the earth. Whenever I form clouds over the earth, a rainbow will appear in the clouds. Then I will remember my promise to you and every living animal. Never again will water become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember my everlasting promise to every living animal on earth. So God said to Noah, This is the sign of the promise I am making to all life on earth. Noah's sons who came out of the ship were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. These were Noah's three sons. From them the whole earth was populated. Ham was the father of Canaan. Noah, a farmer, was the first person to plant a vineyard. He drank some wine, got drunk, and lay naked inside his tent. Ham, father of Canaan, saw his father naked, so he went outside and told his two brothers. Shem and Japheth took a blanket and laid it over their shoulders. Then they walked in backwards and covered their father's naked body. They turned their faces away so that they didn't see their father naked. When Noah sobered up, he found out what his youngest son had done to him. So he said, Canaan is cursed. He will be the lowest slave to his brothers. Praise the Lord, the God of Shem. Canaan will be his slave. May God expand the territory of Japheth. May he live in the tents of Shem. Canaan will be his slave. Noah lived 350 years after the flood. Noah lived a total of 950 years. Then he died. Genesis chapter 10. This is the account of Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their descendants. Shem, Ham, and Japheth had children after the flood. Japheth's descendants were Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tiras. Gomer's descendants were Ashkenaz, Riphath, and Togarmah. Javan's descendants were the people from Elisha, Tarshish, Cyprus, and Rhodes. From these descendants, the people of the coastlands spread into their own countries. Each nation had its own language and families. Ham's descendants were Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. Cush's descendants were Seba, Havila, Sabta, Rama, and Sabtika. Rama's descendants were Sheba and Dedan. Cush was the father of Nimrod, the first mighty warrior on the earth. He was a mighty hunter whom the Lord blessed. 
That's why people used to say, He's like Nimrod, a mighty hunter whom the Lord blessed. The first cities in his kingdom were Babylon, Erech, Achad, and Kalne in Shinar, Babylonia. He went from that land to Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehobothir, Kala, and Resen, the great city between Nineveh and Kala. Egypt was the ancestor of the Ludites, Anamites, Lehabites, Neftuhites, Pathrushites, Kashluhites, from whom the Philistines came, and the Kaphtorites. Canaan was the father of Sidon, his firstborn, then Heth, also the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Archites, the Sinites, the Arvadites, the Zemarites, and the Hamathites. Later the Canaan family scattered. The border of the Canaanites extended from Sidon toward Gerar as far as Gaza, and then toward Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and Zebulim as far as Lasha. These were Ham's descendants by families and languages within their countries and nations. Shem, Japheth's older brother, also had children. Shem was the ancestor of all the sons of Eber. Shem's descendants were Elam, Ashur, Arpaxad, Lud, and Aram. Aram's descendants were Uz, Hul, Gether, and Mash. Arpaxad was the father of Shelah, and Shelah was the father of Eber. Two sons were born to Eber. The name of the one was Peleg, division, because in his day the earth was divided. His brother's name was Joktan. Joktan was the father of Almodad, Shelef, Hazarmabeth, Jera, Hadoram, Uzal, Dikla, Obal, Abimael, Sheba, Ophir, Havilah, and Jobab. These were Joktan's sons. The region where they lived extended from Misha toward Shephar in the eastern mountains. These were Shem's descendants by families and languages within their countries, according to their nations. These were the families of Noah's sons listed by their genealogies, nation by nation. From these descendants the nations spread over the earth after the flood. Genesis chapter 11. The whole world had one language with a common vocabulary. As people moved toward the east, they found a plain in Shinar, Babylonia, and settled there. They said to one another, Let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used bricks as stones and tar as mortar. Then they said, Let's build a city for ourselves and a tower with its top in the sky. Let's make a name for ourselves so that we won't become scattered all over the face of the earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the descendants of Adam were building. The Lord said, They are one people with one language. This is only the beginning of what they will do. Now nothing they plan to do will be too difficult for them. Let us go down there and mix up their language so that they won't understand each other. So the Lord scattered them all over the face of the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was named Babel, because there the Lord turned the language of the whole earth into Babel. From that place the Lord scattered them all over the face of the earth. This is the account of Shem and his descendants. Two years after the flood, when Shem was one hundred years old, he became the father of Arpachshad. After he became the father of Arpachshad, Shem lived five hundred years and had other sons and daughters. Arpachshad was thirty-five years old when he became the father of Shelah. After he became the father of Shelah, Arpachshad lived four hundred three years and had other sons and daughters. Shelah was thirty years old when he became the father of Eber. After he became the father of Eber, Shelah lived four hundred three years and had other sons and daughters. Eber was thirty-four years old when he became the father of Peleg. After he became the father of Peleg, Eber lived four hundred thirty years and had other sons and daughters. Peleg was thirty years old when he became the father of Reu. 
After he became the father of Reu, Peleg lived 209 years and had other sons and daughters. Reu was 32 years old when he became the father of Serug. After he became the father of Serug, Reu lived 207 years and had other sons and daughters. Serug was 30 years old when he became the father of Nahor. After he became the father of Nahor, Serug lived 200 years and had other sons and daughters. Nahor was 29 years old when he became the father of Terah. After he became the father of Terah, Nahor lived 119 years and had other sons and daughters. Terah was 70 years old when he became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. This is the account of Terah and his descendants. Terah was the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran was the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans, his native land. Both Abram and Nahor married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, daughter of Haran. Haran was the father of Milcah and Iscah. Sarai was not able to have children. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, wife of his son Abram. They set out together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. When they came as far as Haran, they stayed there. Terah lived two hundred five years and died in Haran. Genesis chapter 12. The Lord said to Abram, Leave your land, your relatives, and your father's home. Go to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. Through you every family on earth will be blessed. So Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was seventy-five years old when he left Haran. Abram set out for Canaan. He took along his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated, and the servants they had acquired in Haran. They arrived in Canaan, and Abram traveled through the land to the oak tree belonging to Morah at Shechem. At that time the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I'm going to give this land to your descendants. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. He moved on to the hills east of Bethel, and he put up his tent. With Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, he also built an altar to the Lord there and worshipped the Lord. Abram kept moving toward the Negev. There was a famine in the land. Abram went to Egypt to stay a while because the famine was severe. When he was about to enter Egypt, Abram said to his wife Sarai, I know that you're a beautiful woman. When the Egyptians see you, they'll say, This is his wife. Then they'll kill me, but let you live. Please say that you're my sister. Then everything will be all right for me, and because of you I will live. When Abraham arrived in Egypt, the Egyptians saw how very beautiful his wife was. When Pharaoh's officials saw her, they raved about her to Pharaoh. So Sarai was taken to Pharaoh's palace. Everything went well for Abram because of her, and he was given sheep, cattle, donkeys, male and female slaves, and camels. However, the Lord struck Pharaoh and his household with terrible plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Then Pharaoh called for Abram. What have you done to me? he asked. Why didn't you tell me that she's your wife? Why did you say she's my sister, and allow me to take her for my wife? Here's your wife. Take her and go. Pharaoh gave his men orders concerning Abram. They sent Abram away with his wife and everything that he had. Genesis chapter 13. Abram left Egypt with his wife and everything he had, and went to the Negev. Lot was with him. Abram was very rich because he had livestock, silver, and gold. He traveled from place to place. 
He went from the Negev as far as Bethel, to the area between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been originally, where he had first made an altar. There Abram worshipped the Lord. Lot, who had been traveling with Abram, also had his own sheep, cattle, and tents. There wasn't enough pasture land for both of them. They had so many possessions that they were unable to remain together. Quarrels broke out between Abram's herders and Lot's herders. Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in that area. Abram said to Lot, Please let's not have any more quarrels between us or between our herders. After all, we're relatives. Isn't all this land yours also? Let's separate. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. And if you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Then Lot looked in the direction of Zoar as far as he could see. He saw that the whole Jordan plain was well watered like the Lord's garden or like Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot chose the whole Jordan plain for himself. He moved toward the east. They each went their own way. Abram lived in Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain, moving his tents as far as Sodom. The people who lived in Sodom were very wicked. They committed terrible sins against the Lord. After Lot left, the Lord said to Abram, Look north, south, east, and west of where you are. I will give all the land you see to you and to your descendants for an indefinite period of time. I will also give you as many descendants as the dust of the earth. If anyone could count the dust of the earth, then he could also count your descendants. Go, walk back and forth across the entire land, because I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tents and went to live by the oak trees belonging to Mamre at Hebron. There he built an altar for the Lord. Genesis chapter 14 at that time four kings, King Amraphel of Shinar, King Ariok of Elasar, King Kedolaomer of Elam, and King Tidal of Goim, went to war against five kings, King Berah of Sodom, King Birsha of Gomorrah, King Shinab of Adma, King Shemeber of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar. The five kings joined forces and met in the valley of Sidim, that is, the Dead Sea. For twelve years they had been subject to Kedolomer, but in the thirteenth year they rebelled. In the fourteenth year, Kedolomer and his allies came and defeated the Rephaim at Ashtoreth Karnaim, the Zuzim at Ham, the Emim at Shave Kiriathaim, and the Horites in the hill country of Seir, going as far as El Paran on the edge of the desert. On their way back they came to En-Mishpat, that is Kadesh, and they conquered the whole territory of the Amalekites, and also the Amorites who were living in Hazazon Tamar. Then the kings of Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, Zeboim, and Bela, that is Zoar, marched out and prepared for battle in the valley of Sidim. They fought against King Kedor Laomer of Elam, King Tidal of Goim, King Amraphel of Shinar, and King Ariok of Elisar, four kings against five. The valley of Sidim was full of tar pits. As the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, they fell because of the tar pits. But the other kings fled to the hills. So the four kings took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah, as well as all their food, and left. They also took Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions, since he was living in Sodom. Then a soldier who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew what had happened. He was living next to the oak trees belonging to Mamre the Amorite, a brother of Eshcol and Aner. These men were Abram's allies. When Abram heard that his nephew had been captured, he armed his 318 trained men, born in his own household, and pursued the four kings all the way to Dan. 
He split up his men to attack them at night. He defeated them, pursuing them all the way to Hobah, which is north of Damascus. He brought back everything they had, including women and soldiers. He also brought back his relative Lot and his possessions. After Abram came back from defeating Kedor Laomer and his allies, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the Shaveh Valley, that is, the king's valley. Then king Melchizedek of Salem brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God Most High. He blessed Abram and said, Blessed is Abram by God Most High, maker of heaven and earth. Blessed is God Most High, who has handed your enemies over to you. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people, and keep everything else for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I now raise my hand and solemnly swear to the Lord God Most High, Maker of heaven and earth, that I won't take a thread or a sandal strap. I won't take anything that is yours, so that you will never be able to say I made Abram rich. I won't take one single thing except what my men have eaten. But let my allies Aner, Eshkol, and Mamre take their share. Genesis chapter 15 Later the Lord spoke His word to Abram in a vision. He said, Abram, don't be afraid. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. Abram asked, Almighty Lord, what will you give me, since I am going to die without children? Eliezer of Damascus will inherit my household. You have given me no children, so this member of my household will be my heir. Suddenly the Lord spoke his word to Abram again. He said, This man will not be your heir. Your own son will be your heir. He took Abram outside and said, Now look up at the sky and count the stars, if you are able to count them. He also said to him, That's how many descendants you will have. Then Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord regarded that faith to be his approval of Abram. Then the Lord said to him, I am the Lord, who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land, so that you will take possession of it. Abram asked, Almighty Lord, how can I be certain that I will take possession of it? He answered Abram, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a mourning dove and a pigeon. So Abram brought all these animals to him. He cut each of them in half and laid each half opposite the other. However, he did not cut the birds in half. When birds of prey came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was just about to set, a deep sleep, a dreadful deep darkness came over Abram. God said to Abram, You can know for sure that your descendants will live in a land that is not their own, where they will be slaves, and they will be oppressed for four hundred years. But I will punish the nation they serve, and after that they will come out with many possessions. But you will die in peace and be buried at a very old age. In the fourth generation your descendants will come back here, because the sin of the Amorites will not have run its course until then. The sun had gone down, and it was dark. Suddenly a smoking oven and a flaming torch passed between the animal pieces. At that time the Lord made a promise to Abram. He said, I will give this land to your descendants. This is the land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. It is the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Genesis chapter 16. Sarai, Abram's wife, was not able to have children. She owned an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Why don't you sleep with my slave? 
Maybe I can build a family through her. Abram agreed with Sarai. After Abram had lived in Canaan for ten years, Abram's wife Sarai took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she became pregnant. When Hagar realized that she was pregnant, she began to be disrespectful to Sarai, her owner. So Sarai complained to Abram, I'm being treated unfairly, and it's your fault. I know that I gave my slave to you, but now that she's pregnant, she's being disrespectful to me. May the Lord decide who is right, you or me. Abram answered Sarai, Here, she's your slave, do what you like with her. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar so much that she ran away. The messenger of the Lord found her by a spring in the desert, the spring on the way to Shur. He said, Hagar, Sarai's slave, where have you come from, and where are you going? She answered, I'm running away from my owner Sarai. The messenger of the Lord said to her, Go back to your owner, and place yourself under her authority. The messenger of the Lord also said to her, I will give you many descendants. No one will be able to count them, because there will be so many. Then the messenger of the Lord said to her, You are pregnant, and you will give birth to a son. You will name him Ishmael. God hears, because the Lord has heard your cry of distress. He will be as free and wild as an untamed donkey. He will fight with everyone, and everyone will fight with him. He will have conflicts with all his relatives. Hagar named the Lord who had been speaking to her. You are the God who watches over me, she said. This is the place where I watch the one who watches over me. This is why the well is named Bir Lahai Roy, well of the living one who watches over me. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. Hagar gave birth to Abram's son. Abram named him Ishmael. Abram was eighty-six years old when Hagar gave birth to Ishmael. Genesis chapter 17 When Abram was ninety-nine years old, the Lord appeared to him. He said to Abram, I am God Almighty. Live in my presence with integrity. I will give you my promise, and I will give you very many descendants. Immediately Abram bowed with his face touching the ground, and again God spoke to him. My promise is still with you. You will become the father of many nations. So your name will no longer be Abram, exalted father, but Abraham, father of many, because I have made you a father of many nations. I will give you many descendants. Many nations and kings will come from you. I will make my promise to you and your descendants for generations to come as an everlasting promise. I will be your God and the God of your descendants. I am also giving this land where you are living, all of Canaan, to you and your descendants as your permanent possession, and I will be your God. God also said to Abraham, You and your descendants in generations to come are to be faithful to my promise. This is how you are to be faithful to my promise. Every male among you is to be circumcised. All of you must be circumcised. That will be the sign of the promise from me to you. For generations to come, every male child who is eight days old must be circumcised, whether he is born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner who is not related to you. Every male born in your household or bought with your money is to be circumcised without exception. So my promise will be a sign on your flesh, an everlasting promise. Any uncircumcised male must be excluded from his people because he has rejected my promise. God said to Abraham, Don't call your wife by the name Sarai anymore. Instead, her name is Sarah, princess. I will bless her, and I will also give you a son by her. 
I will bless her, and she will become a mother of nations, and kings will come from her. Immediately Abraham bowed with his face touching the ground. He laughed as he thought to himself, Can a son be born to a hundred-year-old man? Can Sarah, a ninety-year-old woman, have a child? Then Abraham said to God, Why not let Ishmael be my heir? God replied, No, your wife Sarah will give you a son, and you will name him Isaac. He laughs. I will make an everlasting promise to him and his descendants. I have heard your request about Ishmael. Yes, I will bless him, make him fertile, and increase the number of his descendants. He will be the father of twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. But I will make my promise to Isaac. Sarah will give birth to him at this time next year. When God finished speaking with Abraham, he left him. So Abraham took his son Ishmael, everyone born in his household, and everyone bought with money, every male in his household, and circumcised them that day, as God had told him. Abraham was ninety-nine years old when he was circumcised. His son Ishmael was thirteen years old when he was circumcised. That same day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. All the men of his household, whether born in the household or bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Genesis chapter 18. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oak trees belonging to Mamre as he was sitting at the entrance of his tent during the hottest part of the day. Abraham looked up, and suddenly he saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran to meet them, and he bowed with his face touching the ground. Please, sir, Abraham said, stop by to visit me for a while. Why don't we let someone bring a little water? After you wash your feet, you can stretch out and rest under the tree. Let me bring some bread so that you can regain your strength. After that you can leave, since this is why you stopped by to visit me. They answered, That's fine. Do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to find Sarah. Quick, he said, get three measures of flour, knead it, and make bread. Then Abraham ran to the herd and took one of his best calves. He gave it to his servant, who prepared it quickly. Abraham took cheese and milk as well as the meat, and set these in front of them. Then he stood by them under the tree as they ate. They asked him, Where is your wife Sarah? He answered, Over there in the tent. The Lord said, I promise I'll come back to you next year at this time, and your wife Sarah will have a son. Sarah happened to be listening at the entrance of the tent which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were old. Sarah was past the age of childbearing, and so Sarah laughed to herself, thinking, Now that I've become old, will I enjoy myself again? What's more, my husband is old. The Lord asked Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Can I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will come back to you next year at this time, and Sarah will have a son. Because she was afraid, Sarah denied that she had laughed. But the Lord said, Yes, you did laugh. Then the men got up to leave. As Abraham was walking with them to see them off, they looked toward Sodom. The Lord said, I shouldn't hide what I am going to do from Abraham. After all, Abraham is going to become a great and mighty nation, and through him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his family after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. In this way I, the Lord, will do what I have promised Abraham." The Lord also said, Sodom and Gomorrah have many complaints against them, and their sin is very serious. I must go down and see whether these complaints are true. 
If not, I will know it. From there the men turned and went on toward Sodom, but Abraham remained standing in front of the Lord. Abraham came closer and asked, Are you really going to sweep away the innocent with the guilty? What if there are fifty innocent people in the city? Are you really going to sweep them away? Won't you spare that place for the sake of the fifty innocent people who are in it? It would be unthinkable for you to do such a thing, to treat the innocent and the guilty alike, and to kill the innocent with the guilty. That would be unthinkable. Won't the judge of the whole earth do what is fair? The Lord said, If I find fifty innocent people inside the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham asked, Consider now, if I may be so bold as to ask you, although I'm only dust and ashes, what if there are forty-five innocent people? Will you destroy the whole city because of five fewer people? The Lord answered, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. Abraham asked him again, What if forty are found there? He answered, For the sake of the forty, I will not do it. Please don't be angry if I speak again, Abraham said. What if thirty are found there? He answered, If I find thirty there, I will not do it. Look now, if I may be so bold to ask you, Abraham said, What if twenty are found there? He answered, I will not destroy it for the sake of the twenty. Please don't be angry if I speak only one more time, Abraham said. What if ten are found there? He answered, I will not destroy it for the sake of the ten. When the Lord finished speaking to Abraham, he left. Abraham returned home. Genesis chapter 19. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting in the gateway. When Lot saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed with his face touching the ground. He said, Please, gentlemen, why don't you come to my home and spend the night? You can wash your feet there. Then early tomorrow morning you can continue your journey. No, they answered, we'd rather spend the night in the city square. But he insisted so strongly that they came with him and went into his home. He prepared a special dinner for them, baked some unleavened bread, and they ate. Before they had gone to bed, all the young and old male citizens of Sodom surrounded the house. They called to Lot, Where are the men who came to stay with you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. Then Lot went outside and shut the door behind him. Please, my friends, don't be so wicked, he said. Look, I have two daughters who have never had sex. Why don't you let me bring them out to you? Do whatever you like with them, but don't do anything to these men, since I am responsible for them. But the men yelled, Get out of the way. This man came here to stay a while. Now he wants to be our judge. We're going to treat you worse than those men. They pushed hard against Lot and lunged forward to break down the door. The men inside reached out, pulled Lot into the house with them, and shut the door. Then they struck all the men who were in the doorway of the house, young and old alike, with blindness, so that they gave up trying to find the door. Then the men asked Lot, Do you have anyone else here, any in-laws, sons, daughters, or any other relatives in the city? Get them out of here, because we're going to destroy this place. The complaints to the Lord against its people are so loud that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to the men engaged to his daughters. He said, Hurry, get out of this place, because the Lord is going to destroy the city. But they thought he was joking. As soon as it was dawn, the angels urged Lot by saying, Quick, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you'll be swept away when the city is punished. 
When he hesitated, the men grabbed him, his wife, and his two daughters by their hands, because the Lord wanted to spare Lot. They brought them safely outside the city. As soon as they were outside, one of the angels said, Run for your lives. Don't look behind you and don't stop on the plain. Run for the hills, or you'll be swept away. Lot answered, Oh, no, even though you've been so good to me, and though you've been very kind to me by saving my life, I can't run as far as the hills. This disaster will overtake me, and I'll die. Look, there's a city near enough to flee to, and it's small. Why don't you let me run there? Isn't it small? Then my life will be saved. The angel said to him, All right, I will grant you this request too. I will not destroy the city you are talking about. Run there quickly, because I can't do anything until you get there. The city is named Zoar, small. The sun had just risen over the land as Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord made burning sulfur and fire rain out of heaven on Sodom and Gomorrah. He destroyed those cities, the whole plain, all who lived in the cities, and whatever grew on the ground. Lot's wife looked back and turned into a column of salt. Early the next morning, Abraham came to the place where he had stood in front of the Lord. When he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and all the land in the plain, he saw smoke rising from the land like the thick smoke of a furnace. When God destroyed the cities on the plain, he remembered Abraham. Lot was allowed to escape from the destruction that came to the cities where he was living. Lot left Zoar because he was afraid to stay there. He and his two daughters settled in the mountains where they lived in a cave. The older daughter said to the younger one, Our father is old. No men are here. We can't get married as other people do. Let's give our father wine to drink. Then we'll go to bed with him so that we'll be able to preserve our family line through our father. That night they gave their father wine to drink. Then the older one went to bed with her father. He didn't know when she came to bed or when she got up. The next day the older daughter said to the younger one, I did it. Last night I went to bed with my father. Let's give him wine to drink again tonight. Then you go to bed with him so that we'll be able to preserve our family line through our father. That night they gave their father wine to drink again. Then the younger one went to bed with him. He didn't know when she came to bed or when she got up. So Lot's two daughters became pregnant by their father. The older one gave birth to a son and named him Moab. He is the ancestor of the Moabites of today. The younger daughter also gave birth to a son and named him Ben-Ami. He is the ancestor of the Ammonites of today. Genesis chapter 20. Abraham moved to the Negev and settled between Kadesh and Shur. While he was living in Gerar, Abraham told everyone that his wife Sarah was his sister. So king Abimelech of Gerar sent men to take Sarah. God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, You're going to die because of the woman that you've taken. She's a married woman. Abimelech hadn't come near her, so he asked, Lord, will you destroy a nation even if it's innocent? Didn't he tell me himself, She's my sister, and didn't she even say, He's my brother? I did this in all innocence and with a clear conscience. Yes, I know that you did this with a clear conscience, God said to him in the dream. In fact, I kept you from sinning against me. That's why I didn't let you touch her. Give the man's wife back to him now, because he's a prophet. He will pray for you, and you will live. But if you don't give her back, you and all who belong to you are doomed to die. Early in the morning, Abimelech called together all his officials. He told them about all of this, and they were terrified. Then Abimelech called for Abraham and asked him, What have you done to us? 
How have I sinned against you that you would bring such a serious sin on me and my kingdom? You shouldn't have done this to me. Abimelech also asked Abraham, What were you thinking when you did this? Abraham said, I thought that because there are no God-fearing people in this place, I'd be killed because of my wife. Besides, she is my sister, my father's daughter, but not my mother's. She is also my wife. When God had me leave my father's home and travel around, I said to her, Do me a favor. Wherever we go, say that I'm your brother. Then Abimelech took sheep, cattle, and male and female slaves, and gave them to Abraham. He also gave his wife Sarah back to him. Abimelech said, Look, here's my land. Live anywhere you like. He said to Sarah, Don't forget, I've given your brother twenty-five pounds of silver. This is to silence any criticism against you from anyone with you. You're completely cleared. Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female slaves, so that they could have children. The Lord had made it impossible for any woman in Abimelech's household to have children because of Abraham's wife Sarah. Genesis chapter 21. The Lord came to help Sarah and did for her what he had promised. So she became pregnant, and at the exact time God had promised, she gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. Abraham named his newborn son Isaac. When Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded. Abraham was one hundred years old when his son Isaac was born. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. Who would have predicted to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have given him a son in his old age? The child grew and was weaned. On the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a big feast. Sarah saw that Abraham's son by Hagar the Egyptian was laughing at Isaac. She said to Abraham, Get rid of this slave and her son, because this slave's son must never share the inheritance with my son Isaac. Abraham was upset by this because of his son Ishmael. But God said to Abraham, Don't be upset about the boy and your slave. Listen to what Sarah says, because through Isaac your descendants will carry on your name. Besides, I will make the slave's son into a nation also, because he is your child. Early the next morning Abraham took bread and a container of water and gave them to Hagar, putting them on her shoulder. He also gave her the boy and sent her on her way. So she left and wandered around in the desert near Beersheba. When the water in the container was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went about as far away as an arrow can be shot and sat down. She said to herself, I don't want to watch the boy die. So she sat down and sobbed loudly. God heard the boy crying, and the messenger of God called to Hagar from heaven. What's the matter, Hagar? He asked her. Don't be afraid. God has heard the boy crying from the bushes. Come on, help the boy up. Take him by the hand, because I'm going to make him into a great nation. God opened her eyes. Then she saw a well. She filled the container with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became a skilled archer. He lived in the desert of Paran, and his mother got him a wife from Egypt. At that time Abimelech, accompanied by Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. Now swear an oath to me here in front of God that you will never cheat me, my children or my descendants. Show me and the land where you've been living the same kindness that I have shown you. Abraham said, 
I so swear. Then Abraham complained to Abimelech about a well which Abimelech's servants had seized. Abimelech replied, I don't know who did this. You didn't tell me, and I didn't hear about it until today. Abraham took some sheep and cattle and gave them to Abimelech, and the two of them made an agreement. Then Abraham set apart seven female lambs from the flock. Abimelech asked him, What is the meaning of these seven female lambs you have set apart? Abraham answered, Accept these lambs from me, so that they may be proof that I dug this well. This is why that place is called Beersheba, because both of them swore an oath there. After they made the treaty at Beersheba, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, left and went back to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree at Beersheba and worshipped the Lord, the everlasting God, there. Abraham lived a long time in the land of the Philistines. Genesis chapter 22. Later God tested Abraham and called to him, Abraham, yes, here I am, he answered. God said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will show you. Early the next morning Abraham saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut the wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. Two days later, Abraham saw the place in the distance. Then Abraham said to his servants, You stay here with the donkey while the boy and I go over there. We'll worship. After that, we'll come back to you. Then Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and gave it to his son Isaac. Abraham carried the burning coals and the knife. The two of them went on together. Isaac spoke up and said, Father... Yes, son, Abraham answered. Isaac asked, We have the burning coals and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God will provide a lamb for the burnt offering, son. The two of them went on together. When they came to the place that God had told him about, Abraham built the altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied up his son Isaac and laid him on top of the wood on the altar. Next, Abraham picked up the knife and took it in his hand to sacrifice his son. But the messenger of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, he answered. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you did not refuse to give me your son, your only son. When Abraham looked around, he saw a ram behind him caught by its horns in a bush. So Abraham took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham named that place, The Lord Will Provide. It is still said today, On the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Then the messenger of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I am taking an oath on my own name, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not refused to give me your son, your only son, I will certainly bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the grains of sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of their enemy cities. Through your descendant, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and together they left for Beersheba. Abraham remained in Beersheba. Later Abraham was told, Milcah has given birth to these children of your brother Nahor, Uz the firstborn, Buz his brother, Kemuel, father of Aram, Kesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jidlaf, and Bethuel. Bethuel is the father of Rebekah. 
Milcah had these eight sons by Abraham's brother Nahor. Nahor's concubine, whose name was Reumah, had the following children, Teba, Kaham, Tahash, and Maaka. Genesis chapter 23. Sarah lived to be 127 years old. This was the length of her life. She died in Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in Canaan. Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to cry about her death. Then Abraham left the side of his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. I'm a stranger with no permanent home. Let me have some of your property for a tomb so that I can bury my dead wife. The Hittites answered Abraham, Listen to us, sir. You are a mighty leader among us. Bury your dead in one of our best tombs. Not one of us will withhold from you his tomb for burying your dead. Abraham got up in front of the Hittites, the people of that region, and bowed with his face touching the ground. He said to them, If you are willing to let me bury my wife, listen to me. Encourage Ephron, son of Zohar, to let me have the cave of Machpelah that he owns at the end of his field. He should sell it to me for its full price as my property to be used as a tomb among you. Ephron was sitting among the Hittites. He answered Abraham so that everyone who was entering the city gate could hear him. He said, No, sir, listen to me. I am giving you the field together with the cave that is in it. My people are witnesses that I am giving it to you. Bury your wife. Abraham bowed down again in front of the people of that region. He spoke to Ephron so that the people of that region could hear him. He said, If you would only listen to me, I will pay you the price of the field. Take it from me, so that I can bury my wife there. Ephron answered Abraham, Sir, listen to me. The land is worth ten pounds of silver. What is that between us? Bury your wife. Abraham agreed to Ephron's terms. So he weighed out for Ephron the amount stated in front of the Hittites, ten pounds of silver at the current merchant's exchange rate. So Ephron's field at Machpelah, east of Mamre, was sold to Abraham. His property included the field with the cave in it, as well as all the trees inside the boundaries of the field. The Hittites, together with all who had entered the city gate, were the official witnesses for the agreement. After this, Abraham buried his wife Sarah in the cave in the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron. So the field and its cave were sold by the Hittites to Abraham as his property to be used as a tomb. Genesis chapter 24. By now Abraham was old, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. So Abraham said to the senior servant of his household, who was in charge of all that he owned, Take a solemn oath. I want you to swear by the Lord God of heaven and earth that you will not get my son a wife from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I am living. Instead, you will go to the land of my relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. The servant asked him, What if the woman doesn't want to come back to this land with me? Should I take your son all the way back to the land you came from? Make sure that you do not take my son back there, Abraham said to him. The Lord God of heaven took me from my father's home and the land of my family. He spoke to me and swore this oath, I will give this land to your descendants. God will send his angel ahead of you, and you will get my son a wife from there. If the woman doesn't want to come back with you, then you'll be free from this oath that you swear to me. But don't take my son back there. So the servant did as his master Abraham commanded, and swore the oath to him concerning this. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and left, taking with him all of his master's best things. 
he traveled to Aram Naharaim, Nahor city. The servant had the camels kneel down outside the city by the well. It was evening, when the women would go out to draw water. Then he prayed, Lord, God of my master Abraham, make me successful today. Show your kindness to Abraham. Here I am standing by the spring, and the girls of the city are coming out to draw water. I will ask a girl, May I please have a drink from your jar? If she answers, Have a drink, and I'll also water your camels. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. This way I'll know that you've shown your kindness to my master. Before he had finished praying, Rebekah came with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. The girl was a very attractive virgin. No man had ever had sexual intercourse with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came back. The servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a drink of water. Drink, sir, she said. She quickly lowered her jar to her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I'll also keep drawing water for your camels until they've had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jar into the water trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough for all his camels. The man was silently watching her to see whether or not the Lord had made his trip successful. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold nose ring weighing a fifth of an ounce and two gold bracelets weighing four ounces. He asked, Whose daughter are you? Please tell me whether there is room in your father's house for us to spend the night. She answered him, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah and Nahor. We have plenty of straw and feed for your camels and room for you to spend the night. The man knelt, bowing to the Lord with his face touching the ground. He said, Praise the Lord, the God of my master Abraham. The Lord hasn't failed to be kind and faithful to my master. The Lord has led me on this trip to the home of my master's relatives. The girl ran and told her mother's household about these things. Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. He saw the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrists and heard her tell what the man had said to her. Immediately, Laban ran out to the man by the spring. He came to the man who was standing with the camels by the spring. He said, Come in, you whom the Lord has blessed. Why are you standing out here? I have straightened up the house and made a place for the camels. So the man went into the house. The camels were unloaded and given straw and feed. Then water was brought for him and his men to wash their feet. When the food was put in front of him, he said, I won't eat until I've said what I have to say. Speak up, Laban said. I am Abraham's servant, he said. The Lord has blessed my master, and he has become wealthy. The Lord has given him sheep and cattle, silver and gold, male and female slaves, camels and donkeys. My master's wife, Sarah, gave him a son in her old age, and my master has given that son everything he has. My master made me swear this oath. Don't get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I'm living. Instead, go to my father's home and to my relatives and get my son a wife. I asked my master, what if the woman won't come back with me? He answered me, I have been living the way the Lord wants me to. The Lord will send his angel with you to make your trip successful. You will get my son a wife from my relatives and from my father's family. Then you will be free from your oath to me. You will also be free of your oath to me if my relatives are not willing to do this when you go to them. When I came to the spring today, I prayed, Lord God of my master Abraham, please make my trip successful. 
I'm standing by the spring. I'll say to the young woman who comes out to draw water, please give me a drink of water. If she says to me, not only may you have a drink, but I will also draw water for your camels, let her be the woman the Lord has chosen for my master's son. Before I had finished praying, Rebecca came with her jar on her shoulder. She went down to the spring and drew water. So I asked her, May I have a drink? She quickly lowered her jar and said, Have a drink, and I'll water your camels too. So I drank, and she also watered the camels. Then I asked her, Whose daughter are you? She answered, The daughter of Bethuel, son of Nahor and Milcah. I put the ring in her nose and the bracelets on her wrists. I knelt, bowing down to the Lord. I praise the Lord, the God of my master Abraham. The Lord led me in the right direction to get the daughter of my master's relative for his son. Tell me whether or not you are going to show my master true kindness, so that I will know what to do. Laban and Bethuel answered, This is from the Lord. We can't say anything to you one way or another. Here's Rebekah. Take her and go. She will become the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has said. When Abraham's servant heard their answer, he bowed down to the Lord. The servant took out gold and silver jewelry and clothes and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave expensive presents to her brother and mother. Then he and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night. When they got up in the morning, he said, Let me go back to my master. Her brother and mother replied, Let the girl stay with us ten days or so. After that she may go. He said to them, Don't delay me now that the Lord has made my trip successful. Let me go back to my master. So they said, We'll call the girl and ask her. They called for Rebekah and asked her, Will you go with this man? She said, Yes, I'll go. So they let their sister Rebekah and her nurse go with Abraham's servant and his men. They gave Rebekah a blessing. May you, our sister, become the mother of many thousands of children. May your descendants take possession of their enemy's cities. Then Rebekah and her maids left. Riding on camels, they followed the man. The servant took Rebekah and left. Isaac had just come back from Bir Lahai Roy since he was living in the Negev. Toward evening, Isaac went out into the field to meditate. When he looked up, he saw camels coming. When Rebekah saw Isaac, she got down from her camel. She asked the servant, Who is that man over there coming through the field to meet us? That is my master, the servant answered. Then she took her veil and covered herself. The servant reported to Isaac everything he had done. Isaac took her into his mother Sarah's tent. He married Rebekah. She became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Genesis chapter 25 Abraham married again, and his wife's name was Keturah. Keturah gave birth to these sons of Abraham, Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan was the father of Sheba and Dedan. Dedan's descendants were the Assyrians, the Letushites, and the Leomites. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Epher, Hanoch, Abida, and Eldah. These were the descendants of Keturah. Abraham left everything he had to Isaac. But while he was still living, Abraham had given gifts to the sons of his concubines. He sent them away from his son Isaac to a land in the east. Abraham lived 175 years. Then he took his last breath and died at a very old age. After a long and full life, he joined his ancestors in death. His sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephron, son of Zohar the Hittite. The cave is east of Mamre. This was the field that Abraham had bought from the Hittites. 
There Abraham was buried with his wife Sarah. After Abraham died, God blessed his son Isaac, who settled near Beer Lahai Roy. This is the account of the descendants of Abraham's son Ishmael. He was the son of Sarah's Egyptian slave Hagar and Abraham. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael listed in the order of their birth, Nebaioth, Ishmael's firstborn, Kedar, Adbil, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadad, Tema, Jetur, Nafish, and Kedama. These are the sons of Ishmael, and their names listed by their settlements and camps, twelve leaders of their tribes. Ishmael lived 137 years. Then he took his last breath and died. He joined his ancestors in death. His descendants lived as nomads from the region of Havela to Shur, which is near Egypt, in the direction of Assyria. They all fought with each other. This is the account of Abraham's son Isaac and his descendants. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was forty years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel the Aramean from Badan Aram, and sister of Laban the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife Rebekah became pregnant. When the children inside her were struggling with each other, she said, If it's like this now, what will become of me? So she went to ask the Lord. The Lord said to her, Two countries are in your womb. Two nations will go their separate ways from birth. One nation will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, she had twins. The first one born was red. His whole body was covered with hair, so they named him Esau, Harry. Afterwards, his brother was born with his hand holding on to Esau's heel, and so he was named Jacob, Heel. Isaac was sixty years old when they were born. They grew up. Esau became an expert hunter, an outdoorsman. Jacob remained a quiet man, staying around the tents. Because Isaac liked to eat the meat of wild animals, he loved Esau. However, Rebekah loved Jacob. Once Jacob was preparing a meal when Esau, exhausted, came in from outdoors. So Esau said to Jacob, Let me have the whole pot of red stuff to eat, that red stuff. I'm exhausted. This is why he was called Edom. Jacob responded, First, sell me your rights as firstborn. I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is my inheritance to me? First, swear an oath, Jacob said. So Esau swore an oath to him and sold him his rights as firstborn. Then Jacob gave Esau a meal of bread and lentils. He ate and drank, and then he got up and left. This is how Esau showed his contempt for his rights as firstborn. Genesis chapter 26. There was a famine in the land in addition to the earlier one during Abraham's time, so Isaac went to King Abimelech of the Philistines in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Don't go to Egypt. Stay where I tell you. Live here in this land for a while, and I will be with you and bless you. I will give all these lands to you and your descendants. I will keep the oath that I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and give all these lands to your descendants. Through your descendant all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I will bless you because Abraham obeyed me and completed the duties, commands, laws, and instructions I gave him. So Isaac lived in Gerar. When the men of that place asked about his wife, Isaac answered, She's my sister. He was afraid to say, My wife. He thought that the men of that place would kill him to get Rebekah because she was an attractive woman. When he had been there a long time, King Abimelech of the Philistines looked out of his window and saw Isaac caressing his wife Rebekah. 
Abimelech called for Isaac and said, So she's really your wife. How could you say she's my sister? Isaac answered him, I thought I would be killed because of her. Then Abimelech said, What have you done to us? One of the people might have easily gone to bed with your wife, and then you would have made us guilty of sin. So Abimelech ordered his people, Anyone who touches this man or his wife will be put to death. Isaac planted crops in that land. In that same year he harvested a hundred times as much as he had planted, because the Lord had blessed him. He continued to be successful, becoming very rich. Because he owned so many flocks, herds, and servants, the Philistines became jealous of him. So the Philistines filled in all the wells that his father's servants had dug during his father Abraham's lifetime. Finally, Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us. You've become more powerful than we are. So Isaac moved away. He set up his tents in the Gerar Valley and lived there. He dug out the wells that had been dug during his father Abraham's lifetime. The Philistines had filled them in after Abraham's death. He gave them the same names that his father had given them. Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a spring-fed well. The herders from Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herders, claiming, This water is ours. So Isaac named the well Esek, argument, because they had argued with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that one too. So Isaac named it Sitna, accusation. He moved on from there and dug another well. They didn't quarrel over this one, so he named it Rehoboth, Rumi, and said, Now the Lord has made room for us, and we will prosper in this land. He went from there to Beersheba. That night the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Don't be afraid, because I am with you. I will bless you and increase the number of your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. So Isaac built an altar there and worshipped the Lord. He also pitched his tent in that place, and his servants dug a well there. Abimelech, his friend Ahuzath, and Phicol, the commander of his army, came from Gerar to see Isaac. Isaac asked them, Why have you come to me, since you hate me and sent me away from you? They answered, We have seen that the Lord is with you. So we thought, There should be a solemn agreement between us. We'd like to make an agreement with you, that you will not harm us, since we have not touched you. We have done only good to you, and let you go in peace. Now you are blessed by the Lord. Isaac prepared a special dinner for them, and they ate and drank. Early the next morning they exchanged oaths. Then Isaac sent them on their way, and they left peacefully. That same day Isaac's servants came and told him about a well they had dug. They said to him, We found water. So he named it Sheba, Oath. That is why the name of the city is still Beersheba today. When Esau was forty years old, he married Judith, daughter of Birai the Hittite. He also married Basimath, daughter of Elon the Hittite. These women brought Isaac and Rebekah a lot of grief. Genesis chapter 27. When Isaac was old and going blind, he called his older son Esau and said to him, Son, Esau answered, Here I am. Isaac said, I'm old. I don't know when I'm going to die. Now take your hunting equipment, your quiver and bow, and go out into the open country and hunt some wild game for me. Prepare a good-tasting meal for me, just the way I like it. Bring it to me to eat, so that I will bless you before I die. Rebekah was listening while Isaac was speaking to his son Esau. When Esau went into the open country to hunt for some wild game to bring back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I've just heard your father speaking to your brother Esau. He said, Bring me some wild game and prepare a good-tasting meal for me to eat, so that I will bless you in the presence of the Lord before I die. 
Now listen to me, son, and do what I tell you. Go to the flock and get me two good young goats. I'll prepare them as a good-tasting meal for your father, just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat, so that he will bless you before he dies. Jacob said to his mother, Rebekah, My brother Esau is a hairy man, and my skin is smooth. My father will feel my skin and think I'm mocking him. Then I'll bring a curse on myself instead of a blessing. His mother responded, Let any curse on you fall on me, son. Just obey me and go. Get me the young goats. He went and got them and brought them to his mother. She prepared a good-tasting meal just the way his father liked it. Then Rebekah took her older son Esau's good clothes, which she had in the house, and put them on her younger son Jacob. She put the skins from the young goats on his hands and on the back of his neck. Then she gave her son Jacob the good-tasting meal and the bread she had prepared. He went to his father and said, Father, yes, he answered, Who are you, son? Jacob answered his father, I'm Esau, your firstborn. I've done what you told me. Sit up and eat this meat I've hunted for you, so that you may bless me. Isaac asked his son, How did you find it so quickly, son? The Lord your God brought it to me, he answered. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come over here so that I can feel your skin, son, to find out whether or not you really are my son Esau. So Jacob went over to his father. Isaac felt his skin. The voice is Jacob's, he said, but the hands are Esau's. He didn't recognize Jacob because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. Are you really my son Esau? he asked him. I am, Jacob answered. Isaac said, Bring me some of the game, and I will eat it, son, so that I will bless you. Jacob brought it to Isaac, and he ate it. Jacob also brought him wine, and he drank it. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come here and give me a kiss, son. He went over and gave him a kiss. When Isaac smelled his clothes, he blessed him and said, The smell of my son is like the smell of open country that the Lord has blessed. May God give you dew from the sky, fertile fields on the earth, and plenty of fresh grain and new wine. May nations serve you. May people bow down to you. Be the master of your brothers, and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed. May those who bless you be blessed. Isaac finished blessing Jacob. Jacob had barely left when his brother Esau came in from hunting. He, too, prepared a good-tasting meal and brought it to his father. Then he said to his father, Please, father, eat some of the meat I have hunted for you so that you will bless me. Who are you? his father Isaac asked him. I'm your firstborn son, Esau, he answered. Trembling violently all over, Isaac asked, Who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it before you came in. I blessed him, and he will stay blessed. When Esau heard these words from his father, he shouted out a very loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me too, father. Isaac said, Your brother came and deceived me and has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Isn't that why he's named Jacob? He's cheated me twice already. He took my rights as firstborn, and now he's taken my blessing. So he asked, Haven't you saved a blessing for me? Isaac answered Esau, I have made him your master, and I have made all his brothers serve him. I've provided fresh grain and new wine for him. What is left for me to do for you, son? Esau asked, Do you have only one blessing, father? Bless me too, father. And Esau sobbed loudly. His father Isaac answered him, The place where you live will lack the fertile fields of the earth and the dew from the sky above. You will use your sword to live, and you will serve your brother but eventually you will gain your freedom and break his yoke off your neck. 
So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing that his father had given him. Esau said to himself, The time to mourn for my father is near, then I'll kill my brother Jacob. When Rebekah was told what her older son Esau had said, she sent for her younger son Jacob and said to him, Watch out, your brother Esau is comforting himself by planning to kill you. So now, son, obey me. Quick, run away to my brother Laban in Haran. Stay with him a while, until your brother's anger cools down. When your brother's anger is gone, and he has forgotten what you did to him, I'll send for you and get you back. Why should I lose both of you in one day? Rebekah said to Isaac, I can't stand Hittite women. If Jacob marries a Hittite woman like one of those from around here, I might as well die. Genesis chapter 28 Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him. Then he commanded him, You are not to marry any of the Canaanite women. Quick, go to Padam Aram, go to the home of Bethuel, your mother's father, and get yourself a wife from there, from the daughters of your uncle Laban. May God Almighty bless you, make you fertile, and increase the number of your descendants so that you will become a community of people. May He give to you and your descendants the blessing of Abraham so that you may take possession of the land where you are now living, the land that God gave to Abraham. Isaac sent Jacob to Badan Aram. Jacob went to live with Laban, son of Bethuel the Aramean, and brother of Rebekah. She was the mother of Jacob and Esau. Esau learned that Isaac had blessed Jacob and had sent him away to Badan Aram to get a wife from there. He learned that Isaac had blessed Jacob and had commanded him not to marry any of the Canaanite women. He also learned that Jacob had obeyed his father and mother and had left for Padan Aram. Esau realized that his father Isaac disapproved of Canaanite women. So he went to Ishmael and married Mahalath, daughter of Abraham's son Ishmael and sister of Nebaoth, in addition to the wives he had. Jacob left Beersheba and traveled toward Haran. When he came to a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had gone down. He took one of the stones from that place, put it under his head, and lay down there. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway set up on the earth with its top reaching up to heaven. He saw the angels of God going up and coming down on it. The Lord was standing above it, saying, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give the land on which you are lying to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be like the dust on the earth. You will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. Through you and through your descendant, every family on earth will be blessed. Remember, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will also bring you back to this land because I will not leave you until I do what I've promised you. Then Jacob woke up from his sleep and exclaimed, Certainly, the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. Filled with awe, he said, How awe-inspiring this place is. Certainly, this is the house of God and the gateway to heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had put under his head. He set it up as a marker and poured olive oil on top of it. He named that place Bethel, house of God. Previously, the name of the city was Luz. Then Jacob made a vow. If God will be with me, and will watch over me on my trip, and give me food to eat and clothes to wear, and if I return safely to my father's home, then the Lord will be my God. This stone that I have set up as a marker will be the house of God, and I will surely give you a tenth of everything you give me. Genesis chapter 29. Jacob continued on his trip and came to the land in the east. He looked around, and out in a field he saw a well with a large stone over the opening. Three flocks of sheep were lying down near it, because the flocks were watered from that well. 
When all the flocks were gathered there, the stone would be rolled off the opening of the well so that the sheep could be watered. Then the stone would be put back in place over the opening of the well. Jacob asked some people, My friends, where are you from? We're from Haran, they replied. He asked them, Do you know Laban, Nahor's grandson? They answered, We do. How is he doing? Jacob asked them. He's fine, they answered. Here comes his daughter, Rachel, with the sheep. It's still the middle of the day, he said. It isn't time yet to gather the livestock. Water the sheep, then let them graze. They replied, We can't until all the flocks are gathered. When the stone is rolled off the opening of the well, we can water the sheep. While he was still talking to them, Rachel arrived with her father's sheep, because she was a shepherd. Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of his uncle Laban, with his uncle Laban's sheep. He came forward and rolled the stone off the opening of the well and watered his uncle Laban's sheep. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and sobbed loudly. When Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's nephew and that he was Rebekah's son, she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about his sister's son Jacob, he ran to meet him. He hugged and kissed him and brought him into his home. Then Jacob told Laban all that had happened. Laban said to him, You are my own flesh and blood. Jacob stayed with him for a whole month. Then Laban said to him, Just because you're my relative doesn't mean that you should work for nothing. Tell me what your wages should be. Laban had two daughters. The name of the older one was Leah, and the name of the younger one was Rachel. Leah had attractive eyes, but Rachel had a beautiful figure and beautiful features. Jacob loved Rachel, so he offered, I'll work seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban responded, It's better that I give her to you than to any other man. Stay with me. Jacob worked seven years in return for Rachel, but the years seemed like only a few days to him, because he loved her. At the end of the seven years, Jacob said to Laban, The time is up. Give me my wife. I want to sleep with her. So Laban invited all the people of that place and gave a wedding feast. In the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. Jacob slept with her. When morning came, he realized it was Leah. Laban had given his slave Zilpah to his daughter Leah as her slave. "'What have you done to me?' Jacob asked Laban. "'Didn't I work for you in return for Rachel? Why did you cheat me?' Laban answered, "'It's not our custom to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish the week of wedding festivities with this daughter. Then we will give you the other one, too, but you'll have to work for me another seven years.' That's what Jacob did. He finished the week with Leah. Then Laban gave his daughter Rachel to him as his wife. Laban had given his slave Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her slave. Jacob slept with Rachel too. He loved Rachel more than Leah. So he worked for Laban another seven years. When the Lord saw Leah was unloved, he made it possible for her to have children, but Rachel had none. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben. Here's my son, because she said, Certainly the Lord has seen my misery. Now my husband will love me. She became pregnant again and gave birth to another son. She said, Certainly the Lord has heard that I'm unloved, and he also has given me this son. So she named him Simeon, hearing. She became pregnant again and gave birth to another son. She said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me because I've given him three sons. So she named him Levi, attached. 
she became pregnant again and gave birth to another son. She said, This time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah, praise. Then she stopped having children. Genesis chapter 30. Rachel saw that she could not have children for Jacob, and she became jealous of her sister. She said to Jacob, Give me children, or I'll die. Jacob became angry with Rachel and asked, Can I take the place of God, who has kept you from having children? She said, Here is my servant Bilhah. Sleep with her. She can have children for me, and I can build a family for myself through her. So she gave him her slave Bilhah as his wife, and Jacob slept with her. Bilhah became pregnant, and she gave birth to a son for Jacob. Rachel said, Now God has judged in my favor. He has heard my prayer and has given me a son. So she named him Dan. He judges. Rachel's slave Bilhah became pregnant again and gave birth to a second son for Jacob. Rachel said, I have had a great struggle with my sister, and I have won. So she named him Naphtali, my struggle. When Leah saw that she had stopped having children, she took her slave Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as his wife. Leah's slave Zilpah gave birth to a son for Jacob. Leah said, I've been lucky. So she called him God, luck. Leah's slave Zilpah gave birth to her second son for Jacob. Leah said, I've been blessed. Women will call me blessed. So she named him Asher, blessing. During the wheat harvest, Reuben went out into the fields and found some mandrakes. He brought them to his mother, Leah. Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. Leah replied, Isn't it enough that you took my husband? Are you also going to take my son's mandrakes? Rachel said, Very well. Jacob can go to bed with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. As Jacob was coming in from the fields that evening, Leah went out to meet him. You are to sleep with me, she said. You are my reward for my son's mandrakes. So he went to bed with her that night. God answered Leah's prayer. She became pregnant and gave birth to her fifth son for Jacob. Leah said, God has given me my reward because I gave my slave to my husband. So she named him Issachar, reward. She became pregnant again and gave birth to her sixth son for Jacob. Leah said, God has presented me with a beautiful present. This time my husband will honor me because I have given him six sons. So she named him Zebulun, honor. Later she gave birth to a daughter and named her Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel. God answered her prayer and made it possible for her to have children. So she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. Then she said, God has taken away my disgrace. She named him Joseph. May he give another. And said, May the Lord give me another son. After Rachel gave birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Let me go home to my own country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I've worked, and let me go. You know how much work I've done for you. Laban replied, Listen to me. I've learned from the signs I've seen that the Lord has blessed me because of you. So he offered, Name your wages, and I'll pay them. Jacob responded, You know how much work I've done for you and what has happened to your livestock under my care. The little that you had before I came has grown to a large amount. The Lord has blessed you wherever I've been. When can I do something for my own family? Laban asked, What should I give you? Don't give me anything, Jacob answered. Instead, do something for me. Then I'll go back to taking care of and watching your flocks again. Let me go through all of your flocks today and take every speckled or spotted sheep, every black lamb, and every spotted or speckled goat. 
They will be my wages. My honesty will speak for itself whenever you come to check on my wages. Any goat I have that isn't speckled or spotted, or any lamb that isn't black, will be considered stolen. Laban answered, Agreed. We'll do as you've said. However, that same day Laban took out the striped and spotted male goats, all the speckled and spotted female goats, every one with white on it, and every black lamb. He had his sons take charge of them. He traveled three days away from Jacob. Jacob continued to take care of the rest of Laban's flocks. Then Jacob took fresh-cut branches of poplar, almond, and plane trees, and peeled the bark on them in strips of white, uncovering the white which was on the branches. He placed the peeled branches in the troughs directly in front of the flocks, at the watering places where the flocks came to drink. When they were in heat and came to drink, they mated in front of the branches. Then they gave birth to young that were striped, speckled, or spotted. Jacob separated the rams from the flock and made the rest of the sheep face any that were striped or black in Laban's flocks. So he made separate herds for himself and did not add them to Laban's flocks. Whenever the stronger of the flocks were in heat, Jacob would lay the branches in the troughs in front of them so that they would mate by the branches. But when the flocks in heat were weak, he didn't lay down the branches. So the weaker ones belonged to Laban and the stronger ones to Jacob. As a result, Jacob became very wealthy. He had large flocks, male and female slaves, camels and donkeys. Genesis chapter 31. Jacob heard that Laban's sons were saying, Jacob has taken everything that belonged to our father and has gained all his wealth from him. He also noticed that Laban did not appear as friendly to him as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Go back to the land of your ancestors and to your relatives, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent a message to Rachel and Leah to come out to the open country where his flocks were. He said to them, I have seen that your father isn't as friendly to me as he was before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have worked as hard as I could for your father. Your father has cheated me. He has changed my wages ten times, but God hasn't let him harm me. Whenever he said, The speckled ones will be your wages, all the flocks gave birth to speckled young. And whenever he said, The striped ones will be your wages, all the flocks gave birth to striped young. So God has taken away your father's livestock and has given them to me. During the mating season I had a dream. I looked up and saw that the male goats which were mating were striped, speckled, or spotted. In the dream, the messenger of God called to me, Jacob, and I answered, Yes, here I am. He said, Look up and see that all the male goats which are mating are striped, speckled, or spotted, because I have seen everything that Laban is doing to you. I am the God who appeared to you at Bethel, where you poured olive oil on a stone marker for a holy purpose, and where you made a vow to me. Now leave this land and go back to the land of your relatives. Rachel and Leah answered him, Is there anything left in our father's household for us to inherit? Doesn't he think of us as foreigners? Not only did he sell us, but he has used up the money that was paid for us. Certainly all the wealth that God took away from our father belongs to us and our children. Now do whatever God has told you. Then Jacob put his children and his wives on camels. He drove all his livestock ahead of him and took all the possessions that he had accumulated. He took his own livestock that he had accumulated in Padan Aram and went back to his father Isaac in Canaan. When Laban went to shear his sheep, Rachel stole her father's idols. Jacob also tricked Laban, the Aramean, by not telling him he was leaving. So he left in a hurry with all that belonged to him. 
he crossed the Euphrates River and went toward the mountains of Gilead. Two days later, Laban was told that Jacob had left in a hurry. He and his relatives pursued Jacob for seven days. Laban caught up with him in the mountains of Gilead. God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream at night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything at all to Jacob. When Laban finally caught up with Jacob, Jacob had put up his tents in the mountains. So Laban and his relatives put up their tents in the mountains of Gilead. Then Laban asked Jacob, What have you done by tricking me? You've carried off my daughters like prisoners of war. Why did you leave secretly and trick me? You didn't even tell me you were leaving. I would have sent you on your way rejoicing with songs accompanied by tambourines and lyres. You didn't even let me kiss my grandchildren and my daughters. You've done a foolish thing. I have the power to harm you. Last night the God of your father said to me, Be careful not to say anything at all to Jacob. Now you have left for your father's home because you were so homesick. But why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered Laban, I left because I was afraid. I thought you would take your daughters away from me by force. If you find your gods, the one who has them will not be allowed to live. In the presence of our relatives, search as much as you want through what I have, and take what is yours. Jacob didn't know that Rachel had stolen the gods. So Laban went into Jacob's tent, into Leah's tent, and into the tent of the two slaves. But he found nothing. He came out of Leah's tent and went into Rachel's tent. Rachel had taken the idols and had put them in her camel's saddlebag and was sitting on them. Laban rummaged through the whole tent but found nothing. Rachel said to her father, Don't be angry, father, but I can't get up to greet you. I'm having my period. So even though Laban had made a thorough search, he didn't find the idols. Then Jacob became angry and confronted Laban. What is my crime? Jacob demanded of Laban. What is my offense that you have come chasing after me? Now that you've rummaged through all my things, did you find anything from your house? Put it here in front of all our relatives. Let them decide which one of us is right. I've been with you for twenty years. Your sheep and goats never miscarried, and I never ate any rams from your flocks. I never brought you any of the flock that was killed by wild animals. I paid for the loss myself. That's what you demanded of me when any of the flock was stolen during the day or at night. The scorching heat during the day and the cold at night wore me down, and I lost a lot of sleep. I've been with your household twenty years now. I worked for you fourteen years for your two daughters and six years for your flocks, and you changed my wages ten times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been with me, you would have sent me away empty-handed by now. God has seen my misery and hard work, and last night he made it right. Then Laban answered Jacob, These are my daughters, my grandchildren, and my flocks. Everything you see is mine. Yet what can I do today for my daughters or for their children? Now let's make an agreement and let it stand as a witness between you and me. Jacob took a stone and set it up as a marker. Then Jacob said to his relatives, Gather some stones. They took stones, put them into a pile, and ate there by the pile of stones. In his language, Laban called it Jager Sahadutha, witness pile. But Jacob called it Galid. Laban said, This pile of stones stands as a witness between you and me today. This is why it was named Galid, and also Mizpah, watchtower, because he said, May the Lord watch between you and me when we're unable to see each other. If you mistreat my daughters or marry other women behind my back, 
Remember that God stands as a witness between you and me. Laban said to Jacob, Here is the pile of stones, and here is the marker that I have set up between you and me. This pile of stones and this marker stand as witnesses, that I will not go past the pile of stones to harm you, and that you will not go past the pile of stones or marker to harm me. May the God of Abraham and Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore this oath by the fear of his father Isaac, and offered a sacrifice on the mountain. He invited his relatives to eat the meal with him. They ate with him and spent the night on the mountain. Early the next morning Laban kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban left and went back home. Genesis chapter 32. As Jacob went on his way, God's angels met him. When he saw them, Jacob said, This is God's camp. He named that place Mahanaim, two camps. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in Seir, the country of Edom. He commanded them to give this message to Esau. Sir, this is what Jacob has to say. I've been living with Laban and have stayed until now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, and male and female slaves. I've sent these messengers to tell you this news in order to win your favor. When the messengers came back to Jacob, they said, We went to your brother Esau. He is coming to meet you with four hundred men. Jacob was terrified and distressed. So he divided the people, the sheep and goats, the cattle and the camels into two camps. He thought, If Esau attacks the one camp, then the other camp will be able to escape. Then Jacob prayed, God of my grandfather Abraham and God of my father Isaac, Lord, you said to me, Go back to your land and to your relatives, and I will make you prosperous. I am not worthy of all the love and faithfulness you have shown me. I only had a shepherd's staff when I crossed the Jordan River, but now I have two camps. Please save me from my brother Esau, because I am afraid of him. I am afraid that he'll come and attack me, and the mothers and children too. But you did say, I will make sure that you are prosperous, and that your descendants will be as many as the grains of sand on the seashore. No one will be able to count them, because there are so many. He stayed there that night. Then he prepared a gift for his brother Esau from what he had brought with him, two hundred female goats and twenty male goats, two hundred female sheep and twenty male sheep, thirty female camels with their young, forty cows and ten bulls, twenty female donkeys and ten male donkeys. He placed servants in charge of each herd. Then he said to his servants, Go ahead of me and keep a distance between the herds. He commanded the first servant, When my brother Esau meets you and asks you, To whom do you belong, and where are you going, and whose animals are these ahead of you? Then say, Sir, they belong to your servant Jacob. This is a gift sent to you. Jacob is right behind us. He also commanded the second servant, the third, and all the others who followed the herds. He said, Say the same thing to Esau when you find him. And be sure to add, Jacob is right behind us, sir. He thought, I'll make peace with him by giving him this gift that I'm sending ahead of me. After that I will see him, and he'll welcome me back. So Jacob sent the gift ahead of him while he stayed in the camp that night. During that night he got up and gathered his two wives, his two slaves, and his eleven children, and crossed at the shallow part of the Jabbok River. After he sent them across the stream, he sent everything else across. So Jacob was left alone. Then a man wrestled with him until dawn. When the man saw that he could not win against Jacob, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that it was dislocated as they wrestled. Then the man said, Let me go. It's almost dawn. But Jacob answered, 
I won't let you go until you bless me. So the man asked him, What's your name? Jacob, he answered. The man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. He struggles with God, because you have struggled with God and with men, and you have won. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. The man answered, Why do you ask for my name? Then he blessed Jacob there. So Jacob named that place Peniel, face of God, because he said, I have seen God face to face, but my life was saved. The sun rose as he passed Penuel. He was limping because of his hip. Therefore, even today, the people of Israel do not eat the muscle of the thigh attached to the hip socket, because God touched the socket of Jacob's hip at the muscle of the thigh. Genesis chapter 33. Jacob saw Esau coming with four hundred men, so he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two slaves. He put the slaves and their children in front, Leah and her children after them, and Rachel and Joseph last. He went on ahead of them and bowed seven times, with his face touching the ground as he came near his brother. Then Esau ran to meet Jacob. Esau hugged him, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. They both cried. When he saw the women and children, Esau asked, Who are these people here with you? The children God has graciously given me, sir, Jacob answered. Then the slaves and their children came forward and bowed down. Likewise, Leah and her children came forward and bowed down. Finally, Joseph and Rachel came forward and bowed down. Then Esau asked, Why did you send this whole group of people and animals I met? He answered, To win your favor, sir. Esau said, I have enough. Keep what you have, brother. Jacob said, No, please take the gift I'm giving you, because I've seen your face as if I were seeing the face of God, and yet you welcome me so warmly. Please take the present I've brought you, because God has been gracious to me and has given me all that I need. So Esau took it because Jacob insisted. Then Esau said, Let's get ready to go, and I'll go with you. Jacob said to him, Sir, you know that the children are frail, and that I have to take care of the flocks and cattle that are nursing their young. If they're driven too hard for even one day, all the flocks will die. Go ahead of me, sir. I will slowly and gently guide the herds that are in front of me at their pace and at the children's pace until I come to you in Seir. Esau said, Then let me leave some of my men with you. Why do that? Jacob said. I only want to win your favor, sir. That day Esau started back to Seir. But Jacob moved on to Succoth, where he built a house for himself and made shelters for his livestock. That is why the place is named Succoth, Shelters. So having come from Padan Aram, Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem in Canaan. He camped within sight of the city. Then he bought the piece of land on which he had put up his tents. He bought it from the sons of Hamor, father of Shechem, for one hundred pieces of silver. He set up an altar there and named it, God is the God of Israel. Genesis chapter 34. Dinah, daughter of Leah and Jacob, went out to visit some of the Canaanite women. When Shechem, son of the local ruler Hamor the Hivite, saw her, he took her and raped her. He became very fond of Jacob's daughter Dinah. He loved the girl and spoke tenderly to her. So Shechem said to his father Hamor, Get me this girl for my wife. Jacob heard that Shechem had dishonored his daughter Dinah. His sons were with his livestock out in the open country, so Jacob kept quiet until they came home. So Shechem's father Hamor came to Jacob to speak with him. Jacob's sons came in from the open country as soon as they heard the news. 
The men felt outraged and very angry because Shechem had committed such a godless act against Israel's family by raping Jacob's daughter. This shouldn't have happened. Hamor told them, My son Shechem has his heart set on your daughter. Please let her marry him. Intermarry with us. Give your daughters to us and take ours for yourselves. You can live with us and the land will be yours. Live here. Move about freely in this area and acquire property here. Then Shechem said to Dinah's father and her brothers, Do me this favor. I'll give you whatever you ask. Set the price I must pay for the bride and the gift I must give her as high as you want. I'll pay exactly what you tell me. Give me the girl as my wife. Then Jacob's sons gave Shechem and his father Hamor a misleading answer, because he had dishonored their sister Dinah. They said, We can't do this. We can't give our sister to a man who is uncircumcised. That would be a disgrace to us. We will give our consent to you only on one condition. Every male must be circumcised as we are. Then we'll give our daughters to you and take yours for ourselves, and we'll live with you and become one people. If you won't agree to be circumcised, we'll take our daughter and go. Their proposal seemed good to Hamor and his son Shechem. The young man didn't waste any time in doing what they said because he took such pleasure in Jacob's daughter. He was the most honored person in all his father's family. So Hamor and his son Shechem went to their city gate to speak to the men of their city. They said, These people are friendly toward us, so let them live in our land and move about freely in the area. Look, there's plenty of room in this land for them. We can marry their daughters and let them marry ours. These people will consent to live with us and become one nation on one condition. Every male must be circumcised as they are. Won't their livestock, their personal property, and all their animals be ours? We only need to agree to do this for them. Then they'll live with us. All the men who had come out to the city gate agreed with Hamor and his son Shechem. So they were all circumcised at the city gate. Two days later, while the men were still in pain, two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and boldly attacked the city. They killed every man, including Hamor and his son Shechem. They took Dinah from Shechem's home and left. Then Jacob's sons stripped the corpses and looted the city where their sister had been dishonored. They took the sheep and goats, cattle, donkeys, and whatever else was in the city or out in the fields. They carried off all the wealth and all the women and children and looted everything in the houses. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have caused me a lot of trouble. You have made the people living in the area, the Canaanites and the Perizzites, hate me. There are only a few of us. If they join forces against me and attack me, my family and I will be wiped out. Simeon and Levi asked, Should Shechem have been allowed to treat our sister like a prostitute? Genesis chapter 35 Then God said to Jacob, Go to Bethel and live there. Make an altar there. I am the God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his family and to those who were with him, Get rid of the foreign gods which you have, Wash yourselves until you are ritually clean, and change your clothes. Then let's go to Bethel. I will make an altar there to God, who answered me when I was troubled, and who has been with me wherever I've gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods that they had in their possession, as well as the earrings that they had on. Jacob buried these things under the oak tree near Shechem. As they moved on, God made the people of the cities that were all around them terrified so that no one pursued them. Jacob and all the people who were with him came to Luz, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan. 
He built an altar there and called that place El Bethel, God of the house of God. That's where God had revealed himself to Jacob when he was fleeing from his brother. Rebekah's nurse Deborah died and was buried under the oak tree outside Bethel. So Jacob called it the tree of crying. Then God appeared once more to Jacob after he came back from Padan Aram, and he blessed him. God said to him, Your name is Jacob. You will no longer be called Jacob, but your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. God also said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fertile and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you, and kings will come from you. I will give you the land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac. I will also give this land to your descendants. Then God went up from him at the place where he had spoken with him. So Jacob set up a memorial, a stone marker, to mark the place where God had spoken with him. He poured a wine offering and olive oil on it. Jacob named the place where God had spoken with him Bethel, house of God. Then they moved on from Bethel. When they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel went into labor and was having severe labor pains. During one of her pains, the midwife said to her, Don't be afraid. You're having another son. Rachel was dying. As she took her last breath, she named her son Benoni, son of my sorrow. But his father named him Benjamin, son of my right hand. Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Then Jacob set up a stone as a marker for her grave. The same marker is at Rachel's grave today. Israel moved on again and put up his tent beyond Migdal Eder. While Israel was living in that region, Reuben went to bed with his father's concubine Bilhah, and Israel heard about it. Jacob had twelve sons. The sons of Leah were Jacob's firstborn Reuben, then Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. The sons of Rachel were Joseph and Benjamin. The sons of Rachel's slave Bilhah were Dan and Naphtali. The sons of Leah's slave Zilpah were Gad and Asher. These were Jacob's sons, who were born in Padan Aram. Jacob came home to his father Isaac to Mamre's city, Kiriath Arba, that is, Hebron. Abraham and Isaac had lived there for a while. Isaac was 180 years old when he took his last breath and died. He joined his ancestors in death at a very old age. His sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Genesis chapter 36. This is the account of Esau, that is Edom, and his descendants. Esau chose his wives from the women of Canaan, Ada, daughter of Elon the Hittite, Oholibama, daughter of Anna, and granddaughter of Zibion the Hivite, also Basimath, the daughter of Ishmael and sister of Neboth. Ada gave birth to Eliphaz for Esau, and Basimath gave birth to Reuel. Oholibama gave birth to Jeush, Jalam, and Korah. These were the sons of Esau who were born in Canaan. Esau took his wives, his sons, his daughters, all the members of his household, his possessions, all his cattle, and everything he had accumulated in Canaan, and went to another land away from his brother Jacob. He did this because they had too many possessions to live together. There wasn't enough pasture land for all their livestock. So Esau, who was also known as Edom, lived in the mountains of Seir. This is the account of Esau and his descendants. He was the father of the people of Edom in the mountain of Seir. These were the names of Esau's sons, Eliphaz, son of Esau's wife Ada, and Reuel, son of Esau's wife Basimath. The sons of Eliphaz were Taman, Omar, Zepho, Gatam, and Kenaz. 
Timnah was a concubine of Esau's son Eliphaz. She gave birth to Amalek for Eliphaz. These were the grandsons of Esau's wife Ada. These were Reuel's sons, Nahath, Zerah, Shammah, and Misa. These were the grandsons of Esau's wife Basimath. These were the sons of Esau's wife Aholibamah, daughter of Anna and granddaughter of Zibion. She gave birth to Jeush, Jalam, and Korah for Esau. These were the tribal leaders among Esau's descendants. The sons of Eliphaz, Esau's firstborn, were Teman, Omar, Zepho, Kenaz, Korah, Gatam, and Amalek. These were the tribal leaders descended from Eliphaz in Edom. They were the grandsons of Ada. These were the tribal leaders among the descendants of Esau's son Reuel, Nahath, Zerah, Shammah, and Misa. These were the tribal leaders descended from Reuel in Edom. They were the grandsons of Esau's wife Basimath. These were the tribal leaders among the descendants of Esau's wife Aholibamah, Jeush, Jalam, and Korah. These were the tribal leaders descended from Esau's wife Aholibamah, Anna's daughter. These were the descendants of Esau, that is, Edom, who were tribal leaders. These were the sons of Seir, the Horite, the people living in that land, Lotan, Shobal, Zibion, Anna, Dishon, Ezer, and Dishan. These Horite tribal leaders were the sons of Seir and Edom. The sons of Lotan were Hori and Hamam. Lotan's sister was Timnah. These were the sons of Shobal, Alvan, Manahath, Ebal, Shepho, and Onam. These were the sons of Zibion, Aiyah, and Anna. Anna found the hot springs in the desert while he was taking care of the donkeys that belonged to his father Zibion. These were the children of Anna, Dishon, and Haholibama, daughter of Anna. These were the sons of Dishon, Hemdan, Eshban, Ethran, and Keran. These were the sons of Ezer, Bilhan, Zaavan, and Akan. These were the sons of Dishan, Uz, and Aran. These were the Horite tribal leaders, Lotan, Shobal, Zibion, Anna, Dishon, Ezer, and Dishan. These were the Horite tribal leaders in the land of Seir. These were the kings who ruled Edom before any king ruled the people of Israel. Bela, son of Beor, ruled Edom. The name of his capital city was Dinhaba. After Bela died, Jobab, son of Zerah from Bozrah, succeeded him as king. After Jobab died, Husham, from the land of the Temanites, succeeded him as king. After Husham died, Hadad, son of Bedad, succeeded him as king. Hadad defeated the Midianites in the country of Moab. The name of his capital city was Avith. After Hadad died, Samla from Mazrekah succeeded him as king. After Samla died, Shaul from Rehoboth on the river succeeded him as king. After Shaul died, Baal Hanan, son of Achbor, succeeded him as king. After Baal Hanan, son of Achbor, died, Hadar succeeded him as king, and the name of his capital city was Pau. His wife's name was Mehetabel, daughter of Matred and granddaughter of Mezahab. These were the names of the tribal leaders descended from Esau by family, place, and name. Timnah, Alva, Jeheth, Aholibama, Ela, Pinon, Kinaz, Teman, Mibzar, Magdiel, and Iram. These were the tribal leaders of Edom listed by the places where they lived and the property they owned. Esau was the father of the people of Edom. Genesis chapter 37. Jacob continued to live in the land of Canaan where his father had lived. This is the account of Jacob and his descendants. Joseph was a 17-year-old young man. He took care of the flocks with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. Joseph told his father about the bad things his brothers were doing. 
Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons because Joseph had been born in Israel's old age. So he made Joseph a special robe with long sleeves. Joseph's brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them. They hated Joseph and couldn't speak to him on friendly terms. Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Please listen to the dream I had. We were tying grain into bundles out in the field, and suddenly mine stood up. It remained standing while your bundles gathered around my bundle and bowed down to it. Then his brothers asked him, Are you going to be our king or rule us? They hated him even more for his dreams and his words. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. I saw the sun, the moon, and eleven stars bowing down to me. When he told his father and his brothers, his father criticized him by asking, What's this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers come and bow down in front of you? So his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept thinking about these things. His brothers had gone to take care of their father's flocks at Shechem. Israel then said to Joseph, Your brothers are taking care of the flocks at Shechem. I'm going to send you to them. Joseph responded, I'll go. So Israel said, See how your brothers and the flocks are doing, and bring some news back to me. Then he sent Joseph away from the Hebron Valley. When Joseph came to Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the open country. What are you looking for? the man asked. Joseph replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Please tell me where they're taking care of their flocks. The man said, They moved on from here. I heard them say, Let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from a distance. Before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. They said to each other, Look, here comes that master dreamer. Let's kill him. Throw him into one of the cisterns and say that a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what happens to his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to save Joseph from their plot. Let's not kill him, he said. Let's not have any bloodshed. Put him into that cistern. That's out in the desert. But don't hurt him. Reuben wanted to rescue Joseph from them and bring him back to his father. So when Joseph reached his brothers, they stripped him of his special robe with long sleeves. Then they took him and put him into an empty cistern. It had no water in it. As they sat down to eat, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were carrying the materials for cosmetics, medicine, and embalming. They were on their way to take them to Egypt. Judah asked his brothers, What will we gain by killing our brother and covering up his death? Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. Let's not hurt him, because he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. As the Midianite merchants were passing by, the brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern. They sold him to the Ishmaelites for eight ounces of silver. The Ishmaelites took him to Egypt. When Reuben came back to the cistern and saw that Joseph was no longer there, he tore his clothes in grief. He went back to his brothers and said, The boy isn't there. What am I going to do? So they took Joseph's robe, killed a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. Then they brought the special robe with long sleeves to their father and said, we found this. You better examine it to see whether it's your son's robe or not. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. A wild animal has eaten him. Joseph must have been torn to pieces. Then, to show his grief, Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth around his waist, and mourned for his son a long time. All his other sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. He said, No, I will mourn for my son until I die. This is how Joseph's father cried over him. 
Meanwhile, in Egypt, the Midianites sold Joseph to Potiphar, one of the Pharaoh's officials and captain of the guard. Genesis chapter 38. About that time, Judah left his brothers and went to stay with a man from Adullam, whose name was Hira. There Judah met the daughter of a Canaanite man whose name was Shua. He married her and slept with her. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son named Er. She became pregnant again and gave birth to another son whom she named Onan. Then she became pregnant again and gave birth to another son whom she named Shelah. He was born at Kezib. Judah chose a wife for his firstborn son, Er. Her name was Tamar. Er angered the Lord, so the Lord took away his life. Then Judah said to Onan, Go sleep with your brother's widow, do your duty for her as a brother-in-law, and produce a descendant for your brother. But Onan knew that the descendant wouldn't belong to him. So whenever he slept with his brother's widow, he wasted his semen on the ground to avoid giving his brother a descendant. What Onan did angered the Lord so much that the Lord took away Onan's life too. Then Judah said to his daughter-in-law Tamar, Return to your father's home. Live as a widow until my son Shelah grows up. He thought that this son, too, might die like his brothers. So Tamar went to live in her father's home. After a long time, Judah's wife, the daughter of Shua, died. When Judah had finished mourning, he and his friend Hira from Adullam went to Timnah, where the men were shearing Judah's sheep. As soon as Tamar was told that her father-in-law was on his way to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's clothes, covered her face with a veil, and disguised herself. Then she sat down at the entrance to Enaim, which is on the road to Timnah. She did this because she realized that Shelah was grown up now, and she hadn't been given to him in marriage. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute because she had covered her face. Since he didn't know she was his daughter-in-law, he approached her by the roadside and said, Come on, let's sleep together. She asked, What will you pay to sleep with me? I'll send you a young goat from the flock, he answered. She said, First give me something as a deposit until you send it. What should I give you as a deposit, he asked. Your signet ring, its cord, and the shepherd's staff that's in your hand, she answered. So he gave them to her. Then he slept with her, and she became pregnant. After she got up and left, she took off her veil and put her widow's clothes back on. Judah sent his friend Hira to deliver the young goat so that he could get back his deposit from the woman, but his friend couldn't find her. He asked the men of that area, Where's that prostitute who was beside the road at Enaim? There's no prostitute here, they answered. So he went back to Judah and said, I couldn't find her. Even the men of that area said, There's no prostitute here. Then Judah said, Let her keep what I gave her, or we'll become a laughingstock. After all, I did send her this young goat, but you couldn't find her. About three months later, Judah was told, Your daughter-in-law, Tamar, has been acting like a prostitute. What's more, because of it, she's pregnant. Judah ordered, Bring her out to be burned. As she was brought out, she sent a message to her father-in-law, I'm pregnant by the man who owns these things. See if you recognize whose signet ring, cord, and shepherd's staff these are. Judah recognized them and said, She's not guilty. I am. She did this because I haven't given her my son, Shelah. Judah never made love to her again. The time came for Tamar to give birth, and she had twin boys. When she was giving birth, one of them put out his hand. The midwife took a piece of red yarn, tied it on his wrist, and said, This one came out first. As he pulled back his hand, his brother was born. So she said, Is this how you burst into the world? He was named Perez, bursting into. After that, his brother was born with the red yarn on his hand. He was named Zerah, sunrise. Genesis chapter 39. Joseph had been taken to Egypt. 
Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's Egyptian officials and captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man. He worked in the house of his Egyptian master. Joseph's master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made everything he did successful. Potiphar liked Joseph so much that he made him his trusted servant. He put him in charge of his household and everything he owned. From that time on, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's household because of Joseph. Therefore, the Lord's blessing was on everything Potiphar owned in his house and in his fields. So he left all that he owned in Joseph's care. He wasn't concerned about anything except the food he ate. Joseph was well built and handsome. After a while, his master's wife began to desire Joseph. So she said, Come to bed with me. But Joseph refused and said to her, My master doesn't concern himself with anything in the house. He trusts me with everything he owns. No one in this house is greater than I. He's kept nothing back from me except you, because you're his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Although she kept asking Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or be with her. One day he went into the house to do his work, and none of the household servants were there. She grabbed him by his clothes and said, Come to bed with me. But he ran outside and left his clothes in her hand. When she realized that he had gone but had left his clothes behind, she called her household servants and said to them, Look, my husband brought this Hebrew here to fool around with us. He came in and tried to go to bed with me, but I screamed as loud as I could. As soon as he heard me scream, he ran outside and left his clothes with me. She kept Joseph's clothes with her until his master came home. Then she told him the same story. The Hebrew slave you brought here came in and tried to fool around with me. But when I screamed, he ran outside and left his clothes with me. When Potiphar heard his wife's story, especially when she said, This is what your slave did to me, he became very angry. So Joseph's master arrested him and put him in the same prison where the king's prisoners were kept. While Joseph was in prison, the Lord was with him. The Lord reached out to him with his unchanging love and gave him protection. The Lord also put Joseph on good terms with the warden. So the warden placed Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in that prison. Joseph became responsible for everything that they were doing. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and made whatever he did successful. Genesis chapter 40. Later the king's cupbearer and his baker offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his chief cupbearer and his chief baker. He put them in the prison of the captain of the guard, the same place where Joseph was a prisoner. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he took care of them. After they had been confined for some time, both prisoners, the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt, had dreams one night. Each man had a dream with its own special meaning. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were upset. So he asked these officials of Pharaoh, who were with him in his master's prison, Why do you look so unhappy today? We both had dreams, they answered him, but there's no one to tell us what they mean. Isn't God the only one who can tell what they mean? Joseph asked them. Why don't you tell me all about them? So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said, In my dream a grapevine with three branches appeared in front of me. Soon after it sprouted, it blossomed. Then its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, so I took the grapes and squeezed them into it. I put the cup in Pharaoh's hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. In the next three days, Pharaoh will release you and restore you to your position. You will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand as you used to do when you were his cup-bearer. 
Remember me when things go well for you, and please do me a favor. Mention me to Pharaoh, and get me out of this prison. I was kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I've done nothing to deserve being put in this dungeon. The chief baker saw that the meaning Joseph had given to the cupbearer's dream was good, so he said to Joseph, I had a dream too. In my dream three baskets of white baked goods were on my head. The top basket contained all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph replied. The three baskets are three days. In the next three days, Pharaoh will cut off your head and hang your dead body on a pole. The birds will eat the flesh from your bones. Two days later, on his birthday, Pharaoh had a special dinner prepared for all his servants. Of all his servants, he gave special attention to the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position. So the cupbearer put the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hung the chief baker just as Joseph had said in his interpretation. Nevertheless, the chief cupbearer didn't remember Joseph. He forgot all about him. Genesis chapter 41. After two full years, the Pharaoh had a dream. He dreamed he was standing by the Nile River. Suddenly, seven nice-looking, well-fed cows came up from the river and began to graze among the reeds. Seven other cows came up from the river behind them. These cows were sickly and skinny. They stood behind the first seven cows on the riverbank. The cows that were sickly and skinny ate the seven nice-looking, well-fed cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven good, healthy heads of grain were growing on a single stalk. Seven other heads of grain, thin and scorched by the east wind, sprouted behind them. The thin heads of grain swallowed the seven full, healthy heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It was only a dream. In the morning he was so upset that he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could tell him what they meant. Then the chief cupbearer spoke to Pharaoh. I remember a promise I failed to keep. Some time ago, when Pharaoh was angry with his servants, he confined me and the chief baker to the captain of the guard's prison. We both had dreams the same night. Each dream had its own meaning. A young Hebrew, a slave of the captain of the guard, was with us. We told him our dreams, and he told each of us what they meant. What he told us happened. Pharaoh restored me to my position, but he hung the baker on a pole. Then Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and immediately he was brought from the dungeon. After he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came in front of Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can tell me what it means. I heard that when you are told a dream, you can say what it means. Joseph answered Pharaoh, I can't. But God can give Pharaoh the answer that he needs. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, In my dream I was standing on the bank of the Nile. Suddenly seven nice-looking, well-fed cows came up from the river and began to graze among the reeds. Seven other cows came up behind them. These cows were scrawny, very sick and thin. I've never seen such sickly cows in all of Egypt. The thin, sickly cows ate up the seven well-fed ones. Even though they had eaten them, no one could tell they had eaten them. They looked just as sick as before. Then I woke up. In my second dream I saw seven good, full heads of grain growing on a single stalk. Seven other heads of grain, withered, thin, and scorched by the east wind, sprouted behind them. The thin heads of grain swallowed the seven good heads. I told this to the magicians, but no one could tell me what it meant. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh had the same dream twice. God has told Pharaoh what he's going to do. The seven good cows are seven years, 
and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It's all the same dream. The seven thin, sickly cows that came up behind them are seven years. The seven empty heads of grain scorched by the east wind are also seven years. Seven years of famine are coming. It's just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he's going to do. Seven years are coming when there will be plenty of food in Egypt. After them will come seven years of famine. People will forget that there was plenty of food in Egypt, and the famine will ruin the land. People won't remember that there once was plenty of food in the land because the coming famine will be so severe. The reason Pharaoh has had a recurring dream is because the matter has been definitely decided by God, and he will do it very soon. Pharaoh should look for a wise and intelligent man and put him in charge of Egypt, make arrangements to appoint supervisors over the land to take a fifth of Egypt's harvest during the seven good years. Have them collect all the food during these good years and store up grain under Pharaoh's control to be kept for food in the cities. This food will be a reserve supply for our country during the seven years of famine that will happen in Egypt. Then the land will not be ruined by the famine. Pharaoh and all his servants liked the idea. So Pharaoh asked his servants, Can we find anyone like this, a man who has God's Spirit in him? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, because God has let you know all this, there is no one as wise and intelligent as you. You will be in charge of my palace, and all my people will do what you say. I will be more important than you, only because I'm Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I now put you in charge of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took off his signet ring and put it on Joseph's finger. He had Joseph dressed in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in the chariot of the second-in-command. Men ran ahead of him and shouted, Make way! Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of Egypt. He also said to Joseph, Even though I'm Pharaoh, no one anywhere in Egypt will do anything without your permission. Pharaoh named Joseph Zaphonath-Paneah and gave him Asenath as his wife. She was the daughter of Potipharah, priest from the city of On. Joseph traveled around Egypt. Joseph was thirty years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. He left Pharaoh and traveled all around Egypt. During the seven good years, the land produced large harvests. Joseph collected all the food grown in Egypt during those seven years and put this food in the cities. In each city, he put the food from the fields around it. Joseph stored up grain in huge quantities like the sand on the seashore. He had so much that he finally gave up keeping any records because he couldn't measure it all. Before the years of famine came, Joseph had two sons by Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, priest from the city of On. Joseph named his firstborn son Manasseh. He helps me forget, because God helped him forget all his troubles and all about his father's family. He named the second son Ephraim, blessed twice with children, because God gave him children in the land where he had suffered. The seven years when there was plenty of food in Egypt came to an end. Then the seven years of famine began, as Joseph had said they would. All the other countries were experiencing famine, yet there was food in Egypt. When everyone in Egypt began to feel the effects of the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. But Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph, do what he tells you. When the famine had spread all over the country, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians. He did this because the famine was severe in Egypt. The whole world came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain, since the famine was so severe all over the world. Genesis chapter 42.
When Jacob found out that grain was for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you keep looking at each other? I've heard there's grain for sale in Egypt. Go there and buy some for us, so that we won't starve to death. Ten of Joseph's brothers went to buy grain in Egypt. Jacob wouldn't send Joseph's brother Benjamin with the other brothers, because he was afraid that something would happen to him. Israel's sons left with the others who were going to buy grain because there was also famine in Canaan. As governor of the country, Joseph was selling grain to everyone. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed in front of him with their faces touching the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. But he acted as if he didn't know them and spoke harshly to them. Where did you come from? he asked them. From Canaan to buy food, they answered. Even though Joseph recognized his brothers, they didn't recognize him. Then he remembered the dreams he once had about them. You're spies, he said to them, and you've come to find out where our country is unprotected. No, sir, they answered him, we've come to buy food. We're all sons of one man. We're honest men, not spies. He said to them, No, you've come to find out where our country is unprotected. They answered him, We were twelve brothers, sons of one man in Canaan. The youngest brother stayed with our father, and the other one is no longer with us. It's just as I told you, Joseph said to them. You're spies. This is how you'll be tested. I solemnly swear, as surely as Pharaoh lives, that you won't leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. One of you must be sent to get your brother while the rest of you stay in prison. We'll see if you're telling the truth. If not, I solemnly swear, as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. Then he put them in jail for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, do this, and you will live. I too fear God. If you are honest men, you will let one of your brothers stay here in prison. The rest of you will go and take grain back to your starving families. But you must bring me your youngest brother. This will show that you've been telling the truth. Then you won't die. So they agreed. They said to each other, We're surely being punished for what we did to our brother. We saw how troubled he was when he pleaded with us for mercy, but we wouldn't listen. That's why we're in trouble now. Reuben said to them, Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must pay for this bloodshed. They didn't know that Joseph could understand them because he was speaking through an interpreter. He stepped away from them to cry. When he could speak to them again, he came back. Then he picked Simeon and had him arrested right in front of their eyes. Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain. He put each man's money back into his sack and gave them supplies for their trip. After their bags were filled, they loaded their grain on their donkeys and left. At the place where they stopped for the night, one of them opened his sack to feed his donkey. His money was right inside his sack. He said to his brothers, My money has been put back. It's right here in my sack. They wanted to die. They trembled and turned to each other and asked, What has God done to us? When they came to their father Jacob in Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them. They said, the governor of that land spoke harshly to us and treated us like spies. But we said to him, We're honest men, not spies. We were twelve brothers, sons of the same father. One is no longer with us. The youngest brother stayed with our father in Canaan. Then the governor of that land said to us, This is how I'll know that you're honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me. Take food for your starving families and go. But bring me your youngest brother. Then I'll know that you're not spies, but honest men." I'll give your brother back to you, and you'll be able to move about freely in this country. As they were emptying their sacks, each man found his bag of money in his sack. 
When they and their father saw the bags of money, they were frightened. Their father Jacob said to them, You're going to make me lose all my children. Joseph is no longer with us, Simeon is no longer with us, and now you want to take Benjamin. Everything's against me. So Reuben said to his father, You may put my two sons to death if I don't bring him back to you. Let me take care of him, and I'll bring him back to you. Jacob replied, My son will not go with you. His brother is dead, and he's the only one left. If any harm comes to him on the trip you're taking, the grief would drive this gray-haired old man to his grave. Genesis chapter 43. The famine was severe in the land. When they finished eating the grain they had brought from Egypt, Israel said to his sons, Go back and buy us a little more food. Judah said to him, The man gave us a severe warning. You won't be allowed to see me again unless your brother is with you. If you let our brother go with us, we'll go and buy food for you. If you won't let him go, we won't go. The man said to us, You won't be allowed to see me again unless your brother is with you. Israel asked, Why have you made trouble for me by telling the man you had another brother? They answered, The man kept asking about us and our family. Is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? We simply answered his questions. How could we possibly know he would say, Bring your brother here? Then Judah said to his father Israel, Send the boy along with me. Let's get going so that we won't starve to death. I guarantee that he will come back. You can hold me responsible for him. If I don't bring him back to you and place him here in front of you, you can blame me the rest of my life. If we hadn't waited so long, we could have made this trip twice by now. Then their father Israel said to them, If that's the way it has to be, then take the man a gift. Put some of the best products of the land in your bags. Take a little balm, a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Take twice as much money with you. You must return the money that was put back in your sacks. Maybe it was a mistake. Take your brother and go back to the man. May God Almighty make him merciful to you, so that he will send your other brother and Benjamin home with you. If I lose my children, I lose my children. The men took the gifts, twice as much money, and Benjamin. They went to Egypt, where they presented themselves to Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the man in charge of his house, Take these men to my house, butcher an animal, and prepare a meal, because they are going to eat with me at noon. So the man did as Joseph said, and took them to Joseph's house. The men were frightened because they had been brought to Joseph's house. They thought, We've been brought here because of the money that was put back into our sacks the first time. They were going to attack us, overpower us, take our donkeys, and make us slaves. So they came to the man in charge of Joseph's house and spoke to him at the door. Please, sir, they said, we came here to buy food once before. When we stopped for the night, we opened our sacks, and each man found all of his money inside. So we brought it back with us. We also brought more money to buy food. We have no idea who put our money back in our sacks. It's all right, he said. Don't be afraid. Your God, the God of your father, must have given you treasure in your sacks. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. The man took the brothers into Joseph's house. He gave them water to wash their feet and feed for their donkeys. They got their gifts ready for Joseph's return at noon, because they had heard they were going to eat there. When Joseph came home, they gave him the gifts they had brought to the house. Then they bowed to him with their faces touching the ground. He asked them how they were. Then he said, You told me about your elderly father. How is he? Is he still alive? They answered, Yes, sir, our father is alive and well. Then they knelt, bowing down. 
As Joseph looked around, he saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son. Is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? he asked. God be gracious to you, my son, he said. Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, he hurried away, looking for a place to cry. He went into his private room and cried there. Then he washed his face and came out. He was in control of his emotions when he said, Serve the food. He was served separately from his brothers. The Egyptians who were there with him were also served separately because they found it offensive to eat with Hebrews. The brothers were seated facing him according to their ages, from the oldest to the youngest. They looked at each other in amazement. Joseph had portions of food brought to them from his table, but Benjamin's portion was five times more than any of the others. So they ate and drank with Joseph until they were drunk. Genesis chapter 44. Joseph commanded the man in charge of his house, Fill the men's sacks with as much food as they can carry. Put each man's money in his sack. Then put my silver cup in the youngest brother's sack, along with the money for his grain. He did what Joseph told him. At dawn the men were sent on their way with their donkeys. They had not gone far from the city when Joseph said to the man in charge of his house, Go after those men at once, and when you catch up with them, say to them, Why have you paid me back with evil when I was good to you? Isn't this the cup that my master drinks from, and that he uses for telling the future? What you have done is evil. When he caught up with them, he repeated these words to them. They answered him, Sir, how can you say such things? We would never think of doing anything like that. We brought the money we found in our sacks back from Canaan. So why would we steal any silver or gold from your master's house? If one of us has it, he will die, and the rest of us will become your slaves. I agree, he said. We'll do what you've said. The man who has the cup will be my slave, and the rest of you can go free. Each one quickly lowered his sack to the ground and opened it. Then the man made a thorough search. He began with the oldest and ended with the youngest. The cup was found in Benjamin's sack. When they saw this, they tore their clothes in grief. Then each one loaded his donkey and went back into the city. Judah and his brothers arrived at Joseph's house while Joseph was still there. Immediately they bowed with their faces touching the ground. Joseph asked them, What have you done? Don't you know that a man like me can find things out because he knows the future? Sir, what can we say to you? Judah asked. How else can we explain it? How can we prove we're innocent? God has uncovered our guilt. Now all of us are your slaves, including the one who had the cup. But Joseph said, I would never think of doing that. Only the man who had the cup will be my slave. The rest of you can go back to your father in peace. Then Judah went up to Joseph and said, Please, sir, let me speak openly with you. Don't be angry with me, although you are equal to Pharaoh. Sir, you asked us, Do you have a father or a brother? We answered, We have a father who is old, and a younger brother born to him when he was already old. The boy's brother is dead, so he's the only one of his mother's sons left, and his father loves him. Then you said to us, Bring him here to me so that I can see him myself. We replied, The boy can't leave his father. If the boy leaves him, his father will die. Then you told us, If your youngest brother doesn't come here with you, you will never be allowed to see me again. When we went back to our father, we told him what you had said. Then our father said, Go back and buy us a little more food. We answered, We can't go back. We can only go back if our youngest brother is with us. The man won't see us unless our youngest brother is with us. Then our father said to us, You know that my wife Rachel gave me two sons, one is gone, and I said, He must have been torn to pieces. I haven't seen him since. If you take this one away from me too, and anything happens to him, you'll drive this gray-haired old man to his grave. 
Our father's life is wrapped up with the boy's life. If I come home without the boy, and he sees that the boy isn't with me, he'll die. The grief would drive our gray-haired old father to his grave. I guaranteed my father that the boy would come back. I said, if I don't bring him back to you, then you can blame me the rest of my life, father. Sir, please let me stay and be your slave in the boy's place, and let the boy go back with his brothers. How could I go back to my father if the boy isn't with me? I couldn't bear to see my father's misery. Genesis chapter 45. Joseph could no longer control his emotions in front of everyone who was standing around him, so he cried out, Have everyone leave me. No one else was there when Joseph told his brothers who he was. He cried so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? His brothers could not answer him because they were afraid of him. Please come closer to me, Joseph said to his brothers. When they did so, he said, I am Joseph, the brother you sold into slavery in Egypt. Now don't be sad or angry with yourselves that you sold me. God sent me ahead of you to save lives. The famine has been in the land for two years. There will be five more years without plowing or harvesting. God sent me ahead of you to make sure that you would have descendants on the earth and to save your lives in an amazing way. It wasn't you who sent me here, but God. He has made me like a father to Pharaoh, lord over his entire household, and ruler of Egypt. Hurry back to my father and say to him, This is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of Egypt. Come here to me right away. Live in the land of Goshen, where you will be near me. Live there with your children and your grandchildren, as well as your flocks, your herds, and everything you have. I will provide for you in Egypt, since there will be five more years of famine. Then you, your family, and all who belong to you won't lose everything. You and my brother Benjamin can see for yourselves that I am the one who is speaking to you. Tell my father how greatly honored I am in Egypt, and about everything you have seen. Hurry, and bring my father here." He threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and cried with Benjamin, who was crying on his shoulder. He kissed all his brothers and cried with them. After that, his brothers talked with him. When Pharaoh's household heard the news that Joseph's brothers had come, Pharaoh and his officials were pleased. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, Load up your animals and go back to Canaan. Take your father and your families and come to me. I will give you the best land in Egypt. Then you can enjoy the best food in the land." Give them this order. Take wagons with you from Egypt for your children and your wives. Bring your father and come back. Don't worry about your belongings, because the best of everything in Egypt is yours. Israel's sons did as they were told. Joseph gave them wagons and supplies for the trip as Pharaoh had ordered. He gave each of them a change of clothes. But he gave Benjamin three hundred pieces of silver and five changes of clothes. He sent his father ten male donkeys carrying Egypt's best products, and ten female donkeys carrying grain, bread, and food for his father's trip. So Joseph sent his brothers on their way. As they were leaving, he said to them, Don't quarrel on your way back. So they left Egypt and came to their father Jacob in Canaan. They told him, Joseph is still alive. Yes, he is ruler of Egypt. Jacob was stunned and didn't believe them. Yet when they told their father everything Joseph had said to them, and he saw the wagons Joseph had sent to bring him back, his spirits were lifted. You have convinced me, Israel said. My son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Genesis chapter 46. Israel moved with all he had. When he came to Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. God spoke to Israel in a vision that night and said, 
Jacob, Jacob. Here I am, he answered. I am God, the God of your father, he said. Don't be afraid to go to Egypt, because I will make you a great nation there. I will go with you to Egypt, and I will make sure you come back again. Joseph will close your eyes when you die. So Jacob left Beersheba. Israel's sons put their father Jacob, their children, and their wives in the wagons Pharaoh had sent to bring him back. They also took their livestock and the possessions they had accumulated in Canaan. Jacob and all his family arrived in Egypt. He had brought his sons, his grandsons, his daughters, and his granddaughters, his entire family. These are the names of Israel's descendants, Jacob and his descendants, who arrived in Egypt. Reuben was Jacob's firstborn. The sons of Reuben were Hanoch, Palu, Hezron, and Kami. The sons of Simeon were Jemuel, Jamin, Ochad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. The sons of Levi were Gershon, Kohath, and Marari. The sons of Judah were Er, Onan, Shelah, Perez, and Zerah. Er and Onan had died in Canaan. The sons of Perez were Hezron and Hamul. The sons of Issachar were Tola, Puva, Eob, and Shimron. The sons of Zebulun were Sered, Elon, and Jalil. These were the descendants of the sons Leah gave to Jacob in Padan Aram, in addition to his daughter Dinah. The total number of these sons and daughters was thirty-three. The sons of God were Ziphion, Hagi, Shuni, Esbon, Eri, Arodi, and Areli. The sons of Asher were Imna, Ishva, Ishvi, and Beriah. Their sister was Sarah. The sons of Beriah were Heber and Malkiel. These were the descendants of Zilpah, whom Laban gave to his daughter Leah. She gave birth to these children for Jacob. The total was sixteen. The sons of Jacob's wife Rachel were Joseph and Benjamin. In Egypt, Manasseh and Ephraim were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, priest from the city of On. The sons of Benjamin were Bela, Beker, Ashbel, Gera, Naaman, Ehi, Rosh, Mupim, Hupim, and Ard. These were the descendants of Rachel who were born to Jacob. The total was fourteen. The son of Dan was Hushim. The sons of Naphtali were Jazil, Guni, Jazer, and Shilem. These were the descendants of Bilhah, whom Laban gave to his daughter Rachel. She gave birth to these sons for Jacob. The total was seven. The total number of Jacob's direct descendants who went with him to Egypt was sixty-six. This didn't include the wives of Jacob's sons. Joseph had two sons who were born in Egypt, the grand total of people in Jacob's household who went to Egypt was seventy. Israel sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to get directions to Goshen. When Israel's family arrived in the region of Goshen, Joseph prepared his chariot and went to meet his father Israel. As soon as he saw his father, he threw his arms around him and cried on his shoulder a long time. Israel said to Joseph, Now that I've seen for myself that you're still alive, I'm ready to die. Then Joseph said to his brothers and his father's family, I'm going to Pharaoh to tell him, My brothers and my father's family who were in Canaan have come to me. The men are shepherds. They take care of livestock. They brought their flocks and herds and everything they own. Now, when Pharaoh calls for you and asks, What kind of work do you do? You must answer, We have taken care of herds all our lives, as our ancestors have done. You must say this so that you may live in the region of Goshen because all shepherds are disgusting to Egyptians. Genesis chapter 47. Joseph went and told Pharaoh, My father and my brothers have arrived from Canaan with their flocks, herds, and everything they have. Now they are in Goshen. Since he had taken five of his brothers with him, he presented them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh asked the brothers, 
What kind of work do you do? They answered Pharaoh, We are shepherds, as were our ancestors. We have come to live in this land for a while. The famine is so severe in Canaan that there is no pasture for our flocks. So please let us live in Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you. All of Egypt is available to you. Have your father and your brothers live in the best part of the land. Let them live in Goshen. If they are qualified, put them in charge of my livestock. Then Joseph brought his father Jacob and had him stand in front of Pharaoh. Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Pharaoh asked him, How old are you? Jacob answered Pharaoh, The length of my stay on earth has been one hundred thirty years. The years of my life have been few and difficult, fewer than my ancestors' years. Then Jacob blessed Pharaoh and left. As Pharaoh had ordered, Joseph had his father and his brothers live in the best part of Egypt, the regions of Ramses. He gave them property there. Joseph also provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's family with food based on the number of children they had. The famine was so severe that there was no food anywhere. Neither Egypt nor Canaan were producing crops because of the famine. Joseph collected all the money that could be found in Egypt and in Canaan as payment for the grain people bought. Then he took it to Pharaoh's palace. When the money in Egypt and Canaan was gone, all the Egyptians came to Joseph. Give us food, they said. Do you want us to die right in front of you? We don't have any more money. Joseph replied, If you don't have any more money, give me your livestock, and I'll give you food in exchange. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and he gave them food in exchange for their horses, sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. During that year, he supplied them with food in exchange for all their livestock. When that year was over, they came to him the next year. Sir, they said to him, you know that our money is gone and you have all our livestock. There's nothing left to bring you except our bodies and our land. Do you want us to die right in front of you? Do you want the land to be ruined? Take us and our land in exchange for food. Then we will be Pharaoh's slaves and our land will be his property. But give us seed so that we won't starve to death and the ground won't become a desert. Joseph bought all the land in Egypt for Pharaoh. Every Egyptian sold his fields because the famine was so severe. The land became Pharaoh's. All over Egypt, Joseph moved the people to the cities. But he didn't buy the priest's land because the priests received an income from Pharaoh and they lived on that income. That's why they didn't sell their land. Joseph said to the people, Now that I have bought you and your land for Pharaoh, here is seed for you. Plant crops in the land. Every time you harvest, give one-fifth of the produce to Pharaoh. Four-fifths will be yours to use as seed for your fields and as food for your households. You have saved our lives, they said. Please, sir, we are willing to be Pharaoh's slaves. Joseph made a law concerning the land in Egypt, which is still in force today. One-fifth of the produce belongs to Pharaoh. Only the land of the priests didn't belong to Pharaoh. So the Israelites settled in Egypt in the region of Goshen. They acquired property there and had many children. Jacob lived in Egypt seventeen years, so he lived a total of one hundred forty-seven years. Israel was about to die. He called for his son Joseph and said to him, I want you to swear that you love me and are faithful to me. Please don't bury me here. I want to rest with my ancestors. Take me out of Egypt and bury me in their tomb. I will do as you say, Joseph answered. Swear to me, he said. So Joseph swore to him. Then Israel bowed down in prayer with his face at the head of his bed. Genesis chapter 48. Later Joseph was told, Your father is ill. 
So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, to see Jacob. When Jacob was told, Your son Joseph is here to see you, Israel gathered his strength and sat up in bed. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in Canaan and blessed me. He said to me, I will make you fertile and increase the number of your descendants so that you will become a community of people. I will give this land to your descendants as a permanent possession. So your two sons who were born in Egypt before I came here are my sons. Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine just as Reuben and Simeon are. Any other children you have after them will be yours. They will inherit the land listed under their brothers' names. As I was coming back from Padan, Rachel died in Canaan when we were still some distance from Ephrath. So I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he asked, Who are they? They are my sons, whom God has given me here in Egypt, Joseph answered his father. Then Israel said, Please bring them to me so that I may bless them. Israel's eyesight was failing because of old age, and he could hardly see. So Joseph brought his sons close to his father, and Israel hugged them and kissed them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see you again, and now God has even let me see your sons. Joseph took them off his father's lap and bowed with his face touching the ground. Then Joseph took both of them, Ephraim on his right, facing Israel's left, and Manasseh on his left, facing Israel's right, and brought them close to him. But Israel crossed his hands and reached out. He put his right hand on Ephraim's head, although Ephraim was the younger son. He put his left hand on Manasseh's head, although Manasseh was older. Then Jacob blessed Joseph. May God, in whose presence my grandfather Abraham and my father Isaac walked, may God, who has been my shepherd all my life to this very day, may the messenger, who has rescued me from all evil, bless these boys. May they be called by my name and by the names of my grandfather Abraham and my father Isaac. May they have many children on the earth. When Joseph saw that his father had put his right hand on Ephraim's head, he didn't like it. So he took his father's hand in order to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's. Then he said to his father, That's not right, father. This is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. His father refused and said, I know, son, I know. Manasseh, too, will become a nation, and he, too, will be important. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be more important than he, and his descendants will become many nations. That day he blessed them. He said, Because of you, Israel will speak this blessing. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. In this way Israel put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Now I am about to die, but God will be with you. He will bring you back to the land of your fathers. I'm giving you one more mountain ridge than your brothers. I took it from the Amorites with my own sword and bow. Genesis chapter 49. Jacob called for his sons and said, Come here and let me tell you what will happen to you in the days to come. Gather around and listen, sons of Jacob. Listen to your father Israel. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my strength the very first son I had, first in majesty and first in power. You will no longer be first, because you were out of control like a flood, and you climbed into your father's bed. Then you dishonored it. He climbed up on my couch. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are weapons of violence. Do not let me attend their secret meetings. Do not let me join their assembly. In their anger they murdered men. At their whim they crippled cattle. May their anger be cursed, because it's so fierce." May their fury be cursed, because it's so cruel. 
I will divide them among the sons of Jacob and scatter them among the tribes of Israel. Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. Judah, you are a lion cub. You have come back from the kill, my son. He lies down and rests like a lion. He is like a lioness who dares to disturb him. A scepter will never depart from Judah, nor a ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes and the people obey him. He will tie his donkey to a grapevine, his coat to the best vine. He will wash his clothes in wine, his garments in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine, his teeth are whiter than milk. Zebulun will live by the coast, he will have ships by the coast, his border will go as far as Sidon. Issachar is a strong donkey lying down between the saddlebags. When he sees that his resting place is good and that the land is pleasant, he will bend his back to the burden and will become a slave laborer. Dan will hand down decisions for his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan will be a snake on a road, a viper on a path that bites a horse's heels so that its rider falls off backwards. I wait with hope for you to rescue me, O Lord. Gad will be attacked by a band of raiders, but he will strike back at their heels. Asher's food will be rich. He will provide delicacies fit for a king. Naphtali is a doe set free that has beautiful fawns. Joseph is a fruitful tree, a fruitful tree by a spring with branches climbing over a wall. Archers provoked him, shot at him, and attacked him. But his bows stayed steady, and his arms remained limber because of the help of the mighty one of Jacob, because of the name of the shepherd, the rock of Israel, because of the God of your father who helps you, because of the Almighty who gives you blessings from the heavens above, blessings from the deep springs below the ground, blessings from breasts and womb. The blessings of your father are greater than the blessings of the oldest mountains and the riches of the ancient hills. May these blessings rest on the head of Joseph, on the crown of the prince among his brothers. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning he devours his prey. In the evening he divides the plunder. These are the twelve tribes of Israel and what their father said to them when he gave each of them his special blessing. Then he gave them these instructions. I am about to join my ancestors in death. Bury me with my ancestors in the cave in the field of Ephron the Hittite. Abraham bought the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre in Canaan, from Ephron the Hittite to use as a tomb. Abraham and his wife Sarah are buried there. Isaac and his wife Rebekah are buried there. I also buried Leah there. The field and the cave in it were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob finished giving these instructions to his sons, he pulled his feet into his bed. He took his last breath and joined his ancestors in death. Genesis chapter 50 Joseph threw himself on his father, cried over him, and kissed him. Then Joseph ordered the doctors in his service to embalm his father. So the doctors embalmed Israel. The embalming was completed in the usual time, forty days. The Egyptians mourned for him seventy days. When the time of mourning for Jacob was over, Joseph spoke to the Pharaoh's palace staff. He said, Please speak directly to Pharaoh. Tell him, My father made me swear an oath. He said, I am about to die. Bury me in the tomb I bought for myself in Canaan. Please let me go there and bury my father. Then I'll come back. Pharaoh replied, Go and bury your father as you have promised him. So Joseph left to bury his father. All Pharaoh's officials, the leaders in his palace staff, and all the leaders of Egypt went with him. 
Joseph's household, his brothers and his father's household, also went with him. Only their children, their flocks, and their cattle were left in Goshen. Chariots and horsemen went with him. It was a very large group. When they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is on the east side of the Jordan River, they began a great and solemn ceremony to mourn Jacob's death. Joseph took seven days to mourn his father's death. When the Canaanites living there saw the funeral ceremonies at the threshing floor of Atad, they said, These funeral ceremonies are taken very seriously by the Egyptians. That's why that place on the east side of the Jordan was named Abel Misraim, Egyptian Funeral Ceremonies. Jacob's sons did for him what he had told them to do. They carried him back to Canaan and buried him in the cave in the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre. Abraham had bought this tomb from Ephron the Hittite. After Joseph had buried his father, he went back to Egypt along with his brothers and everyone who had gone there with him to bury his father. Joseph's brothers realized what their father's death could mean. So they thought, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us? What if he decides to pay us back for all the evil we did to him? They sent a messenger to Joseph to say, Before your father died, he commanded us, This is what you should say to Joseph. I'm begging you to forgive the crime and the sin your brothers committed against you. What they did to you was very evil. So now please forgive our crime, because we are servants of your father's God. Joseph cried when he got their message. Then his brothers also came and immediately bowed down in front of him. We are your slaves, they said. Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. I can't take God's place. Even though you planned evil against me, God planned good to come out of it. This was to keep many people alive, as he is doing now. Don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. In this way, he reassured them, setting their minds at ease. Joseph and his father's family stayed in Egypt, Joseph lived to be 110 years old. He saw his grandchildren, Ephraim's children, even the children of Machir, son of Manasseh, were adopted by Joseph at birth. At last Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die. God will definitely take care of you and take you out of this land to the land he swore with an oath to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Joseph made Israel's sons swear an oath. He said, God will definitely take care of you, so be sure to carry my bones back with you. Joseph died when he was 110 years old. His body was embalmed and placed in a coffin in Egypt. Exodus chapter 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel, that is Jacob, who came with him to Egypt with their families, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. Joseph was already in Egypt. The total number of Jacob's descendants was seventy. Eventually, Joseph, all his brothers, and that entire generation died. But the descendants of Israel had many children. They became so numerous and strong that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, who knew nothing about Joseph, began to rule in Egypt. He said to his people, There are too many Israelites, and they are stronger than we are. We have to outsmart them, or they'll increase in number. Then if war breaks out, they will join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So the Egyptians put slave drivers in charge of them in order to oppress them through forced labor. They built Pithom and Ramses as supply cities for Pharaoh. But the more the Israelites were oppressed, the more they increased in number and spread out. The Egyptians couldn't stand them any longer. So they forced the Israelites to work hard as slaves. They made their lives bitter with backbreaking work in mortar and bricks and every kind of work in the fields. All the jobs the Egyptians gave them were brutally hard. 
Then the king of Egypt told the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Puah, When you help the Hebrew women in childbirth, look at the child when you deliver. If it's a boy, kill it, but if it's a girl, let it live. However, the midwives feared God and didn't obey the king of Egypt's orders. They let the boys live. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives. He asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are so healthy that they have their babies before a midwife arrives. God was good to the midwives. So the people increased in number and became very strong. Because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people to throw into the Nile every Hebrew boy that was born, but to let every girl live. Exodus chapter 2. A man from Levi's family married a Levite woman. The woman became pregnant and had a son. She saw how beautiful he was and hid him for three months. When she couldn't hide him any longer, she took a basket made of papyrus plants and coated it with tar and pitch. She put the baby in it and set it among the papyrus plants near the bank of the Nile River. The baby's sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. While Pharaoh's daughter came to the Nile to take a bath, her servants walked along the bank of the river. She saw the basket among the papyrus plants and sent her slave girl to get it. Pharaoh's daughter opened the basket, looked at the baby, and saw it was a boy. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. She said, This is one of the Hebrew children. Then the baby's sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Should I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? She answered, Yes. So the girl brought the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to the woman, Take this child, nurse him for me, and I will pay you. She took the child and nursed him. When the child was old enough, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. Pharaoh's daughter named him Moses, pulled out, and said, I pulled him out of the water. In the course of time Moses grew up. Then he went to see his own people and watched them suffering under forced labor. He saw a Hebrew, one of his own people, being beaten by an Egyptian. He looked all around, and when he didn't see anyone, he beat the Egyptian to death and hid the body in the sand. When Moses went there the next day, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. He asked the one who started the fight, Why are you beating another Hebrew? The man asked, Who made you our ruler and judge? Are you going to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought that everyone knew what he had done. When Pharaoh heard what Moses had done, he tried to have him killed. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian. One day, while Moses was sitting by a well, seven daughters of the priest of Midian came. They drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's sheep. But some shepherds came and chased them away. So Moses got up, came to their defense, and then watered their sheep. When they came back to their father Reuel, he asked them, Why have you come home so early today? They answered, An Egyptian rescued us from some shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the sheep. Reuel asked his daughters, Where is he? Why did you leave the man there? Go, invite him to supper. Moses decided to stay with the man. So Reuel gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses as his wife. She gave birth to a son. Moses named him Gershom, foreigner, because he said, I was a foreigner living in another country. After a long time passed, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites still groaned because they were slaves. So they cried out, and their cries for help went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the Israelites being oppressed, 
and was concerned about them. Exodus chapter 3. Moses was taking care of the sheep of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. As he led the sheep to the far side of the desert, he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The messenger of the Lord appeared to him there as flames of fire coming out of a bush. Moses looked, and although the bush was on fire, it was not burning up. So he thought, Why isn't this bush burning up? I must go over there and see this strange sight. When the Lord saw that Moses had come over to see it, God called to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. Moses answered, Here I am. God said, Don't come any closer. Take off your sandals, because this place where you are standing is holy ground. I am the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses hid his face, because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt, and I have heard them crying out because of the slave drivers. I know how much they are suffering. I have come to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians, and to bring them from that land to a good land with plenty of room for everyone. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites live. I have heard the cry of the people of Israel. I have seen how the Egyptians are oppressing them. Now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh, so that you can bring my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the people of Israel out of Egypt. God answered, I will be with you, and this will be the proof that I sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, all of you will worship God on this mountain. Then Moses replied to God, Suppose I go to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What should I tell them? God answered Moses, I am who I am. This is what you must say to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Again God said to Moses, This is what you must say to the people of Israel. The Lord God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is my title throughout every generation. Go, assemble the leaders of Israel, say to them, the Lord God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me. He said, I have paid close attention to you, and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. I promise I will take you away from your misery in Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The leaders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the leaders must go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us travel three days into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go, even if he is forced to, so I will use my power to strike Egypt. After all the miracles that I will do there, he will let you go. I will make the Egyptians kind to the people of Israel, so that when you leave, you will not leave empty-handed." Every Hebrew woman should ask her Egyptian neighbor and any woman living in her home for silver and gold jewelry and for clothes. Put them on your sons and daughters. This way you will strip Egypt of its wealth. Exodus chapter 4 They will never believe me or listen to me, Moses protested. They will say, The Lord didn't appear to you. Then the Lord asked him, What's that in your hand? He answered, A shepherd's staff. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. When Moses threw it on the ground, it became a snake, and he ran away from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, 
reach out and grab the snake by its tail. He reached out and grabbed it, and it turned back into a staff as he held it. The Lord explained, This is to convince the people that the Lord God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to you. The Lord said to him, Put your hand inside your shirt. So Moses did this, and when he took his hand out, it had a skin disease. It looked as flaky as snow. Now put your hand back inside your shirt, the Lord said. Moses put it back, and when he took it out this time, it was healthy again like the rest of his body. Then the Lord said, If they won't believe you or pay attention to the first miraculous sign, they may believe the second. But if they won't believe these two miraculous signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile River and pour it on the ground. The water you take from the Nile will turn into blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I'm not a good speaker. I've never been a good speaker, and I'm not now, even though you've spoken to me. I speak slowly, and I become tongue-tied easily. The Lord asked him, Who gave humans their mouths? Who makes humans unable to talk or hear? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? It is I, the Lord. Now go, and I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, Please, Lord, send someone else. Then the Lord became angry with Moses and asked, What about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you, and he will be very glad to see you. You will speak to him and tell him what to say. I will help both of you speak, and I will teach you both what to do. Aaron will speak to the people for you. He will be your spokesman, and you will be like God. Take that shepherd's staff with you and use it to do the miraculous signs. Then Moses went back to his father-in-law Jethro. Moses said to him, Please let me go back to my own people in Egypt. I would like to see if they're still alive. Jethro said to Moses, You may go. Now the Lord had said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, because all the men who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and started out for Egypt. He also brought with him the staff God had told him to take. The Lord said to Moses, When you get back to Egypt, see that you show Pharaoh all the amazing things that I have given you the power to do. But I will make him stubborn so that he will not let the people go. Then tell Pharaoh, This is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. I told you to let my son go so that he may worship me, but you refused to let him go. So now I am going to kill your firstborn son. Along the way they stopped for the night. The Lord met Moses and tried to kill him. Then Zipporah took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin, and touched Moses' feet with it. She said, You are a bridegroom of blood to me. So the Lord let him alone. It was because of the circumcision that she said at that time, You are a bridegroom of blood. Meanwhile, the Lord had told Aaron to meet Moses in the desert. When Aaron met Moses at the mountain of God, he kissed him. Moses told Aaron everything the Lord had sent him to say, and all the miraculous signs the Lord had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went to Egypt and assembled all the leaders of the people of Israel. Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also did the miraculous signs for the people, and the people believed them. When they heard that the Lord was concerned about the people of Israel and that he had seen their misery, they knelt, bowing with their faces touching the ground. Exodus chapter 5 Later, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord God of Israel says, Let my people go into the desert to celebrate a festival in my honor. Pharaoh asked, Who is the Lord? 
Why should I obey him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and I won't let Israel go. They replied, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us travel three days into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. If we don't go, he may kill us with a plague or a war. The king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why are you distracting the people from their work? Get back to work. Then Pharaoh added, Look, how many people there are in the land. Do you want them to quit working? That same day, Pharaoh gave these orders to the slave drivers and foremen. Don't give the people any more straw to make bricks, as you have been doing. Let them gather their own straw, but insist that they make the same number of bricks they were making before. Making fewer bricks will not be acceptable. They're lazy. That's why they're crying, Let us go offer sacrifices to our God. Make the work harder for these people, so that they will be too busy to listen to lies. The slave drivers and foremen went out and said to them, This is what Pharaoh says. I'm no longer giving you straw. Get your own straw wherever you can find it, but your workload will not be reduced one bit. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The slave drivers kept hurrying them. They said, Finish the same amount of work each day, just as when you had straw. Pharaoh's slave drivers had placed Israelite foremen in charge of the people. The slave drivers beat the foreman and said, You didn't finish all the bricks you were ordered to make yesterday or today. Why didn't you make as many as you used to? Then the Israelite foreman complained to Pharaoh. They asked, Why are you treating us this way? We're given no straw, and yet we're told to make bricks. We're being beaten, but your men are at fault. You're lazy, just plain lazy, Pharaoh answered. That's why you keep saying, Let us go offer sacrifices to the Lord. Now get back to work. You won't be given any straw, but you must still make the same number of bricks. The Israelite foreman realized they were in trouble when they were told, Don't make fewer bricks each day than you're supposed to. As they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting for them. So they said, May the Lord see what you have done and judge you. You have made Pharaoh and his officials hate us. You have given them an excuse to kill us. Moses went back to the Lord and asked, Why have you brought this trouble on your people? Why did you send me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak for you, he has treated your people cruelly, and you have done nothing at all to rescue your people. Exodus chapter 6 Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. I will show him my power, and he will let my people go. I will show him my power, and he will throw them out of his country. God spoke to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but I didn't make myself known to them by my name, the Lord. I even made a promise to give them Canaan, the land where they lived as foreigners. Now I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians hold in slavery, and I have remembered my promise. Tell the Israelites, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the oppression of the Egyptians, and I will free you from slavery. I will rescue you with my powerful arm and with mighty acts of judgment. Then I will make you my people, and I will be your God. You will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the forced labor of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land I solemnly swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as your own possession. I am the Lord. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they would not listen to him, because they were so discouraged by their backbreaking work. 
Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Go tell Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to let the Israelites leave his country. But Moses protested to the Lord, The Israelites wouldn't listen to me. Why would Pharaoh listen to me? I'm such a poor speaker. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron about the Israelites and Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. He commanded them to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. These were the heads of the families. The sons of Reuben, Israel's firstborn, were Hanoch, Palu, Hezron, and Kami. These were the families descended from Reuben. The sons of Simeon were Jemuel, Jamin, Ochad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. These were the families descended from Simeon. These are the names of the sons of Levi listed in birth order, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. Levi lived 137 years. The sons of Gershon listed by their families were Libni and Shimei. The sons of Kohath were Amram, Ishar, Hebron, and Uziel. Kohath lived 133 years. The sons of Merari were Mali and Mushi. These were the families descended from Levi listed in birth order. Amram married his father's sister Jochebed. She gave birth to Aaron and Moses. Amram lived 137 years. The sons of Ishar were Korah, Nepheg, and Zikri. The sons of Uziel were Mishael, Elzaphan, and Sithri. Aaron married Elisheba, daughter of Aminadab and sister of Nashon. She gave birth to Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. The sons of Korah were Asir, Elkanah, and Abiasaph. These were the families descended from Korah. Eleazar, son of Aaron, married one of the daughters of Putiel. She gave birth to Phinehas. These were the heads of Levite households listed by their families. This was the same Aaron and Moses, to whom the Lord said, Bring the Israelites out of Egypt in organized family groups. They, the same Moses and Aaron, told Pharaoh the king of Egypt to let the Israelites leave Egypt. At that time the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt. He said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh the king of Egypt everything I tell you. But Moses said to the Lord, Why would Pharaoh listen to me? Exodus chapter 7 The Lord answered Moses, I have made you a god to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron is your prophet. Tell your brother Aaron everything I command you, and he must tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites leave the country. But I will make Pharaoh stubborn. Even though I will do many miraculous signs and amazing things in Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will use my power to punish Egypt severely, and I will bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt in organized family groups. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I use my power against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of there. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord had commanded them. Moses was eighty years old, and Aaron was eighty-three when they talked to Pharaoh. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, Give me a sign to prove that God has sent you, tell Aaron, Take your shepherd's staff and throw it down in front of Pharaoh, and it will become a large snake. Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did as the Lord had commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a large snake. Then Pharaoh sent for his wise men and sorcerers. These Egyptian magicians did the same thing using their magic spells. Each of them threw his staff down, and they all became large snakes. But Aaron's staff swallowed theirs. Yet Pharaoh continued to be stubborn and would not listen to them, as the Lord had predicted. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh is being stubborn. He refuses to let my people go. In the morning meet Pharaoh when he's on his way to the Nile. Wait for him on the bank of the river. Take along the staff that turned into a snake. Say to him, 
The Lord God of the Hebrews sent me to tell you, Let my people go to worship me in the desert. So far you have not listened. Here is what the Lord says. This is the way you will recognize that I am the Lord. With this staff in my hand, I am going to strike the Nile, and the water will turn into blood. The fish in the Nile will die, and the river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink any water from the Nile. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, its rivers, canals, ponds, and all its reservoirs, so that they turn into blood. There will be blood everywhere in Egypt, even in the wooden and stone containers. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord had commanded. In front of Pharaoh and his officials, Aaron raised his staff and struck the Nile. All the water in the river turned into blood. The fish in the Nile died, and it smelled so bad that the Egyptians couldn't drink any water from the river. There was blood everywhere in Egypt. But the Egyptian magicians did the same thing using their magic spells. So Pharaoh continued to be stubborn and would not listen to Moses and Aaron as the Lord had predicted. Pharaoh turned and went back to his palace. He dismissed the entire matter from his mind. All the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink because they couldn't drink any of the water from the river. Seven days passed after the Lord struck the Nile. Exodus chapter 8 Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and tell him, This is what the Lord says, Let my people go to worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will bring a plague of frogs on your whole country. The Nile River will swarm with frogs. They will come into your palace, into your bedroom, on your bed, into the houses of your officials, on your people, into your ovens, and into your mixing bowls. The frogs will jump on you, on your people, and on all your officials. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, Hold your staff over the rivers, canals, and ponds. This will bring frogs onto the land. So Aaron held his staff over the waters of Egypt. The frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians did the same thing using their magic spells and brought frogs onto the land. Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron and said, Pray that the Lord will take the frogs away from me and my people. Then I will let your people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Moses answered Pharaoh, you may have the honor of choosing when I should pray for you, your officials, and your people. Then the frogs will leave you and your homes. The only ones left will be those in the Nile. Pray for me tomorrow, Pharaoh said. Moses replied, It will be as you say, so that you will know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs will leave you, your homes, your officials, and your people. The only frogs left will be those in the Nile. After Moses and Aaron left Pharaoh, Moses prayed to the Lord about the frogs he had brought on Pharaoh. The Lord did what Moses asked. The frogs died in the houses, in the yards, and in the fields. They were piled into countless heaps, and the land began to stink because of them. When Pharaoh saw that the plague was over, he became stubborn and would not listen to Moses and Aaron, as the Lord had predicted. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, Hold out your staff, and strike the dust on the ground. All over Egypt the dust will turn into gnats. When Moses told him, Aaron held out the staff in his hand and struck the dust on the ground. It turned into gnats that bit people and animals. All the dust on the ground everywhere in Egypt turned into gnats. The magicians also tried to produce gnats using their magic spells, but they couldn't do it. The gnats bit people and animals. So the magicians said to Pharaoh, This is the hand of God. Yet Pharaoh continued to be stubborn and would not listen to Moses and Aaron, as the Lord had predicted. Then the Lord said to Moses, 
Early in the morning, stand in Pharaoh's way when he's going to the Nile. Say to him, This is what the Lord says, Let my people go to worship me. If you will not let my people go, I will send swarms of flies on you, your officials, your people, and your houses. The homes of the Egyptians will be filled with flies, and even the ground outside will be covered with them. But on that day, I will treat the region of Goshen differently. That is where my people live. There won't be any flies there. This way you will know that I, the Lord, am here in this land. I will distinguish between my people and yours. This miraculous sign will happen tomorrow. The Lord did what he said. Dense swarms of flies came into Pharaoh's palace and into the houses of his officials. All over Egypt the flies were ruining everything. Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to your God here in this country. Moses replied, It wouldn't be right to do that. The sacrifices we offer to the Lord our God are disgusting to Egyptians. If they see us offer sacrifices that they consider disgusting, won't they stone us to death? We need to travel three days into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, as he told us to do. Pharaoh said, I will let you go, but don't go very far. You may offer sacrifices to the Lord your God in the desert and pray for me. Moses answered, As soon as I leave you, I will pray to the Lord. Tomorrow the swarms of flies will go away from you, your officials, and your people, but you must stop tricking us by not letting the people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Moses left Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. The Lord did what Moses asked. The swarms of flies left Pharaoh, his officials, and his people. Not one fly was left. Yet this time, too, Pharaoh was stubborn and did not let the people go. Exodus chapter 9 Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and tell him, This is what the Lord God of the Hebrews says, Let my people go to worship me. If you refuse to let them go and continue to hold them in slavery, the Lord will bring a terrible plague on your livestock, including your horses, donkeys, camels, cattle, sheep, and goats. But the Lord will distinguish between Israel's livestock and the livestock of the Egyptians. No animals belonging to the Israelites will die. The Lord said a definite time. He said, Tomorrow I will do this. The next day the Lord did as he said. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but none of the Israelites' animals died. Pharaoh found out that not one of the Israelites' animals had died, yet Pharaoh continued to be stubborn and would not let the people go. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take a handful of ashes from a kiln, and have Moses throw them up in the air as Pharaoh watches. They will become a fine dust throughout Egypt. The dust will cause boils to break into open sores on people and animals throughout Egypt. They took ashes from a kiln and stood in front of Pharaoh. Moses threw the ashes up in the air, and they caused boils to break into open sores on people and animals. The magicians couldn't compete with Moses, because they had boils like all the other Egyptians. But the Lord made Pharaoh stubborn, so he wouldn't listen to Moses and Aaron, as the Lord had predicted to Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Early in the morning, go to Pharaoh and say to him, This is what the Lord God of the Hebrews says, Let my people go to worship me. Now I will send plagues that will affect you personally, as well as your officials and people. This is how you will know that there is no one like me anywhere on earth. By now I could have used my power to kill you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. But I have spared you for this reason. I want to show you my power and make my name famous throughout the earth. 
you are still blocking my people from leaving. So, at this time tomorrow, I will send the worst hailstorm that has ever happened in Egypt since the beginning of its history. Now, send servants to bring your livestock and everything else you have indoors. All people and animals still outside and not brought in will die when the hail falls on them. Those members of Pharaoh's court who listened to the Lord's warning brought their servants and cattle indoors quickly. But those who didn't take the Lord's warning seriously left their servants and animals out in the open. Then the Lord said to Moses, Lift your hand toward the sky, and hail will fall on people, animals, and every plant in the fields of Egypt. When Moses lifted his staff toward the sky, the Lord sent thunder and hail, and lightning struck the earth. So the Lord made it hail on Egypt. It hailed, and lightning flashed while it hailed. This was the worst storm in all the land of Egypt since it had become a nation. All over Egypt the hail knocked down everything that was out in the open. It struck down people, animals, and every plant in the fields, and destroyed every tree in the fields. The only place it didn't hail was the region of Goshen, where the Israelites lived. Then Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron. This time I have sinned, he told them. The Lord is right, and my people and I are wrong. Pray to the Lord. We've had enough of God's thunder and hail. I'll let you go. You don't have to stay here any longer. Moses replied, As soon as I'm out of the city, I'll spread out my hands to the Lord in prayer. The thunder will stop, and there will be no more hail. This is how you will know that the earth belongs to the Lord. But I know that you and your officials still don't fear the Lord God. The flax and the barley were ruined, because the barley had formed heads, and the flax was in bloom. Neither the wheat nor the wild grain was damaged, because they ripen later. As soon as he left Pharaoh and went out of the city, Moses spread out his hands to the Lord in prayer. The thunder and the hail stopped, and no more rain came pouring down on the ground. When Pharaoh saw that the rain, the hail, and the thunder had stopped, he sinned again. He and his officials continued to be stubborn. Pharaoh was stubborn and would not let the Israelites go, as the Lord had predicted through Moses. Exodus chapter 10. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh. I have made him and his officials stubborn, so that I can do these miraculous signs among them. You will be able to tell your children and grandchildren exactly how I treated the Egyptians, and what miraculous signs I did among them. This is how you will all know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to him, This is what the Lord God of the Hebrews says, How long will you refuse to humble yourself in my presence? Let my people go to worship me. If you refuse to let my people go, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your country. They will cover the land so that the ground can't be seen. They will eat everything left by the hail, including every tree still standing in the fields. They will fill your houses and the houses of all your officials and those of all the Egyptians. Your parents and ancestors never saw anything like this from the time they first came here until now. Moses turned and left Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh's officials asked him, How long will this man hold us in his grip? Let the Israelite men go to worship the Lord their God. When will you realize that Egypt is ruined? So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. Go, worship the Lord your God, he said to them. But exactly who will be going? Moses answered, Everyone. We'll be taking our young and old, our sons and daughters, our flocks and herds with us. For us it's a pilgrimage festival in the Lord's honor. Pharaoh said to them, 
The Lord would have to be with you if I would ever let you take your women and children along. I know you're up to no good. No, only the men may go to worship the Lord, since that's what you've been asking for. Then Moses and Aaron were thrown out of Pharaoh's palace. The Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over Egypt to bring locusts. They will invade Egypt and eat every plant in the land, everything left by the hail. Moses held his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord made a wind from the east blow over the land all that day and all that night. By morning the east wind had brought the locusts. They invaded all of Egypt and landed all over the country in great swarms. Never before had there been so many locusts like this, nor would there ever be that many again. They covered all the ground until it was black with them. They ate all the plants and all the fruit on the trees that the hail had left. Nothing green was left on any tree or plant anywhere in Egypt. Then Pharaoh quickly called for Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Please forgive my sin one more time. Pray to the Lord your God to take this deadly plague away from me. Moses left Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. Then the Lord changed the wind to a very strong west wind. He picked up the locusts and blew them into the Red Sea. Not one locust was left anywhere in Egypt. But the Lord made Pharaoh stubborn, so he did not let the Israelites go. Then the Lord said to Moses, Lift your hand toward the sky, and a darkness so thick that it can be felt will come over Egypt. Moses lifted his hand toward the sky, and throughout Egypt there was total darkness for three days. People couldn't see each other, and no one went anywhere for three days. But all the Israelites had light where they were living. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and said, Go, worship the Lord, even your women and children may go with you, but your flocks and herds must stay behind. But Moses said, You must allow us to take our animals for the sacrifices and burnt offerings we have to make to the Lord our God. All our livestock must go with us. Not one animal must be left behind. We'll have to use some of them for worshiping the Lord our God, and we won't know what we'll need until we get there. But the Lord made Pharaoh stubborn, so he refused to let them go. Pharaoh said to Moses, Get out of my sight. Don't ever let me see your face again. The day I do, you will die. You're right, Moses answered. You'll never see my face again. Exodus chapter 11 Then the Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and Egypt. After that he will let you go. When he does, he will be certain to force all of you out of here. Now announce to the people of Israel that each man and woman must ask the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry. The Lord made the Egyptians kind to the people, and Moses was highly respected by Pharaoh's officials and all the Egyptians. Moses said, This is what the Lord says. About midnight I will go out among the Egyptians. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who rules the land, to the firstborn children of female slaves who use their handmills, including every firstborn domestic animal. There will be loud crying throughout Egypt, such as there has never been or ever will be again. But where the Israelites are, not even a dog will be startled by any person or animal. This is how you will see that the Lord shows the distinction between Egypt and Israel. Then all these officials of yours will come, bow down to me, and say, You and all the people who follow you, get out. After that I will leave. Burning with anger, Moses left Pharaoh. The Lord had said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you. This is why I will do more amazing things in Egypt. Moses and Aaron showed Pharaoh all these amazing things, yet the Lord made Pharaoh stubborn 
so he wouldn't let the Israelites leave his country. Exodus chapter 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month will be the very first month of the year for you. Tell the whole community of Israel, On the tenth day of this month each man must take a lamb or a young goat for his family, one animal per household. A household may be too small to eat a whole animal. That household and the one next door can share one animal. Choose your animal based on the number of people and what each person can eat. Your animal must be a one-year-old male that has no defects. You may choose a lamb or a young goat. Take care of it until the fourteenth day of this month. Then at dusk, all the assembled people from the community of Israel must slaughter their animals. They must take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they will eat the animals. The meat must be eaten that same night. It must be roasted over a fire and eaten with bitter herbs and unleavened bread. Don't eat any of it raw or boiled, but roast the whole animal over a fire. Don't leave any of it until morning. Anything left over in the morning must be burned up. This is how you should be dressed when you eat it. With your belt on, your sandals on your feet, and your shepherd's staff in your hand. You must eat it in a hurry. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night I will go throughout Egypt and kill every firstborn male, both human and animal. I will severely punish all the gods of Egypt, because I am the Lord. But the blood on your houses will be a sign for your protection. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. Nothing will touch or destroy you when I strike Egypt. This day will be one for you to remember. This is a permanent law for generations to come. You will celebrate this day as a pilgrimage festival in the Lord's honor. For seven days you must eat unleavened bread. On the very first day you must remove any yeast that you have in your houses. Whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through the seventh day must be excluded from Israel. You must have a holy assembly on the first day and another one on the seventh. You must not work on these days except to prepare your own meals. That's all you may do. You must celebrate the festival of unleavened bread, because it was on this very day that I brought you out of Egypt in organized family groups. This is a permanent law for future generations. You must celebrate this day. From the evening of the fourteenth day of the first month until the evening of the twenty-first day, you must eat unleavened bread. There should be no yeast in your houses for seven days. Whoever eats anything with yeast in it must be excluded from the community of Israel, whether he is an Israelite or not. Eat nothing made with yeast. Wherever you live, you must eat only unleavened bread. Then Moses called for all the leaders of Israel. He said to them, Pick out a lamb or a young goat from your families and kill the Passover animal. Take the branch of a hyssop plant, dip it in the blood which is in a bowl and put some of the blood on the top and sides of the door frames of your houses. No one may leave the house until morning. The Lord will go throughout Egypt to kill the Egyptians. When he sees the blood on the top and sides of the door frame, he will pass over that doorway, and he will not let the destroyer come into your home to kill you. You must follow these instructions. They are a permanent law for you and your children. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. When your children ask you what this ceremony means to you, you must answer, It's the Passover sacrifice in the Lord's honor. The Lord passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he killed the Egyptians. Then the people knelt, bowing with their faces touching the ground. The Israelites did as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. 
At midnight the Lord killed every firstborn male in Egypt, from the firstborn son of Pharaoh who ruled the land, to the firstborn son of the prisoner in jail, and also every firstborn animal. Pharaoh, all his officials, and all the other Egyptians got up during the night. There was loud crying throughout Egypt, because in every house someone had died. Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron during the night. He said, You and the Israelites must leave my people at once. Go, worship the Lord as you asked. Take your flocks and herds, too, as you asked. Just go, and bless me, too. The Egyptians begged the people to leave the country quickly. They said, Soon we'll all be dead. So the people picked up their bread dough before it had risen, and carried it on their shoulders in bowls wrapped up in their clothes. The Israelites did what Moses had told them, and asked the Egyptians for gold and silver jewelry and for clothes. The Lord made the Egyptians generous to the people, and they gave them what they asked for. So the Israelites stripped Egypt of its wealth. The Israelites left Ramses to go to Succoth. There were about six hundred thousand men on foot, plus all the women and children. Many other people also went with them, along with large numbers of sheep, goats, and cattle. With the dough they had brought from Egypt, they baked round flat bread. The dough hadn't risen because they'd been thrown out of Egypt and had no time to prepare food for the trip. The Israelites had been living in Egypt for 430 years. After exactly 430 years, all the Lord's people left Egypt in organized family groups. That night, the Lord kept watch to take them out of Egypt. All Israelites in future generations must keep watch on this night, since it is dedicated to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, These are the rules for the Passover. No foreigner may eat the Passover meal. Any male slave you have bought may eat it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner visiting you may eat it. No hired worker may eat it. The meal must be eaten inside one house. Never take any of the meat outside the house. Never break any of the bones. The whole community of Israel must celebrate the Passover. Foreigners may want to celebrate the Lord's Passover. First, every male in the household must be circumcised. Then they may celebrate the Passover like native-born Israelites. But no uncircumcised males may ever eat the Passover meal. The same instructions apply to native-born Israelites as well as foreigners. All the Israelites did as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. That very day the Lord brought all the Israelites out of Egypt in organized family groups. Exodus chapter 13. The Lord spoke to Moses, Set apart every firstborn male for me. Every firstborn male offspring among the Israelites is mine, whether human or animal. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day, the day when you left Egypt, the land of slavery. The Lord used his mighty hand to bring you out of there. Don't eat anything made with yeast. Today, in the month of Abib, you are leaving Egypt. The Lord swore to your ancestors that he would give you the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Hivites, and Jebusites. When he brings you into that land flowing with milk and honey, you must observe this ceremony in this month. For seven days you must eat unleavened bread. The seventh day will be a pilgrimage festival in the Lord's honor. Only unleavened bread should be eaten during these seven days. No sourdough or yeast should be seen anywhere in your territory. On that day, tell your children... We do this because of what the Lord did for us when we left Egypt. This festival will be like a mark on your hand, or a reminder on your forehead that the teachings of the Lord are always to be a part of your conversation, because the Lord used His mighty hand to bring you out of Egypt. You must follow these rules every year at this time. 
When the Lord brings you to the land of the Canaanites and gives it to you, as he swore to you and your ancestors, sacrifice every firstborn male offspring to the Lord. The firstborn male offspring of each of your animals belongs to the Lord. It will cost you a sheep or a goat to buy any firstborn donkey back from the Lord. If you don't buy it back, then you must break the donkey's neck. You must also buy every firstborn son back from the Lord. In the future, when your children ask you what this means, tell them, The Lord used his mighty hand to bring us out of slavery in Egypt. When Pharaoh was too stubborn to let us go, the Lord killed every firstborn male in Egypt, human and animal. This is why we sacrifice every firstborn male to the Lord, and buy every firstborn son back from the Lord. So this festival will be like a mark on your hand, and like a band on your forehead, because the Lord used his mighty hand to bring us out of Egypt. When Pharaoh let the people go, God didn't lead them on the road through Philistine territory, although that was the shortest route. God said, If they see that they have to fight a war, they may change their minds and go back to Egypt. So God led the people around the other way, on the road through the desert toward the Red Sea. The Israelites were ready for battle when they left Egypt. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, because Joseph had made the Israelites solemnly swear to do this. Joseph had said, God will definitely come to help you. When he does, take my bones with you. They moved from Succoth and camped at Etham, on the edge of the desert. By day the Lord went ahead of them in a column of smoke to lead them on their way. By night he went ahead of them in a column of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or by night. The column of smoke was always in front of the people during the day. The column of fire was always there at night. Exodus chapter 14 Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to go back and set up their camp facing Pihahiroth, between Migdol and the sea. Set up your camp facing north, by the sea. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are just wandering around. The desert is blocking their escape. I will make Pharaoh so stubborn that he will pursue them. Then, because of what I do to Pharaoh and his entire army, I will receive honor, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So that is what the Israelites did. When Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, was told that the people had fled, he and his officials changed their minds about them. They said, What have we done? We've lost our slaves because we've let Israel go. So Pharaoh prepared his chariot and took his army with him. He took six hundred of his best chariots, as well as all the other chariots in Egypt, placing an officer in each of them. The Lord made Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so stubborn that he pursued the Israelites, who were boldly leaving Egypt. The Egyptians pursued the Israelites. Pharaoh's army, including all his horse-drawn chariots and cavalry, caught up with them as they were setting up their camp by the sea at Pi-Hahiroth, facing north. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and saw that the Egyptians were coming after them. Terrified, the Israelites cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Did you bring us out into the desert to die because there were no graves in Egypt? Look what you've done by bringing us out of Egypt. Didn't we tell you, in Egypt, leave us alone, let us go on serving the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, Don't be afraid. Stand still, and see what the Lord will do to save you today. You will never see these Egyptians again. The Lord is fighting for you, so be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to start moving. Raise your staff. Stretch out your hand over the sea and divide the water. Then the Israelites will go through the sea on dry ground. 
I am making the Egyptians so stubborn that they will follow the Israelites. I will receive honor because of what I will do to Pharaoh, his entire army, his chariots, and cavalry. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I am honored for what I did to Pharaoh, his chariots, and his cavalry. The messenger of God, who had been in front of the Israelites, moved behind them. So the column of smoke moved from in front of the Israelites and stood behind them, between the Egyptian camp and the Israelite camp. The column of smoke was there when darkness came, and it lit up the night. Neither side came near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. All that night the Lord pushed back the sea with a strong east wind and turned the sea into dry ground. The water divided, and the Israelites went through the middle of the sea on dry ground. The water stood like a wall on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and cavalry followed them into the sea. Just before dawn, the Lord looked down from the column of fire and smoke and threw the Egyptian camp into a panic. He made the wheels of their chariots come off so that they could hardly move. Then the Egyptians shouted, Let's get out of here. The Lord is fighting for Israel. He's against us. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, so that the water will flow back over the Egyptians, their chariots and their cavalry. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the water returned to its usual place. The Egyptians tried to escape, but the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered Pharaoh's entire army, as well as the chariots and the cavalry that had followed Israel into the sea. Not one of them survived. Meanwhile the Israelites had gone through the sea on dry ground, while the water stood like a wall on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the seashore. When the Israelites saw the great power the Lord had used against the Egyptians, they feared the Lord and believed in him and in his servant Moses. Exodus chapter 15 Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord. He has won a glorious victory. He has thrown horses and their riders into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He is my Savior. This is my God, and I will praise Him. My Father's God, and I will honor Him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is His name. He has thrown Pharaoh's chariots and army into the sea. Pharaoh's best officers were drowned in the Red Sea. The deep water covered them. They sank to the bottom like a rock. Your right hand, O Lord, wins glory because it is strong. Your right hand, O Lord, smashes your enemies. With your unlimited majesty you destroyed those who attacked you. You sent out your burning anger. It burned them up like straw. With a blast from your nostrils the water piled up. The waves stood up like a dam. The deep water thickened in the middle of the sea. The enemy said, I'll pursue them. I'll catch up with them. I'll divide the loot. I'll take all I want. I'll use my sword. I'll take all they have. Your breath blew the sea over them. They sank like lead in the raging water. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you? You are glorious because of your holiness and awe-inspiring because of your splendor. You perform miracles. You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. Lovingly you will lead the people you have saved. Powerfully you will guide them to your holy dwelling. People will hear of it and tremble. The people of Philistia will be in anguish. The tribal leaders of Edom will be terrified. The powerful men of Moab will tremble. The people of Canaan will be deathly afraid. 
terror and dread will fall on them. Because of the power of your arm, they will be petrified until your people pass by, O Lord, until the people you purchased pass by. You will bring them and plant them on your own mountain, the place where you live, O Lord, the holy place that you built with your own hands, O Lord. The Lord will rule as king forever and ever. When Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and cavalry went into the sea, the Lord made the water of the sea flow back over them. However, the Israelites had gone through the sea on dry ground. Then the prophet Miriam, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand. All the women dancing with tambourines followed her. Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord. He has won a glorious victory. He has thrown horses and their riders into the sea. Moses led Israel away from the Red Sea into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they couldn't drink the water because it tasted bitter. That's why the place was called Marah, bitter place. The people complained about Moses by asking, What are we supposed to drink? Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord set down laws and rules for them to live by, and there he tested them. He said, If you will listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what he considers right, if you pay attention to his commands and obey all his laws, I will never make you suffer any of the diseases I made the Egyptians suffer, because I am the Lord who heals you. Next they went to Elim, where there were twelve springs and seventy palm trees. They camped there by the water. Exodus chapter 16. The whole community of Israelites moved from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai. This was on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had left Egypt. In the desert, the whole community complained about Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only the Lord had let us die in Egypt. There we sat by our pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. You brought us out into the desert to let us all starve to death. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to send you food from heaven like rain. Each day the people should go out and gather only what they need for that day. In this way I will test them to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. But on the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring home, it should be twice as much as they gather on other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. In the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard you complaining about him. Why are you complaining about us? Moses also said, The Lord will give you meat to eat in the evening, and all the food you want in the morning. The Lord has heard you complaining about him. Who are we? You are not complaining about us, but about the Lord. Moses said to Aaron, Tell the whole community of Israelites, Come into the Lord's presence. He has heard you complaining. While Aaron was speaking to the whole community of Israelites, they looked toward the desert. Suddenly they saw the glory of the Lord in the column of smoke. The Lord said to Moses, I've heard the Israelites complaining. Tell them, At dusk you will eat meat, and in the morning you will eat all the food you want. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quails came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, the ground was covered with a thin layer of flakes, like frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they asked each other, What is this? Because they didn't know what it was. Moses said to them, It's the food the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. 
Each of you should gather as much as you can eat. Take two quarts for each person in your tent. So that is what the Israelites did. Some gathered more, some less. They measured it into two-quart containers. Those who had gathered more didn't have too much. Those who had gathered less didn't have too little. They gathered as much as they could eat. Then Moses said to them, No one may keep any of it until morning. But some of them didn't listen to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, and it was full of worms and smelled bad. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning they gathered as much food as they could eat. When the sun was hot, it melted away. But on the sixth day they gathered twice as much food, four quarts per person. All the leaders of the community came to Moses and told him about it. He said to them, This is what the Lord said. Tomorrow is a day of worship, a holy day of worship dedicated to the Lord. Bake what you want to bake, and boil what you want to boil. Save all that's left over, and keep it until tomorrow morning. So they saved it until the next morning as Moses had commanded, but it didn't smell or have worms in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a day of worship dedicated to the Lord. You won't find anything on the ground today. You can gather food on six days, but on the seventh day, the day of worship, you won't find any. On the seventh day, some people went out to gather food, but they didn't find any. The Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to do what I have commanded and instructed you to do? Remember, the Lord has given you this day of worship. That's why he gives you enough food on the sixth day for two days. On the seventh day you may not leave. Everyone stay where you are. So the people never worked on the seventh day of the week. The Israelites called the food manna. It was like coriander seeds. It was white and tasted like wafers made with honey. Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Take two quarts of manna to be kept for your descendants. This way they will see the food that I gave you to eat in the desert when I brought you out of Egypt. Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar, put two quarts of manna in it, and put it in the Lord's presence to be kept for your descendants. Aaron put the jar of manna in front of the words of God's promise to be kept there, as the Lord commanded Moses. The Israelites ate manna for forty years, until they came to a place to settle. They ate manna until they came to the border of Canaan. Now the standard dry measure at that time held twenty quarts. Exodus chapter 17. The whole community of Israelites left the desert of Sin and traveled from place to place as the Lord commanded them. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they complained to Moses by saying, Give us water to drink. Moses said to them, Why are you complaining to me? Why are you testing the Lord? But the people were thirsty for water there. They complained to Moses and asked, Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Was it to make us, our children, and our livestock die of thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, What should I do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Bring some of the leaders of Israel with you, and go to where the people can see you. Take the staff you used to strike the Nile River. I'll be standing in front of you there by a rock at Mount Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. Moses did this while the leaders of Israel watched him. He named that place Massa, testing, and Meribah, complaining, because the Israelites complained and because they tested the Lord, asking, Is the Lord with us or not? The Amalekites fought Israel at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men, then fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill. I will hold in my hand the staff God told me to take along. 
Joshua did as Moses told him and fought the Amalekites, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, Israel would win, but as soon as he put his hands down, the Amalekites would start to win. Eventually, Moses' hands felt heavy, so Aaron and Hur took a rock, put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron held up one hand, and Hur held up the other. His hands remained steady until sunset. So Joshua defeated the Amalekite army in battle. The Lord said to Moses, Write this reminder on a scroll and make sure that Joshua hears it too. I will completely erase any memory of the Amalekites from the earth. Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. He said, Because a hand was lifted against the Lord's throne, he will be at war against the Amalekites from one generation to the next. Exodus chapter 18 Moses' father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, heard about everything God had done for Moses and his people Israel, and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. When Moses had sent away his wife Zipporah, his father-in-law Jethro had taken her in, along with her two sons. The one son was named Gershom, foreigner, because Moses said, I was a foreigner living in another country. The name of the other was Eliezer, my God is a helper, because he said, My father's God was my helper. He saved me from Pharaoh's death sentence. Moses' father-in-law Jethro brought Moses' sons and wife to Moses in the desert where he was camped near the mountain of God. Jethro had sent word to Moses, I'm coming to visit you, and I'm bringing your wife and her two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law. Moses bowed with his face touching the ground and kissed Jethro. After they asked each other how they were, they went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel, all the hardships they had had on the way, and how the Lord had saved them. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the Egyptians. He said, Thank the Lord. He rescued you from the Egyptians and their Pharaoh, and rescued these people from the control of the Egyptians who treated Israel with contempt. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God. Aaron and all the leaders of Israel came to eat the meat with Moses' father-in-law in God's presence. The next day, Moses was settling disagreements among the people. The people stood around Moses from morning until evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw everything Moses was doing for the people, he asked, Why are you doing this for the people? Why do you sit here alone, while all the people stand around you from morning until evening? Moses answered his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to find out God's will. Whenever they have a disagreement and bring it to me, I decide which person is right, and I tell them God's laws and instructions. Moses' father-in-law replied, What you're doing is not good. You and your people will wear yourselves out. This is too much work for you. You can't do it alone. Now listen to me, and I'll give you some advice. May God be with you. You must be the people's representative to God and bring their disagreements to Him. You must instruct them in the laws and the teachings, show them how to live, and tell them what to do. But choose capable men from all the people, men who fear God, men you can trust, men who hate corruption. Put them in charge of groups of one thousand, or one hundred, or fifty, or ten people. Let them be the ones who usually settle disagreements among the people. They should bring all important cases to you, but they should settle all minor cases themselves. Make it easier for yourself by letting them help you. If God commands you, and you do this, 
you will be able to continue your work, and all these people will have their disagreements settled so that they can go home. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. Moses chose capable men from all the Israelites and put them in charge of groups of one thousand or one hundred or fifty or ten people. These men were the ones who usually settled disagreements among the people. They would bring difficult cases to Moses, but they settled all minor ones themselves. Moses sent his father-in-law on his way. So Jethro went back to his own country. Exodus chapter 19. Two months after the Israelites left Egypt, they came to the desert of Sinai. Israel had moved from Rephidim and had come into the desert of Sinai. They had set up camp there in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up the mountain to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain. This is what you must say to the descendants of Jacob. Tell the Israelites, You have seen for yourselves what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to my mountain. If you carefully obey me and are faithful to the terms of my promise, then out of all the nations you will be my own special possession, even though the whole world is mine. You will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. These are the words you must speak to the Israelites. So Moses went down and called for the leaders of the people. He repeated to them all the words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together, We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I am coming to you in a storm cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always believe you. Moses told the Lord what the people had said. So the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and tell them they have two days to get ready. They must set themselves apart as holy. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the day after tomorrow. On that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai as all the people watch. Mark off a boundary around the mountain for the people and tell them not to go up the mountain or even touch it. Those who touch the mountain must be put to death. No one should touch them. They must be stoned or shot with arrows. No matter whether it's an animal or a person, it must not live. The people may go up the mountain only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast. After Moses went down the mountain to the people, he had them get ready, and they washed their clothes. Then Moses said to the people, Be ready two days from now. Don't disqualify yourselves by having sexual intercourse. On the morning of the second day, there was thunder and lightning with a heavy cloud over the mountain, and a very loud blast from a ram's horn was heard. All the people in the camp shook with fear. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. All of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke, because the Lord had come down on it in fire. Smoke rose from the mountain like the smoke from a kiln, and the whole mountain shook violently. As the sound of the horn grew louder and louder, Moses was speaking, and the voice of God answered him. The Lord came down on top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up. The Lord said to him, Go down and warn the people not to force their way through the boundary to see the Lord, or many of them will die. Even the priests who are allowed to come near the Lord must set themselves apart as holy, or the Lord will violently kill them. Moses said to the Lord, The people can't come up Mount Sinai because you warned us yourself to mark off a boundary around the mountain and consider it holy. The Lord said to him, Go down and bring Aaron back with you. But the priest and the people must not force their way through the boundary to come up to the Lord, or he will violently kill them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. 
Exodus chapter 20. Then God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery in Egypt. Never have any other God. Never make your own carved idols or statues that represent any creature in the sky, on the earth, or in the water. Never worship them or serve them, because I, the Lord your God, am a God who does not tolerate rivals. I punish children for their parents' sins to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But I show mercy to thousands of generations of those who love me and obey my commandments. Never use the name of the Lord your God carelessly. The Lord will make sure that anyone who carelessly uses his name will be punished. Remember the day of worship by observing it as a holy day. You have six days to do all your work. The seventh day is the day of worship dedicated to the Lord your God. You, your sons, your daughters, your male and female slaves, your cattle, and the foreigners living in your city must never do any work on that day. In six days the Lord made heaven, earth, and the sea, along with everything in them. He didn't work on the seventh day. That's why the Lord blessed the day he stopped his work and set this day apart as holy. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live for a long time in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Never murder, never commit adultery, never steal, never lie when you testify about your neighbor, never desire to take your neighbor's household away from him, never desire to take your neighbor's wife, his male or female slave, his ox, his donkey, or anything else that belongs to him. All the people heard the thunder and saw the lightning. They heard the blast of the ram's horn and saw the mountain covered with smoke. So they shook with fear and stood at a distance. Then they said to Moses, You speak to us and we'll listen, but don't let God speak to us or we'll die. Moses answered the people, Don't be afraid. God has come only to test you so that you will be in awe of him and won't sin. The people kept their distance, while Moses went closer to the dark cloud where God was. The Lord said to Moses, This is what you must say to the Israelites. You've seen for yourselves that I have spoken to you from heaven. Never make any gods of silver or gold for yourselves. Never worship them. You must build an altar for me made out of dirt. Sacrifice your burnt offerings and your fellowship offerings, your sheep, goats, and cattle on it. Wherever I choose to have my name remembered, I will come to you and bless you. If you build an altar for me made out of stones, never make it with cut stone blocks. If you use a chisel on it, you will make it unacceptable to me. Never use stairs to go up to my altar, otherwise people will be able to see under your clothes. Exodus chapter 21. The Lord continued, Here are the legal decisions to be used by the Israelites. Whenever you buy a Hebrew slave, he will be your slave for six years. In the seventh year he may leave as a free man, without paying for his freedom. If he comes to you by himself, he must leave by himself. If he comes as a married man, his wife may leave with him. If his master gives him a wife and she gives birth to sons or daughters, the wife and her children belong to the master, and the slave must leave by himself. But if he makes this statement, I hereby declare my love for my master, my wife, and my children. I don't want to leave as a free man. Then his master must bring him to God. The master must bring him to the door or the door frame and pierce his ear with an awl. Then he will be his slave for life. Whenever a man sells his daughter into slavery, she will not go free the way male slaves do. If she doesn't please the master who has chosen her as a wife, he must let her be bought back by one of her close relatives. He has no right to sell her to foreigners, since he has treated her unfairly. 
But if he has chosen her for his son, he must treat her like a daughter. If that son marries another woman, he must not deprive the first wife of food, clothes, or sex. If he doesn't give her these three things, she can go free without paying any money for her freedom. Whoever strikes someone and kills him must be put to death. If it wasn't done intentionally, but God let it happen, the killer should flee to a place I will set aside for you. But whenever someone becomes so angry that he plans to kill his neighbor, you must take him away from my altar and put him to death. Whoever hits his father or mother must be put to death. Whoever kidnaps another person must be put to death, whether he has sold the kidnapped person or still has him. Whoever curses his father or mother must be put to death. This is what you must do whenever men quarrel, and one hits the other with a rock or with his fist and injures him so that he has to stay in bed. If the injured man can get up again and walk around outside with a cane, the one who hit him must not be punished. He must pay the injured man for the loss of his time and for all his medical expenses. Whenever an owner hits his male or female slave with a stick so that the slave dies from the beating, the owner must be punished. But if the slave gets up in a day or two, the owner must not be punished. The slave is his property. This is what you must do whenever men fight and injure a pregnant woman so that she gives birth prematurely. If there are no other injuries, the offender must pay whatever fine the court allows the woman's husband to demand. If anyone is injured, the offender must pay a life for a life, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, a foot for a foot, a burn for a burn, a bruise for a bruise, a wound for a wound. Whenever an owner hits his male or female slave in the eye, and the slave is blinded, he must let the slave go free to make up for the loss of the eye. If the owner knocks out the tooth of his male or female slave, it must let the slave go free to make up for the loss of the tooth. Whenever a bull gores a man or a woman to death, the bull must be stoned to death and its meat may not be eaten. The bull's owner is free from any liability. But if the bull has had the habit of goring, and the owner has been warned but has not kept it confined, and it kills a man or a woman, then the bull must be stoned and its owner must be put to death too. However, if only a cash settlement is demanded from the owner, the bull's owner may save his life by paying whatever price is demanded of him. If the bull gores someone's son or daughter, this same ruling applies. If the bull gores a male or female slave, its owner must pay twelve ounces of silver to the slave's master, and the bull must be stoned. Whenever someone opens up a cistern or digs a new one and doesn't cover it, and a bull or a donkey falls into it, the owner of the cistern must make up for the loss. He must pay money to the animal's owner, and then the dead animal will be his. Whenever one person's bull kills another person's bull, they must sell the live bull and divide the money between them. They must divide the dead bull, too. However, if it was known that the bull had the habit of goring, and its owner didn't keep it confined, the owner must make up for the loss, bull for bull, and then the dead bull will be his. Exodus chapter 22. The Lord continued, Whenever someone steals a bull or a sheep and butchers it or sells it, he must make up for the loss with five head of cattle to replace the bull or four sheep to replace the sheep. If anyone catches a thief breaking in and hits him so that he dies, he is not guilty of murder. But if it happens after sunrise, he is guilty of murder. A thief must make up for what he has stolen. If he is unable to do so, he must be sold as a slave to pay for what he stole. But if the stolen animal is found alive in his possession, whether it's a bull, donkey, or a sheep, 
he must make up for the loss with double the amount. Whenever someone lets his livestock graze in a field or a vineyard, and they stray and graze in another person's field, he must make up for what the damaged field was expected to produce. But if he lets them ruin the whole field with their grazing, he must make up from his own field for the loss with the best from his field and vineyard. Whenever a fire starts and spreads into the underbrush so that it burns up stacked or standing grain or ruins a field, the person who started the fire must make up for the loss. This is what you must do whenever someone gives his neighbor silver or other valuables to keep for him, and they are stolen from that person's house. If the thief is caught, he must make up for the loss with double the amount. If the thief is not caught, the owner of the house must be brought to God to find out whether or not he took his neighbor's valuables. If there is a dispute over the ownership of a bull, a donkey, a sheep, an article of clothing, or any other lost property which two people claim as their own, both people must bring their case to God. The one whom God declares guilty must make up for his neighbor's loss with double the amount. This is what you must do whenever someone gives his neighbor a donkey, a bull, a sheep, or any other kind of animal to keep for him, and it dies, is injured, or is captured in war, and there are no witnesses. The case between them must be settled by swearing an oath to the Lord that the neighbor did not take the other person's animal. The owner must accept the oath. The neighbor doesn't have to make up for the loss. But if the animal was stolen from the neighbor, he must make up for the owner's loss. If it was killed by a wild animal, he must bring in the dead body as evidence. He doesn't have to make up for an animal that has been killed. Whenever someone borrows an animal from his neighbor, and it is injured or dies while the owner is not present, the borrower must make up for the loss. If the owner is with the animal, the borrower doesn't have to make up for the loss. If it is rented, the rental fee covers the loss. Whenever a man seduces a virgin who is not engaged to anyone and has sexual intercourse with her, he must pay the bride price and marry her. If her father absolutely refuses to give her to him, he must pay an amount of money equal to the bride price for virgins. Never let a witch live. Whoever has sexual intercourse with an animal must be put to death. Whoever sacrifices to any god except the Lord must be condemned and destroyed. Never mistreat or oppress foreigners, because you were foreigners living in Egypt. Never take advantage of any widow or orphan. If you do and they cry out to me, you can be sure that I will hear their cry. I will become angry and have you killed in combat. Then your wives and children will become widows and orphans. If you lend money to my people, to any poor person among you, never act like a moneylender. Charge no interest. If you take any of your neighbor's clothes as collateral, give it back to him by sunset. It may be the only clothes he has to cover his body. What else will he sleep in? When he cries out to me, I will listen because I am compassionate. Never show disrespect for God or curse a leader of your people. Never withhold your best wine from me. You must give me your firstborn son. You must do the same with your cattle and your sheep. They will stay with their mothers seven days, but on the eighth day you must give them to me. You must be my holy people. Never eat the meat of an animal that has been killed by wild animals out in the countryside. Throw it to the dogs. Exodus chapter 23. The Lord continued, Never spread false rumors. Don't join forces with wicked people by giving false testimony. Never follow a crowd in doing wrong. When you testify in court, don't side with the majority to pervert justice. Never give special favors to poor people in court. 
Whenever you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering loose, be sure to take it back to him. Whenever you see that the donkey of someone who hates you has collapsed under its load, don't leave it there. Be sure to help him with his animal. Never deny justice to poor people in court. Avoid telling lies. Don't kill innocent or honest people, because I will never declare guilty people innocent. Never take a bribe, because bribes blind those who can see and deny justice to those who are in the right. Never oppress foreigners. You know what it's like to be foreigners because you were foreigners living in Egypt. For six years you may plant crops in your fields and harvest them, but in the seventh year you must leave the land unplowed and unused. In that way the poor among your people will have food to eat, and wild animals may eat what the poor people leave. You must do the same with your vineyards and olive groves. For six days you will do your work, but on the seventh day you must not work. Then your ox and donkey can rest. The slaves born in your household and foreigners will also be refreshed. Be careful to do everything I told you. Never mention the names of other gods, or let them be heard on your lips. Three times a year you must celebrate a pilgrimage festival in my honor. Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread. For seven days you must eat unleavened bread, as I commanded you. Do this at the appointed time in the month of Abib, because that was when you left Egypt. No one may come into my presence without an offering. Celebrate the festival of the harvest with the first produce harvested from whatever you plant in your fields. Celebrate the festival of the final harvest at the end of the year when you harvest your crops from the fields. These are the three times each year that all your men must come into the presence of the Master, the Lord. Never offer the blood of a sacrifice to me at the same time you offer anything containing yeast. The fat sacrificed at my festivals should never be left over in the morning. You must bring the best of the first produce harvested from your soil to the house of the Lord your God. Never cook a young goat in its mother's milk. I'm going to send a messenger in front of you to protect you on your trip and bring you to the place I have prepared. Pay attention to him and listen to him. Don't defy him, because he will not forgive your disobedience. He is acting on my authority. But if you will listen to him and do everything I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an opponent to your opponents. My messenger will go ahead of you and will bring you to the land of the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hivites, and Jebusites. I will wipe them out. Never worship or serve their gods or follow their practices. Instead, you must destroy their gods and crush their sacred stones. You must serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your food and water. I will take away all sickness from among you. No woman in your land will miscarry or be unable to have children. I will let you live a normal lifespan. I will send my terror ahead of you and throw any nation you meet into a panic. I will make all your enemies flee from you. I will spread panic ahead of you to force the Hivites, Canaanites, and Hittites out of your way. I will not force them out of your way in one year, otherwise the land would be deserted and wild animals would take over. Little by little I will force them out of your way until you have increased enough in number to take possession of the land. I will establish your borders from the Red Sea to the Mediterranean Sea, and from the Sinai Desert to the Euphrates River. I will put the people living in the land under your control, and you will force them out of your way. Never make a treaty with them and their gods. Never let them live in your land, or they will make you sin against me and trap you into serving their gods. Exodus chapter 24.
The Lord said to Moses, You and Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and seventy of Israel's leaders come up the mountain to me and worship at a distance. Moses may come near the Lord, but the others may not. The people must not come along with Moses. Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and legal decisions. Then all the people answered with one voice, We will do everything the Lord has told us to do. So Moses wrote down all the Lord's words. Early the next morning he built an altar at the foot of the mountain, and set up twelve sacred stones for the twelve tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men, and they sacrificed bulls as burnt offerings and fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it into bowls, and he threw the other half against the altar. Then he took the book of the Lord's promise and read it while the people listened. They said, We will obey and do everything the Lord has said. Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Here is the blood which seals the promise that the Lord has made to you based on everything you have just heard. Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and seventy of Israel's leaders. They saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made out of sapphire as clear and blue as the sky itself. God didn't harm these leaders of the Israelites. So they saw God, and then they ate and drank. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain. Stay there, and I will give you the stone tablets with the teachings and the commandments I have written for the people's instruction. Moses set out with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up on the mountain of God. He said to the leaders, Wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and Hur are here with you. Take all your disagreements to them. So Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered it. The glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered it, and on the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from inside the cloud. To the Israelites the glory of the Lord looked like a raging fire on top of the mountain. Moses entered the cloud as he went up the mountain. He stayed on the mountain forty days and forty nights. Exodus chapter 25 The Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to choose something to give me as a special contribution. You must accept whatever contribution each person freely gives. This is the kind of contribution you will accept from them. Gold, silver and bronze, violet, purple and bright red yarn, fine linen, goat's hair, ram skins dyed red, fine leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil and for the sweet-smelling incense, onyx stones and other precious stones to be set in the chief priest's ephod and his breastplate. Then have them make a holy place for me, and I will live among them. Make the tent and all its furnishings exactly like the plans I am showing you. Make an ark of acacia wood forty-five inches long, twenty-seven inches wide, and twenty-seven inches high. Cover it with pure gold inside and out, and put a gold molding around it. Cast four gold rings for it, and fasten them to its four feet, two rings on each side. Make poles of acacia wood, and cover them with gold. Put the poles through the rings on the sides of the ark in order to carry it. The poles must stay in the rings of the ark. Never remove them. Then you will put into the ark the words of my promise, which I will give you. Make a throne of mercy to cover the ark out of pure gold, forty-five inches long and twenty-seven inches wide. Make two angels out of hammered gold for the two ends of the throne of mercy, one on each end. Form the angels and the throne of mercy out of one piece of gold. The angels should have their wings spread above the throne of mercy, overshadowing it. They should face each other, looking at the throne of mercy. 
After you put into the ark the words of my promise which I will give you, place the throne of mercy on top. I will be above the throne of mercy between the angels whenever I meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. Make a table of acacia wood thirty-six inches long, eighteen inches wide, and twenty-seven inches high. Cover it with pure gold, and put a gold molding around it. Make a rim three inches wide around it, and put a gold molding around the rim. Make four gold rings for it, and fasten them to the four corners where the four legs are. The rings are to be close to the rim. They are to hold the poles for carrying the table. Make the poles out of acacia wood, cover them with gold, and use them to carry the table. Make plates and dishes for the table out of pure gold, as well as pitchers and bowls to be used for pouring wine offerings. Put the bread of the presents on this table, so that it will be in front of me all the time. Make a lampstand out of pure gold, the lampstand, its base, and its shaft, as well as the flower cups, buds, and petals must be hammered out of one piece of gold. Six branches are to come out of the sides, three branches on one side and three on the other. Each of the six branches coming out of the lampstand is to have three flower cups shaped like almond blossoms, with buds and petals. The lampstand itself is to have four flower cups shaped like almond blossoms, with buds and petals. There should be a bud under each of the three pairs of branches coming out of the lampstand. The buds and branches should also be hammered out of the same piece of pure gold as the lampstand. Make seven lamps, and set them on the lampstand so that they light up the area in front of it. The tongs and incense burners must be made of pure gold. Use seventy-five pounds of pure gold to make the lampstand and all the utensils. Be sure to make them according to the plans you were shown on the mountain. Exodus chapter 26. The Lord continued, Make the inner tent with ten sheets made from fine linen yarn. Take violet, purple, and bright red yarn, and creatively work an angel design into the fabric. Each sheet will be forty-two feet long and six feet wide, all the same size. Five of the sheets must be sewn together, and the other five must also be sewn together. Make fifty violet loops along the edge of the end sheet in each set, placing the loops opposite each other. Make fifty gold fasteners. Use them to link the two sets of sheets together so that the tent is a single unit. Make eleven sheets of goat's hair to form an outer tent over the inner tent. Each of the eleven sheets will be forty-five feet long and six feet wide. Sew five of the sheets together into one set and the remaining six into another set. Fold the sixth sheet in half to hang in front of the tent. Make fifty loops along the edge of the end sheet in each set. Make fifty bronze fasteners and put them through the loops to link the inner tent together as a single unit. The remaining half sheet should hang over the back of the inner tent. There will be eighteen inches left over on each side because of the length of the outer tent sheets. That part should hang over each side in order to cover the inner tent. Make a cover of ram skins that have been dyed red for the outer tent. Over that put a cover made of fine leather. Make a framework out of acacia wood for the inner tent. Each frame is to be fifteen feet long and twenty-seven inches wide, with two identical pegs. Make all the frames for the inner tent the same way. Make twenty frames for the south side of the inner tent. Then make forty silver sockets at the bottom of the twenty frames, two sockets at the bottom of each frame for the two pegs. For the north side of the inner tent, make twenty frames and forty silver sockets, two at the bottom of each frame. Make six frames for the far end, the west side. Make two frames for each of the corners at the far end of the inner tent. 
These will be held together at the bottom and held tightly at the top by a single ring. Both corner frames will be made this way. There will be eight frames with sixteen silver sockets, two at the bottom of each frame. Make crossbars out of acacia wood, five for the frames on one side of the inner tent, five for those on the other side, and five for the frames on the far end of the inner tent, the west side. The middle crossbar will run from one end to the other, halfway up the frames. Cover the frames with gold. Make gold rings to hold the crossbars and cover the crossbars with gold. Set up the inner tent according to the plans you were shown on the mountain. Make a canopy of violet, purple, and bright red yarn. Creatively work an angel design into fine linen yarn. Use gold hooks to hang it on four posts of acacia wood covered with gold, standing in four silver sockets. Hang the canopy from the fasteners in the ceiling, and put the ark containing the words of my promise under it. The canopy will mark off the most holy place from the holy place. Put the throne of mercy that is on the ark in the most holy place. Place the table outside the canopy on the north side of the inner tent, and put the lampstand opposite the table on the south side. For the entrance of the outer tent, make a screen out of fine linen yarn embroidered with violet, purple, and bright red yarn. Make five posts of acacia wood for the screen, and cover them with gold. Make gold hooks for this screen. Cast five bronze bases for the posts. Exodus chapter 27. The Lord continued, Make an altar out of acacia wood. It should be seven and a half feet square and four and a half feet high. Make a horn at each of its four corners. The four horns and the altar must be made out of one piece of wood covered with bronze. Make all the utensils for it out of bronze, pots for taking away the altar's ashes, also shovels, bowls, forks, and incense burners. Make a grate for it out of bronze mesh, and make a bronze ring for each of the four corners of the grate. Put the grate under the ledge of the altar so that it comes halfway up the altar. Make poles out of acacia wood for the altar and cover them with bronze. The poles should be put through the rings on both sides of the altar to carry it. Make the altar out of board so that it's hollow inside. It must be made just as you were shown on the mountain. Make a courtyard for the tent. The south side of the courtyard should be 150 feet long and have curtains made out of fine linen yarn, hung on 20 posts set in 20 bronze bases. The hooks and bands on the posts should be made of silver. The north side should be the same, 150 feet long, with curtains on 20 posts set in 20 bronze bases. The hooks and bands on the posts should be made of silver. The courtyard on the west end should be 75 feet wide and have curtains hung on 10 posts set in 10 bases. On the east end, facing the rising sun, the courtyard should also be 75 feet wide. Each side of the entrance will be 22 and a half feet wide, with curtains hung on three posts set in three bases. The entrance to the courtyard must have a 30-foot screen made from fine linen yarn, embroidered with violet, purple, and bright red yarn, hung on four posts set in four bases. All the posts around the courtyard should have silver bands, silver hooks, and bronze bases. The courtyard should be 150 feet long, 75 feet wide, and seven and a half feet high, with curtains made of fine linen yarn and with bronze bases. All the things for the tent, no matter how they're used, including all the pegs for the tent and the courtyard, must be made of bronze. For the lighting, you must command the Israelites to bring you pure virgin olive oil so that the lamps won't go out. In the tent of meeting outside the canopy, where the words of my promise are, Aaron and his descendants must keep the lamps lit in the Lord's presence from evening until morning. 
This is a permanent law among the Israelites for generations to come. Exodus chapter 28. The Lord continued, Out of all the Israelites bring your brother Aaron and his sons Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar to you. They will serve me as priests. Make holy clothes for your brother Aaron to give him dignity and honor. Tell all those who have the skill, those to whom I have given this ability, to make Aaron's clothes. These clothes will set him apart as holy when he serves me as priest. These are the clothes they will make, a breastplate, an ephod, and the robe that is worn with it, another specially woven linen robe, the chief priest's turban, and a cloth belt. They will make these holy clothes for your brother Aaron and his son so that they can serve me as priests. They must use gold, violet, purple, and bright red yarn and fine linen. Make the ephod out of fine linen yarn. Creatively work gold, violet, purple, and bright red yarn into the fabric. It will have two shoulder straps attached at the top corners so that it can be fastened. Make the belt that is attached to the ephod out of the same fabric. Take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, in birth order, six of their names on one stone and the remaining six on the other. Engrave the names of the sons of Israel on the two stones the same way a jeweler engraves a signet ring. Mount them in gold settings and fasten them on the shoulder straps of the ephod as reminders of who the Israelites are. In this way Aaron will carry their names on his shoulders as a reminder in the Lord's presence. Make gold settings and two chains of pure gold, twisted like ropes, and fasten these chains to the settings. Make the breastplate for decision-making as creatively as you make the ephod. Make it out of gold, violet, purple, and bright red yarn, and out of fine linen yarn. Fold it in half, so that it's nine inches square. Fasten four rows of precious stones on it. In the first row, put red quartz, topaz, and emerald. In the second row, put turquoise, sapphire, and crystal. In the third row put jacinth, agate, and amethyst. In the fourth row put beryl, onyx, and gray quartz. Mount them in gold settings. The stones correspond to the twelve sons of Israel by name, each stone engraved like a signet ring with the name of one of the twelve tribes. For the breastplate make chains out of pure gold, twisted like ropes. Make two gold rings for the breastplate. Attach them to the two top corners of the breastplate. Then fasten the two gold ropes to the rings at the top corners of the breastplate. Fasten the other ends of the ropes to the two settings on the shoulder straps of the ephod so that the breastplate hangs in front of it. Make two gold rings and fasten them to the other two corners of the breastplate on the inside edge next to the ephod. Make two more gold rings and fasten them to the bottom of the shoulder straps on the front of the ephod. This will be close to the seam just above the belt of the ephod. Then the breastplate should be fastened by its rings to the rings of the ephod with a violet cord. This will attach it just above the belt of the ephod and will hold the breastplate in place. Whenever Aaron goes into the holy place, he will be carrying the names of the sons of Israel over his heart as a constant reminder in the Lord's presence. He must do this by wearing the breastplate for decision-making. Put the Urim and the Thummim into the breastplate for decision-making. They too will be over Aaron's heart when he comes into the Lord's presence. In this way, whenever he's in the Lord's presence, Aaron will always be carrying over his heart the means for determining the Lord's decisions for the Israelites. Make the robe that is worn with the ephod entirely of violet material. Make an opening for the head in the center with a reinforced edge like a leather collar all around it to keep it from tearing. All around the hem of the robe make pomegranates of violet, purple, and bright red yarn with gold bells in between. 
a gold bell alternating with a pomegranate all around the hem of the robe. Aaron must wear it when he serves as priest. The sound of the bells must be heard when he comes into and goes out of the Lord's presence in the holy place so that he won't die. Make a flower-shaped medallion out of pure gold and engrave on it, as on a signet ring, holy to the Lord. Fasten a violet cord to it and tie it so that it's on the front of the turban. It will be on Aaron's forehead. He is the one to be blamed for anything done wrong when the Israelites bring their holy offerings, whatever their gifts may be. The medallion must always be on Aaron's forehead so that the Lord will accept their offerings. Make the specially woven inner robe of fine linen. Make the turban of fine linen, but the belt should be embroidered with colored yarn. Also make linen robes, belts, and turbans for Aaron's sons. These clothes will give them dignity and honor. Put these clothes on your brother Aaron and his sons, anoint them, ordain them, and set them apart to serve me as priests. Make linen undergarments to cover them down to their thighs. Aaron and his sons must wear them when they go into the tent of meeting or when they come near the altar to serve as priests in the holy place. Then they will be blameless and won't die. This is a permanent law for him and his descendants. Exodus chapter 29. The Lord continued, Now this is what you must do in order to set Aaron and his sons apart to serve me as priests. Take a young bull that has no defects and two rams that have no defects. Use the finest wheat flour but no yeast and bake some loaves of bread, some rings of bread made with olive oil and some wafers brushed with olive oil. Put the bread in a basket and bring the basket along with the young bull and the two rams. Then bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them. Take the clothes and put them on Aaron, the linen robe, the ephod, and the robe that is worn with it, and the breastplate. Use the belt to tie it on him tightly. Put his turban on him, and fasten the holy crown to it. Take the anointing oil, pour it on his head, and anoint him. Have his sons come forward. Dress them in their linen robes, and put turbans on them. Tie belts around the waists of Aaron and his sons. They alone are to be priests. This is a permanent law. In this way you will ordain Aaron and his sons. Then bring the young bull to the front of the tent of meeting. Aaron and his sons will place their hands on its head. Slaughter the bull in the Lord's presence at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Take some of the bull's blood and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger. Pour the rest of it out at the bottom of the altar. Then take all the fat that covers the internal organs, the lobe of the liver, and the two kidneys with the fat on them, and burn them on the altar. But burn the bull's meat, skin, and excrement outside the camp. It is an offering for sin. Take one of the rams. Then Aaron and his sons will place their hands on its head. Slaughter it, take the blood, and throw it against the altar on all sides. Cut the ram into pieces, wash the internal organs and legs, and put them with the other pieces and the head. Then burn the whole ram on the altar. It's a burnt offering, a soothing aroma, an offering by fire to the Lord. Take the other ram. Then Aaron and his sons will place their hands on its head. Slaughter it, take some of the blood, and put it on the right ear lobes of Aaron and his sons, on their right thumbs and on the big toes of their right feet. Throw the rest of the blood against the altar on all sides. Take some of the blood that is on the altar and some of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and his clothes and on his sons and their clothes. In this way, Aaron, his sons and their clothes will be holy. From this same ram take the fat, the fat from the tail, the fat that covers the internal organs, the lobe of the liver, the two kidneys with the fat on them, and the right thigh. 
This is the ram for the ordination. From the basket of unleavened bread which is in the Lord's presence, take a round loaf of bread, a ring of bread made with olive oil, and a wafer. Put all of these in the hands of Aaron and his sons, who will offer them to the Lord. Then take them from their hands, and burn them on the altar on top of the burnt offering. It's a soothing aroma in the Lord's presence, an offering by fire to the Lord. Take the breast from the ram used for Aaron's ordination, and present it to the Lord. This will be your share. Set apart as holy the breast that is offered to the Lord, and the thigh that is the contribution. Both will come from the ram used for the ordination. They both belong to Aaron and his sons. It is a permanent law that the Israelites give this portion to Aaron and his sons as a contribution. This will also be their contribution to the Lord from the fellowship offerings. Aaron's holy clothes will belong to his descendants so that they can be anointed and ordained in them. The son who succeeds him as priest, the one who goes into the tent of meeting to serve in the holy place, will wear them for seven days. Take the ram used for the ordination and boil its meat in a holy place. At the entrance to the tent of meeting, Aaron and his sons will eat the meat of the ram and the bread left in the basket. They will eat those offerings through which they made peace with the Lord at their ordination and installation. No one else may eat them because the offerings are holy. If any meat or bread from the ordination is left over until morning, burn it up. It must not be eaten because it is holy. Do this with Aaron and his sons exactly as I have commanded you. Take seven days to ordain them. Each day sacrifice a young bull as an offering to make peace with the Lord. Sacrifice this offering for sin on the altar in order to pay for its sins. Then anoint it with olive oil in order to dedicate it. For seven days at the altar make peace with the Lord and set the altar apart for its holy purpose. Then the altar will be most holy. Anything that touches the altar will become holy. This is what you are to offer on the altar regularly every day to one-year-old lambs. Offer one in the morning and the other at dusk. With the first lamb, make an offering of eight cups of flour mixed with one quart of virgin olive oil. Make a wine offering of one quart of wine. Offer the other lamb at dusk, and with it make the same grain offering and wine offering as in the morning. This is a soothing aroma, an offering by fire to the Lord. For generations to come, this will be the daily burnt offering made in the Lord's presence at the entrance to the tent of meeting. There I will meet with you to speak to you. I will also meet with the Israelites there, and my glory will make this place holy. I will dedicate the tent of meeting and the altar for their holy purposes. I will set Aaron and his sons apart for their holy duties of serving me as priests. Then I will live among the Israelites and be their God. They will know that I am the Lord their God. I brought them out of Egypt so that I might live among them. I am the Lord their God. Exodus chapter 30. The Lord continued, Build an altar out of acacia wood for burning incense. Make it 18 inches square and 36 inches high. The horns and altar must be made out of one piece of wood. Cover all of it with pure gold, the top, the sides, and the horns. Put a gold molding around it. Make two gold rings and put them below the molding on opposite sides to hold the poles for carrying it. Make the poles out of acacia wood and cover them with gold. Put the altar in front of the canopy which hangs over the ark containing the words of my promise. I will meet with you there in front of the throne of mercy that is on the ark. Aaron must burn sweet-smelling incense on this altar every morning when he takes care of the lamps. Also, when Aaron lights the lamps at dusk, he must burn incense. For generations to come, an incense offering must burn constantly in the Lord's presence. 
never burn any unauthorized incense on this altar or any burnt offerings or grain offerings. Never pour a wine offering on it. Once a year, Aaron must make peace with the Lord by putting blood on its horns. Once a year, for generations to come, blood from the offering must be placed on the altar to make peace with the Lord. It is most holy to the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, When you take a census of the Israelites, each person must pay the Lord a ransom for his life when he is counted. Then no plague will happen to them when they are counted. As each person is counted, he must give one-fifth of an ounce of silver using the standard weight of the holy place. This one-fifth of an ounce of silver is a contribution to the Lord. Everyone counted who is at least twenty years old must give this contribution to the Lord. The rich must not give more than one-fifth of an ounce of silver, and the poor must not give less. This contribution is given to make peace with the Lord and make your lives acceptable to the Lord. Take the money the Israelites give to make peace with the Lord and use it to pay the expenses of the tent of meeting. It will be a reminder for the Israelites in the Lord's presence that the sins in their lives are removed. The Lord said to Moses, Make a bronze basin with a bronze stand for washing. Put it between the tent of meeting and the altar and fill it with water. Aaron and his sons will use it for washing their hands and feet. Before they go into the tent of meeting, they must wash so that they will not die. Before they come near the altar to serve as priests and burn an offering by fire to the Lord, they will wash their hands and feet so that they will not die. This will be a permanent law for him and his descendants for generations to come. The Lord said to Moses, Take the finest spices, twelve and a half pounds of powdered myrrh, half as much, that is, six and one quarter pounds of fragrant cinnamon, six and one quarter pounds of fragrant cane, Twelve and a half pounds of cassia, all weighed using the standard weight of the holy place, and four quarts of olive oil. Have a perfumer make these into a holy oil, a fragrant mixture used only for anointing. This will be the holy oil used for anointing. Use it to anoint the tent of meeting, the ark containing the words of my promise, the table and all the dishes, the lampstand and all the utensils, the altar for incense, the altar for burnt offerings and all its accessories, and the basin with its stand. In this way you will dedicate them for their holy purpose. Then they will be most holy, and anything that touches them will become holy. Anoint Aaron and his sons as well. In this way you will set them apart for their holy duties of serving me as priests. Say to the Israelites, for generations to come, this will be my holy oil used only for anointing. It must never be poured on the bodies of other people. Never make any perfumed oil using this formula. It is holy, and you must treat it as holy. Whoever prepares a perfume like this or puts it on anyone who is not a priest must be excluded from the people. The Lord said to Moses, Take one part fragrant spices, two kinds of gum resin and aromatic mollusk shells, and mix them with one part pure frankincense. Have a perfumer make it into fragrant incense, seasoned with salt, pure and holy. Grind some of it into a fine powder, and put it in front of the ark containing the words of my promise in the tent of meeting, where I will meet with you. You must treat it as most holy. Never make any incense for yourselves using this formula. Treat it as holy to the Lord. Whoever prepares anything like it for his own enjoyment must be excluded from his people. Exodus chapter 31. The Lord said to Moses, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri and grandson of Hur, from the tribe of Judah. I have filled Bezalel with the Spirit of God, making him highly skilled, resourceful, and knowledgeable in all trades. 
He's a master artist familiar with gold, silver, and bronze. He knows how to cut and set stones and how to work with wood. He's an expert in all trades. Also, I have appointed Aholiab, son of Ahisamach, from the tribe of Dan, to help him. I have given every craftsman the skill necessary to make everything I have commanded you, the tent of meeting, the ark containing the words of my promise with the throne of mercy on it, and all the other furnishings for the tent, the table and the dishes, the pure gold lampstand and all its utensils, the altar for incense, the altar for burnt offerings and all its accessories, the basin with its stand, the special clothes, the holy clothes for the priest Aaron and the clothes for his sons when they serve as priests, the anointing oil, and the sweet-smelling incense for the holy place. They will make all these things as I commanded you. The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, Be sure to observe my days of worship. This will be a sign between me and you for generations to come, so that you will know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Observe the day of worship, because it is holy to you. Whoever treats it like any other day must be put to death. Whoever works on that day must be excluded from the people. You may work for six days, but the seventh day is a day of worship, a day when you don't work. It is holy to the Lord. Whoever works on that day must be put to death. The Israelites must observe this day of worship, celebrating it for generations to come as a permanent reminder of my promise. It will be a permanent sign between me and the Israelites, because the Lord made heaven and earth in six days, and on the seventh day he stopped working and was refreshed. The Lord finished speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai. Then he gave him the two tablets with his words on them, stone tablets, inscribed by God himself. Exodus chapter 32. When the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. They said to him, We don't know what has happened to this Moses who led us out of Egypt. Make gods who will lead us. Aaron said to them, Have your wives. Sons and daughters take off the gold earrings they are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their gold earrings and handed them to Aaron. After he had worked on the gold with a tool, he made it into a statue of a calf. Then they said, Israel, here are your gods who brought you out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of it and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival in the Lord's honor. Early the next day the people sacrificed burnt offerings and brought fellowship offerings. Afterward they sat down to a feast, which turned into an orgy. The Lord said to Moses, Go back down there. Your people whom you brought out of Egypt have ruined everything. They've already turned from the way I commanded them to live. They've made a statue of a calf for themselves. They've bowed down to it and offered sacrifices to it. They've said, Israel, here are your gods who brought you out of Egypt. The Lord added, I've seen these people, and they are impossible to deal with. Now leave me alone. I'm so angry with them, I'm going to destroy them. Then I'll make you into a great nation. But Moses pleaded with the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why are you so angry with your people whom you brought out of Egypt using your great power and mighty hand? Don't let the Egyptians say he was planning all along to kill them in the mountains and wipe them off the face of the earth. That's why he brought them out of our land. Don't be so angry. Reconsider your decision to bring this disaster on your people. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. You took an oath, swearing on yourself. You told them, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. I will give to your descendants all the land I spoke of. It will be their permanent possession. So the Lord reconsidered his threat to destroy his people. 
Moses turned and went down the mountain, carrying the two tablets with God's words. They were written on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was God's writing inscribed on the tablets. Then Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting. He said to Moses, It's the sound of war in the camp. Moses replied, It's not the sound of winners shouting. It's not the sound of losers crying. It's the sound of a wild celebration that I hear. When he came near the camp, he saw the calf and the dancing. In a burst of anger, Moses threw down the tablets and smashed them at the foot of the mountain. Then he took the calf they had made, burned it, ground it into powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. Moses asked Aaron, What did these people do to you that you encouraged them to commit such a serious sin? Don't be angry, sir, Aaron answered. You know that these people are evil. They said to me, We don't know what's happened to this Moses who brought us out of Egypt. Make gods for us. They will lead us. So I told them to take off any gold they were wearing. They gave it to me. I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. Aaron had let the people get out of control, and they became an object of ridicule to their enemies. When Moses saw this, he stood at the entrance to the camp and said, If you're on the Lord's side, come over here to me. Then all the Levites gathered around him. He said to them, This is what the Lord God of Israel says. Each of you put on your sword. Go back and forth from one end of the camp to the other, and kill your relatives, friends, and neighbors. The Levites did what Moses told them, and that day about three thousand people died. Moses said, Today you are ordained as the Lord's priests. God gave you a blessing today because each of you fought with your own sons and brothers. The next day Moses said to the people, You have committed a serious sin. Now I will go up the mountain to the Lord. Maybe I will be able to make a payment for your sin and make peace with the Lord for your sin. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, These people have committed such a serious sin. They made gods out of gold for themselves. But will you forgive their sin? If not, please wipe me out of the book you have written. The Lord answered Moses, I will wipe out of my book whoever sins against me. Now go, lead the people to the place I told you about. My messenger will go ahead of you. But when I punish, I will punish them for their sin. So the Lord killed people because they had Aaron make the calf. Exodus chapter 33. Then the Lord said to Moses, You and the people you brought out of Egypt must leave this place. Go to the land I promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob with an oath, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send a messenger ahead of you, and I will force out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go to that land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not be with you because you are impossible to deal with, and I would destroy you on the way. When the people heard this bad news, they acted as if someone had died. No one wore any jewelry. The Lord had said to Moses, Tell the Israelites you are impossible to deal with. If I were with you, I might destroy you at any time. Now take off your jewelry, and I'll decide what to do with you. After they left Mount Horeb, the Israelites no longer wore their jewelry. Now Moses used to take a tent and set it up far outside the camp. He called it the tent of meeting. Anyone who was seeking the Lord's will used to go outside the camp to the tent of meeting. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise and stand at the entrances to their tents and watch Moses until he went in. As soon as Moses went into the tent, the column of smoke would come down and stay at the entrance to the tent while the Lord spoke with Moses. When all the people saw the column of smoke standing at the entrance to the tent, 
They would all bow with their faces touching the ground at the entrance to their own tents. The Lord would speak to Moses personally as a man speaks to his friend. Then Moses would come back to the camp. But his assistant, Joshua, son of Nun, stayed inside the tent. Moses said to the Lord, You've been telling me to lead these people, but you haven't let me know whom you're sending with me. You've also said, I know you by name, and I'm pleased with you. If you really are pleased with me, show me your ways so that I can know you, and so that you will continue to be pleased with me. Remember, this nation is your people. The Lord answered, my presence will go with you, and I will give you peace. Then Moses said to him, If your presence is not going with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone ever know you're pleased with your people and me unless you go with us? Then we will be different from all other people on the face of the earth. The Lord answered Moses, I will do what you have asked, because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. Then Moses said, Please let me see your glory. The Lord said, I will let all my goodness pass in front of you, and there I will call out my name, the Lord. I will be kind to anyone I want to. I will be merciful to anyone I want to. But you can't see my face, because no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, Look, there's a place near me. Stand by this rocky cliff. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a crevice in the cliff and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away, and you'll see my back, but my face must not be seen. Exodus chapter 34. The Lord said to Moses, Cut two more stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets which you smashed. Be ready in the morning, then come up on Mount Sinai and stand in my presence on the top of the mountain. No one may come with you or even be seen anywhere on the mountain. Even the flocks and herds may not graze in front of this mountain. So Moses cut two more stone tablets like the first ones. Early the next morning he went up on Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him, carrying the two stone tablets. The Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him, and called out his name, The Lord. Then he passed in front of Moses, calling out, The Lord, the Lord, a compassionate and merciful God, patient, always faithful, and ready to forgive. He continues to show his love to thousands of generations, forgiving wrongdoing, disobedience, and sin. He never lets the guilty go unpunished, punishing children and grandchildren for their parents' sins to the third and fourth generation. Immediately, Moses knelt, bowing with his face touching the ground. Then he said, Lord, please go with us. Even though we are impossible to deal with, forgive our sin and the wrong we have done, and accept us as your own people. The Lord said, I'm making my promise again. In front of all your people I will perform miracles that have never been done in any other nation in all the world. All the people around you will see how awesome these miracles are that I will perform for you. Do everything that I command today. Then I will force the Amorites, Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites out of your way. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land where you're going. This will prove to be a trap to you. But tear down their altars, crush their sacred stones, and cut down their poles dedicated to the goddess Asherah. Never worship any other god, because the Lord is a god who does not tolerate rivals. In fact, he is known for not tolerating rivals. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in that land. When they chase after their gods as though they were prostitutes and sacrifice to them, 
they may invite you to eat the meat from their sacrifices with them. Then your sons will end up marrying their daughters. When their daughters chase after their gods as though they were prostitutes, they'll lead your sons to do the same thing. Never make an idol. You must celebrate the festival of unleavened bread. As I commanded you, you must eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of Abib, because in that month you came out of Egypt. Every first male offspring is mine, even the firstborn males of all your livestock, whether cattle, sheep, or goats. It will cost you a sheep or a goat to buy back the firstborn donkey. If you don't buy it back, then you must break the donkey's neck. You must buy back every firstborn of your sons. No one may come into my presence without an offering. You may work six days, but on the seventh day you must not work. Even during the time of plowing or harvesting, you must not work on this day. You must celebrate the festival of weeks with the first grain from your wheat harvest and the festival of the final harvest at the end of the season. Three times a year all your men must come into the presence of the Master, the Lord God of Israel. I will force nations out of your way and will expand your country's borders. No one will want to take away your land while you're gone three times a year to the Lord's festivals. Never offer the blood of a sacrifice to me at the same time you offer anything containing yeast. No part of the sacrifice at the Passover festival should be left over in the morning. You must bring the first and best of the produce harvested from your soil to the house of the Lord your God. Never cook a young goat in its mother's milk. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write down these words, because on the basis of these words I am making a promise to Israel and to you. Moses was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights without food or water. He wrote on the tablets the words of the promise, the Ten Commandments. Moses came down from Mount Sinai, carrying the two tablets with God's words on them. His face was shining from speaking with the Lord, but he didn't know it. When Aaron and all the Israelites looked at Moses and saw his face shining, they were afraid to come near him. Moses called to them, so Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him. Then Moses spoke to them. After that, all the other Israelites came near him, and he commanded them to do everything the Lord told him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever Moses went into the Lord's presence to speak with him, he took off the veil until he came out. Whenever he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they would see that Moses' face was shining. Then Moses would put the veil back on until he went in again to speak with the Lord. Exodus chapter 35. Moses assembled the whole Israelite community and said to them, These are the things the Lord has commanded you to do. You may work for six days, but the seventh day is a holy day of worship, a day when you don't work. It is dedicated to the Lord. Whoever does any work on this day should be put to death. Never light a fire in any of your homes on this day of worship. Then Moses said to the whole Israelite community, This is what the Lord has commanded. Choose something of your own to give us a special contribution to the Lord. Let everyone who is willing bring this kind of contribution to the Lord. Gold, silver and bronze, violet, purple and bright red yarn, fine linen, goat's hair, ram skins dyed red, fine leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil, and for the sweet-smelling incense, onyx stones and other precious stones to be set in the chief priest's ephod and breastplate. Have all the skilled craftsmen among you come and make everything the Lord has commanded, the inner tent, the outer tent and cover, along with the fasteners, frames, crossbars, posts and sockets, 
the ark with its poles, the throne of mercy and the canopy over it, the table with its poles, all the dishes, the bread of the presence, the lampstand used for the light with its utensils, its lamps and the olive oil for the lamps, the altar for incense with its poles, the anointing oil, the sweet-smelling incense, the screen for the entrance to the tent, the altar for burnt offerings with its bronze grate, its poles and all its accessories, the basin with its stand, the curtains for the courtyard, the posts, bases, and the screen for the entrance to the courtyard, the pegs for the tent and the courtyard with their ropes, the special clothes worn for official duties in the holy place, both the holy clothes for Aaron the priest and the clothes for his sons when they serve as priests. Then the whole Israelite community left Moses. Those who were willing and whose hearts moved them came and brought their contributions to the Lord. The gifts were used to construct the tent of meeting, to pay other expenses, and to make the holy clothes. All who were willing, men and women alike, came and brought all kinds of gold jewelry, pins, earrings, signet rings, and pendants. They took these gifts of gold and offered them to the Lord. Those who had violet, purple, or bright red yarn, fine linen, goat's hair, ram skins dyed red, or fine leather brought them. Those who could give silver or bronze brought it as their contribution to the Lord. Those who had acacia wood that could be used in the construction brought it. All the women who were skilled in spinning yarn brought violet, purple, and bright red yarn, and fine linen, which they had made by hand. All the women who were willing and had the skill spun the goat's hair. The leaders brought onyx stones and other precious stones to be set in the chief priest's ephod and breastplate. They also brought the spices and the olive oil for the lamps, the anointing oil, and the sweet-smelling incense. Every Israelite man and woman who was willing brought all these items to the Lord as a freewill offering. They brought these items to be used to make everything the Lord had commanded through Moses. Then Moses said to the Israelites, The Lord has chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, and grandson of Hur, from the tribe of Judah. The Lord has filled Bezalel with the Spirit of God, making him highly skilled, resourceful, and knowledgeable in all trades. He's a master artist familiar with gold, silver, and bronze. He knows how to cut and set stones, and how to work with wood. He's an expert in all trades. Also the Lord has given Bezalel and Aholiab, son of Ahisamach, from the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach others. The Lord has made these men highly skilled in all trades. They can do the work of jewelers, carpenters, and designers. They know how to embroider violet, purple, and bright red yarn on fine linen. They know how to weave yarn on a loom. They can do all kinds of trades. They are master artists. Exodus chapter 36. Moses continued, So Bezalel and Aholiab will do the work as the Lord has commanded. They will do this with the help of every other craftsman to whom the Lord has given the necessary skills and talents. They will know how to do all the work for constructing the holy place. Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every other craftsman to whom the Lord had given these skills and who was willing to come and do the work. Moses turned over to them all the contributions the Israelites had brought for the work of constructing the holy place. But the people still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning. Finally, all the skilled craftsmen who were working on the holy place stopped what they were doing. They all came to Moses. They said, The people are bringing much more than we need for doing the work the Lord commanded us to do. So Moses gave instructions to have the following message announced all over camp. No man or woman needs to make anything more to give as their special contribution to the holy place. Then the people stopped bringing gifts. 
the material they had was more than enough to do the job. All the skilled craftsmen among the workers made the inner tent with ten sheets made from fine linen yarn and violet, purple, and bright red yarn. An angel design was creatively worked into the fabric. Each sheet was forty-two feet long and six feet wide, all the same size. Five of the sheets were sewn together, and the other five were also sewn together. Then they made fifty violet loops along the edge of the end sheet in each set, placing the loops opposite each other. They also made fifty gold fasteners. They used them to link the two sets of sheets together so that the inner tent was a single unit. They made eleven sheets of goat's hair to form an outer tent over the inner tent. Each of the eleven sheets was forty-five feet long and six feet wide. Five of the sheets were sewn together into one set, and the remaining six into another set. Then they made fifty loops along the edge of the end sheet in each set. They also made fifty bronze fasteners to link the inner tent together as a single unit. They made a cover out of ram skins that had been dyed red for the outer tent, and over that they put a cover made of fine leather. They made a framework out of acacia wood for the inner tent. Each frame was fifteen feet long and twenty-seven inches wide, with two identical pegs. They made all the frames for the inner tent this same way. They made twenty frames for the south side of the inner tent. Then they made forty silver sockets at the bottom of the twenty frames, two sockets at the bottom of each frame for the two pegs. For the north side of the inner tent, they made twenty frames and forty silver sockets, two at the bottom of each frame. They made six frames for the far end, the west side. They made two frames for each of the corners at the far end of the inner tent. They were held together at the bottom and held tightly at the top by a single ring. Both corner frames were made this way. There were eight frames with sixteen silver sockets, two at the bottom of each frame. They also made crossbars out of acacia wood. Five were for frames on one side of the inner tent, five were for those on the other side, and five were for the frames on the far side of the inner tent, the west side. They made the middle crossbar so that it ran from one end to the other, halfway up the frames. They covered the frames with gold and made gold rings to hold the crossbars. They also covered the crossbars with gold. They made the canopy out of violet, purple, and bright red yarn and fine linen yarn. An angel design was creatively worked into the fabric. They made four posts of acacia wood for it and covered them with gold. They made gold hooks for the posts, and they cast four silver vases for them. They made a screen out of fine linen yarn for the entrance to the outer tent. It was embroidered with violet, purple, and bright red yarn. They also made five posts with hooks for hanging the screen. They covered the tops of the post and the bands with gold, but the five bases for the post were made of bronze. Exodus chapter 37. Bezalel made the ark out of acacia wood 45 inches long, 27 inches wide, and 27 inches high. He covered it with pure gold inside and out and put a gold molding around it. He cast four gold rings for its four feet, two rings on each side. Then he made poles out of acacia wood and covered them with gold. He put them through the rings on the sides of the ark in order to carry it. He made the throne of mercy out of pure gold forty-five inches long and twenty-seven inches wide. Then he made two angels out of hammered gold for the two ends of the throne of mercy, one on each end. He formed the angels and the throne of mercy out of one piece of gold. The angels had their wings spread above the throne of mercy, overshadowing it. They faced each other looking at the throne of mercy. He made the table out of acacia wood 36 inches long, 18 inches wide, and 27 inches high. 
He covered it with pure gold and put a gold molding around it. He made a rim three inches wide around it and put a gold molding around the rim. He cast four gold rings for it and fastened the rings to the four corners where the four legs were. The rings were put close to the rim to hold the poles for carrying the table. These poles were made out of acacia wood and were covered with gold. For the table he made plates, dishes, bowls, and pitchers to be used for pouring wine offerings. All of them were made out of pure gold. He made the lampstand out of pure gold. The lampstand, its base, and its shaft, as well as the flower cups, buds, and petals were hammered out of one piece of gold. Six branches came out of its sides, three branches on one side and three on the other. Each of the six branches coming out of the lampstand had three flower cups, shaped like almond blossoms, with buds and petals. The lampstand itself had four flower cups shaped like almond blossoms, each with a bud and petals. There was a bud under each of the three pairs of branches coming out of the lampstand. The buds and branches were hammered out of the same piece of pure gold as the lampstand. He made the seven lamps, the tongs, and the incense burners out of pure gold. The lampstand and all the utensils were made out of seventy-five pounds of pure gold. He made an altar out of acacia wood for burning incense. It was eighteen inches square and thirty-six inches high. The horns and altar were made out of one piece of wood. He covered all of it with pure gold, the top, the sides, and the horns, and he put a gold molding around it. He made two gold rings and put them below the molding on opposite sides to hold the poles for carrying it. He made the poles out of acacia wood and covered them with gold. He also had a perfumer make the holy oil to be used for anointing and for the pure, sweet-smelling incense. Exodus chapter 38. He made the altar for burnt offerings out of acacia wood seven and a half feet square and four and a half feet high. He made a horn at each of its four corners. He made the four horns and the altar out of one piece of wood covered with bronze. He made all the utensils out of bronze, pots, shovels, bowls, forks, and incense burners. He made a grate for the altar out of bronze mesh and put it under the ledge halfway up the altar. He cast four rings to hold the poles, one for each of the four corners of the bronze grate. He made the poles out of acacia wood and covered them with bronze. He put the poles through the rings on the sides of the altar to carry it. He made the altar out of board so that it was hollow inside. He made the basin and stand out of the bronze mirrors given by the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He also made the courtyard. The south side of the courtyard was 150 feet long and had curtains made out of fine linen yarn hung on 20 posts set in 20 bronze bases. The hooks and bands on the post were made of silver. The north side was also 150 feet long with 20 posts and 20 bronze bases. The hooks and bands on the post were made of silver. The west side was 75 feet long and had curtains hung on 10 posts set in 10 bases. The hooks and bands on the posts were made of silver. The east side, facing the rising sun, was 75 feet wide. Each side of the entrance to the courtyard was 22 and a half feet wide, with curtains hung on three posts set in three bases. All the curtains around the courtyard were made out of fine linen yarn. The bases for the post were made of bronze. The hooks and bands on the post were made of silver. The tops of the post were covered with silver, and the bands on all the posts of the courtyard were made of silver. The screen for the entrance to the courtyard was made of violet, purple, and bright red yarn, embroidered on fabric made from fine linen yarn. It was thirty feet long and seven and a half feet high, just like the curtains of the courtyard. It was hung on four posts set in four bronze bases. The hooks and bands on the post were made of silver. The tops of the posts were covered with silver. All the pegs for the tent and the surrounding courtyard were made of bronze. 
This is the amount of material that was used for the tent, the tent of the words of God's promise. An inventory was ordered by Moses and carried out by the Levites under the direction of Ithamar, son of the priest Aaron. Now Bezalel, son of Uri, and grandson of Hur, from the tribe of Judah, made everything the Lord had commanded Moses. He was a jeweler, carpenter, designer, and he knew how to embroider violet, purple, and bright red yarn on fine linen. His assistant was Aholiab, son of Ahisamach, from the tribe of Dan. The total amount of gold from the offerings presented to the Lord used in building the holy place weighed over 2,193 pounds, using the standard weight of the holy place. The silver collected when the census of the community was taken weighed 7,544 pounds, using the standard weight of the holy place. This came to one-fifth of an ounce per person for everyone counted who was at least 20 years old, 603,550 people. He used 7,500 pounds of silver to cast the 100 bases for the holy place and the canopy. This was 75 pounds per base. He used 44 pounds of silver to make the hooks and bands for the posts and the coverings for the tops of the posts. The bronze from the offerings presented to the Lord weighed 5,310 pounds. With this he made the bases for the entrance to the tent of meeting, the bronze altar with its bronze grate and all its accessories, the bases all around the courtyard, the bases for the entrance to the courtyard, all the pegs for the tent, and all the pegs for the surrounding courtyard. Exodus chapter 39 from the violet, purple, and bright red yarn, they made special clothes worn for official duties in the holy place. They also made the holy clothes for Aaron. They followed the Lord's instructions to Moses. They made the ephod out of fine linen yarn and gold, violet, purple, and bright red yarn. They hammered the gold into thin sheets and cut them up. They twisted the gold into threads which they creatively worked into each strand of the violet, purple, and bright red yarn and throughout the fine linen. They made two shoulder straps attached at the top corners so that the ephod could be fastened. They made the belt that is attached to the ephod out of the same fabric. They followed the Lord's instructions to Moses. They mounted the onyx stones in gold settings and engraved on them the names of the sons of Israel. Then they fastened them on the shoulder straps of the ephod as a reminder of who the Israelites are. They followed the Lord's instructions to Moses. They made the breastplate as creatively as they made the ephod. It was made out of gold, violet, purple, and bright red yarn, and a fine linen yarn. It was folded in half and was nine inches square. They fastened four rows of precious stones on it. In the first row they put red quartz, topaz, and emerald. In the second row they put turquoise, sapphire, and crystal. In the third row, they put jacinth, agate, and amethyst. In the fourth row, they put beryl, onyx, and gray quartz. The stones were mounted in gold settings. They corresponded to the twelve sons of Israel by name, each stone engraved like a signet ring with the name of one of the twelve tribes. For the breastplate, they made chains out of pure gold, twisted like ropes. They made two gold settings and two gold rings and attached the two rings to the top two corners of the breastplate. They fastened the two gold ropes to the rings at the top corners of the breastplate. They fastened the other ends of the ropes to the two settings on the shoulder straps of the ephod so that the breastplate hung in front of it. They made two gold rings and fastened them to the other two corners of the breastplate on the inside edge next to the ephod. They made two more gold rings and fastened them to the bottom of the shoulder straps on the front of the ephod. This was close to the seam just above the belt of the ephod. Then they fastened the breastplate by its rings to the rings of the ephod with a violet cord. So the breastplate was attached just above the belt of the ephod and was held in place. They followed the Lord's instructions to Moses. They made the robe that is worn with the ephod woven entirely of violet yarn. 
The opening in the center of the robe had a finished edge like a leather collar all around it to keep it from tearing. On the hem of the robe, they made pomegranates of violet, purple, and bright red yarn and fine yarn. They made bells out of pure gold and fastened them in between the pomegranates all around the hem of the robe. A gold bell alternated with a pomegranate all around the hem of the robe that is worn by Aaron when he serves as priest. They followed the Lord's instructions to Moses. They wove inner robes out of fine linen for Aaron and his sons. They also made the chief priest's turban and the other beautiful turbans out of fine linen. They made the undergarments and belt out of fine linen yarn. The belt was embroidered with violet, purple, and bright red yarn. They followed the Lord's instructions to Moses. They made the flower-shaped medallion, the holy crown, out of pure gold, and engraved on it, as on a signet ring, holy to the Lord. They fastened a violet cord to it and tied it on top of the turban. They followed the Lord's instructions to Moses. So all the work on the inner tent, the tent of meeting, was now done. The Israelites followed all the Lord's instructions to Moses. Then they brought everything to Moses, the inner tent, the outer tent, and all its furnishings, the fasteners, frames, crossbars, posts, sockets, the cover made of ram skins dyed red, the cover made of fine leather, the canopy over the ark, the ark containing the words of God's promise with its poles and the throne of mercy, the table with all the dishes, the bread of the presence, the pure gold lampstand with its lamps in a row, and all its utensils, the olive oil for the lamps, the gold altar, the anointing oil, the sweet-smelling incense, the screen for the entrance to the tent, the bronze altar with its bronze grate, its poles and all its accessories, the basin with its stand, the curtains for the courtyard, the posts, bases, and screen for the entrance to the courtyard, the ropes and pegs, all the equipment needed for the service of the inner tent, the tent of meeting, the special clothes worn when serving as priest in the holy place, both the holy clothes for the priest Aaron and the clothes for his sons when serving as priests. The Israelites had done all the work following the Lord's instructions to Moses. Moses inspected all the work and saw that they had followed the Lord's instructions. So Moses blessed them. Exodus chapter 40. Then the Lord said to Moses, Set up the tent, the tent of meeting, on the first day of the first month of the year. Place the ark containing the words of my promise inside it, and hang the canopy over the ark. Bring in the table and arrange everything on it. Bring in the lampstand and set up the lamps. Put the gold altar for incense in front of the ark. Put up the screen at the entrance to the tent. Put the altar for burnt offerings in front of the entrance to the tent of meeting. Put the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar, and put water in it. Set up the surrounding courtyard, and put up the screen at the entrance to the courtyard. Take the anointing oil, and anoint the tent and everything in it. In this way you will dedicate it and all its furnishings. Then it will be holy. Anoint the altar for burnt offerings and all the utensils. In this way you will dedicate the altar, and it will be most holy. Anoint the basin and stand, and they will be dedicated. Bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting, and wash them. Then dress Aaron in the holy clothes, and anoint him. In this way you will dedicate him to serve me as priest. Have his sons come forward, and dress them in their linen robes. Anoint them to serve me as priests, as you anointed their father. Their anointing will begin a permanent priesthood for them for generations to come. Moses did everything as the Lord commanded him, so the tent was set up on the first day of the first month of the second year after the Israelites had left Egypt. When Moses set up the tent, he put the sockets in place, put up the frames, inserted the crossbars, and set up the posts. He spread the outer tent over the inner tent and put the cover on top. Moses followed the Lord's instructions. 
He took the words of God's promise and put them in the ark. He put the poles on the ark and placed the throne of mercy on top of the ark. Then he brought the ark into the tent and hung the canopy over it to mark off where the ark was. Moses followed the Lord's instructions. Moses put the table in the tent of meeting on the north side of the tent outside the canopy. He arranged the bread on the table in the Lord's presence, following the Lord's instructions. He placed the lampstand in the tent of meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tent. He set up the lamps in the Lord's presence, following the Lord's instructions. Moses put the gold altar in the tent of meeting in front of the canopy. He burned sweet-smelling incense on it, following the Lord's instructions. Then he put up the screen at the entrance to the tent. He put the altar for burnt offerings at the entrance to the tent, the tent of meeting. He sacrificed burnt offerings and grain offerings on it. Moses followed the Lord's instructions. He put the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing. Moses, Aaron, and his sons used this water to wash their hands and feet. They would wash whenever they went into the tent of meeting or whenever they approached the altar. Moses followed the Lord's instructions. He set up the courtyard around the tent and the altar and put up the screen at the entrance to the courtyard. Finally, Moses finished the work. Then the column of smoke covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tent. Moses couldn't go into the tent of meeting because the smoke settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tent. In all their travels, whenever the column of smoke moved from the tent, the Israelites would break camp. But if the column didn't move, they wouldn't break camp. So the Lord's column stayed over the tent during the day, and there was fire in the smoke at night. In this way, all the Israelites could see the column throughout their travels. Leviticus chapter 1. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. He said, Tell the Israelites, if any of you bring a sacrifice to the Lord, you must offer an animal from your cattle, sheep, or goats. If you bring a burnt offering from your cattle, you must offer a male that has no defects. Offer it at the entrance to the tent of meeting, so that the Lord will accept you. Place your hand on the animal's head. The burnt offering will be accepted to make peace with the Lord. Then slaughter the bull in the Lord's presence. Aaron's sons, the priest, will offer the blood. They will throw it against all sides of the altar that is at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. Then the sons of the priest Aaron will start a fire on the altar and lay the wood on the fire. Aaron's sons, the priest, will also lay the pieces, the head and the fat, on top of the wood burning on the altar. Wash the internal organs and legs. Then the priest will burn all of it on the altar. It is a burnt offering, an offering by fire, a soothing aroma to the Lord. If your offering is a sheep or goat, you must bring a male that has no defects. Slaughter it in the Lord's presence on the north side of the altar. Aaron's sons, the priest, will throw the blood against the altar on all sides. Then cut it into pieces. The priest will lay the head and the fat on the wood burning on the altar. Wash the internal organs and legs. Then the priest will burn all of it on the altar. It is a burnt offering, an offering by fire, a soothing aroma to the Lord. If your offering to the Lord is a bird, you must sacrifice a morning dove or pigeon. The priest must bring it to the altar. He will break its neck and burn the bird on the altar. First he will drain the blood against the side of the altar. Remove the gizzard with its filth and throw it on the east side of the altar, on the place for the ashes. Then pull on the bird's wings to tear the bird open, but don't pull the wings off. Then the priest will lay the bird on the wood burning on the altar. It is a burnt offering, an offering by fire, a soothing aroma to the Lord. Leviticus chapter 2. 
The Lord continued, Now if any of you bring a grain offering to the Lord, your offering must be flour. Pour olive oil on it and put incense on it. Then bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests. Take from this a handful of flour with olive oil and all the incense. The priest will burn it on the altar as a reminder. It is an offering by fire, a soothing aroma to the Lord. The rest of the grain offering will belong to Aaron and his sons. It is very holy, set apart from the Lord's offering by fire. If you bring a grain offering which has been baked in an oven, it must be rings of unleavened bread made of flour mixed with olive oil or wafers of unleavened bread brushed with olive oil. If your grain offering is prepared in a frying pan, it too will be unleavened bread made of flour mixed with olive oil. Break it into pieces and pour olive oil over it. It is a grain offering. If your grain offering is prepared in a skillet, it will be made of flour with olive oil. Bring the Lord the grain offering prepared in any of these ways. Offer it to the priest who will bring it to the altar. The priest will remove part of the grain offering and burn it as a reminder on the altar. It is an offering by fire, a soothing aroma to the Lord. The rest of the grain offering belongs to Aaron and his sons. It is very holy, set apart from the Lord's offering by fire. Every grain offering that you bring to the Lord must be prepared without yeast. Never burn yeast or honey as an offering to the Lord. You may bring them to the Lord as offerings of your first products, but they must never be placed on the altar to make a soothing aroma. Also put salt on each of your grain offerings. The salt of God's promise must never be left out of your grain offerings. Put salt on all your offerings. If you bring a grain offering to the Lord from the first grain you harvest, roast the cracked grain over fire, put olive oil on it, and place incense on it. It is a grain offering. The priest will burn the flour, olive oil, and all the incense as a reminder. It is an offering by fire to the Lord. Leviticus chapter 3. The Lord continued, If your sacrifice is a fellowship offering of cattle in the Lord's presence, it must be a male or female animal that has no defects. Place your hand on the animal's head. Then slaughter it at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Then Aaron's sons, the priests, will throw the blood against the altar on all sides. From your offering, remove the fat that covers the internal organs and the two kidneys with the fat on them, and offer them by fire to the Lord. Also cut off the lobe of the liver along with the kidneys. Then Aaron's sons will lay them on top of the burnt offering on the burning wood. It is an offering by fire, a soothing aroma to the Lord. If your sacrifice is a fellowship offering of sheep to the Lord, you must bring a male or female animal that has no defects. If your offering is a lamb, you must bring it to the Lord. Place your hand on the animal's head. Slaughter it in front of the tent of meeting. Then Aaron's sons will throw the blood against the altar on all sides. Then take the fat from the fellowship offering and offer it by fire to the Lord. Remove all the fat from the tail and the fat that covers the internal organs. Also, remove the two kidneys with the fat on them along with the lobe of the liver. Then the priest will burn the fellowship offering on the altar. It is food, an offering by fire to the Lord. If your offering is a goat, you must bring it to the Lord. Place your hand on its head, slaughter it in front of the tent of meeting. Then Aaron's sons will throw the blood against the altar on all sides. Then bring the fat that covers the internal organs and the two kidneys with the fat on them as an offering by fire to the Lord. Also remove the lobe of the liver along with the kidneys. Then the priest will burn them on the altar. It is food, an offering by fire to the Lord. It is a soothing aroma. All the fat belongs to the Lord. This is a permanent law for generations to come, 
Wherever you live, never eat any fat or blood. Leviticus chapter 4. The Lord spoke to Moses. Tell the Israelites, if a person unintentionally does something wrong, even one thing that is forbidden by any of the Lord's commands, this is what he must do. If the anointed priest does something wrong and brings guilt on the people, he must bring a bull that has no defects as an offering for sin to the Lord. He must bring the bull into the Lord's presence at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He will place his hand on the bull's head. He will then slaughter the bull in the Lord's presence. Then the anointed priest will take some of the bull's blood and bring it into the tent of meeting. The priest will dip his finger in it and sprinkle some of the blood seven times in the Lord's presence, facing the canopy in the holy place. Then the priest will put some of the blood on the horns of the altar for sweet-smelling incense in the Lord's presence in the tent of meeting. He will pour the rest of the bull's blood at the bottom of the altar for burnt offerings at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He will remove all of the fat from the bull that is the offering for sin, the fat that covers the internal organs and the two kidneys with the fat on them. He will also remove the lobe of the liver and the kidneys the same way they were removed from the bull used for the fellowship offering. The priest will lay them on the altar for burnt offerings. Then he will take the entire bull, the skin, meat, head, legs, internal organs, and excrement, to a clean place outside the camp where the ashes are dumped. He will burn it there on a wood fire. If the whole congregation of Israel unintentionally does something wrong without the assembly being aware of it, if they do even one thing that is forbidden by any of the Lord's commands, they will be guilty. When the wrong they have done becomes known, the congregation must sacrifice a bull as an offering for sin. They must bring it in front of the tent of meeting. The leaders of the congregation will place their hands on the bull's head in the Lord's presence. One of them will slaughter it in the Lord's presence. Then the anointed priest will bring some of the bull's blood into the tent of meeting. The priest will dip his finger in some of the blood and sprinkle it seven times in the Lord's presence, facing the canopy. He will also put some blood on the horns of the altar in the Lord's presence in the tent of meeting. He will pour the rest of the blood at the bottom of the altar for burnt offerings at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He will remove all the fat and burn it on the altar. He will do the same thing with this bull that he did with the bull used as the offering for sin. So the priest will make peace with the Lord for the people, and they will be forgiven. Then he will take the bull outside the camp and will burn it the same way he burned the first bull. It is an offering for sin for the community. When a leader unintentionally does something wrong, even one thing that is forbidden by any of the commands of the Lord his God, he will be guilty. When he is told about what he has done wrong, he must bring a male goat that has no defects as his offering. He will place his hand on the goat's head and slaughter it in the Lord's presence, where he slaughters animals for burnt offerings. It is an offering for sin. Then the priest will take some of the blood of the offering for sin with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar for burnt offerings. He will pour the rest of the blood at the bottom of the altar for burnt offerings. He will burn all the fat on the altar the same way the fat of the fellowship offering is burned. So the priest will make peace with the Lord for what the leader did wrong, and the leader will be forgiven. If a common person unintentionally does something wrong, even one thing forbidden by the Lord's commands, he will be guilty. When he is told about what he has done wrong, he must bring a female goat that has no defects as his offering for what he has done wrong. He will place his hand on the animal's head and slaughter it where animals for burnt offerings are slaughtered. The priest will take some of the blood with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar for burnt offerings. He will pour the rest of the blood at the bottom of the altar. 
he will remove all the fat the same way it is removed from the fellowship offering. The priest will burn it on the altar for a soothing aroma to the Lord. So the priest will make peace with the Lord for that person, and that person will be forgiven. If someone brings a lamb as his offering for sin, he must bring a female that has no defects. He will place his hand on the animal's head and slaughter it where he slaughters animals for burnt offerings. Then the priest will take some of the blood from the offering for sin with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar for burnt offerings. He will pour the rest of the blood at the bottom of the altar. He will remove all the fat the same way the fat of the lamb is removed from the fellowship offerings. Then the priest will burn it on the altar with the offering by fire to the Lord. So the priest will make peace with the Lord for what that person did wrong, and that person will be forgiven. Leviticus chapter 5. The Lord continued, Now if you are a witness under oath and won't tell what you saw or what you know, you are sinning and will be punished. If you touch anything unclean, the unclean dead body of a wild or tame animal, or the body of an unclean swarming creature, and then ignore what you did, you are unclean and will be guilty. If you become unclean by touching human uncleanness of any kind, and then ignore it, although you know what you did, you will be guilty. If you hastily take a vow about what you will or will not do, as some people do, and then ignore it, although you know what you said, you will be guilty. So if you are guilty of any of these sins, you must confess it. Bring your guilt offering to the Lord for the sin you committed. It must be a female sheep or goat as an offering for sin. Then the priest will make peace with the Lord for what you did wrong. Now, if you cannot afford a sheep, you must bring to the Lord two mourning doves or two pigeons as a guilt offering for the sin you committed. One will be an offering for sin, the other a burnt offering. Bring them to the priest, and he will sacrifice the offering for sin first. He will break the bird's neck without pulling its head off. He will sprinkle some of the blood from the offering for sin on the side of the altar, and the rest of the blood will be drained at the bottom of the altar. It is an offering for sin. Then, following the proper procedures, he will sacrifice the second bird as a burnt offering. So the priest will make peace with the Lord for what you did wrong. But if you cannot afford two mourning doves or two pigeons, then bring eight cups of flour as an offering for the sin you committed. Never put olive oil on it or add incense to it, because it is an offering for sin. Bring it to the priest. The priest will take a handful of it. He will burn it as a reminder on top of the offering by fire to the Lord on the altar. It is an offering for sin. So the priest will make peace with the Lord for what you did wrong, and you will be forgiven. The offering will belong to the priest like the grain offering. The Lord spoke to Moses, if any of you fail to do your duty by unintentionally doing something wrong with any of the Lord's holy things, bring a guilt offering to the Lord. It must be a ram that has no defects, or its value in silver weighed according to the official standards of the holy place. Pay for whatever holy things you used, plus one-fifth more. Give it to the priest. So the priest will use the ram sacrificed for the guilt offering to make peace with the Lord for what you did wrong, and you will be forgiven. If any of you do wrong, even one thing forbidden by any of the Lord's commands, but you didn't know it, when you realize your guilt, you must be punished. You must bring the priest a ram that has no defects from the flock or its value in money for a guilt offering. The priest will make peace with the Lord for the wrong you did unintentionally, although you didn't know what you did, and you will be forgiven. It is a guilt offering, because you are certainly guilty as far as the Lord is concerned. Leviticus chapter 6. 
The Lord spoke to Moses, If any of you sin against the Lord by failing to do your duty, if you lie to your neighbor about something you were supposed to take care of, or if you lie about something stolen or seized from your neighbor, you are sinning and will be guilty. If you find something that someone lost and lie about it under oath, or commit any other sin like this, you are sinning and will be guilty. Return what you stole or seized, what you were supposed to take care of, the lost item you found, or whatever it was that you swore falsely about. Pay it back in full, plus one-fifth more. Give it back to its owner on the day you bring your guilt offering. Then bring the Lord your guilt offering, a ram that has no defects or its value in money. Bring it to the priest, so the priest will make peace with the Lord. Then you will be forgiven for whatever you did that made you guilty. The Lord spoke to Moses, Command Aaron and his sons, These are the instructions for the burnt offering that stays on the altar overnight while the altar fire is kept burning. The priest must put on his linen clothes, including his linen undergarments. Then he will remove the ashes left on the altar from the fire that consumed the burnt offering and will put them next to the altar. Then he will take off these clothes and put on some others. He will take the ashes to a clean place outside the camp. The fire must always be burning on the altar. It must never go out. The priest will burn wood on it every morning. He will lay the burnt offering on the fire and burn the fat of the fellowship offering. The fire must always be burning on the altar. It must never go out. These are the instructions for the grain offering. Aaron's sons must bring it into the Lord's presence in front of the altar. One of them will remove a handful of flour from the grain offering, together with the olive oil and all the incense. He will burn it on the altar as a reminder. It is a soothing aroma to the Lord. Aaron and his sons will eat the rest of it. They will eat unleavened bread in a holy place in the courtyard of the tent of meeting. Don't use yeast in baking the bread. I have given it to them as their share from the offerings by fire made to me. It is very holy like the offering for sin and the guilt offering. Every male descendant of Aaron may eat it. It is a permanent law for generations to come regarding the offering by fire to the Lord. Everyone who touches it will become holy. The Lord spoke to Moses, This is the offering that Aaron and his sons must bring to the Lord on the day he is anointed, eight cups of flour. They must do this every day. He must offer half of it in the morning and half in the evening. Prepare it in a frying pan with olive oil, mixing it well. Offer baked pieces of the grain offering as a soothing aroma to the Lord. Aaron's son, who is anointed to take his place as priest, will prepare it. This is a permanent law of the Lord. It must be completely burned. Every grain offering made by a priest must be completely burned. It must not be eaten. The Lord spoke to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons, These are the instructions for the offering for sin. The offering for sin must be slaughtered in the Lord's presence in the same place where the burnt offering is slaughtered. It is very holy. The priest who makes the offering for sin will eat it in a holy place, in the courtyard of the tent of meeting. Anything that touches its meat will be holy. If blood gets on someone's clothes, he must wash them in a holy place. Any piece of pottery in which the offering for sin is cooked must be broken into pieces. Any copper kettle in which the offering for sin is cooked must be scoured and rinsed with water. Any male among the priests may eat the offering for sin. It is very holy. Any offering for sin must not be eaten if some of the blood was brought into the holy place in the tent of meeting to make peace with the Lord. It must be burned. Leviticus chapter 7. 
The Lord continued, These are the instructions for the guilt offering. It is very holy. It must be slaughtered in the same place where the burnt offering is slaughtered. A priest will throw the blood against the altar on all sides. He will offer all the fat, the fat from the tail, the fat covering the internal organs, and the two kidneys with the fat on them. He will also remove the lobe of the liver along with the kidneys. The priest will burn them on the altar. It is a guilt offering by fire to the Lord. Any male among the priests may eat it. It will be eaten in a holy place. It is very holy. The same instructions apply to the offering for sin and the guilt offering. Both offerings belong to the priest to make peace with the Lord. The skin of the burnt offering belongs to the priest who sacrifices it. Every grain offering, whether baked in an oven or prepared in a skillet or a frying pan, belongs to the priest who offers it. Every grain offering, whether mixed with olive oil or dry, will be shared equally by all of Aaron's sons. These are the instructions for the fellowship offering that you must bring to the Lord. If you offer it as a thank offering, you must also bring rings of unleavened bread mixed with olive oil, wafers of unleavened bread brushed with olive oil, and loaves made from flour mixed well with olive oil. In addition to these rings of bread, you must bring bread with yeast along with your fellowship offering of thanksgiving. From every offering, you must bring one loaf to the Lord as a special contribution. It will belong to the priest who throws the blood of the fellowship offering. The meat from your fellowship offering of thanksgiving must be eaten on the day it is offered. Never leave any of it until morning. If your sacrificial offering is something you vowed or a free will offering, it must be eaten the day you offer it or the next day. However, on the third day any meat left over from the sacrifice must be burned. You will not be accepted if any meat from the fellowship offering is eaten on the third day. You will not receive credit for it. It is repulsive to God. The person who eats any of it must be punished. Meat that touches anything unclean must not be eaten. It must be burned. Anyone who is clean may eat from these sacrifices. Those who eat meat from the Lord's fellowship offering while unclean must be excluded from the people. Those who touch anything unclean, human or animal, or any other disgusting uncleanness and still eat the Lord's fellowship offering must be excluded from the people. The Lord spoke to Moses, Tell the Israelites, never eat any fat from bulls, sheep, or goats. The fat from an animal that dies naturally or is killed by wild animals you may use for any other purpose, but you must never eat it. Those who eat the fat from an animal which they sacrificed by fire to the Lord must be excluded from the people. Never eat the blood of any bird or animal, no matter where you live. Those who eat any blood must be excluded from the people. The Lord spoke to Moses, Tell the Israelites, anyone who offers the Lord a fellowship offering must bring a part of that sacrifice as a gift to the Lord. Bring the sacrifices by fire made to the Lord yourself. Bring the fat with the breast. Take the breast and present it to the Lord. The priest will burn the fat on the altar. However, the breast will belong to Aaron and his sons. You will also give the priest the right thigh as a contribution. When any of Aaron's sons offer the blood and fat of the fellowship offering, the right thigh will belong to him as his share. From the fellowship offerings of the Israelites, I have taken the breast that was presented to me and the thigh from the contribution offering. I have given them to the priest Aaron and his sons. This is a permanent law for generations to come. This is the share for Aaron and his sons from the sacrifices by fire made to the Lord. It was given to them on the day Moses ordained them to serve the Lord as priests. 
The Lord commanded the Israelites to give it to them on the day he anointed them. This is a permanent law for generations to come. These are the instructions for the burnt offering, the grain offering, the offering for sin, the guilt offering, the ordination offering, and the fellowship offering. On Mount Sinai the Lord gave Moses commands about these offerings at the same time that he commanded the Israelites to bring their offerings to him in the Sinai desert. Leviticus chapter 8. The Lord spoke to Moses, Take Aaron and his sons, the priest's clothes, the anointing oil, the bull that will be the offering for sin, the two rams, and the basket of unleavened bread. Gather the whole congregation at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and the congregation gathered at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Moses told the congregation, The Lord has commanded that this is what you must do. Moses had Aaron and his sons come forward, and he washed them. He put the linen robe on Aaron and fastened the belt around him. He also dressed him in the robe that is worn with the ephod. He fastened the ephod to it. Then he put the breastplate on him, and into it he placed the Urim and Thummim. He put the turban on him and fastened the gold medallion, the holy crown, to the front of the turban, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Moses took the anointing oil to anoint the tent and everything in it and dedicate them. He sprinkled some of the oil on the altar seven times and anointed the altar, all the utensils, and the basin with its stand to dedicate them. He also poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to set him apart for his holy duties. Moses had Aaron's sons come forward. He put linen robes on them, fastened their belts around them, and put turbans on them as the Lord had commanded Moses. He brought the bull that was the offering for sin. Aaron and his sons placed their hands on its head. When it was slaughtered, Moses took the blood and put it on the horns of the altar all around with his finger and cleansed the altar from sins. He poured the rest of the blood at the bottom of the altar and declared it holy so that priests could use it to make peace with the Lord. Moses took all the fat that was on the internal organs, the lobe of the liver, and the two kidneys with their fat, and he burned them on the altar. He burned the rest of the bull, its skin, meat, and excrement outside the camp, as the Lord commanded him. He brought forward the ram for the burnt offering. Aaron and his sons placed their hands on the ram's head. Moses slaughtered it and threw the blood against the altar on all sides. When the ram was cut into pieces, Moses burned the head with the other pieces and the fat. He washed the internal organs and the legs. Then Moses burned the whole ram on the altar as the Lord commanded him. It was a burnt offering, a soothing aroma, an offering by fire to the Lord. He brought forward the second ram for the ordination offering. Aaron and his sons placed their hands on the ram's head. Moses slaughtered it, took some of the blood, and put it on Aaron's right earlobe, on his right thumb, and on the big toe of his right foot. Moses also brought Aaron's sons forward. He put some of the blood on their right earlobes, on their right thumbs, and on the big toes of their right feet. Moses threw the rest of the blood against all the sides of the altar. He took the fat, the fat from the tail, all the fat on the internal organs, the lobe of the liver, the two kidneys with their fat, and the right thigh. He took a loaf of unleavened bread, a ring of bread made with olive oil, and a wafer from the basket of unleavened bread which was in the Lord's presence. He put them on the fat and the right thigh. Then he placed all these things in the hands of Aaron and his sons. Moses presented all these things to the Lord as an offering. Then he took them from their hands and burned them on top of the burnt offering on the altar. These were ordination offerings, offerings by fire, a soothing aroma to the Lord. 
Moses also took the breast from the ram of the ordination offering and presented it to the Lord. It was Moses' share, as the Lord had commanded. Moses took some of the anointing oil and some of the blood that was on the altar, sprinkled it on Aaron and his clothes and on his sons and their clothes. In this way he dedicated Aaron, his clothes, his sons and their clothes. Moses told Aaron and his sons, Cook the meat at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Take the meat and the bread in the basket of the ordination offering. Eat them there as I commanded when I said, Aaron and his sons will eat it. You must burn any meat or bread that is left over. You will not leave the entrance to the tent of meeting for seven days, not until the last day of your ordination is over. It will take seven days to ordain you. I did today what the Lord commanded me to make peace with the Lord for you. You will stay at the entrance to the tent of meeting day and night for seven days and serve as the Lord tells you. Then you will not die. This is what I was commanded. So Aaron and his sons did everything the Lord commanded through Moses. Leviticus chapter 9. On the eighth day Moses summoned Aaron and his sons and the leaders of Israel. He told Aaron, Take a calf that has no defects for yourself as an offering for sin, and a ram that has no defects as a burnt offering. Sacrifice them in the Lord's presence. Also tell the Israelites, Take a male goat as an offering for sin, a calf and a lamb, each one-year-old and without defects, as a burnt offering, a bull and a ram as a fellowship offering, and a grain offering mixed with olive oil to sacrifice in the Lord's presence. The Lord will appear to you today. So they took the things Moses commanded and brought them in front of the tent of meeting. The whole congregation came and stood in the Lord's presence. Moses said, The Lord has commanded you to offer these sacrifices so that you may see the Lord's glory. Moses told Aaron, Come to the altar and sacrifice an offering for sin and a burnt offering to make peace with the Lord for your sins and the sins of the people. Also make an offering for the people to make peace with the Lord for them as the Lord commanded. Aaron came to the altar and slaughtered the calf as his own offering for sin. Aaron's sons brought him the blood. He dipped his finger in the blood and put it on the horns of the altar. Then he poured out the blood at the bottom of the altar. On the altar he burned the fat, kidneys, and lobe of the liver from the offering for sin, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He burned the meat and the skin outside the camp. He slaughtered the animal for the burnt offering. Aaron's sons gave him the blood, and he threw it against the altar on all sides. They also gave him the burnt offering, which was cut in pieces and included the head. He burned it on the altar. He washed the internal organs and the legs and laid them on top of the burnt offering on the altar. He brought the people's offerings. He took the male goat for the people's offering for sin and slaughtered it. He sacrificed it to take away sins as he had done before. Following the proper procedures, he brought forward the burnt offering and sacrificed it. He also brought the grain offering. He took a handful of grain and burned it on the altar in addition to the morning burnt offering. He slaughtered the bull and the ram for the people's fellowship offering. Aaron's sons gave him the blood, which he threw against the altar on all sides. However, the fat from the bull and the ram, the fat from the tail, the layer of fat, the kidneys, and the lobe of the liver, they placed on the breasts. Aaron burned them all on the altar. However, he first took the breasts and the right thighs and presented them to the Lord, as Moses commanded. Then Aaron raised his hands toward the people and blessed them. He sacrificed the offering for sin, the burnt offering, and the fellowship offering. Then he came down from the altar. Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. When they came out, they blessed the people. Then the Lord's glory appeared to all the people. 
Fire came out from the Lord's presence and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. When all the people saw this, they shouted and bowed with their faces touching the ground. Leviticus chapter 10. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, each took an incense burner and put burning coals and incense in it. Then in the Lord's presence they offered this unauthorized fire. A fire flashed from the Lord and burned them, and they died in the presence of the Lord. Moses said to Aaron, This is exactly what the Lord said. I will show my holiness among those who come to me. I will show my glory to all the people. Aaron was speechless. Moses called Mishael and Elzaphan, the sons of Aaron's uncle Uziel. He told them, Come, and take your relatives away from in front of the holy place. Take them outside the camp. So they came and took them away to a place outside the camp, as Moses told them. The dead men were still in their linen robes. Moses told Aaron and his sons Eleazar and Ithamar, Do not mourn by leaving your hair uncombed or tearing your clothes. If you do, you will die, and the Lord will become angry with the whole congregation. All the other Israelites may cry over the fire the Lord sent, but you may not. You must not leave the entrance to the tent of meeting, or else you too will die, because the Lord has anointed you with his oil. They obeyed Moses. The Lord spoke to Aaron, You and your sons must not drink any wine or liquor when you go into the tent of meeting, or you will die. This is a permanent law for generations to come. Teach them the difference between what is holy and what is unholy, what is clean and what is unclean. Also teach the Israelites all the laws that I gave them through Moses. Moses told Aaron and his surviving sons Eleazar and Ithamar, Take the grain offering left over from the offering by fire to the Lord. Make unleavened bread and eat it next to the altar, because it is very holy. Eat it in a holy place, because it is the part of the offering by fire to the Lord that belongs to you and your children. This is the command I received. Also eat the breast presented to the Lord and the thigh that was given as a contribution. You and your sons and daughters may eat them in a clean place, because they are your part of the fellowship offerings from the Israelites. They will bring the thigh given as a contribution, the breast presented to the Lord, and the fat that is to be burned, and present them to the Lord. These parts will belong to you and your children. This will be a permanent law, as the Lord has commanded." Moses tried to find out what had happened to the male goat that was supposed to be the offering for sin. To his surprise, it had already been burned. So he became angry with Eleazar and Ithamar, Aaron's surviving sons. He asked them, Why didn't you eat the offering for sin in the holy place? It is very holy, and was given to you to take away the sins of the congregation, and to make peace with the Lord for them. Since its blood was not brought inside the holy place, you certainly should have eaten it there, as I commanded. Aaron answered Moses, Today they sacrificed their offering for sin and their burnt offering in the Lord's presence, and look what happened to me. If I had eaten the offering for sin today, would the Lord have approved? When Moses heard this, he was satisfied. Leviticus chapter 11 the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, Tell the Israelites, Here are the kinds of land animals you may eat, all animals that have completely divided hoofs, and that also chew their cud. However, from those that either chew their cud or have divided hoofs, these are the kinds you must never eat. You must never eat camels. Camels are unclean because they chew their cud, but do not have divided hoofs. You must never eat rock badgers. Rock badgers are unclean because they chew their cud, but do not have divided hoofs. You must never eat rabbits. Rabbits are unclean because they chew their cud, but do not have divided hoofs. 
You must never eat pigs, because pigs have completely divided hoofs, but do not chew their cud. They are also unclean. Never eat the meat of these animals or touch their dead bodies. They are unclean for you. Here are the kinds of creatures that live in the water which you may eat, anything in the seas and streams that has fins and scales. However, you must consider all swarming creatures living in the seas or the streams that have no fins or scales disgusting. They must remain disgusting to you. Never eat their meat. Consider their dead bodies disgusting. Every creature in the water without fins or scales is disgusting to you. Here are the kinds of birds you must consider disgusting and must not eat. They are eagles, bearded vultures, black vultures, kites, all types of buzzards, all types of crows, ostriches, nighthawks, seagulls, all types of falcons, little owls, cormorants, great owls, barn owls, pelicans, ospreys, storks, all types of herons, hoopoos, and bats. Every swarming winged insect that walks across the ground like a four-legged animal is disgusting to you. However, you may eat winged insects that swarm if they use their legs to hop on the ground. You may eat any kind of locust, cricket, katydid, or grasshopper. Every kind of winged insect that walks across the ground like a four-legged animal is disgusting to you. Regarding the creatures mentioned above, this is how you would become unclean. Whoever touches their dead bodies will be unclean until evening. Whoever carries any part of their dead bodies must wash his clothes. He will be unclean until evening. All animals whose hoofs are not completely divided or that don't chew their cud are unclean for you. Whoever touches them is unclean. All four-legged animals that walk on their paws are unclean for you. Whoever touches their dead bodies will be unclean until evening. Those who carry the dead body of any of these animals must wash their clothes and will be unclean until evening. These animals are unclean for you. The following swarming creatures that move on the ground are unclean for you. Moles, mice, and all types of lizards, geckos, monitors, lizards, skinks, and chameleons. Among all the swarming creatures that move on the ground, these are unclean for you. Whoever touches their dead bodies will be unclean until evening. When the dead body of one of these creatures falls on something, that thing will be unclean. It may be a wooden article, clothing, leather, a sack, or anything used for any purpose. It should be put in water and will be unclean until evening. Then it will be clean again. If any of these creatures falls into a piece of pottery, break the pottery because everything in it is unclean. If water from that pottery touches any food, the food is unclean. Any liquid that you drink from that pottery is unclean. Anything on which their dead bodies fall is unclean. If it is an oven or a stove, smash it. It is unclean and will remain unclean for you. However, a spring or a cistern holding water will remain clean. But anyone who touches their dead bodies will be unclean. If their dead bodies fall on seed that is to be planted, the seed is clean. But if water is poured on the seed and their dead bodies fall on it, the seed is unclean for you. When any animal that you are allowed to eat dies, whoever touches its dead body will be unclean until evening. Those who eat any of its dead body must wash their clothes and will be unclean until evening. Those who carry its dead body away will wash their clothes and will be unclean until evening. Any creature that swarms on the ground is disgusting and must not be eaten. Don't eat any creature with many legs that goes on its belly or on the ground like a four-legged animal, or any creature that swarms on the ground. Consider them disgusting. 
Don't become disgusting by eating anything that swarms on the ground. Never allow yourselves to become unclean because of them. Here is the reason. I am the Lord your God. You must live holy lives. Be holy because I am holy. Never become unclean by touching anything that swarms or crawls on the ground. Here is the reason again. I am the Lord. I brought you out of Egypt to be your God. Be holy because I am holy. These are the instructions about animals, birds, and every living creature that swims in the water, and every creature that swarms on the ground. These instructions help you distinguish between clean and unclean, the animals you may eat and those you may not eat. Leviticus chapter 12. The Lord spoke to Moses, Tell the Israelites, when a woman gives birth to a boy, she will be unclean for seven days. This is the same number of days she is unclean for her monthly period. The boy must be circumcised when he is eight days old. Then she must stay at home for thirty-three days in order to be made clean from her bleeding. She must not touch anything holy or go into the holy place until the days needed to make her clean are over. When a woman gives birth to a girl, she will be unclean as in her monthly period. However, she will be unclean for two weeks. Then she must stay at home for sixty-six days in order to be made clean from her bleeding. When the days needed to make her clean are over, she must bring a one-year-old lamb for a burnt offering and a pigeon or a mourning dove as an offering for sin. She must bring them to the priest at the entrance to the tent of meeting. The priest will offer them in the Lord's presence to make peace with the Lord for her. Then she will be clean from her flow of blood. These are the instructions for the woman who gives birth to a boy or a girl. If she cannot afford a lamb, she must use two mourning doves or two pigeons. One will be the burnt offering and the other the offering for sin. So the priest will make peace with the Lord for her and she will be clean. Leviticus chapter 13 the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, If anyone has a sore, a rash, or an irritated area on his skin that turns into an infectious skin disease, he must be taken to the priest Aaron, or to one of his sons who are also priests. The priest will examine the disease. If the hair in the diseased area has turned white and the diseased area looks deeper than the rest of his skin, it is an infectious skin disease. When the priest has examined him, he must declare him unclean. But if the irritated area is white and does not look deeper than the rest of the skin, and the hair has not turned white, the priest must put him in isolation for seven days. On the seventh day, the priest will examine him again. If the disease looks the same and has not spread, the priest must put him in isolation for another seven days. On the seventh day, the priest will examine him again. If the diseased area has faded and not spread, the priest must declare him clean. It is only a rash. The person must wash his clothes and will be clean. But if the rash has spread after he has shown himself to the priest to be declared clean, he must show himself to the priest again. The priest will examine him one more time, and if the rash has spread, the priest must declare him unclean. It is an infectious skin disease. If anyone has an infectious skin disease, he must be taken to the priest. The priest will examine him. If there is a white sore that has turned the hair white, and if there is raw flesh in the sore, he has a chronic skin disease. Without putting him in isolation, the priest must declare him unclean, because he is unclean. If skin disease develops and covers the whole person from head to foot, so far as the priest can see, the priest will examine him. If the disease does cover his whole body, the priest must declare the diseased person clean. His body has turned white. The person is clean. But if raw flesh appears, he will be unclean. 
the priest will examine the raw flesh and declare him unclean. The raw flesh is unclean. It is an infectious skin disease. But if the raw flesh turns white again, he must go to the priest. The priest will examine him again, and if the diseased area has turned white, the priest must declare the diseased person clean. He is clean. If a boil on the skin has healed, and in its place there is a white sore or a pink area, it must be shown to the priest. The priest will examine it. If it looks deeper than the rest of the skin and its hair has turned white, the priest must declare the person unclean. An infectious skin disease has developed in the boil. But if the priest examines the affected area and the hair in it is not white or the affected area is not deeper than the rest of the skin but has faded, the priest must put him in isolation for seven days. If the area has spread, the priest must declare him unclean. It is a skin disease. But if the irritated area has not spread, it is a scar caused by the boil. The priest must declare him clean. If anyone has a burn on his skin and the raw flesh of the burn turns into a pink or bright white area, the priest will examine it. If the hair on the affected area has turned white and the affected area looks deeper than the rest of the skin, an infectious skin disease has developed in the burn. The priest must declare him unclean. It is an infectious skin disease. But if the priest examines it and the hair in it is not white and the affected area is not deeper than the rest of the skin but has faded, the priest must put him in isolation for seven days. On the seventh day, the priest will examine him again. If the area has spread, the priest must declare him unclean. It is an infectious skin disease. If the irritated area does not spread but has faded, it is only a sore caused by the burn. The priest must declare him clean because it is a scar caused by the burn. If a man or a woman has some disease on the head or chin, the priest will examine the disease. If it looks deeper than the rest of the skin and there is thin yellow hair on it, the priest must declare the person unclean. It is a scab, a disease on the head or the chin. But if the priest examines the scabby disease and it does not look deeper than the rest of the skin and there is no black hair in it, the priest must put the person with a scabby disease in isolation for seven days. On the seventh day, the priest will examine the disease. If the scab has not spread, there is no yellow hair on it, and the scab does not look deeper than the rest of the skin, the person will shave everything except the scab. The priest will put the person with a scab in isolation for another seven days. On the seventh day, the priest will examine the scab again. If the scab has not spread on the skin and does not look deeper than the rest of the skin, the priest must declare him clean. When he has washed his clothes, he will be clean. But if the scab spreads after the person has been declared clean, the priest will make another examination. If the scab has spread on the skin, the priest does not have to look for yellow hair. The person is unclean. But if he sees that the scab hasn't spread and black hair grows on it, the scab is healed. The person is clean, so the priest must declare him clean. If a man or a woman has white irritated areas of skin, the priest will make an examination. If the irritated areas on the skin are pale white, a rash has developed on the skin. The person is clean. If a man loses his hair, he is clean even though he is bald. If he loses the hair on the front of his head, he is clean even though he is bald on the forehead. But if there is a pink patch on the bald places in back or in front, a skin disease is developing in those places. The priest will examine him. If the sore from the disease in the bald places in back or in front is pink, like a skin disease somewhere else on the body, the man has come down with an infectious skin disease. He is unclean.
the priest must declare him unclean because of the skin disease on his head. People who come down with a skin disease must wear torn clothes and leave their hair uncombed. They must cover their upper lips and call out, Unclean! Unclean! As long as they have the skin disease, they are unclean. They must live outside the camp. Now about clothing, if there is a green or red area on a piece of clothing that is woven or knitted from linen or wool, or on any leather article, it is mildew. It must be shown to the priest. The priest will examine the mildew and will put the clothing in a separate place for seven days. On the seventh day he will examine the area again. If the spot is spreading, it is unclean. He must burn the piece of clothing or the leather article because the mildew is growing. But if the priest sees that the area has not spread, he must order the area to be washed and put the clothing in a separate place for seven more days. The priest will examine the area again after it is washed. If it doesn't look any different and the mildew has not spread, it is still unclean. It must be burned, whether the area is on the outside or the inside. If the priest sees that the area is pale after washing, he will tear it out of the clothing or the leather. However, if it shows up again, you must burn the clothing or the leather article. But if the area disappears from the woven or knitted clothing or any leather article when it is washed, wash it again and it will be clean. These are the instructions for deciding whether mildew in clothing that is woven or knitted from linen or wool or in any leather article is clean or unclean. Leviticus chapter 14. The Lord spoke to Moses. These are the instructions for making a person clean after a skin disease. He must be taken to the priest. The priest will go outside the camp and examine him. If the person is healed, the priest will order someone to get two living, clean birds, some cedar wood, red yarn, and a hyssop sprig to use for the cleansing. Then the priest will order someone to kill one bird over a clay bowl containing fresh water. The priest will take the living bird, the cedar wood, the red yarn, and the hyssop sprig, and dip them and the living bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. He will sprinkle the blood seven times on the one to be cleansed and will declare that person clean. Then he will let the living bird fly away into the open country. The one to be cleansed must wash his clothes, shave off all his hair, and wash. Then he will be clean. After that he may go into the camp. However, for seven days he will live outside his tent. On the seventh day he must shave off all the hair on his head, his beard, and his eyebrows, and he must wash his clothes and body. Then he will be clean. On the eighth day he must take two male lambs that have no defects and a one-year-old female lamb that has no defects. He must also take eight cups of flour mixed with olive oil for a grain offering, along with a quart of olive oil. The priest who will declare him clean must bring the person and his offerings into the Lord's presence at the entrance to the tent of meeting. The priest will take one of the male lambs and the quart of olive oil and present them to the Lord as a guilt offering. He will slaughter the lamb in the holy place where he slaughters the offering for sin and the burnt offering. He will do this because the guilt offering, like the offering for sin, belongs to the priest. It is very holy. Then the priest will take some of the blood from the guilt offering and put it on the right earlobe, on the right thumb, and on the big toe of the right foot of the one to be cleansed. The priest will also take some of the olive oil and pour it into his own left hand. He will dip his right finger in the oil in his left hand, and with his finger sprinkle some of the oil seven times in the Lord's presence. The priest will put some of the oil that is still in his hand on the right earlobe, on the right thumb, and on the big toe of the right foot of the one to be cleansed. 
These are the same places he had put the blood of the guilt offering. The priest will put the rest of the oil in his hand on the head of the one to be cleansed. So he will make peace with the Lord for that person in the Lord's presence. The priest will also sacrifice the offering for sin to make peace with the Lord for the one who is being cleansed from his impurity. After that, he will slaughter the burnt offering. The priest will sacrifice the burnt offering and the grain offering on the altar. So the priest will make peace with the Lord for that person, and the person who had the skin disease will be clean. But if the one to be cleansed is poor and cannot afford that much, he must take one male lamb, present it to make peace with the Lord for himself, and use it for his guilt offering. He will take only eight cups of flour mixed with olive oil as a grain offering, a quart of olive oil, and two morning doves or two pigeons, whatever he can afford. The one will be an offering for sin, and the other a burnt offering. On the eighth day he will take them to the priest for his cleansing at the entrance to the tent of meeting in the Lord's presence. The priest will take the lamb for the guilt offering and the quart of olive oil and present them to the Lord. He will slaughter the lamb as a guilt offering. Then the priest will take some of the blood of the guilt offering and put it on the right earlobe, on the right thumb, and on the big toe of the right foot of the one to be cleansed. The priest will pour some of the olive oil into his own left hand. With his right finger he will sprinkle some of the oil seven times in the Lord's presence. The priest will put some of the oil that is in his hand on the right earlobe, on the right thumb, and on the big toe of the right foot of the one to be cleansed. These are the same places he had put the blood of the guilt offering. In the Lord's presence the priest will pour the rest of the oil in his hand on the head of the one to be cleansed in order to make a payment for him. Then the one to be cleansed must take one of the morning doves or pigeons, whichever he can afford, and sacrifice it as an offering for sin. He will take the other and sacrifice it as a burnt offering together with a grain offering. So in the Lord's presence the priest will make peace with the Lord for the one who is being cleansed. These are the instructions for one who has an infectious skin disease, but cannot afford what is needed for his cleansing. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, When you come to Canaan, that I am going to give to you, mildew may appear in a house. The owner of that house must come and tell the priest that there is something that looks like mildew in his house. Before the priest examines the house, he will order everything taken out of it, so that nothing in the house will become unclean. Then the priest will go inside to examine the house. He will examine the mildew area on the walls. If it is green and red in sunken areas that are deeper than the rest of the wall, the priest will go out to the door of the house and close up the house for seven days. On the seventh day the priest will go back and examine it again. If the mildew on the walls of the house is spread, the priest must order the stones that have the mildew to be torn out and thrown outside the city in an unclean place. He must have the entire inside of the house scraped. The plaster dust scraped off the walls must be dumped in an unclean place outside the city. The stones must be replaced, and the house must be plastered again. If the mildew develops again in the house after all this, the priest will examine it one more time. If it is a spreading type of mildew, the house is unclean. The house, stones, wood, and all the plaster must be torn down and taken to an unclean place outside the city. Whoever goes into the house any time it is closed up will be unclean until evening. Whoever sleeps or eats in the house must wash his clothes. But if the priest comes and makes an examination, and the mildew has not spread in the house after it is plastered again, the priest must declare the house clean, the mildew is gone. The priest must take two birds, cedar wood, red yarn, and a hyssop sprig, and use them to make the house clean. 
He must kill the one bird over a clay bowl containing fresh water. He must take the cedar wood, the hyssop sprig, the red yarn, and the living bird and dip them in the fresh water containing the blood of the bird that was killed. He must sprinkle the house seven times. So he must use the bird's blood, the fresh water, the living bird, the cedar wood, the hyssop, and the red yarn to make the house clean. Then he will let the living bird fly from the city into the open country. He will make peace with the Lord for the house, and it will be clean. These are the instructions for any kind of mildew or fungus that infects clothing or houses, and for skin diseases where there is a sore, a rash, or an irritated area. These instructions for skin diseases and mildew help you distinguish between what is clean and what is unclean. Leviticus chapter 15. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, Tell the Israelites if a man has a discharge from his penis, his discharge is unclean. He is unclean because of the discharge from his penis. Whether it is chronic or not makes no difference. He is still unclean. The man who has a discharge makes everything he lies on or sits on unclean. Those who touch his bed must wash their clothes and their bodies. They will be unclean until evening. Those who sit on anything he sat on must wash their clothes and their bodies. They will be unclean until evening. Those who touch a man who has a discharge must wash their clothes and their bodies. They will be unclean until evening. If a man who has a discharge spits on anyone who is clean, the person he spits on must wash his clothes and his body. He will be unclean until evening. When a man who has a discharge sits on a saddle, it becomes unclean. Those who carry such things must wash their clothes and their bodies. They will be unclean until evening. If a man who has a discharge touches anyone without first rinsing his hands, the person he touched must wash his clothes and his body. He will be unclean until evening. When a man who has a discharge touches pottery, it must be broken, and any wooden bucket he touches must be rinsed. When a man's discharge stops, he must wait seven days to be cleansed. He must wash his clothes and his body in fresh water. Then he will be clean. On the eighth day he must take two mourning doves or two pigeons and come into the Lord's presence at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He will give these birds to the priest. The priest will sacrifice one as an offering for sin and the other as a burnt offering. So in the Lord's presence the priest will make peace with the Lord for the man who had a discharge. If a man has an emission of semen, he must bathe his whole body. He will be unclean until evening. Any clothes or any leather with semen on it must be washed. It will be unclean until evening. When a man has sexual intercourse with a woman and has an omission of semen, they must wash themselves. They will be unclean until evening. When a woman has her monthly period, she will be unclean for seven days. Those who touch her will be unclean until evening. Everything she lies on or sits on during her period will be unclean. Those who touch her bed must wash their clothes and their bodies. They will be unclean until evening. Those who touch anything she sits on must wash their clothes and their bodies. They will be unclean until evening. If her blood touches anything on the bed or anything she sits on, it will be unclean until evening. If a man has sexual intercourse with her while she has her period, he will be unclean for seven days. Any bed he lies on will become unclean. If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days other than her monthly period, she is unclean. If her period lasts longer than usual, she will be unclean as long as she has a discharge. It is like her period. As long as she has a discharge, any bed she lies on or anything she sits on is unclean. It is like her period. 
Those who touch these things are unclean and must wash their clothes and their bodies. They will be unclean until evening. When her discharge stops, she must wait seven days. After that, she will be clean. On the eighth day, she must take two mourning doves or two pigeons and bring them to the priest at the entrance to the tent of meeting. The priest will offer one as an offering for sin and the other as a burnt offering. So in the Lord's presence, the priest will make peace with the Lord for the woman who had an unclean discharge. You must separate the Israelites from anything that keeps them from being presentable to me. Otherwise, they will die because they make my tent, which is among them, unclean. These are the instructions for any man who has a discharge or an emission of semen that makes him unclean, for any woman who has her period, for any man or woman who has a discharge, or for any man who has sexual intercourse with a woman when she is unclean. Leviticus chapter 16. The Lord spoke to Moses after Aaron's two sons had come into the Lord's presence and died. The Lord said, Tell your brother Aaron that he cannot go into the holy place whenever he wants to. If he goes up to the canopy and stands in front of the throne of mercy on the ark, he will die, because I appear in the smoke above the throne of mercy. This is what Aaron must do in order to come into the holy place. He must take a bull as an offering for sin and a ram as a burnt offering. He must put on a holy linen robe and wear linen undergarments. He must wear a linen belt and turban. These are holy clothes. He must wash his body and put them on. He will take two male goats from the congregation of Israel as an offering for sin and a ram as a burnt offering. Aaron must sacrifice the bull as his own offering for sin. By doing this, he will make peace with the Lord for himself and his family. He must take the two male goats and bring them into the Lord's presence at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Then Aaron must throw lots for the two goats. One lot will be for the Lord and the other for Azazel. Aaron must sacrifice the goat chosen by Lot for the Lord as an offering for sin. But he must bring the goat chosen by Lot for Azazel into the Lord's presence. He will release it in the desert to Azazel in order to make peace with the Lord for himself and his family. Aaron will bring the bull. He will then slaughter it as his own offering for sin. By doing this, he will make peace with the Lord for himself and his family. He will take an incense burner full of burning coals from the altar which is in the Lord's presence and two handfuls of finely ground, sweet-smelling incense. He will bring them up to the canopy. Then he will put the incense on the fire in the Lord's presence. The cloud of incense will cover the throne of mercy, which is over the words of God's promise, so that he will not die. He will take some of the bull's blood and sprinkle it with his finger on the east side of the throne of mercy. Then he will sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times in front of the throne of mercy. Next, Aaron will slaughter the goat for the people's offering for sin. He will take the blood inside, go up to the canopy, and sprinkle it on the throne of mercy and in front of it, as he did with the bull's blood. So he will make peace with the Lord for all the sins the Israelites committed against the holy place. These sins happened because the Israelites were unclean and because they committed rebellious acts. He will do the same for the tent of meeting, which is among an unclean people. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time Aaron enters the holy place to do this until he comes out. Aaron will make peace with the Lord for his own sins, his family's sins, and the sins of the entire assembly of Israel. Then he will go out to the altar that is in the Lord's presence and make peace with the Lord there for the sins committed. He will take some of the blood from the bull and some of the goat's blood and put it all around the horns of the altar. With his finger he will sprinkle some of the blood on it seven times. 
Because the Israelites made it unclean, he will cleanse it and declare it holy. When he finishes making peace with the Lord at the holy place, the tent of meeting, and the altar, he will bring the living goat forward. Aaron will place both hands on its head. He will confess over it all the sins, all the rebellious acts, and all the things the Israelites did wrong. He will transfer them to the goat's head. A man will be appointed to release the goat in the desert. The goat will take all their sins away to a deserted place. The man must release the goat in the desert. Then Aaron will go to the tent of meeting, take off the linen clothes he had put on to go into the holy place and leave them there. He will wash his body in the holy place and put on his other clothes. Then he will come out and sacrifice the burnt offering for himself and for the people to make peace with the Lord for his own sins and the sins of the people. He will burn the fat of the offering for sin on the altar. The man who released the goat to Azazel must wash his clothes and his body. Then he may return to the camp. He must take the bull and the goat outside the camp. These animals were the offering for sin whose blood was brought into the holy place to make peace with the Lord for sins. The skin, meat, and excrement from the animals must be burned. Whoever burns them must wash his clothes and his body. Then he may return to the camp. This will be a permanent law for you. On the tenth day of the seventh month, both native Israelites and foreigners must humble themselves. They must do no work. On this day Aaron will make peace with the Lord to make you clean. Then you will be clean from all your sins in the Lord's presence. This is the most important worship festival there is for you. You will humble yourselves. It is a permanent law. The priest who is anointed and ordained to serve as chief priest in his father's place will pay for sins. He will put on the holy linen clothes and will make peace with the Lord at the holy place, the tent of meeting, and the altar. He will make peace with the Lord for the priests and all the worshippers. This permanent law tells you how to make peace with the Lord once a year for all the sins the Israelites committed. Aaron did as the Lord had commanded Moses. Leviticus chapter 17. The Lord spoke to Moses, Tell Aaron, his sons, and all the Israelites that this is what the Lord has commanded. Any Israelite who slaughters a bull, sheep, or goat inside or outside the camp is guilty of bloodshed. He has shed blood and must be excluded from the people. Bring the animal to the entrance of the tent of meeting. Offer it to the Lord in front of the Lord's tent. This means that the people of Israel must take the sacrifices they have been making in the open fields and bring them to the Lord. They must bring them to the priest at the entrance to the tent of meeting. The people will sacrifice them as fellowship offerings to the Lord. The priest will pour the blood against the Lord's altar at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He will burn the fat as a soothing aroma to the Lord. The people must stop sacrificing to goat idols and chasing after them as though they were prostitutes. This is a permanent law for the people and for future generations. Tell them, if Israelites or foreigners make burnt offerings or sacrifices, but do not bring them to the entrance of the tent of meeting to offer them to the Lord, they must be excluded from the people. If Israelites or foreigners eat any blood, I will condemn them and exclude them from the people, because blood contains life. I have given this blood to you to make peace with me on the altar. Blood is needed to make peace with me. That is why I have said to the people of Israel, Neither you nor foreigners should ever eat blood. If Israelites or foreigners hunt any animal or bird that may be eaten, they must pour out the animal's blood and cover it with dirt. This is because the life of any creature is in its blood. So I have said to the people of Israel, Never eat any blood, 
because the life of any creature is in its blood. Whoever eats blood must be excluded from the people. Native Israelites or foreigners who eat the body of an animal that dies naturally or is killed by another animal must wash their clothes and their bodies. They will be unclean until evening. Then they will be clean. If they don't wash their clothes and their bodies, they will be guilty of sin. Leviticus chapter 18. The Lord spoke to Moses, Tell the Israelites, I am the Lord your God. You used to live in Egypt. Don't live the way the Egyptians do. I am bringing you to Canaan. Don't live the way the Canaanites do. Never live by their standards. Follow my rules and live by my standards. I am the Lord your God. Live by my standards and obey my rules. You will have life through them. I am the Lord. Never have sexual intercourse with anyone related to you by blood. I am the Lord. Never have sexual intercourse with your mother. She is your own mother. Never have sexual intercourse with her. Never have sexual intercourse with your stepmother. She is related to you through your father. Never have sexual intercourse with your stepsister, whether she is your father's daughter or your mother's daughter. It makes no difference whether or not she was born in your house. Never have sexual intercourse with your granddaughter, whether she is your son's daughter or your daughter's daughter, because she is related to you. Never have sexual intercourse with the daughter of your father and his wife. She is your own sister. Never have sexual intercourse with your father's sister. She is your paternal aunt. Never have sexual intercourse with your mother's sister. She is your maternal aunt. Never have sexual intercourse with the wife of your father's brother. She, too, is your aunt. Never have sexual intercourse with your daughter-in-law. She is your son's wife. Never have sexual intercourse with her. Never have sexual intercourse with your sister-in-law. She is your brother's wife. Never have sexual intercourse with a woman and her daughter or a woman and her granddaughter. They are related. Doing this is perverted. While your wife is living, never marry her sister as a rival wife and have sexual intercourse with her. Never have sexual intercourse with a woman while she is unclean during her monthly period. Never have sexual intercourse with your neighbor's wife and become unclean with her. Never give your children as sacrifices to the god Molech by burning them alive. If you do, you are dishonoring the name of your God. I am the Lord. Never have sexual intercourse with a man as with a woman. It is disgusting. Never have sexual intercourse with any animal and become unclean with it. A woman must never offer herself to an animal for sexual intercourse. It is unnatural. Do not become unclean in any of these ways. By these practices, all the nations which I am forcing out of your way have become unclean. The land has become unclean. I will punish it for its sins. The land will vomit out those who live in it. Live by my standards and obey my rules. Neither you nor any foreigner should ever do any of these disgusting things. The people of the land who were there before you did all these disgusting things. As a result, the land has become unclean. If you make the land unclean, it will vomit you out as it has vomited out the people who were there before you. Whoever does any of these disgusting things must be excluded from the people. So you must follow my instructions. Don't live by the standards of the people who lived there before you. What they do is disgusting. Never become unclean that way. I am the Lord your God. Leviticus chapter 19. The Lord spoke to Moses. Tell the whole congregation of Israel, Be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Respect your mother and father. Observe my days of worship. I am the Lord your God. 
Don't turn to worthless gods or cast metal idols. Never make any gods for yourselves. I am the Lord your God. When you bring a fellowship offering to the Lord, sacrifice it properly, so that you will be accepted. Eat your sacrifice on the day you bring it, and on the next day. On the third day burn whatever is left over. If you eat any of it on the third day, it is repulsive and will not be accepted. Those who eat it will be punished because they have dishonored what is holy to the Lord. They must be excluded from the people. When you harvest the grain in your land, don't harvest the grain in the corners of your fields, or gather what is left after you're finished. Don't harvest your vineyard a second time, or pick up fallen grapes. Leave them for poor people and foreigners. I am the Lord your God. Never steal, lie, or deceive your neighbor. Never swear by my name in order to deceive anyone. This dishonors the name of your God. I am the Lord. Never oppress or rob your neighbor. Never keep the pay you owe a hired worker overnight. Never curse deaf people or put anything in the way of blind people to make them stumble. Instead, fear your God. I am the Lord. Don't be corrupt when administering justice. Never give special favors to poor people, and never show preference to important people. Judge your neighbor fairly. Never gossip. Never endanger your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Never hate another Israelite. Be sure to correct your neighbor so that you will not be guilty of sinning along with him. Never get revenge. Never hold a grudge against any of your people. Instead, love your neighbor as you love yourself. I am the Lord. Obey my laws. Never crossbreed different kinds of animals. Never plant two kinds of crops in your field. Never wear clothes made from two kinds of material. If a man has sexual intercourse with a female slave who is engaged to another man, and if her freedom was never bought or given to her, they should not be put to death. He will only pay a fine because she is a slave. He must bring a ram for his guilt offering to the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. In the Lord's presence, the priest will use them to make peace with the Lord for this sin. The man will be forgiven for this sin. When you come into the land and plant all kinds of fruit trees, you must not eat the fruit for the first three years. In the fourth year, all the fruit will be a holy offering of praise to the Lord. In the fifth year, you may eat the fruit. Do this to make the trees produce more for you. I am the Lord your God. Never eat any meat with blood still in it. Never cast evil spells and never consult fortune tellers. Never shave the hair on your foreheads and never cut the edges of your beard. Never slash your body to mourn the dead, and never get a tattoo. I am the Lord. Never dishonor your daughter by making her a prostitute, or the country will turn to prostitution and be filled with people who are perverted. Observe my days of worship and respect my holy tent. I am the Lord. Don't turn to psychics or mediums to get help. That will make you unclean. I am the Lord your God. Show respect to the elderly and honor older people. In this way you show respect for your God. I am the Lord. Never mistreat a foreigner living in your land. Foreigners living among you will be like your own people. Love them as you love yourself, because you were foreigners living in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Don't be corrupt when administering justice concerning length, weight, or measuring liquid. Use honest scales, honest weights, and honest measures. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Obey all my laws and all my rules, and live by them. I am the Lord. Leviticus chapter 20 The Lord spoke to Moses, 
Tell the Israelites, if Israelites or foreigners living among you give one of their children as a sacrifice to the god Molech, they must be put to death. The common people must stone them to death. I will condemn them and exclude them from the people. They gave one of their children to Molech, made my holy tent unclean, and dishonored my holy name. If the common people ignore those who give their children to Molech and do not put them to death, I will condemn them and their families. I will exclude them from the people. I will exclude from the people everyone who chases after Molech as if he were a prostitute. I will condemn people who turn to mediums and psychics and chase after them as though they were prostitutes. I will exclude them from the people. Live holy lives. Be holy because I am the Lord your God. Obey my laws and live by them. I am the Lord who sets you apart as holy. Whoever curses his father or mother must be put to death. He has cursed his father or mother and deserves to die. If a man commits adultery with another man's wife or with his neighbor's wife, both he and the woman must be put to death for their adultery. Whoever has sexual intercourse with his father's wife has violated his father's marriage. Both he and his father's wife must be put to death. They deserve to die. If a man has sexual intercourse with his daughter-in-law, both of them must be put to death. They have done a disgusting thing and deserve to die. When a man has sexual intercourse with another man as with a woman, both men are doing something disgusting and must be put to death. They deserve to die. When a man marries a woman and her mother, they have done a perverted thing. The man and the two women must be burned. Never do this perverted thing. A man who has sexual intercourse with an animal must be put to death. You must kill the animal too. When a woman offers herself sexually to any animal, you must kill both the woman and the animal. They must be put to death. They deserve to die. Whoever takes his sister, his father's daughter, or his mother's daughter, and has sexual intercourse, does a shameful thing. They both must be publicly excluded from the people. He has had sexual intercourse with his sister and must be punished. If a man has sexual intercourse with a woman while she has her monthly period, both of them have had sexual intercourse in blood. They must be excluded from the people. Never have sexual intercourse with your mother's sister or your father's sister. Whoever has sexual intercourse with a close relative must be punished. Whoever has sexual intercourse with his uncle's wife violates his uncle's marriage. That man and woman are guilty of sin. They will die without children. Whoever marries his brother's wife violates his brother's marriage and does an unclean thing. That man and woman will have no children. If you carefully obey all my laws and my rules, the land I am bringing you to live in will not vomit you out. Never follow the practices of the people I am forcing out of your way. I cannot stand them because they did all these things. I have told you that you will take their land. I will give it to you as your own. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God who separated you from other people. Separate clean and unclean animals and birds. Never become disgusting by eating any animal or bird or anything that crawls on the ground. I have separated you from every unclean thing. Be my holy people, because I, the Lord, am holy. I have separated you from other people to be my very own. Every man or woman who is a medium or a psychic must be put to death. They must be stoned to death because they deserve to die. Leviticus chapter 21. The Lord spoke to Moses, Tell the priests, Aaron's sons, none of you should become unclean by touching one of your relatives who has died. However, 
you are allowed to become unclean when one of your nearest relatives dies. These relatives include your mother, father, son, daughter, or brother, and especially an unmarried virgin sister who is still close to you. As the head of your people, you should never become unclean. That would make you unholy. You should never mourn by shaving bald spots on your heads, shaving the edges of your beards, or slashing your bodies. Be God's holy men, and don't dishonor the name of your God. Be holy because you bring sacrifices by fire to the Lord. It is the food of your God. You should never marry prostitutes, those who have lost their virginity, or divorced women because a priest is God's holy man. Be holy because you offer the food of your God. Be holy because I, the Lord, am holy. I set you apart as holy. When a priest's daughter dishonors herself by becoming a prostitute, she dishonors her father. She must be burned. The priest who is anointed with oil and wears the chief priest's clothes is chief over his brothers. He must never mourn by leaving his hair uncombed or by tearing his clothes. He must never go near any dead bodies or become unclean, even for his father or mother. He must not leave the holy tent of his God. If he does, he will be dishonoring it, because he is dedicated with the anointing oil of his God. I am the Lord." The anointed priest must marry a virgin. He must never marry a widow, a divorced woman, a woman who has lost her virginity, or a prostitute. He may only marry a virgin from his own people. He must not dishonor his children among his people, because I, the Lord, set him apart as holy. The Lord spoke to Moses, Tell Aaron, If any of your descendants, now or in future generations, has a physical defect, he must never bring food to offer to God. Indeed, no one who has a physical defect may ever come near the altar. That means anyone who is blind or lame, who has a disfigured face, a deformity, or a crippled hand or foot, who is a hunchback or dwarf, who has defective sight, skin diseases, or crushed testicles. If a descendant of the priest, Aaron, has a physical defect, he must never bring sacrifices by fire to the Lord. He has a defect. He must never bring food to offer to God. He may eat the food of his God, what is holy and what is very holy. However, he must never come up to the canopy or to the altar, since he has a physical defect. He must never dishonor the holy places, because I, the Lord, set them apart as holy. So Moses spoke to Aaron and his sons, and to all the Israelites. Leviticus chapter 22. The Lord spoke to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons that they must respect the holy offerings which the Israelites set apart for me. In this way they will not dishonor my holy name. I am the Lord. Tell them, In future generations, if any of your descendants, while unclean, comes near the holy offerings the Israelites set apart for the Lord, that person must be excluded from my presence. I am the Lord. No descendant of Aaron who has a skin disease or a discharge may eat any of the holy offerings until he is clean. Any person who has an omission of semen or touches a dead body an unclean swarming creature or an unclean person will be unclean until evening. He must not eat any of the holy offerings unless he has washed himself. When the sun has set, he will be clean. Then he may eat the holy offerings because they are his food. He must never eat the meat of an animal that dies naturally or is killed by wild animals. It will make him unclean. I am the Lord. The priests must do what I order, or their sin will bring them death because they dishonored a holy offering. I am the Lord who sets them apart as holy. Lay people must never eat any holy offering, even if they are visiting a priest or are working for him. 
But if a priest buys a slave, the slave and anyone born in his household may eat the priest's food. However, if a priest's daughter marries a layman, she must never eat the food taken from the holy contributions. If a priest's daughter is widowed or divorced, doesn't have any children, and comes back to live in her father's home, she may eat her father's food. But a layperson must never eat it. Those who eat a holy offering by mistake must give another holy offering to the priest and add one-fifth more to it. Priests must not dishonor the holy offerings that the Israelites contribute to the Lord. They must make those people pay the penalty for their guilt, because they have eaten the priest's holy offerings. I am the Lord who sets them apart as holy. The Lord spoke to Moses, Tell Aaron, his sons, and all the Israelites, Israelites or foreigners may bring burnt offerings to the Lord for anything they vowed or as freewill offerings. The offering must be a male that has no defects from your cattle, sheep, or goats in order to be accepted. Never bring any animal with a physical defect, because it will not be accepted on your behalf. A person may bring the Lord a fellowship offering to fulfill a vow or for a free will offering. Whether it is from the cattle, sheep, or goats, it must be an animal that has no defects in order to be accepted. It must never be an animal that has defects. Never bring the Lord an animal that is blind, has broken bones, cuts, warts, scabs, or ringworm. Never give the Lord any of these in a sacrifice by fire on the altar. You may use a bull or a sheep with a deformity, or one that is stunted in growth as a free will offering. However, it will not be accepted for a vow. Never bring the Lord an animal that has bruised, crushed, torn out, or cut out testicles. Never do any of these things to an animal in your land. Never bring any kind of castrated animal received from a foreigner as a food offering for your God. A castrated animal will not be accepted on your behalf, because castration is a physical defect. The Lord spoke to Moses, When a calf, a lamb, or a goat is born, it must stay with its mother for seven days. From the eighth day on, it may be accepted as a sacrifice by fire to the Lord. Never slaughter a cow or a sheep and its young the same day. When you sacrifice a thank-offering to the Lord, do it in the proper way. Eat it the same day. Never leave any of it until morning. I am the Lord. Carefully obey my commands. I am the Lord. Never dishonor my holy name. I will show my holiness among the Israelites. I am the Lord, who sets you apart as holy. I brought you out of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. Leviticus chapter 23. The Lord spoke to Moses. Tell the Israelites, These are the appointed festivals with the Lord, which you must announce as holy assemblies. You may work for six days, but the seventh day is a day of worship, a day when you don't work, a holy assembly. Don't do any work. It is the Lord's day of worship wherever you live. The following are the Lord's appointed festivals with holy assemblies, which you must announce at their appointed times. The fourteenth day of the first month in the evening is the Lord's Passover. The fifteenth day of this same month is the Lord's festival of unleavened bread. For seven days you must eat unleavened bread. On the first day there will be a holy assembly. Don't do any regular work. Bring the Lord a sacrifice by fire for seven days. On the seventh day there will be a holy assembly. Don't do any regular work. The Lord spoke to Moses, Tell the Israelites, When you come to the land I am going to give you, and you harvest grain, bring the priest a bundle of the first grain you harvest. He will present it to the Lord so that you will be accepted. He will present it on the day after Passover. 
On the day you present the bundle, you must sacrifice a one-year-old male lamb that has no defects as a burnt offering to the Lord. Bring a grain offering of four quarts of flour mixed with olive oil with it. This will be a sacrifice by fire made to the Lord, a soothing aroma. Use one quart of wine for the wine offering. Don't eat bread, roasted grain, or fresh grain until this same day when you bring the offering to your God. It is a permanent law for generations to come wherever you live. Count seven full weeks from the day after Passover, the day you bring the bundle of grain as an offering presented to the Lord, until the day after the seventh week. This is a total of fifty days. Then bring a new grain offering to the Lord. Bring two loaves of bread from your homes to present to the Lord. Bake them with four quarts of flour. They are the first harvested grain for the Lord. With the bread bring seven one-year-old lambs that have no defects, one bull and two rams. They will be a burnt offering to the Lord. With these offerings also bring grain and wine offerings. They will be a sacrifice by fire, a soothing aroma to the Lord. Also sacrifice one male goat as an offering for sin, and two one-year-old lambs as a fellowship offering. The priest must present them along with the bread of the first harvested grain as an offering to the Lord. All this, along with the two lambs, will be holy and will belong to the Lord's priests. Make an announcement that there will be a holy assembly on that same day. Don't do any regular work. It is a permanent law for generations to come wherever you live. When you harvest the grain in your land, don't harvest the grain in the corners of your fields or gather what is left after you're finished. Leave it for poor people and foreigners. I am the Lord your God. The Lord spoke to Moses. Tell the Israelites, on the first day of the seventh month, hold a worship festival. It will be a memorial day, a holy assembly announced by the blowing of ram's horns. Don't do any regular work. Bring a sacrifice by fire to the Lord. The Lord spoke to Moses. In addition, the tenth day of this seventh month is a special day for the payment for sins. There will be a holy assembly. Humble yourselves and bring the Lord a sacrifice by fire. Don't do any work that day. It is a special day for the payment for sins. It is a time when you make peace with the Lord your God. Those who do not humble themselves on that day will be excluded from the people. I will kill those who do any work on that day. Don't do any work. It is a permanent law for generations to come, wherever you live. It is a day of worship, a day when you don't work. Humble yourselves, starting on the evening of the ninth day of the month. From that evening to the next, observe the day of worship. The Lord spoke to Moses, Tell the Israelites, The fifteenth day of this seventh month is the festival of booths to the Lord. It will last seven days. On the first day there will be a holy assembly. Don't do any regular work. For seven consecutive days bring a sacrifice by fire to the Lord. On the eighth day there will be a holy assembly. Bring the Lord a sacrifice by fire. This is the last festival of the year. Don't do any regular work. These are the Lord's appointed festivals. Announce them as holy assemblies for bringing sacrifices by fire to the Lord. Bring burnt offerings, grain offerings, other sacrifices, and wine offerings, each one on its special day. This is in addition to the Lord's days of worship, your gifts, all your vows, and your free will offerings to the Lord. However, on the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when you have gathered what the land produces, celebrate the Lord's festival for seven days. The first and the eighth days will be worship festivals. On the first day, take the best fruits, palm branches, the branches of leafy trees and poplars, 
and celebrate in the presence of the Lord your God for seven days. It is the Lord's festival. Celebrate it for seven days each year. This is a permanent law for generations to come. Celebrate this festival in the seventh month. Live in booths for seven days. Everyone born in Israel must live in booths, so that generations to come may learn how I made the people of Israel live in booths when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So Moses told the Israelites about the Lord's appointed festivals. Leviticus chapter 24. The Lord spoke to Moses, Command the Israelites to bring you pure virgin olive oil for the lampstand so that the lamps won't go out. In the tent of meeting, outside the canopy where the words of my promise are, Aaron must keep the lamps lit in the Lord's presence from evening until morning. It is a permanent law for generations to come. Aaron must keep the lamps on the pure gold lampstand lit in the Lord's presence. Also take flour and bake twelve rings of bread. Each ring will contain four quarts of flour. Put them in two stacks of six each on the gold table in the Lord's presence. Lay pure incense on top of each stack. The incense on the bread will be a reminder, an offering by fire to the Lord. Every day of worship, a priest must arrange the bread in the Lord's presence. It is a continual reminder of my promise to the Israelites. The bread will belong to Aaron and his sons. They will eat it in a holy place. It is very holy, set apart from the Lord's offering by fire. This is a permanent law. A man whose mother was Shelemith, daughter of Debri from the tribe of Dan in Israel, and whose father was from Egypt, got into a quarrel with an Israelite in the camp. The Israelite woman's son began cursing the Lord's name and treating it with contempt. So they brought him to Moses. They kept him in custody until the Lord told them what to do. The Lord spoke to Moses. The man who cursed my name must be taken outside the camp. All who heard him curse my name must lay their hands on his head. Then the whole congregation must stone him to death. Also tell the Israelites, Those who treat their God with contempt will be punished for their sin. But those who curse the Lord's name must be put to death. The whole congregation must stone them to death. It makes no difference whether they are Israelites or foreigners. Whoever curses the Lord's name must die. Whoever kills another person must be put to death. Whoever kills an animal must replace it life for life. Whoever injures a neighbor must receive the same injury in return. A broken bone for a broken bone, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Whoever injures another person must receive the same injury in return. Whoever kills an animal must replace it. Whoever kills a person must be put to death. The same rule applies to every one of you. It makes no difference whether you are a foreigner or an Israelite, because I am the Lord your God. Moses spoke to the people of Israel. So the man who had cursed the Lord's name was taken outside the camp. There they stoned him to death, as the Lord commanded Moses. The Israelites did as the Lord commanded Moses. Leviticus chapter 25. The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai. Tell the Israelites, when you come into the land I am giving you, the land will celebrate a year to honor the Lord. Then for six years you may plant crops in your fields, prune your vineyards, and gather what they produce. However, the seventh year will be a festival year for the land. It will be a year to honor the Lord. Don't plant crops in your fields or prune your vineyards. Don't harvest what grows by itself or harvest grapes from your vines. That year will be a festival for the land. Whatever the land produces during that year is for all of you to eat. For you, your male and female slaves, your hired workers, foreigners among you, your animals and the wild animals in your land. Everything the land produces will be yours to eat. 
count seven of these years seven times for a total of 49 years. On the tenth day of the seventh month, the special day for the payment for sin, sound ram's horns throughout the country. Set apart the fiftieth year as holy, and proclaim liberty to everyone living in the land. This is your jubilee year. Every slave will be freed in order to return to his property and to his family. That fifteenth year will be your jubilee year. Don't plant or harvest what grows by itself, or pick grapes from the vines in the land. The jubilee year will be holy to you. You will eat what the field itself produces. In this jubilee year, every slave will be freed in order to return to his property. If you sell anything to your neighbor or buy anything from him, don't take advantage of him. When you buy property from your neighbor, take into account the number of years since the jubilee. Your neighbor must sell it to you, taking into account the number of crops until the next jubilee. If there are still many years until the jubilee, you will pay more for it. If there are only a few years until the jubilee, you will pay less for it because he is selling you only the number of crops. Never take advantage of each other. Fear your God, because I am the Lord your God. Obey my laws and carefully follow my rules. Then you will live securely in the land. The land will give you its products, and you will eat all you want and live there securely. You may ask, What will we eat in the seventh year if we do not plant or bring in our crops? I will give you my blessing in the sixth year, so that the land will produce enough for three years. You will plant again in the eighth year, but live on what the land already produced. You will eat it, even in the ninth year, until the land produces more. Land must never be sold permanently, because the land is mine. To me you are strangers without permanent homes. People must always have the right to buy their property back. If your brother becomes poor and sells some of his property, then the one who can assume responsibility, his nearest relative, must buy back what he sold. If a man doesn't have anyone to buy it back for him, but if he prospers and earns enough to buy it back himself, he must count the years from its sale. Then he will pay what is left to the man to whom he sold it, and it will be his property again. However, if he cannot earn enough to buy it back, what he sold stays in the hands of the buyer until the year of jubilee. In the jubilee it will be released, and he will own it again. If anyone sells a home in a walled city for one year after selling it, he has the right to buy it back. He may buy it back only within that time. If he does not buy it back during that year, the house in the city belongs to the buyer for generations to come. It will not be released in the jubilee. However, houses in villages without walls are regarded as belonging to the fields of the land. They can be bought back. They will be released in the Jubilee. The Levites always have the right to buy back their property in the cities they own. If any Levite buys back a house in the Jubilee, the purchased house in the city will be released, because the houses in the Levite cities are their property among the Israelites. But a field that belongs to their cities must not be sold, because it is their permanent property. If an Israelite becomes poor and cannot support himself, help him. He must live with you as a stranger without a permanent home. Don't collect interest or make any profit from him. Fear your God by respecting other Israelites' lives. Never collect any kind of interest on your money or on the food you give them. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt to give you Canaan and to be your God. If an Israelite becomes poor and sells himself to you, don't work him like a slave. He will be like a hired worker or a visitor to you. He may work with you until the year of Jubilee. Then you will release him and his children to go back to their family and the property of their ancestors. 
They are my servants. I brought them out of Egypt. They must never be sold as slaves. Do not treat them harshly. Fear your God. You may have male and female slaves, but buy them from the nations around you. You may also buy them from the foreigners living among you and from their families born in your country. They will be your property. You may acquire them for yourselves and for your descendants as permanent property. You may work them as slaves. However, do not treat the Israelites harshly. They are your relatives. Someone who is a foreigner without a permanent home among you may become rich, and your relative living with him may be poor. The poor Israelite may sell himself to that foreigner or a member of his family. After he has sold himself, he has the right to be bought back. One of his brothers may buy him back. His uncle, his cousin, or some other relative could also buy him back. If he becomes rich, he could buy his own freedom. Then he and his buyer must take into account the number of years from the year he was bought until the year of Jubilee. His sale price will be adjusted based on the number of years he was with his buyer, like the wages of a hired worker. If there are many years left, he must refund from his purchase price an amount equal to those years. If there are only a few years left until the year of Jubilee, he must take them into account. He must refund from his purchase price an amount equal to those years. During those years, he should serve his buyer as a hired worker. His buyer should not treat him harshly. If he cannot buy his freedom in these ways, he and his children will be released in the year of Jubilee. The Israelites belong to me as servants. They are my servants. I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Leviticus chapter 26. The Lord continued, Never make worthless idols or set up a carved statue or a sacred stone for yourselves. Never cut figures in stone to worship them in your country, because I am the Lord your God. Observe my days of worship and respect my holy tent. I am the Lord. This is what I will do if you will live by my laws and carefully obey my commands. I will give you rain at the right time. The land will produce its crops, and the trees in the field will produce their fruit. Threshing time will last until grape-gathering, and grape-gathering will last until planting. You will eat all you want and live securely in your land. I will bring peace to your land. You will lie down with no one to scare you. I will remove dangerous animals, and there will be no war in your land. You will chase your enemies, and you will defeat them. Five of you will chase a hundred of them, and a hundred of you will chase ten thousand of them. You will defeat your enemies, and I will be pleased with you. Your families will be large, and I will keep my promise to you. You will clear out old food supplies to make room for new ones. I will put my tent among you, and I will never look at you with disgust. So I will live among you and be your God, and you will be my people. I am the Lord your God. I brought you out of Egypt so that you are no longer slaves of the Egyptians. I have broken their power over you and made you live as a free people. If you will not listen to me and obey all these commands, if you reject my laws and look at my rules with disgust, if you reject my promise by disobeying my commands, then this is what I will do to you. I will terrorize you with disease and fever. You will suffer from eye problems and depression. You will plant your crops and get nothing because your enemies will eat them. I will condemn you so that you will go down in defeat in front of your enemies. Those who hate you will be your rulers. You will run away even when no one is chasing you. If you still will not listen to me, I will discipline you seven times for your sins. I will crush your arrogance. You will have no rain, and your land will be as hard as cement. 
you will work hard for nothing because your land will produce no crops and the trees will produce no fruit. If you resist and don't listen to me, I will increase the punishment for your sin seven times. I will send wild animals among you. They will rob you of your children, destroy your cattle, and make you so few that your roads will be deserted. If this discipline does not help and you still resist, then I, too, will resist you. I will punish you seven times for your sins. I will bring war on you to get revenge for my promise that you rejected. When you gather in your cities, I will send plagues on you, and you will fall under the control of your enemy. I will destroy your food supply. Ten women will need only one oven to prepare your food. You will eat and go away hungry. If in spite of this you do not listen to me and still resist me, I will fiercely resist you. I will discipline you seven times for your sins. You will eat the bodies of your sons and daughters. I will destroy your worship sites, cut down your incense altars, and pile your dead bodies on top of your dead idols. I will look at you with disgust. I will make your cities deserted and ruin your sacred places. I will no longer accept the soothing aroma from your sacrifices. I will make your land so deserted that your enemies will be shocked as they settle in it. I will scatter you among the nations. War will follow you. Your country will be in ruins. Your cities will be deserted. Then the land will enjoy its time to honor the Lord, while it lies deserted and you are in your enemy's land. Then the land will joyfully celebrate its time to honor the Lord. All the days it lies deserted, it will celebrate the time to honor the Lord. It never celebrated while you lived there. I will fill with despair those who are left in the land of their enemies. The sound of a wind-blown leaf will make them run. They will run away and fall, but no one will be chasing them. They will stumble over each other, but no one will be after them. They will not be able to stand up to their enemies. They will be destroyed among the nations. The land of their enemies will devour them. Those who are left will waste away in the lands of their enemies because of their sins and the sins of their ancestors. But if they confess their sins and the sins of their ancestors, the treacherous things they did to oppose me, I will oppose them and bring them into the lands of their enemies. Then, if they humble their uncircumcised hearts and accept their guilt, I will remember my promise to Jacob, Isaac, and Abraham. I will also remember the land. The land abandoned by them will enjoy its time to honor the Lord while it lies deserted without them. They must accept their guilt because they rejected my rules and looked at my laws with disgust. Even when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not reject them or look at them with disgust. I will not reject or cancel my promise to them, because I am the Lord their God. But for their sake I will remember the promise to their ancestors. I brought them out of Egypt to be their God, while nations looked on. I am the Lord. These are the laws, rules, and instructions that the Lord gave to the Israelites through Moses on Mount Sinai. Leviticus chapter 27. The Lord spoke to Moses. Tell the Israelites, if any of you makes a special vow to give a person to the Lord, you may give money instead of the person. The amount you must give for a man from twenty to sixty years old is twenty ounces of silver. Use the standard weight of the holy place. If it is a woman, give twelve ounces. For a boy from five to twenty years old, give eight ounces. And for a girl, give four ounces. For a boy from one month to five years old, give two ounces of silver. And for a girl, give about one ounce. For a man sixty years or over, give six ounces, and for a woman give four ounces. 
but the person who is too poor to pay the required amount must stand in front of the priest. The priest will determine the amount based on what the person can afford. If the vow is to give the kind of animal that people offer to the Lord, it will be considered holy. Don't exchange or substitute animals, a good one for a bad one, or a bad one for a good one. If you do exchange one animal for another, then both animals will be holy. If it is an unclean animal that cannot be brought to the Lord as an offering, bring it in front of the priest. The priest will determine what its value is. The value will be whatever the priest decides. If you want to buy it back, you must pay its full value plus one-fifth more. If you give your house to the Lord as something holy, the priest will determine what its value is. The value will be whatever the priest decides. If you want to buy it back, you must pay its full value plus one-fifth more. If a person gives part of a field to the Lord as something holy, its value will be based on the seed planted on it. Ground planted with two quarts of barley will be worth twenty ounces of silver. If you give your field in the jubilee year, it will have its full value. But if you give the field after the jubilee year, the priest will estimate its value based on the number of years left until the next jubilee year. If you want to buy it back, you must pay its full value plus one-fifth more. But if you don't buy it back and it is sold to someone else, you cannot buy it back. When the field is released in the jubilee year, it will be holy like a field claimed by the Lord. It will become the property of the priest. You may give a field you bought, not one that was a part of your family property, to the Lord as something holy. The priest must figure out the field's value until the jubilee year. You will pay its value on that day as something holy belonging to the Lord. In the jubilee year, the field will go back to the person from whom it was bought, to whom it belongs as family property. All values will be set using the standard weight of the holy place. A firstborn animal already belongs to the Lord because it was born first. Therefore, it cannot be set apart as holy. Whether it is a bull or a sheep, it belongs to the Lord. But if it is an unclean animal, it must be bought back. The payment will be its full value plus one-fifth more. If it is not bought back, it must be sold at the value given it. However, everything dedicated to the Lord for destruction, a person, an animal, or a field that belongs to you, must not be sold or bought back. Everything dedicated in that way is very holy. It belongs to the Lord. People dedicated this way cannot be bought back. They must be put to death. One-tenth of what comes from the land, whether grain or fruit, is holy and belongs to the Lord. If you buy back any part of it, you must add one-fifth more to it. Every tenth head of cattle or sheep that you counted is holy and belongs to the Lord. You must not look to see if it is good or bad, or exchange it. But if you do exchange it, both the first animal and its substitute will be holy. They cannot be bought back. These are the commands the Lord gave Moses on Mount Sinai for the Israelites. Leviticus, Numbers, Chapter 1. The Lord spoke to Moses in the tent of meeting in the desert of Sinai. It was the first day of the second month, in the second year after leaving Egypt. He said, Take a census of the whole community of Israel by families and households. List every man by name who is at least twenty years old. You and Aaron must register everyone in Israel who is eligible for military duty. List them by divisions. One man from each tribe will help you. Each of these men must be the head of a household. Here are the names of the men who will help you. Elizur, son of Shedeur, from the tribe of Reuben. Shelumiel, son of Zerishadai, from the tribe of Simeon. Nashon, son of Aminadab, from the tribe of Judah. Nathanel, son of Zuar, from the tribe of Issachar. 
Eliab, son of Helon, from the tribe of Zebulun, Elishama, son of Amahud, from the tribe of Ephraim, Gamaliel, son of Perizur, from the tribe of Manasseh, Ephraim and Manasseh are Joseph's descendants, Abidan, son of Gideoni, from the tribe of Benjamin, Ahazer, son of Amishadai, from the tribe of Dan, Pajiel, son of Okran, from the tribe of Asher, Eliasaph, son of Deuel, from the tribe of Gad, Ahira, son of Enon, from the tribe of Naphtali. These are the men chosen from the community, the leaders of their ancestors' tribes, and heads of the divisions of Israel. Moses and Aaron took the men who had been named and assembled the whole community on the first day of the second month. Each man, at least twenty years old, provided his genealogy by family and household. Then his name was listed. So Moses registered the men of Israel in the desert of Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him. The roster of families and households for the descendants of Reuben, Israel's firstborn son, listed every man by name who was at least twenty years old and eligible for military duty. The total for the tribe of Reuben was 46,500. The roster of families and households for the descendants of Simeon registered and listed every man by name who was at least 20 years old and eligible for military duty. The total for the tribe of Simeon was 59,300. The roster of families and households for the descendants of Gad listed the men by name who were at least 20 years old and eligible for military duty. The total for the tribe of Gad was 45,650. The roster of families and households for the descendants of Judah listed the men by name who were at least 20 years old and eligible for military duty. The total for the tribe of Judah was 74,600. The roster of families and households for the descendants of Issachar listed the men by name who were at least 20 years old and eligible for military duty. The total for the tribe of Issachar was 54,400. The roster of families and households for the descendants of Zebulun listed the men by name who were at least 20 years old and eligible for military duty. The total for the tribe of Zebulun was 57,400. The roster of families and households for the descendants of Joseph, those from Ephraim, listed the men by name who were at least 20 years old and eligible for military duty. The total for the tribe of Ephraim was 40,500. The roster of families and households for the descendants of Manasseh listed the men by name who were at least 20 years old and eligible for military duty. The total for the tribe of Manasseh was 32,200. The roster of families and households for the descendants of Benjamin listed the men by name who were at least 20 years old and eligible for military duty. The total for the tribe of Benjamin was 35,400. The roster of families and households for the descendants of Dan listed the men by name who were at least 20 years old and eligible for military duty. The total for the tribe of Dan was 62,700. The roster of families and households for the descendants of Asher listed the men by name who were at least 20 years old and eligible for military duty. The total for the tribe of Asher was 41,500. The roster of families and households for the descendants of Naphtali listed the men, by name, who were at least 20 years old and eligible for military duty. The total for the tribe of Naphtali was 53,400. Moses, Aaron, and the twelve leaders of Israel, each representing his own family, added up these totals. So the Israelites were registered by households. The grand total of men who were at least 20 years old and eligible for military duty was 603,550. But the households from the tribe of Levi were not registered along with the other Israelites. The Lord had said to Moses, Don't register the tribe of Levi or include them in the census with the other Israelites. Put the Levites in charge of the tent of God's words, including the equipment for the tent and everything else having to do with the tent. 
The Levites will carry the tent and all its equipment. They will take care of the tent and camp around it. When the tent has to be moved, the Levites will take it down. When we camp, they will set it up. Anyone else who comes near the tent will be put to death. The other Israelites will camp with each family in its own area under its own flag. The Levites will camp all around the tent of God's words. In this way, the Lord won't be angry with the community of Israel. So the Levites will be in charge of the tent of God's words. The Israelites did everything as the Lord commanded Moses. Numbers chapter 2. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron. The Israelites will put up their tents with each family under the flag that symbolizes its household. They will put their tents around the tent of meeting, facing it. On the east side, facing the rising sun, the armies led by Judah will camp under their flag. The leader for the people of Judah is Nashon, son of Aminadab. The total number of men in his army is 74,600. Next to them will be the tribe of Issachar. The leader for the people of Issachar is Nathanel, son of Zuar. The total number of men in his army is 54,400. Then will be the tribe of Zebulun. The leader for the people of Zebulun is Eliab, son of Helon. The total number of men in his army is 57,400. The grand total of all the troops in Judah's camp is 186,400. They will be the first group to move out. On the south side, the armies led by Reuben will camp under their flag. The leader for the people of Reuben is Elizur, son of Shediur. The total number of men in his army is 46,500. Next to them will be the tribe of Simeon. The leader for the people of Simeon is Shalumiel, son of Zerishadai. The total number of men in his army is 59,300. Then will be the tribe of Gad. The leader for the people of Gad is Eliasaf, son of Deuel. The total number of men in his army is 45,650. The grand total of all the troops in Reuben's camp is 151,450. They will be the second group to move out. When the tent of meeting is moved, the Levites will stay in the middle of the groups. The tribes will move out in the same order as they are in the camp, everyone in place under his own flag. On the west side, the armies led by Ephraim will camp under their flag. The leader for the people of Ephraim is Elishama, son of Amichud. The total number of men in his army is 40,500. Next to them will be the tribe of Manasseh. The leader for the people of Manasseh is Gamaliel, son of Perajur. The total number of men in his army is 32,200. Then will be the tribe of Benjamin. The leader for the people of Benjamin is Abidan, son of Gideoni. The total number of men in his army is 35,400. The grand total of all the troops in Ephraim's camp is 108,100. They will be the third group to move out. On the north side, the armies led by Dan will camp under their flag. The leader for the people of Dan is Ahazer, son of Amishadai. The total number of men in his army is 62,700. Next to them will be the tribe of Asher. The leader for the people of Asher is Pajel, son of Okran. The total number of men in his army is 41,500. Then will be the tribe of Naphtali. The leader for the people of Naphtali is Zahira, son of Anan. The total number of men in his army is 53,400. The grand total of all the men in Dan's camp is 157,600. They will be the last group to move out. They will travel under their own flag. This is the total number of Israelites counted by households. The grand total of all the troops in the camps was 603,550. As the Lord had commanded Moses, the Levites were not registered along with the other Israelites. So the Israelites did everything as the Lord had commanded Moses. They set up camp under their flags, and each person traveled with his own family and household. Numbers chapter 3. This is the list of Aaron and Moses' descendants at the time when the Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai. 
The names of Aaron's sons are Nadab, the firstborn, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. These are the names of Aaron's sons, the anointed priests, who were ordained to serve as priests. Nadab and Abihu died in the Lord's presence, because they offered unauthorized fire in his presence in the desert of Sinai. They had no children. So only Eleazar and Ithamar served as priests during the lifetime of their father Aaron. The Lord said to Moses, Bring the tribe of Levi, and have them stand in front of the priest Aaron to assist him. They will work for him and the whole community in front of the tent of meeting, doing what needs to be done for the inner tent. They will take care of all the furnishings in the tent of meeting, and work for the Israelites, doing what needs to be done for the inner tent. Give the Levites to Aaron and his sons. The Levites will be the only Israelites given to them. Appoint Aaron and his sons to serve as priests. Anyone else who tries to do the priest duties must be put to death. The Lord said to Moses, Out of all the Israelites I have taken the Levites to be substitutes for every firstborn male offspring among them. The Levites are mine, because every firstborn is mine. The day I killed every firstborn male in Egypt, I set apart as holy every firstborn in Israel, whether human or animal. They will be mine. I am the Lord. The Lord said to Moses in the desert of Sinai, Count the Levites by households and families. Count every male who was at least one month old. So Moses did what the Lord said, and registered them as he had been commanded. Gershon, Kohath, and Merari were the sons of Levi. Libni and Shimei were the sons of Gershon. Their families were named after them. Amram, Ishar, Hebron, and Uziel were the sons of Kohath. Their families were named after them. Mali and Mushi were the sons of Merari. Their families were named after them. These were the households of Levite families. To Gershon belonged the families descended from Libni and Shimei. These were the families descended from Gershon. The total number of all the males at least one month old was 7,500. The families descended from Gershon put up their tents on the west side behind the tent of meeting. The leader of the Gershonite households was Eliasaph, son of Lael. At the tent of meeting, the Gershonites were in charge of the inner tent, the outer tent and cover, the screen for the entrance to the tent of meeting, the curtains for the courtyard, the screen for the entrance to the courtyard that surrounds the inner tent, and the altar and the ropes. They took care of all these things. To Kohath belonged the families descended from Amram, Ishar, Hebron, and Uziel. These were the families descended from Kohath. The number of all the males at least one month old was 8,600. They were in charge of the holy place. The families descended from Kohath put up their tents on the south side of the tent of meeting. The leader of the Kohathite families and households was Elisaphon, son of Uziel. They were in charge of the ark, the table, the lampstand, the altars, the utensils used in the holy place, and the screen. They took care of all these things. The chief leader of the Levites was Eleazar, son of the priest Aaron. It was Eleazar's duty to supervise those who were in charge of the holy place. To Morari belonged the families descended from Mali and Mushi. These were the families descended from Morari. The total number of all the males, at least one month old, was 6,200. The leader of the Mararite families and households was Zuriel, son of Abahel. They put up their tents on the north side of the tent of meeting. It was the duty of the Mararites to be in charge of the framework of the inner tent, the crossbars, posts, sockets, and all the equipment. They took care of all these things. They also took care of the posts for the surrounding courtyard, the bases, pegs, and ropes. Moses, Aaron, and his sons put up their tents on the east side in front of the tent of meeting. They were in charge of the holy place on behalf of the Israelites. Anyone else who tried to do the Levites' duties had to be put to death. 
The grand total of Levites that Moses and Aaron counted at the Lord's command by families, every male who was at least one month old, was twenty-two thousand. The Lord said to Moses, Register every firstborn male of the Israelites who was at least one month old, and make a list of their names. I am the Lord. Take the Levites for me to be substitutes for all firstborn Israelites. Also take the animals of the Levites to be substitutes for all firstborn animals of the Israelites. So Moses registered all the firstborn Israelites as the Lord commanded him. The total of all the firstborn males at least one month old was 22,273. They were listed by name. The Lord said to Moses, Take the Levites to be substitutes for all the firstborn Israelites and the animals of the Levites to be substitutes for their animals. The Levites will be mine. I am the Lord. There are 273 more firstborn male Israelites than there are Levites. It will cost you two ounces of silver per person using the standard weight of the holy place to buy them back. Give the silver to Aaron and his sons. It will buy back those Israelites who outnumber the Levites. So Moses took this ransom money from the Israelites who outnumbered the Levites. The silver Moses collected for the firstborn Israelites weighed thirty-four pounds using the standard weight of the holy place. Then Moses did what the Lord said, and gave Aaron and his sons this ransom money, as he had been commanded. Numbers chapter 4. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take a census of the Levites who are descended from Kohath, list them by families and households. Register all the men between the ages of thirty and fifty who are qualified to work at the tent of meeting. This is the work the Kohathites will do in the tent of meeting. They will take care of the most holy things. When the camp is supposed to move, Aaron and his sons will go in and take down the canopy that hangs over the ark containing the words of God's promise. First, they will cover the ark with a canopy. Over this, they will put a covering of fine leather. On top of that, they will spread a cloth made entirely of violet material. Then they will put the poles in place. They will spread a violet cloth over the table of the presence and put on it the plates, dishes, bowls, and pitchers for the wine offerings. The bread that is always in the Lord's presence will also be on it. They will spread a bright red cloth over everything on the table. They will cover all this with fine leather. Then they will put the poles in place. They will take a violet cloth and cover the lampstand, as well as the lamps, tongs, trays, and all the containers for the olive oil used in the lamps. Then they will put the lampstand and all its utensils under a covering of fine leather and put them on a frame to carry them. They will spread a violet cloth over the gold altar and cover the cloth with fine leather. Then they will put the poles in place. They will take all the articles that are used in the holy place, put them in a violet cloth, cover that with fine leather, and put them on a frame to carry them. After they take the ashes away, they will spread a purple cloth over the altar. Next they will put all the accessories used at the altar on it. These are the trays, forks, shovels, and bowls, all the altar's accessories. They will spread a covering of fine leather over all this. Then they will put the poles in place. When Aaron and his sons have finished covering the holy things and the camp is ready to move, the Kohathites will come to carry all the holy articles. They must never touch the holy things or they will die. The Kohathites will carry all the things from the tent of meeting. Eleazar, son of the priest Aaron, will be in charge of the oil for the lamps, the sweet-smelling incense, the daily grain offering, and the anointing oil. He is in charge of the whole tent and everything in it, the holy place and its contents. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Don't let the Kohathite families from Levi's tribe be destroyed. This is what you must do so that they won't die when they come near the most holy things. Aaron and his sons will go into the holy place and tell each man what he will do and what he will carry. 
But the Kohathites must not go in to look at the holy things, even for a moment, or they will die. The Lord said to Moses, Also take a census of the Gershonites. List them by households and families. Register all the men between the ages of thirty and fifty who are qualified to serve at the tent of meeting. This is what the Gershonite families will do and what they will carry. They will carry the sheets that are part of the inner tent and the tent of meeting. They will also carry the inner cover for the tent of meeting, the outer cover of fine leather that goes over it, the screen for the entrance to the tent of meeting, the curtains for the courtyard around the tent and the altar, the screen for the entrance to the courtyard, the ropes and all the equipment used to set up the curtains. The Gershonites will do everything that needs to be done with these things. All their work, whatever they carry, and all their duties will be done under the direction of Aaron and his sons. You are in charge of telling them everything they're supposed to carry. This is the work of the Gershonite families in the tent of meeting. Ithamar, son of the priest Aaron, will be in charge of them. Register the Marorites by families and households. Register all the men between the ages of thirty and fifty who are qualified to serve at the tent of meeting. These are their duties as they work at the tent of meeting. They will carry the framework for the inner tent, the crossbars, posts, and sockets, the posts for the surrounding courtyard, the bases, pegs, and ropes. They must take care of all this equipment. Tell each man by name the things he will carry. This is what the Mararite families will do as they work at the tent of meeting. Ithamar, son of the priest Aaron, will be in charge of them. Moses, Aaron, and the leaders of the community registered the Kohathites by their families and households. They registered all the men between the ages of thirty and fifty who were qualified to work at the tent of meeting. The total of those who were registered was 2,750. They were listed by families. This was the total of all those in the Kohathite families who served at the tent of meeting. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord had commanded Moses and registered the Kohathites. The Gershonites were registered by families and households. All the men between the ages of thirty and fifty who were qualified to serve at the tent of meeting were registered. The total of those who were registered was 2,630. They were listed by families and households. This was the total of all those in the Gershonite families who worked at the tent of meeting. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord had commanded Moses and registered the Gershonites. The Mararites were registered by families and households. All the men between the ages of thirty and fifty who were qualified to serve at the tent of meeting were registered. The total of all those who were registered was 3,200. They were listed by families. This was the total of those registered in the Mararite families. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord had commanded Moses and registered the Mararites. The grand total of all the Levites whom Moses, Aaron, and the leaders of Israel registered was 8,580. They were listed by families and households. These were the men between the ages of 30 and 50 who were qualified to do the work of serving and who carried the tent of meeting. At the Lord's command through Moses, each man was registered and told what to do and what to carry. So they were registered as the Lord commanded Moses. Numbers chapter 5. The Lord said to Moses, Command the Israelites to send outside the camp anyone who has a serious skin disease or a discharge or anyone who is unclean from touching a dead body. Send all these unclean men and women outside the camp. They must not make this camp where I live among you unclean. So the Israelites did as the Lord had told Moses. They sent these unclean people outside the camp. The Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites, if you do something wrong to another person, you have been unfaithful to the Lord. When you realize your guilt, you must confess your sin, pay in full for what you did wrong, add one-fifth to it, and give it to the person who was wronged. But there may be no heir to whom the payment can be made. 
In that case, the payment for what you did wrong must be given to the Lord for the priest to use. This payment is in addition to the ram which makes peace with the Lord. Any contribution over and above the holy offerings that the Israelites bring to the priest will belong to the priest. Each person's holy offerings will belong to that person. But whatever is given to the priest will belong to the priest. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and tell them, A man's wife may have been unfaithful to him and may have had sexual intercourse with another man without her husband's knowledge. She may have kept it secret if there were no witnesses to accuse her, and she wasn't caught in the act. A husband may have a fit of jealousy and suspect his wife, whether she was actually unfaithful or not. He must then take his wife to the priest along with eight cups of barley flour as an offering for her. He must not pour olive oil on the flour or put frankincense on it, since it is a grain offering brought because of the husband's jealousy, an offering used for a confession to remind someone of a sin that was committed. The priest will have the woman come forward and stand in the Lord's presence. Then the priest will take holy water in a piece of pottery and put some dust from the floor of the tent into the water. The priest will bring the woman into the Lord's presence and loosen her hair. In her hands he will put the offering used for a confession, that is, the grain offering brought because of the husband's jealousy. The priest will hold in his hands the bitter water that can bring a curse. Then the priest will say to her, If no other man has had sexual intercourse with you and you haven't been unfaithful to your husband, you are not guilty. This bitter water that can bring a curse will not harm you. If, in fact, you have been unfaithful and have had sexual intercourse with another man, may the Lord make you an example for your people to see what happens when the curse of this oath comes true. The Lord will make your uterus drop and your stomach swell. Then the priest will administer the oath and the curse by saying, May this water that can bring a curse go into your body and make your stomach swell and your uterus drop. Then the woman will say, Amen, Amen. The priest will write these curses on a scroll and wash them off into the bitter water. Then he will have the woman drink the bitter water that can bring the curse. This water will go into her and become bitter. The priest will take the grain offering she was holding, present it to the Lord, and bring it to the altar. The priest will take a handful of the grain offering as a memorial portion and burn it on the altar. Then he will have the woman drink the water. If she has become unclean by being unfaithful to her husband, the water that can bring the curse will go into her and become bitter. Her stomach will swell, her uterus will drop, and she will become cursed among her people. But if the woman is not unclean and is pure, she is not guilty and will be able to have children. These are the instructions for how to deal with jealousy. They tell you what to do when a woman is unfaithful to her husband and becomes unclean. They also tell you what to do when a husband has a fit of jealousy and is suspicious of his wife. He will make his wife stand in the Lord's presence, and the priest will do everything these instructions tell him to do. The husband isn't guilty of doing anything wrong, but the woman will suffer the consequences of her sin. Numbers chapter 6. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and tell them, A man or a woman may make a special vow to live as a Nazarite dedicated to the Lord. Nazarites must never drink wine, liquor, vinegar made from wine or liquor, or any kind of grape juice, and they must never eat fresh grapes or raisins. As long as they are Nazarites, they must never eat anything that comes from a grapevine, not even grape seeds or skins. As long as they are under the Nazarite vow, no razor may touch their heads. During the entire time that they are dedicated to the Lord as Nazarites, they will be holy. They must let their hair grow long. While they are dedicated to the Lord as Nazarites, they must never go near a dead body. Even if their own father, mother, brother, or sister dies, they must not make themselves unclean by going near them. 
Nazarites show their vow to God with their long hair. As long as they are Nazarites, they will be holy to the Lord. Someone might suddenly drop dead next to a Nazarite and make the Nazarite's hair unclean. Seven days later, he must shave his head in order to be declared clean. On the eighth day, he must bring two mourning doves or two young pigeons to the priest at the entrance to the tent of meeting. The priest will sacrifice one as an offering for sin and the other one as a burnt offering. The priest will make peace with the Lord for the person who touched the dead body. That same day, the person must dedicate his head again. Once again, he will dedicate himself to the Lord as a Nazarite for the same length of time as before. He must bring a one-year-old male lamb as an offering for guilt. The first time period won't count. He has to start over from when he became unclean. These are the instructions for Nazarites who complete their vows. They must come to the entrance of the tent of meeting. They must bring these offerings to the Lord, a one-year-old male lamb as a burnt offering, a one-year-old female lamb as an offering for sin, and a ram as a fellowship offering. All of these animals must have no defects. They must also bring a basket of unleavened bread containing some rings of bread made with olive oil and wafers of unleavened bread brushed with olive oil, along with other grain offerings and wine offerings. The priest will bring these offerings to the Lord and make the offering for sin and the burnt offering. He will sacrifice the ram as a fellowship offering to the Lord, offer the basket of unleavened bread along with it, and make the grain offerings and wine offerings. Then the Nazarites will shave their heads at the entrance to the tent of meeting, take the hair as proof that they had made this vow, and put it on the fire under the fellowship offering. Then the priest will take one of the shoulders from a boiled ram, one ring of unleavened bread from the basket, and one wafer of unleavened bread, and hand them to the Nazarites after they have shaved off their hair. The priest will present them as an offering to the Lord. They are holy and belong to the priest, along with the ram's breast that is presented and the thigh that is given. After that, the Nazarites may drink wine. These are the instructions for those who have vowed to bring their offerings to the Lord because they were Nazarites. They must bring these offerings in addition to anything else they can afford. They must fulfill the requirements of these instructions for Nazarites and finish whatever they vowed to do. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons, This is how you will bless the Israelites. Say to them, The Lord will bless you and watch over you. The Lord will smile on you and be kind to you. The Lord will look on you with favor and give you peace. So whenever they use my name to bless the Israelites, I will bless them. Numbers chapter 7 when Moses finished setting up the tent, he anointed it and dedicated it and all the furnishings. He also anointed and dedicated the altar and all the utensils. Then the leaders of Israel, the heads of the households, those tribal leaders who helped in the census, came to give their offerings. They brought these gifts to the Lord, six freight wagons and twelve oxen, one wagon from every two leaders and one ox from each leader. They brought them in front of the tent. The Lord said to Moses, Accept these gifts from them to use in the work done for the tent of meeting. Give them to the Levites to use wherever they need these gifts for their work. Moses took the wagons and the oxen and gave them to the Levites. He gave two wagons and four oxen to the Gershonites for the work they had to do. He gave four wagons and eight oxen to the Merorites for the work they had to do under the direction of Ithamar, son of the priest Aaron. But Moses gave none of these gifts to the Kohathites, because they took care of the holy things. They had to carry the holy things on their own shoulders. The leaders also brought offerings for the dedication of the altar when it was anointed. They presented their gifts in front of the altar. The Lord said to Moses, Each day a different leader will bring his gift for the dedication of the altar. 
The one who brought his gifts on the first day was Nashon, son of Aminadab, from the tribe of Judah. He brought a silver plate that weighed three and one-quarter pounds and a silver bowl that weighed one and three-quarter pounds, using the standard weight of the holy place. Each dish was filled with flour mixed with olive oil as a grain offering. He also brought a gold dish that weighed four ounces filled with incense, a young bull, a ram, and a one-year-old male lamb as a burnt offering, a male goat as an offering for sin, and two bulls, five rams, five male goats, and five one-year-old male lambs as a fellowship offering. These were the gifts from Nashon, son of Aminadab. On the second day, Nathanael, son of Zuar, the leader of the tribe of Issachar, brought his gifts. He brought a silver plate that weighed three and one-quarter pounds and a silver bowl that weighed one and three-quarter pounds, using the standard weight of the holy place. Each dish was filled with flour mixed with olive oil as a grain offering. He also brought a gold dish that weighed four ounces filled with incense a young bull, a ram, and a one-year-old male lamb as a burnt offering, a male goat as an offering for sin, and two bulls, five rams, five male goats, and five one-year-old male lambs as a fellowship offering. These were the gifts from Nathanael, son of Zuar. On the third day, the leader of the descendants of Zebulun, Eliab, son of Helon, brought his gifts, a silver plate that weighed three and one-quarter pounds, and a silver bowl that weighed one and three-quarter pounds, using the standard weight of the holy place. Each dish was filled with flour mixed with olive oil as a grain offering. He also brought a gold dish that weighed four ounces, filled with incense, a young bull, a ram, and a one-year-old male lamb as a burnt offering, a male goat as an offering for sin, and two bulls, five rams, five male goats, and five one-year-old male lambs as a fellowship offering. These were the gifts from Eliab, son of Helon. On the fourth day, the leader of the descendants of Reuben, Elizur, son of Shedeur, brought his gifts, a silver plate that weighed three and one-quarter pounds and a silver bowl that weighed one and three-quarter pounds, using the standard weight of the holy place. Each dish was filled with flour mixed with olive oil as a grain offering. He also brought a gold dish that weighed four ounces filled with incense, a young bull, a ram, and a one-year-old male lamb as a burnt offering, a male goat as an offering for sin, and two bulls, five rams, five male goats, and five one-year-old male lambs as a fellowship offering. These were the gifts from Elizur, son of Shedeur. On the fifth day, the leader of the descendants of Simeon, Shelumiel, son of Zerushadai, brought his gifts, a silver plate that weighed three and one-quarter pounds, and a silver bowl that weighed one and three-quarter pounds, using the standard weight of the holy place. Each dish was filled with flour mixed with olive oil as a grain offering. He also brought a gold dish that weighed four ounces, filled with incense, a young bull, a ram, and a one-year-old male lamb as a burnt offering, a male goat as an offering for sin, and two bulls, five rams, five male goats, and five one-year-old male lambs as a fellowship offering. These were the gifts from Shelumiel, son of Zerushadai. On the sixth day, the leader of the descendants of God, Eliasaph, son of Deuel, brought his gifts, a silver plate that weighed three and one-quarter pounds, and a silver bowl that weighed one and three-quarter pounds, using the standard weight of the holy place. Each dish was filled with flour mixed with olive oil as a grain offering. He also brought a gold dish that weighed four ounces, filled with incense, a young bull, a ram, and a one-year-old male lamb as a burnt offering, a male goat as an offering for sin, and two bulls, five rams, five male goats, and five one-year-old male lambs as a fellowship offering. These were the gifts from Eliasaph, son of Deuel. 
On the seventh day, the leader of the descendants of Ephraim, Elishama, son of Amihud, brought his gifts, a silver plate that weighed three and one-quarter pounds, and a silver bowl that weighed one and three-quarter pounds, using the standard weight of the holy place. Each dish was filled with flour mixed with olive oil as a grain offering. He also brought a gold dish that weighed four ounces, filled with incense, a young bull, a ram, and a one-year-old male lamb as a burnt offering, a male goat as an offering for sin, and two bulls, five rams, five male goats, and five one-year-old male lambs as a fellowship offering. These were the gifts from Elishama, son of Amichud. On the eighth day, the leader of the descendants of Manasseh, Gamaliel, son of Pedajur, brought his gifts, a silver a silver plate that weighed three and one-quarter pounds, and a silver bowl that weighed one and three-quarter pounds, using the standard weight of the holy place. Each dish was filled with flour mixed with olive oil as a grain offering. He also brought a gold dish that weighed four ounces, filled with incense, a young bull, a ram, and a one-year-old male lamb as a burnt offering, a male goat as an offering for sin, and two bulls, five rams, five male goats, and five one-year-old male lambs as a fellowship offering. These were the gifts from Gamaliel, son of Perizur. On the ninth day, the leader of the descendants of Benjamin, Abidan, son of Gideoni, brought his gifts, a silver plate that weighed three and one-quarter pounds and a silver bowl that weighed one and three-quarter pounds, using the standard weight of the holy place. Each dish was filled with flour mixed with olive oil as a grain offering. He also brought a gold dish that weighed four ounces, filled with incense, a young bull, a ram, and a one-year-old male lamb as a burnt offering, a male goat as an offering for sin, and two bulls, five rams, five male goats, and five one-year-old male lambs as a fellowship offering. These were the gifts from Abidan, son of Gideoni. On the tenth day, the leader of the descendants of Dan, Ahazer, son of Amishadai, brought his gifts, a silver plate that weighed three and one-quarter pounds, and a silver bowl that weighed one and three-quarter pounds, using the standard weight of the holy place. Each dish was filled with flour mixed with olive oil as a grain offering. He also brought a gold dish that weighed four ounces, filled with incense, a young bull, a ram, and a one-year-old male lamb as a burnt offering, a male goat as an offering for sin, and two bulls, five rams, five male goats, and five one-year-old male lambs as a fellowship offering. These were the gifts from Ahizer, son of Amishadai. On the eleventh day, the leader of the descendants of Asher, Pajel, son of Okran, brought his gifts, a silver plate that weighed three and one-quarter pounds, and a silver bowl that weighed one and three-quarter pounds, using the standard weight of the holy place. Each dish was filled with flour, mixed with olive oil, as a grain offering. He also brought a gold dish that weighed four ounces, filled with incense, a young bull, a ram, and a one-year-old male lamb as a burnt offering a male goat as an offering for sin, and two bulls, five rams, five male goats, and five one-year-old male lambs as a fellowship offering. These were the gifts from Pajel, son of Okran. On the twelfth day, the leader of the descendants of Naphtali, Achira, son of Enan, brought his gifts, a silver plate that weighed three and one-quarter pounds, and a silver bowl that weighed one and three-quarter pounds, using the standard weight of the holy place. Each dish was filled with flour mixed with olive oil as a grain offering. He also brought a gold dish that weighed four ounces, filled with incense, a young bull, a ram, and a one-year-old male lamb as a burnt offering, a male goat as an offering for sin, and two bulls, five rams, five male goats, and five one-year-old male lambs as a fellowship offering. These were the gifts from Ahira, son of Anon. These were the gifts from the leaders of Israel for the dedication of the altar when it was anointed, twelve silver plates, twelve silver bowls, and twelve gold dishes. 
Each silver plate weighed three and one-quarter pounds, and each bowl weighed one and three-quarter pounds. Together all the silver dishes weighed sixty pounds, using the standard weight of the holy place. The twelve gold dishes filled with incense weighed four ounces each, using the standard weight of the holy place. Together all the gold dishes weighed about three pounds. The total number of animals for the burnt offerings was twelve young bulls, twelve rams, twelve one-year-old male lambs, along with their grain offerings. Twelve male goats were used as offerings for sin. The total number of animals for fellowship offerings was twenty-four bulls, sixty rams, sixty male goats, and sixty-one-year-old male lambs. These were the gifts for the dedication of the altar after it was anointed. Whenever Moses went into the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, he heard the voice speaking to him from above the throne of mercy on the ark, containing the words of God's promise from between the two angels. This is how the Lord spoke with Moses. Numbers chapter 8. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to Aaron and tell him, When you set up the seven lamps on the lampstand, they should light up the area in front of it. So Aaron set up the lamps on the lampstand to light up the area in front of it, as the Lord commanded Moses. This is how the lampstand was made. The whole lampstand, from top to bottom, was hammered out of gold. It was made exactly like the one the Lord had shown Moses. The Lord said to Moses, Separate the Levites from the rest of the Israelites and make them clean. This is what you must do to make them clean. Sprinkle them with water to take away their sins. Make them shave their whole bodies and wash their clothes. Then they will be clean. Next they must take a young bull and the grain offering of flour mixed with olive oil that is offered with it. You must take a second young bull as an offering for sin. Bring the Levites to the front of the tent of meeting and assemble the whole community of Israel. Then bring the Levites into the Lord's presence, and the Israelites will place their hands on them. Aaron will present the Levites to the Lord as an offering from the Israelites. Then they will be ready to do the Lord's work. The Levites will place their hands on the heads of the young bulls, sacrifice one of them as an offering for sin, and the other one as a burnt offering to the Lord. These sacrifices will make peace with the Lord for the Levites. Make the Levites stand in front of Aaron and his sons, and present them as an offering to the Lord. In this way you will separate the Levites from the other Israelites, and the Levites will be mine. Once you have made them clean and presented them as an offering, the Levites may come and do their work at the tent of meeting. They will be the only Israelites given to me. I have taken them to be mine as substitutes for every firstborn male offspring of the Israelites. Every firstborn in Israel, whether human or animal, is mine. The day I killed every firstborn male in Egypt, I set them apart as holy to me. So I have taken the Levites as substitutes for all the firstborn sons of the Israelites. The Levites will be the only Israelites I give to Aaron and his sons. They will work for the Israelites at the tent of meeting. They will make peace with the Lord for the Israelites. Then no plague will strike the Israelites when they come near the holy place. Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel did what the Lord commanded Moses to do to the Levites. The Levites performed the ceremonies to take away their sins and wash their clothes. Aaron presented them as an offering to the Lord and made peace with the Lord for them in order to make them clean. After that, the Levites came and did their work at the tent of meeting in the presence of Aaron and his sons. They did as the Lord had commanded Moses. The Lord said to Moses, These are the instructions for the Levites. Men twenty-five years old or older are eligible to serve at the tent of meeting. But when they're fifty years old, they must retire from active service and not work any more. They may assist the other Levites in their duties at the tent of meeting, 
but they may not do any regular work. This is how you will handle the Levites' duties. Numbers chapter 9. In the first month of the second year after the Israelites left Egypt, the Lord spoke to Moses in the desert of Sinai. He said, The Israelites must celebrate the Passover at the same time every year. You must celebrate it on the fourteenth day of this month at dusk. Follow all the rules and regulations for the celebration of the Passover. So Moses told the Israelites to celebrate the Passover, and they celebrated it on the fourteenth day of the first month at dusk while they were in the desert of Sinai. The Israelites did everything as the Lord had commanded Moses. But there were some men who had become unclean from touching a dead body, and they couldn't celebrate the Passover that day. They came to Moses and Aaron and said, We are unclean because we touched a dead body. Why won't you let us bring our offerings to the Lord at the same time the rest of the Israelites bring their offerings? Moses answered them, Wait here until I find out what the Lord commands you to do. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites, Suppose you or any of your descendants is unclean from touching a dead body or is away on a long trip. You may still celebrate the Passover. You will celebrate it on the fourteenth day of the second month at dusk. You must eat the Passover animal along with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. You must never leave any of the meat until morning or break any of the animal's bones. You must follow all the rules for the Passover when you celebrate it. But if you are clean and not on a trip and yet don't bother to celebrate the Passover, you must be excluded from the people. You didn't bring your offering to the Lord at the right time. You must suffer the consequences for your sin. Foreigners living with you may want to celebrate the Lord's Passover. They must follow these same rules and regulations. The same rules will apply to foreigners and native-born Israelites. On the day the tent of the words of God's promise was set up, the column of smoke covered it. From evening until morning the smoke over the tent glowed like fire. The smoke always glowed this way. At night the smoke covering the tent glowed like fire. Whenever the smoke moved from the tent, the Israelites would break camp, and wherever it stopped, the Israelites would set up camp. At the Lord's command, the Israelites would break camp, and at His command they would set up camp. As long as the column of smoke stayed over the tent, they would stay in the same place. When the smoke stayed over the tent for a long time, the Israelites obeyed the Lord's command and wouldn't break camp. The same thing happened when the smoke stayed only a few days over the tent. At the Lord's command, they would set up camp, and at His command, they would break camp. Sometimes the column of smoke stayed only from evening until morning. When the smoke moved in the morning, they broke camp. Day or night, when the smoke moved, they broke camp. Whether it was two days, a month, or a year, as long as the column of smoke stayed over the tent, the Israelites would stay in the same place and not break camp. But when the smoke moved, they would break camp. At the Lord's command, they set up camp, and at His command, they broke camp. They obeyed the command that the Lord had given through Moses. Numbers chapter 10. The Lord said to Moses, Make two trumpets out of hammered silver. Use them to call the community together as a signal to break camp. When you blow both trumpets, the whole community will meet with you at the entrance to the tent of meeting. If only one trumpet blows, the leaders, the heads of the divisions of Israel, will meet with you. When they hear the trumpet fanfare, the tribes that are camped on the east side will break camp first. When the trumpets sound a second fanfare, the tribes that are camped on the south will break camp. The fanfare is the signal to break camp. But when you gather the assembly, the trumpets will blow without sounding a fanfare. The sons of Aaron, the priests, will blow the trumpets. This will be a permanent law for you and your descendants. 
When you go to war in your own country against an enemy who is oppressing you, the trumpets will sound a fanfare. Then the Lord your God will remember you and rescue you from your enemies. Also on your festival days and on the first day of the month, blow the trumpets when you sacrifice your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. The trumpets will be a reminder for you in God's presence. I am the Lord your God. On the twentieth day of the second month of the second year, the column of smoke left the tent of the words of God's promise. So the Israelites moved from the desert of Sinai and traveled from place to place, until the column of smoke stopped in the desert of Paran. This was the first time they moved, following the command that the Lord had given through Moses. With their flag in front, the armies led by Judah's descendants broke camp first. Nashon, son of Aminadab, was in command. Nathanael, son of Zuar, commanded the army of Issachar. Eliab, son of Helon, commanded the army of Zebulun. Then the tent of meeting was taken down, and the Gershonites and Merorites who carried it broke camp. With their flag in front, the armies led by Reuben's descendants broke camp next. Elizur, son of Shedeur, was in command. Shalomiel, son of Jerishadai, commanded the army of Simeon. Eliasav, son of Deuel, commanded the army of Gad. Then the Kohathites, who carried the holy things, broke camp. By the time they arrived, the tent of meeting would already be set up. With their flag in front, the armies led by Ephraim's descendants broke camp next. Elisha, son of Amichud, was in command. Gamaliel, son of Perizur, commanded the army of Manasseh. Abidan, son of Gideoni, commanded the army of Benjamin. As a rear guard for the whole camp, the armies led by Dan's descendants broke camp last with their flag in front. Ahiazer, son of Amishadai, was in command. Fajiel, son of Okran, commanded the army of Asher. Ahira, son of Enan, commanded the army of Naphtali. This was the order in which the Israelite armies broke camp when they went from place to place. Moses said to his brother-in-law Hobab, son of Reuel the Midianite, We are going to the place the Lord promised to give us. Come with us. We will be good to you, because the Lord has promised good things to Israel. Hobab answered, No, I won't go. I want to go back to my own country, where my relatives are. But Moses said, Please don't leave us. You know where we can set up camp in the desert, and you could be our guide. If you come with us, we will share with you all the good things the Lord gives us. So they left the mountain of the Lord and traveled for three days. The ark of the Lord's promise went ahead of them a distance of three days' journey to find them a place to rest. The Lord's column of smoke was over them by day when they moved the camp. Whenever the ark started to move, Moses would say, Arise, O Lord, scatter your enemies, make those who hate you run away from you. And whenever it stopped, he would say, Return, O Lord, to the countless thousands of Israel. Numbers chapter 11. The people began complaining out loud to the Lord about their troubles. When the Lord heard them, he became angry, and fire from the Lord began to burn among them. It destroyed some people on the outskirts of the camp. The people cried out to Moses. Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. That place was called Taborah, fire, because fire from the Lord burned among them there. Some foreigners among the Israelites had a strong craving for other kinds of food. Even the Israelites started crying again and said, If only we had meat to eat. Remember all the free fish we ate in Egypt, and the cucumbers, watermelons, leeks, onions, and garlic we had. But now we've lost our appetite. Everywhere we look, there's nothing but manna. Manna was small, like coriander seeds, and looked like resin. The people would go around and gather it, then grind it in a handmill or crush it in a mortar. 
They would cook it in a pot or make round loaves of bread out of it. It tasted like rich pastry made with olive oil. When dew fell on the camp at night, manna fell with it. Moses heard people from every family crying at the entrance to their tents. The Lord became very angry, and Moses didn't like it either. So he asked, Lord, why have you brought me this trouble? How have I displeased you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Am I their mother? Did I give birth to them? Are you really asking me to carry them in my arms, as a nurse carries a baby, all the way to the land you promised their ancestors with an oath? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep crying for me to give them meat to eat. I can't take care of all these people by myself. This is too much work for me. If this is how you're going to treat me, why don't you just kill me? I can't face this trouble any more. The Lord answered Moses, Bring me seventy Israelite men who you know are leaders and officers of the people. Take them to the tent of meeting and have them stand with you. I'll come down and speak with you there. I'll take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. They will help you take care of the people. You won't have to take care of the people alone. Tell the people to get ready for tomorrow. They must be set apart as holy. Then they will eat meat. I, the Lord, heard them crying and saying, If only we had meat to eat. We were better off in Egypt. So I will give them meat. They won't eat it just for one or two days, or five or ten or twenty days, but for a whole month, until it comes out of their ears and they're sick of it. This is because they rejected the Lord who is here among them, and cried in front of him, asking, Why did we ever leave Egypt? But Moses said, Here I am with six hundred thousand foot soldiers around me, yet you say, I will give them meat to eat for a whole month? Would they have enough if all the flocks and herds were butchered for them? Would they have enough if all the fish in the sea were caught for them? The Lord asked Moses, Is there a limit to the Lord's power? Now you will see whether or not my words come true. Moses went out and told the people what the Lord said. He gathered seventy of the leaders of the people and had them stand around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the column of smoke and spoke with him. He took some of the spirit that was on Moses and put it on the seventy leaders. When the spirit came to rest on them, they prophesied, but they never prophesied again. Two men named Eldad and Medad had stayed in the camp. They were on the list with the other leaders, but hadn't gone with them to the tent. The spirit came to rest on them, too, and they prophesied in the camp. Then a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. So Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' assistant ever since he was a young man, spoke up and said, Stop them, sir. But Moses asked him, Do you think you need to stand up for me? I wish all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Then Moses and the leaders went back to the camp. The Lord sent a wind from the sea that brought quails and dropped them all around the camp. There were quails on the ground about three feet deep, as far as you could walk in a day in any direction. All that day and night and all the next day the people went out and gathered the quails. No one gathered less than sixty bushels. Then they spread the quails out all around the camp. While the meat was still in their mouths, before they had even had a chance to chew it, the Lord became angry with the people and struck them with a severe plague. That place was called Kibroth Hata'ava, graves of those who craved meat, because there they buried the people who had a strong craving for meat. From Kibroth Hata'ava, the people moved to Hazaroth, and they stayed there. Numbers chapter 12.
Miriam and Aaron began to criticize Moses because he was married to a woman from Sudan. They asked, Did the Lord speak only through Moses? Didn't he also speak through us? The Lord heard their complaint. Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on earth. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, All three of you come to the tent of meeting. So all three of them came. Then the Lord came down in the column of smoke and stood at the entrance to the tent. He called to Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward. He said, Listen to my words. When there are prophets of the Lord among you, I make myself known to them in visions, or speak to them in dreams. But this is not the way I treat my servant Moses. He is the most faithful person in my household. I speak with him face to face, plainly, and not in riddles. He even sees the form of the Lord. Why weren't you afraid to criticize my servant Moses? The Lord was angry with them, so he left. When the smoke left the tent, Miriam was covered with an infectious skin disease. She was as white as snow. Aaron turned to her and saw she was covered with the disease. So he said to Moses, Please, sir, don't punish us for this foolish sin we committed. Don't let her be like a stillborn baby that's not completely developed. So Moses cried to the Lord, Please, God, heal her. The Lord replied to Moses, If her own father had spit in her face, wouldn't she be excluded from the community for seven days? She must be put in isolation outside the camp for seven days. Then she can be brought back. So Miriam was put in isolation outside the camp for seven days. The people didn't break camp until she was brought back. After that, the people moved from Hazaroth and set up camp in the desert of Paran. Numbers chapter 13. The Lord said to Moses, Send men to explore Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of their ancestors' tribes. So at the Lord's command Moses sent these men from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. These are the names. Shamua, son of Zakur, from the tribe of Reuben. Shaphat, son of Hori, from the tribe of Simeon. Caleb, son of Jephunneh, from the tribe of Judah. Egal, son of Joseph, from the tribe of Issachar. Hoshea, son of Nun, from the tribe of Ephraim, Palti, son of Raphu, from the tribe of Benjamin, Gadiel, son of Sodi, from the tribe of Zebulun, Gadi, son of Susi, from the tribe of Joseph, that is the tribe of Manasseh, Amiel, son of Gamali, from the tribe of Dan, Sethur, son of Michael, from the tribe of Asher, Nabi, son of Vovshi, from the tribe of Naphtali, Geoel, son of Maki, from the tribe of Gad. These are the names of the men Moses sent to explore the land. But Moses gave Hoshea, son of Nun, the name Joshua. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he told them, Go through the Negev and then into the mountain region. See what the land is like and whether the people living there are strong or weak, few or many. Is the land they live in good or bad? Do their cities have walls around them or not? Is the soil rich or poor? Does the land have trees or not? Do your best to bring back some fruit from the land. It was the season when grapes were beginning to ripen. So the men explored the land from the desert of Zin to the border of Hamath. They went through the Negev and came to Hebron, where Ahiman, Sheshai, and Talmai lived. They are descendants of Anak. Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. When they came to the Eshkol Valley, they cut off a branch with only one bunch of grapes on it. They carried it on a pole between two of them. They also brought some pomegranates and figs. So they called that valley Eshkol, bunch of grapes, because of the bunch of grapes the Israelites cut off there. 
Forty days later they came back from exploring the land. They came back to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. They gave their report and showed them the fruit from the land. This is what they reported to Moses. We went to the land where you sent us. It really is a land flowing with milk and honey. Here's some of its fruit. But the people who live there are strong, and the cities have walls and are very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the mountain region, and the Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and all along the Jordan River. Caleb told the people to be quiet and listen to Moses. Caleb said, Let's go now and take possession of the land. We should be more than able to conquer it. But the men who had gone with him said, We can't attack those people. They're too strong for us. So they began to spread lies among the Israelites about the land they had explored. They said, The land we explored is one that devours those who live there. All the people we saw there are very tall. We saw Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak are Nephilim. We felt as small as grasshoppers, and that's how we must have looked to them. Numbers chapter 14. Then all the people in the Israelite community raised their voices and cried out loud all that night. They complained to Moses and Aaron, If only we had died in Egypt or this desert. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land, just to have us die in battle? Our wives and children will be taken as prisoners of war. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? They said to each other, Let's choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Immediately Moses and Aaron bowed with their faces, touching the ground in front of the whole community of Israel, assembled there. At the same time, two of those who had explored the land, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, tore their clothes in despair. They said to the whole community of Israel, The land we explored is very good. If the Lord is pleased with us, He will bring us into this land and give it to us. This is a land flowing with milk and honey. Don't rebel against the Lord, and don't be afraid of the people of the land. We will devour them like bread. They have no protection, and the Lord is with us. So don't be afraid of them. But when the whole community of Israel talked about stoning Moses and Aaron to death, they all saw the glory of the Lord shining at the tent of meeting. The Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to trust me in spite of all the miraculous signs I have done among them? I'll strike them with a plague, I'll destroy them, and I'll make you into a nation larger and stronger than they are. But Moses said to the Lord, What if the Egyptians hear about it? You used your power to take these people away from them. What if the Egyptians tell the people who live in this land? Lord, they have already heard that you are with these people that they have seen you with their own eyes, that your column of smoke stays over them, and that you go ahead of them in a column of smoke by day and in a column of fire by night. But if you kill all these people at the same time, then the nations who have heard these reports about you will say, The Lord wasn't able to bring these people into the land He promised them, so He slaughtered them in the desert. Lord, let your power be as great as when you said, The Lord, patient, forever loving, he forgives wrongdoing and disobedience. He never lets the guilty go unpunished, punishing children for their parents' sins to the third and fourth generation. By your great love, please forgive these people's sins, as you have been forgiving them from the time they left Egypt until now. The Lord said, I forgive them, as you have asked. 
But as I live and as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, I solemnly swear that none of the people who saw my glory and the miraculous signs I did in Egypt and in the desert will see the land which I promised their ancestors. They have tested me now ten times and refused to obey me. None of those who treat me with contempt will see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different attitude and has wholeheartedly followed me, I will bring him to the land he already explored. His descendants will possess it. The Amalekites and Canaanites are living in the valleys. Tomorrow you must turn around, go back into the desert, and follow the road that goes to the Red Sea. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, How long must I put up with this wicked community that keeps complaining about me? I've heard the complaints the Israelites are making about me. So tell them, as I live, declares the Lord, I solemnly swear I will do everything to you that you said I would do. Your bodies will drop dead in this desert. All of you who are at least twenty years old, who were registered and listed, and who complained about me, will die. I raised my hand and swore an oath to give you this land to live in, but none of you will enter it except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. You said your children would be taken as prisoners of war. Instead, I will bring them into the land you rejected, and they will enjoy it. However, your bodies will drop dead in this desert. Your children will be shepherds in the desert for forty years. They will suffer for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies dead in the desert. For forty days you explored the land, so for forty years, one year for each day, you will suffer for your sins and know what it means for me to be against you. I, the Lord, have spoken. I swear I will do these things to all the people in this whole wicked community who have joined forces against me. They will meet their end in this desert. Here they will die. So the men Moses sent to explore the land died in front of the Lord from a plague. They died because they had returned and made the whole community complain about Moses by spreading lies about the land. Of all the men who went to explore the land, only Joshua son of Nun and Caleb son of Jephunneh survived. When Moses told these things to all the Israelites, the people mourned bitterly, as if someone had died. Early the next morning they headed into the mountain region. They said, We have sinned. Now we'll go to the place the Lord promised. But Moses asked, Why are you disobeying the Lord's command? Your plan won't work. Don't go. You will be defeated by your enemies because the Lord is not with you. The Amalekites and Canaanites are there, and you will die in battle. Now that you have turned away from the Lord, the Lord will not be with you. But they headed into the mountain region anyway, even though the ark of the Lord's promise and Moses stayed in the camp. The Amalekites and Canaanites who lived there came down from those mountains, attacked the Israelites, and defeated them at Hormah. Numbers chapter 15. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and tell them, Once you're settled in the land I'm giving you, you may bring offerings by fire to the Lord. They may be burnt offerings or any other kind of sacrifice. They may be offered to fulfill a vow, as a free will offering, or as one of your festival offerings. They may be cattle, sheep, or goats, offerings that are a soothing aroma to the Lord. Whoever brings the offering must also give the Lord a grain offering of eight cups of flour mixed with one quart of olive oil. With each sheep or goat for the burnt offering or any other sacrifice, also give an offering of one quart of wine. With a ram, give a grain offering of sixteen cups of flour, mixed with one and one-quarter quarts of oil, and an offering of one and one-quarter quarts of wine. Offer them as a soothing aroma to the Lord. 
Suppose you sacrifice a young bull as a burnt offering to the Lord, or make any other kind of sacrifice to keep a vow, or as a fellowship offering. Offer with a young bull a grain offering of twenty-four cups of flour mixed with two quarts of olive oil. Also give an offering of two quarts of wine. It is an offering by fire, a soothing aroma to the Lord. Do this for each bull, each ram, and each sheep or goat. Do it for each animal, however many you sacrifice. All native-born Israelites must do it this way when they bring an offering by fire, a soothing aroma to the Lord. Suppose foreigners are visiting you or living among you in future generations. If they bring an offering by fire, a soothing aroma to the Lord, they must do as you do. There is one law for the whole assembly, for you and foreigners who are living with you. It is a permanent law for future generations. As far as the Lord is concerned, you and foreigners are the same. The instructions and rules are the same for you as well as foreigners who are living with you. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and tell them, When you enter the land where I am taking you, and eat any of the food from the land, give some of it as a contribution to the Lord. Shape one part of your dough into a ring, the same way you do with the contribution you make from the threshing floor. For generations to come, you must give one part of your dough as a contribution to the Lord. Suppose you unintentionally do something wrong by not obeying all these commands the Lord gave Moses. Everything the Lord commanded you through Moses holds as true for generations to come as it did the day the Lord gave the commands. If it was unintentional, and no one else knows about it, the whole community must sacrifice a young bull as a burnt offering, a soothing aroma to the Lord, along with the proper grain and wine offerings, and a male goat as an offering for sin. The priest will make peace with the Lord for the whole community of Israel. Then they will be forgiven because the wrongdoing was unintentional, and they brought these two offerings to the Lord for their sin, an offering by fire and an offering for sin. So the whole community of Israel will be forgiven, including foreigners who are living among them, since all the people were involved in the unintentional wrongdoing. If one person unintentionally does something wrong, a one-year-old female goat must be sacrificed as an offering for sin. The priest will offer the sacrifice to make peace with the Lord for that person, and that person will be forgiven. You must give the same instructions to everyone who does something wrong unintentionally, whether they are native-born Israelites or not. But any native-born Israelite or foreigner who deliberately does something wrong insults the Lord and must be excluded from the people. That person has despised the word of the Lord and broken the Lord's command. He must be excluded completely. He remains guilty. While the Israelites were in the desert, they found a man gathering wood on the day of worship. Those who found him gathering wood brought him to Moses and Aaron and the whole community. They kept him in custody until they decided what to do with him. Then the Lord said to Moses, This man must be put to death. The whole community must take him outside the camp and stone him. So the whole community took him outside the camp and stoned him to death, as the Lord commanded Moses. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and tell them, For generations to come they must wear tassels on the corners of their clothes with violet threads in each tassel. Whenever you look at the threads in the tassel, you will remember all the Lord's commands and obey them. Then you won't do whatever you want and go after whatever you see, as if you were chasing after prostitutes. You will remember to obey all my commands, and you will be holy to your God. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. 
I am the Lord your God. Numbers chapter 16. Korah, son of Ishar, Dathan and Abiram, sons of Eliab, and On, son of Peleth, dared to challenge Moses. Korah was a descendant of Kohath and Levi. Dathan, Abiram, and On were descendants of Reuben. These four men were joined by 250 Israelite men, well-known leaders of the community, chosen by the assembly. They came together to confront Moses and Aaron and said to them, You've gone far enough. Everyone in the whole community is holy, and the Lord is among them. Why do you set yourselves above the Lord's assembly? As soon as Moses heard this, he bowed with his face, touching the ground. Then he said to Korah and all his followers, In the morning the Lord will show who belongs to him, who is holy, and who it is that he will allow to come near him. Only the person the Lord chooses will be allowed to come near him. Korah, you and all your followers must do this tomorrow. Take incense burners, and put burning coals and incense in them in the Lord's presence. Then the Lord will choose the man who is holy. You've gone far enough. Moses also said to Korah, Listen, you Levites, isn't it enough for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the community of Israel? The Lord has brought you near himself to do the work for his tent and stand in front of the community to serve them. He has brought you and all the other Levites near himself, but now you demand to be priests. So you and all your followers have joined forces against the Lord. Who is Aaron, that you should complain about him? Then Moses sent for Dathan and Abiram, sons of Eliab, but they said, We won't come. Isn't it enough that you brought us out of a land flowing with milk and honey, only to kill us in the desert? Do you also have to order us around? Certainly you haven't brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, or given us any fields and vineyards to own. Do you think you can still pull the wool over our eyes? We won't come. Moses became angry and said to the Lord, Don't accept their offering. I haven't taken anything from them, not even a donkey, and I haven't mistreated any of them. Moses said to Korah, Tomorrow you and all your followers must come into the Lord's presence. Aaron will also be there with you. Each man will take his incense burner and put incense in it. They will offer all two hundred fifty incense burners to the Lord. Then you and Aaron offer your incense burners. So each man took his incense burner, put burning coals and incense in it, and stood with Moses and Aaron at the entrance to the tent of meeting. When Korah had gathered all his followers, those who opposed Moses and Aaron, at the entrance to the tent of meeting, the glory of the Lord appeared to the whole group. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Move away from these men, and I'll destroy them in an instant. Immediately they bowed with their faces touching the ground and said, O God, you are the God who gives the breath of life to everyone. If one man sins, will you be angry with the whole community? Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the community, Move away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Moses got up and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the leaders of Israel followed him. He said to the community, Move away from the tents of these wicked men. Don't touch anything that belongs to them, or you'll be swept away because of all their sins. So they moved away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Dathan and Abiram had come out and were standing at the entrances to their tents with their wives and children. Moses said, This is how you will know that the Lord sent me to do all these things and that it wasn't my idea. If these men die like all other people, if they die a natural death, then the Lord hasn't sent me. But if the Lord does something totally new, 
If the ground opens up, swallows them and everything that belongs to them, and they go down alive to their graves, then you'll know that these men have treated the Lord with contempt. As soon as he had finished saying all this, the ground under them split and the earth opened up to swallow them, their families, the followers of Korah, and all their property. They went down alive to their graves with everything that belonged to them. The ground covered them, and so they disappeared from the assembly. All the Israelites around them ran away when they heard their screams. They thought the ground would swallow them too. Fire came from the Lord and consumed the two hundred fifty men who were offering incense. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Eleazar, son of the priest Aaron, to take the incense burners out of the fire and scatter the coals and incense somewhere else, because the incense burners have become holy. The incense burners of these men who sinned and lost their lives are holy, because they were offered to the Lord. Hammer them into thin metal sheets to cover the altar. This will be a sign to the Israelites. So the priest Eleazar took the bronze incense burners which had been brought by those who had been burned to death. The incense burners were then hammered into thin metal sheets to cover the altar, following the command that the Lord had given through Moses. The bronze-covered altar will remind Israel that no one but a descendant of Aaron can come near to burn incense to the Lord. Everyone else will die like Korah and his followers. The next day the whole community of Israel complained to Moses and Aaron. They said, You have killed the Lord's people. The community came together to confront Moses and Aaron. When they turned toward the tent of meeting, they saw the smoke covering it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. Then Moses and Aaron went to the front of the tent of meeting. The Lord said to Moses, Get away from these people and let me destroy them in an instant. Immediately they bowed with their faces touching the ground. Moses said to Aaron, Take your incense burner, put burning coals from the altar and incense in it, and go quickly into the community to make peace with the Lord for the people. The Lord is showing his anger. A plague has started. Aaron took his incense burner, as Moses told him, and ran into the middle of the assembly, because the plague had already begun among the people. He put incense on the incense burner to make peace with the Lord for the people. He stood between those who had died and those who were still alive, and the plague stopped. Still, 14,700 died from the plague, in addition to those who had died because of Korah. By the time Aaron came back to Moses at the entrance to the tent of meeting, the plague had stopped. Numbers chapter 17. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and get twelve staffs from them, one from the leader of each of their tribes. Write each man's name on his staff. Write Aaron's name on the staff for Levi, because there must be one staff for the head of each tribe. Put them in the tent of meeting where I meet with you, in front of the words of my promise. The staff from the man I choose will begin to grow. In this way I will silence the frequent complaints the Israelites make against you and Aaron. So Moses spoke to the Israelites. Their leaders gave him twelve staffs, one from the leader of each of their tribes. Aaron's staff was among them. Moses put the staffs in the Lord's presence in the tent of the words of God's promise. The next day Moses went into the tent. He found that Aaron's staff for the tribe of Levi had not only begun to grow, but it had also blossomed and produced ripe almonds. Moses brought out the staffs from the Lord's presence and showed them to all the Israelites. They looked at them, and each man took his staff. The Lord said to Moses, Put Aaron's staff back in front of the words of my promise, and keep it there as a sign to warn any other rebels. Then you will stop their complaints about me, and they won't die. Moses did exactly what the Lord commanded him to do. 
The Israelites said to Moses, Now we're going to die. We're lost. We're all lost. Anyone who comes near the Lord's tent will die. Are we all going to die? Numbers chapter 18. The Lord said to Aaron, You, your sons, and your family will be responsible for any sins against the holy place. You and your sons will also be responsible for any sins you commit when you work as priests. Bring the other Levites from your ancestors' tribe to join you, and help you and your sons serve in front of the tent of the words of my promise. They will work for you, doing whatever work is necessary for the whole tent. But they must not come near the altar or the furnishings in the holy place, or they will die, and you will die too. They will join you and do whatever work is necessary for the tent of meeting, including all the maintenance work for the tent, but no one else may come near you. You must be in charge of the work done at the holy place and at the altar. Then I won't show my anger against the Israelites again. I have chosen the other Levites from among the Israelites to help you. They are a gift given to the Lord to do whatever work is necessary at the tent of meeting. Only you and your sons may do the work of priests, everything done at the altar and under the canopy. This is my gift to you. You may serve me as priests. Anyone else who comes near the holy place to do this work must die. The Lord said to Aaron, I am putting you in charge of all the contributions given to me. I am giving you and your descendants all the holy gifts from the Israelites as your share. These contributions will always be yours. That part of the most holy offerings which is not burned belongs to you. It may come from a grain offering, an offering for sin, or a guilt offering. Whatever is brought to me as a most holy offering will belong to you and your sons. Eat it in a most holy place. Any male may eat it. You must consider it holy. The contributions that come as gifts taken from the offerings presented by the Israelites are also yours. I am giving these to you, your sons and your daughters. They will always be yours. Anyone in your household who is clean may eat them. I am also giving you the first of the produce they give the Lord, the best of all the olive oil, and the best of the new wine and fresh grain. The first of all produce, harvested in their land, that they bring to the Lord, is yours. Anyone in your household who is clean may eat it. Anything in Israel that is claimed by the Lord is yours. Every firstborn male, human or animal, that is brought to the Lord is yours. But you must buy back every firstborn son and the firstborn male of any unclean animal. When they are one month old, you must buy them back at the fixed price of two ounces of silver using the standard weight of the holy place. But you must never buy back a firstborn ox, sheep, or goat. They are holy. Throw the blood from these animals against the altar and burn the fat as an offering by fire, a soothing aroma to the Lord. But the meat is yours, like the breast and the right thigh that are presented. I am giving you, your sons and your daughters, all the holy contributions the Israelites bring to the Lord. These contributions will always be yours. It is an everlasting promise of salt in the Lord's presence for you and your descendants. The Lord said to Aaron, you will have no land or property of your own, as the other Israelites will have. I am your possession and your property among the Israelites. I am giving the Levites one-tenth of every Israelite's income. This is in return for the work they do at the tent of meeting. The other Israelites must never again come near the tent of meeting. Otherwise they'll suffer the consequences of their sin and die. Only the Levites will do the work at the tent of meeting. They will be responsible for their own sins. This is a permanent law for future generations. They will own no property as the other Israelites will. Instead, I will give the Levites what the Israelites contribute to the Lord, one-tenth of the Israelites' income. This is why I said about them, they will own no property as the other Israelites do.
The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Levites, and say to them, You will take one-tenth of the Israelites' income which I am giving you as your property. When you do, you must contribute one-tenth of that income as your contribution to the Lord. Your contribution will be considered to be grain from the threshing floor or juice from the winepress. So you too will contribute one-tenth of your income to the Lord out of all that you receive from the Israelites' income. You will give the Lord's contribution to the priest Aaron. Out of all the gifts you receive, you must contribute the best and holiest parts to the Lord. Also tell them, when you contribute the best part, your contribution will be considered to be produce from the threshing floor or wine press. So you and your households may eat it anywhere, because it's the wages you receive for your work at the tent of meeting. When you contribute the best part, you won't suffer the consequences of any sin. You won't be dishonoring the holy offerings given by the Israelites, and you won't die. Numbers chapter 19. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is what the Lord's teachings have commanded. Tell the Israelites to bring you a red cow that is perfect, with no defects. Also it must never have worn a yoke. Give it to the priest Eliezer. It must be taken outside the camp and slaughtered in his presence. The priest Eliezer will take some of the blood with his finger and sprinkle it seven times toward the front of the tent of meeting. Then the entire cow, the skin, meat, blood, and excrement, will be burned while he watches. The priest will take some cedar wood, a hyssop sprig, and some red yarn, and throw them onto the burning cow. The priest must then wash his clothes and his body. After that, he may go into the camp, but he will be unclean until evening. The person who burned the calf must also wash his clothes and his body. He too will be unclean until evening. A man who is clean will collect the ashes from the cow and put them in a clean place outside the camp. They will be kept by the community of Israel and used in the water that takes away uncleanness. The cow is an offering for sin. The person who collected the ashes from the cow must also wash his clothes. He will be unclean until evening. This will be a permanent law for the Israelites and for the foreigners who live with them. Whoever touches the dead body of any human being will be unclean for seven days. The unclean person must use this water on the third day and the seventh day to take away his sin. Then he will be clean. But if he doesn't use this water on the third day and the seventh day, he will not be clean. Whoever touches the dead body of a human being and doesn't use this water to take away his sin makes the Lord's tent unclean. That person must be excluded from Israel because the water that takes away uncleanness wasn't sprinkled on him. He is unclean. His uncleanness stays with him. These are your instructions for when a person dies in a tent. Everyone who goes into the tent and everyone who is in the tent will be unclean for seven days. Every container without a lid fastened on it is unclean. Whoever is outdoors and touches someone who was killed or has died naturally, or anyone who touches a human bone or a grave, will be unclean for seven days. This is what you must do. For people who become unclean from touching a dead body, put some of the ashes from the red cow that was burned as an offering for sin into a container. Then pour fresh water on them. A person who is clean will take a sprig of hyssop, dip it in the water, and sprinkle the tent, all the furnishings, and all the people who were in the tent with the dead body. He must also sprinkle any person who has touched a human bone or a grave, and any person who has touched someone who has been killed or who has died naturally. A person who is clean will sprinkle these types of unclean people on the third day and the seventh day. 
On the seventh day, the clean person will finish taking away their sins. Then they must wash their clothes and bodies, and in the evening they will be clean. But if the person who becomes unclean doesn't have his sin taken away, that person must be excluded from the assembly. He has made the holy place of the Lord unclean. The water to take away uncleanness wasn't sprinkled on him. He is unclean. This will be a permanent law for them. Whoever sprinkles the water to take away uncleanness must wash his clothes, and whoever touches this water will be unclean until evening. Anything that an unclean person touches becomes unclean, and the person who touches it will be unclean until evening. Numbers chapter 20. In the first month, the whole community of Israel came into the desert of Zin, and they stayed at Kadesh. Miriam died and was buried there. Since the community was without water, they came together to confront Moses and Aaron. The people complained to Moses and said, If only we had died when the other Israelites died in the Lord's presence. Did you bring the Lord's assembly into this desert just to have us and our animals die here? Why did you make us leave Egypt and bring us into this terrible place? This is no place to plant crops. Even figs, grapes, and pomegranates won't grow here, and there's no water to drink. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting. Immediately they bowed with their faces touching the ground, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, Take your staff, then you and your brother Aaron gather the community. Right before their eyes, tell the rock to give up its water. In this way you will give the community water from the rock for them and their animals to drink. Moses took his staff out of the tent in the Lord's presence as he had been commanded. Then Moses and Aaron assembled the community in front of the rock and said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring water out of this rock for you? Moses raised his hand and hit the rock twice with the staff. Water came pouring out, and all the people and their animals drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, You didn't trust me. You didn't show the Israelites how holy I am. So you will not bring this congregation into the land I'm giving them. This was the oasis of Meribah complaining, where the Israelites complained about the Lord, and where he showed them he was holy. Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom. He said, This is what your brother Israel says. You know all the hardships we've had. Our ancestors went to Egypt, and we lived there for many years. The Egyptians mistreated us and our ancestors. When we cried out to the Lord, he heard us, sent a messenger, and brought us out of Egypt. Now we're here in Kadesh, a city on the edge of your territory. Please let us go through your country. We won't go through any of your fields or vineyards or drink any of the water from your wells. We'll stay on the king's highway and never leave it until we've passed through your territory. But the Edomites answered, You may not pass through our country. If you try, we'll come out and attack you. The Israelites replied, We'll stay on the main road, and if we or our livestock drink any of your water, we'll pay for it. We want to pass through on foot, that's all. But the Edomites said, You may not pass through. Then they came out and attacked with many well-armed troops. Since the Edomites refused to let Israel go through their territory, the Israelites turned around and went a different way. The whole community of Israel left Kadesh and came to Mount Hor. At Mount Hor, near the border of Edom, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Aaron must now join his ancestors in death, since he cannot enter the land I am giving the Israelites. This is because you both rebelled against my command at the oasis of Meribah. Bring Aaron and his son Eleazar up on Mount Hor. Take off Aaron's priestly clothes and put them on his son Eleazar. Then Aaron will die there and join his ancestors. Moses did as the Lord commanded. 
the whole community saw them go up on Mount Hor. Moses took off Aaron's priestly clothes and put them on his son Eleazar. Aaron died there on top of the mountain. Then Moses and Eleazar came down from the mountain. The whole community saw that Aaron had died, and all the Israelites mourned for Aaron thirty days. Numbers chapter 21. When the Canaanite king of Arad, who lived in the Negev, heard that the Israelites were coming on the road to Atharim, he fought them and took some of them as prisoners. Then the Israelites made this vow to the Lord, If you will hand these people over to us, we'll destroy their cities because you've claimed them. The Lord listened to the Israelites and handed the Canaanites over to them. They destroyed the Canaanites and their cities, so they called the place Hormah, claimed for destruction. Then they moved from Mount Hor, following the road that goes to the Red Sea, in order to get around Edom. The people became impatient on the trip and criticized God and Moses. They said, Why did you make us leave Egypt, just to let us die in the desert? There's no bread or water, and we can't stand this awful food. So the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people. They bit the people, and many of the Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, we sinned when we criticized the Lord and you. Pray to the Lord so that he will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it on a pole. People looked at the bronze snake after they were bitten, and they lived. The Israelites moved and set up camp at Oboth. Next they moved from Oboth and set up camp at Ai-Abarim, in the desert west of Moab. From there they moved and set up camp at the Zered River. They moved from there and set up camp on the other side of the Arnon Valley in the desert that extends into Amorite territory. The Arnon Valley is the border between Moab and the Amorites. This is how it's described in the Book of the Wars of the Lord. Waheb in Sufa and the valleys Arnon and the slopes of the valleys that go down to the site of Ar and lie along the border of Moab. From there they went to Beer, well, this is the well where the Lord said to Moses, Gather the people, and I will give them water. Then Israel sang this song about the well. Make your water spring up, sing to the well, the well dug by princes, dug out by the nobles of the people with their scepters and staffs. From the desert they went to Matana and from Atana to Nahaliel, and from Nahaliel to Bamoth, and from Bamoth to the valley in Moab, where Mount Pisgah overlooks Jeshimon. Then Israel sent messengers to say to King Sihon of the Amorites, Let us go through your country. We won't go through any of your fields or vineyards or drink any of the water from your wells. We'll stay on the king's highway until we've passed through your territory. Sihon wouldn't let Israel pass through his territory. Sihon gathered all his troops and came out into the desert to attack Israel. When Sihon's troops came to Jahaz, they fought against Israel. But Israel defeated them in battle and took possession of their land from the Arnon Valley to the Jabbok River. They stopped at the border of the Ammon because it was fortified. Israel took all those Amorite cities, including Heshbon and all its villages, and lived in them. Heshbon was the city of King Sihon of the Amorites. He had fought the former king of Moab and had taken all his land up to the Arnon Valley. This is why the poets say, Come to Heshbon, rebuild it, restore Sihon's city. Fire came out of Heshbon, flames from Sihon's city. They destroyed Ar of Moab, the rulers of Arnon's worship sites. How horrible it is for you, Moab! You are destroyed, you people of the god Chemosh. 
Chemosh let his sons become refugees, and he let his daughters become prisoners of King Sihon of the Amorites. But we shot the Amorites full of arrows. From Heshbon to Dibon, they all died. We destroyed everyone and everything between Nopha and Mediba. So Israel settled in the land of the Amorites. After Moses sent spies to Jazer, the Israelites captured its cities and villages and forced out the Amorites who were there. Then they turned and followed the road that goes to Bashan. King Og of Bashan and all his troops came out to fight the Israelites at Edrei. The Lord said to Moses, Don't be afraid of him. I'll hand him, all his troops and his land, over to you. Do to him what you did to King Sihon of the Amorites, who ruled in Heshbon. The Israelites defeated him, his sons and all his troops, leaving no survivors, and they took possession of his land. Numbers chapter 22. Then the Israelites moved and set up camp across from Jericho on the plains of Moab east of the Jordan River. Balak, son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. The Moabites were very afraid because there were so many Israelites. Besides, the Moabites couldn't stand these people. So the Moabites said to the leaders of Midian, All those people will eventually eat up everything around us the same way an ox eats up the grass in a field. At that time Balak, son of Zippor, was king of Moab. He sent messengers to summon Balaam, son of Beor, who was at Pethor, on the Euphrates River in the land where his people lived. Balak's message was, A nation has just come here from Egypt. They spread out all over the countryside and are setting up their camp here in front of me. Please come and curse these people for me, because they are too strong for me. Maybe then I'll be able to defeat them and force them out of the country. I know that whomever you bless is blessed, and whomever you curse is cursed. The leaders of Moab and Midian left, taking money with them to pay for Balaam's services. They came to Balaam and told him what Balak had said. Spend the night here, Balaam said to them, and I'll report to you what the Lord tells me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. God came to Balaam and asked, Who are these men with you? Balaam answered, Balak, son of King Zippor of Moab, sent them with this message. Some people have just come from Egypt and are spreading out all over the countryside. Now come and curse them for me. Maybe I'll be able to fight them and force them out. But God said to Balaam, Don't go with them. Don't curse these people, because they are blessed. When Balaam got up in the morning, he said to Balak's princes, Go back to your own country, because the Lord has refused to let me go with you. So the Moabite princes went back to Balak and said, Balaam refused to come with us. Balak sent a larger group of more highly respected princes. When they came to Balaam, they said to him, This is what Balak, son of Zippor, says. Don't let anything keep you from coming to me. I will make sure you are richly rewarded, and I will do whatever you ask. Please come and curse these people for me. But Balaam answered Balak's servants, even if Balak gave me his palace filled with silver and gold, I couldn't disobey the command of the Lord my God, no matter whether the request was important or not. Now why don't you stay here tonight, as the others did, and I'll find out what else the Lord may have to tell me. That night God came to Balaam and said, If these men have come to summon you, go with them, but do only what I tell you. When Balaam got up in the morning, he saddled his donkey and left with the Moabite princes. God became angry that he was going. So the messenger of the Lord stood in the road to stop him. Balaam was riding on his donkey, accompanied by his two servants. When the donkey saw the messenger of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn, the donkey turned off the road into a field. Balaam hit the donkey to get it back on the road. 
Where the road went through the vineyards, it was narrow, with stone walls on both sides. Now the messenger of the Lord stood there. When the donkey saw the messenger of the Lord, it moved over and pinned Balaam's foot against the wall. So Balaam hit the donkey again. Then the messenger of the Lord moved ahead and stood in a narrower place, where there was no room to turn to the right or the left. When the donkey saw the messenger of the Lord, it lay down under Balaam. Balaam became so angry he hit the donkey with his stick. Then the Lord made the donkey speak, and it asked Balaam, What have I done to make you hit me three times? Balaam answered, You've made a fool of me. If I had a sword in my hand, I'd kill you right now. The donkey said to Balaam, I'm your own donkey. You've always ridden me. Have I ever done this to you before? No, he answered. Then the Lord let Balaam see the messenger of the Lord who was standing in the road with his sword drawn. So Balaam knelt, bowing with his face touching the ground. The messenger of the Lord asked him, Why have you hit your donkey three times like this? I've come here to stop you, because the trip you're taking is evil. The donkey saw me, and turned away from me these three times. If it had not turned away from me, I would certainly have killed you by now, but spared the donkey. Balaam said to the messenger of the Lord, I've sinned. I didn't know you were standing there on the road to stop me. If you still think this trip is evil, I'll go back. The messenger of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but say only what I tell you. So Balaam went with Balak's princes. When Balak heard that Balaam had come, he went out to meet him at Ir Moab, in the region of the Arnon Valley, right on the border of Moab. Balak said to Balaam, Why didn't you come when I summoned you? You knew I'd be able to reward you. Balaam replied, Well, I've come to you now, but I can't say whatever I want to. I can only say what God tells me to say. Balaam went with Balak to Kiriath Huzoth. Balak sacrificed cattle, sheep, and goats, and sent some of the meat to Balaam and the princes who were with him. The next morning Balak took Balaam up to Bamoth Baal. From there he could see the outskirts of the Israelites' camp. Numbers chapter 23. Balaam said to Balak, Build seven altars here, and prepare seven bulls and seven rams for me. Balak did what Balaam told him, and the two of them offered a bull and a ram on each altar. Balaam said to Balak, Stay here beside your burnt offering while I am gone. Maybe the Lord will come and meet with me. I will tell you whatever he reveals to me. Then Balaam went off to a higher place where there were no trees. God came to him, and Balaam said, I have set up seven altars, and I offered a bull and a ram on each altar. The Lord told Balaam, Go back to Balak and give him my message. So he went back to Balak and found him standing beside his burnt offering with all the princes of Moab. Then Balaam delivered this message. Balak brought me from Aram. The king of Moab summoned me from the eastern mountains. Come, curse Jacob for me, he said. Come, condemn Israel. How can I curse those whom God hasn't cursed? How can I condemn those whom the Lord hasn't condemned? I see them from the top of rocky cliffs. I look at them from the hills. I see a nation that lives by itself, people who do not consider themselves to be like other nations. The descendants of Jacob are like specks of dust. Who can count them or number even one-fourth of the people of Israel? Let me die the death of innocent people. Let my end be like theirs. Balak said to Balaam, what have you done to me? I brought you here to curse my enemies, but all you've done is bless them. Balaam answered, I must say what the Lord tells me to say. Then Balak said to him, 
Please come with me to another place where you can see the Israelites. You will see only some of them, not all of them. Curse them for me from there. So he took him to the field of Zophim, on top of Mount Pisgah, where he built seven altars. He offered a bull and a ram on each altar. Then Balaam said to Balak, Stay here beside your burnt offering while I meet with God over there. The Lord came to Balaam and told him, Go back to Balak and give him my message. He came to Balak and found him standing beside his burnt offering with the princes of Moab. Balak asked him, What did the Lord say? Then Balaam delivered this message. Stand up, Balak, and listen. Hear me, son of Zippor. God is not like people. He tells no lies. He is not like humans. He doesn't change his mind. When he says something, he does it. When he makes a promise, he keeps it. I have received a command to bless. He has blessed, and I can't change it. He doesn't want any trouble for the descendants of Jacob. He sees no misfortune for the people of Israel. The Lord their God is with them, praised as their king. The God who brought them out of Egypt has the strength of a wild bull. No spell can curse the descendants of Jacob. No magic can harm the people of Israel. Now it will be said of Jacob and Israel, See what God has done. Here is a nation that attacks like a lioness and is as ferocious as a lion. It doesn't lie down until it eats its prey and drinks the blood of its victim. Balak said to Balaam, If you won't curse them, then at least don't bless them. Balaam answered, Didn't I tell you that I must do whatever the Lord says? Balak said to Balaam, Come, let me take you to another place. Maybe God wants you to curse them for me from there. So Balak took Balaam to the top of Mount Peor, which overlooks Jeshimon. Balaam said to Balak, Build seven altars here, and prepare seven bulls and seven rams for me. Balak did what Balaam told him, and he offered a bull and a ram on each altar. Numbers chapter 24 When Balaam saw that the Lord wanted to bless Israel, he didn't look for omens as he had done before. He turned toward the desert, looked up, and saw Israel's camp grouped by tribes. The Spirit of God entered him, and he delivered this message. This is the message of Balaam, son of Beor. This is the message of the man whose eyesight is clear. This is the message of the one who hears the words of God, has a vision from the Almighty, and falls into a trance with his eyes open. How beautiful are your tents, Jacob, and the places where you live, Israel! Your tents spread out like rivers, like gardens by a river, like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars by the water. Water will flow from their buckets, and their crops will have plenty of water. Their king will be greater than Agag, and their kingdom will be considered the best. The God who brought them out of Egypt has the strength of a wild bull. He will devour nations that are his enemies, crush their bones and pierce them with arrows. His people lie down and rest like a lion. They are like a lioness. Who dares to disturb them? Those who bless you will be blessed. Those who curse you will be cursed. Balak became angry with Balaam. He clapped his hands and said, I summoned you to curse my enemies, and now you have blessed them three times. Get out of here. Go home. I said I'd reward you richly, but the Lord has made you lose your reward. Balaam answered Balak, I told the messengers you sent me, even if Balak would give me his palace filled with silver and gold, I couldn't disobey the Lord's command no matter how good or bad the request might seem to me. I must say only what the Lord says. Even though I'm going back to my people, I'll give you some advice. I'll tell you what these people will do to your people in the days to come. Then Balaam delivered this message. This is the message of Balaam, son of Beor. 
This is the message of the man whose eyesight is clear. This is the message of the one who hears the words of God, receives knowledge from the Most High, has a vision from the Almighty, and falls into a trance with his eyes open. I see someone who is not here now. I look at someone who is not nearby. A star will come from Jacob. A scepter will rise from Israel. He will crush the heads of the Moabites and destroy all the people of Sheth. Edom will be conquered, and Seir, his enemy, will be conquered. So Israel will become wealthy. He will rule from Jacob and destroy whoever is left in their cities. Then Balaam saw the Amalekites and delivered this message. Amalek was first among the nations, but in the end it will be destroyed. Then he saw the Kenites and delivered this message. You have a permanent place to live. Your nest is built in a rock, but it is destined to be burned, you descendants of Cain, when Assyria takes you as prisoners of war. He delivered this message. Oh no! Who will live when God decides to do this? Ships will come from the shores of Cyprus. They will conquer Assyria and Eber, but they too will be totally destroyed. Then Balaam got up and went back home, and Balak also went on his way. Numbers chapter 25. While Israel was staying at Shittim, the men began to have sex with Moabite women who invited the people to the sacrifices offered to their gods. The people ate the meat from the sacrifices and worshipped these gods. Since the Israelites joined in worshipping the god Baal of Peor, the Lord became angry with Israel. The Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of the people and execute them in broad daylight in the Lord's presence. This will turn the Lord's anger away from Israel. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, Each of you must kill the men who have joined in worshipping the god Baal of Peor. One of the Israelite men brought a Midianite woman to his brothers. He did this right in front of Moses and the whole community of Israel while they were crying at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Phinehas, son of Eleazar, and grandson of the priest Aaron, saw this. So he left the assembly, took a spear in his hand, and went into the tent after the Israelite man. He drove the spear through the man and into the woman's body. Because of this, the plague that the Israelites were experiencing stopped. However, 24,000 people died from that plague. Then the Lord said to Moses, Phinehas, son of Eleazar, and grandson of the priest Aaron, turned my fury away from the Israelites. Since he stood up for me, I didn't have to stand up for myself and destroy them. So tell Phinehas that I'm making a promise of peace to him. My promise is that he and his descendants will be priests permanently, because he stood up for his God, and he made peace with the Lord for the Israelites. The name of the Israelite man who was killed with the Midianite woman was Zimri, son of Salu. Salu was the leader of a family from Simeon. The name of the Midianite woman who was killed was Cosby, daughter of Zur. Zur was the head of a family from the Midianite tribes. The Lord said to Moses, Treat the Midianites as your enemies, and kill them because they treated you as enemies. They plotted to trick you in the incident that took place at Peor. They used their sister Cosby, daughter of a Midianite leader, who was killed on the day of the plague caused by the incident at Peor. Numbers chapter 26. After the plague, the Lord said to Moses and Eleazar, son of the priest Aaron, Take a census of the whole community of Israel by households. List those who are at least twenty years old and eligible for military duty. So Moses and the priest Eleazar spoke to the Israelites on the plains of Moab near the Jordan River across from Jericho. They said, Take a census of those at least twenty years old, as the Lord commanded Moses. 
These are the Israelites who came from Egypt. Reuben was Israel's firstborn. The descendants of Reuben were the family of Hanoch, the family of Palu, the family of Hezron, and the family of Carmi. These were the families of Reuben. The total number of men was 43,730. Eliab was the son of Palu, and Nemuel, Dathan, and Abiram were the sons of Eliab. It was Dathan and Abiram, men chosen by the community, who defied Moses and Aaron's authority. They joined Korah's followers when they defied the Lord's authority. The ground opened up and swallowed them along with Korah. They and their followers died when the fire consumed the 250 men. This was a warning, but the descendants of Korah didn't die. The families descended from Simeon were the families of Nemuel, the family of Jamin, the family of Jachin, the family of Zerah, and the family of Shaul. These were the families of Simeon. The total number of men was 22,200. The families descended from Gad were the family of Zephon, the family of Hagi, the family of Shuni, the family of Ozni, the family of Eri, the family of Arodi, and the family of Areli. These were the families of Gad's descendants. The total number of men was 40,500. Ur and Onan were sons of Judah, but they died in Canaan. The families descended from Judah were the family of Shelah, the family of Perez, and the family of Zerah. The descendants of Perez were the family of Hezron and the family of Hamul. These were the families of Judah. The total number of men was 76,500. The families descended from Issachar were the family of Tola, the family of Pua, the family of Joshub, and the family of Shimron. These were the families of Issachar. The total number of men was 64,300. The families descended from Zebulun were the families of Sered, the family of Elon, and the family of Jahalil. These were the families of Zebulun. The total number of men was 60,500. The families descended from Joseph through Manasseh and Ephraim were, from Manasseh, the family of Machir, Machir was the father of Gilead, and the family of Gilead. The descendants of Gilead were the family of Aizer, the family of Helek, the family of Azriel, the family of Shechem, the family of Shemida, and the family of Hefer. Zelophadad, son of Hefer, had no sons, only daughters. Their names were Mala, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Tirzah. These were the families of Manasseh. The total number of men was 52,700. The families descended from Ephraim were the families of Shuthelah, the family of Beker, and the family of Tachan. The descendants of Shuthelah were the family of Eran. These were the families of Ephraim's descendants. The total number of men was 32,500. These were the families descended from Joseph. The families descended from Benjamin were the family of Bela, the family of Ashbel, the family of Ahiram, the family of Shufam, and the family of Hufam. The descendants of Bela through Ard and Naaman were the family of Ard and the family of Naaman. These were the families descended from Benjamin. The total number of men was 45,600. The family descended from Dan was the family of Shuham. This was the family descended from Dan. The total number of men in all the family of Shuham was 64,400. The families descended from Asher were the family of Imnah, the family of Ishvi, and the family of Beriah. The descendants of Beriah were the family of Heber and the family of Malkiel. Asher had a daughter named Sarah. These were the families of Asher's descendants. The total number of men was 53,400. The families descended from Naphtali were the family of Jazil, the family of Guni, the family of Jazer, and the family of Shilem. 
These were the families of Naphtali. The total number of men was 45,400. The total number of Israelite men was 601,730. Then the Lord said to Moses, The land these people will possess must be divided using the list of names from the census. Give more land to larger tribes and less land to smaller ones. Use the totals from the census in giving land to each tribe. But the land must be divided by drawing lots. The tribes will receive their land based on the names of their ancestors. Whether the tribes are large or small, the land must be divided by drawing lots. The families descended from Levi were listed as the family of Gershon, the family of Kohath, and the family of Morari. These were the families of Levi, the Libnite family, the Hebronite family, the Malite family, the Mushite family, and the Korahite family. Kohath was the ancestor of Amram. The name of Amram's wife was Jochebed, a descendant of Levi who was born in Egypt. She gave birth to Amram's children, Aaron, Moses, and their sister Miriam. Aaron was the father of Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. But Nadab and Abihu had died because they offered unauthorized fire in the Lord's presence. The total number of all the Levite males at least one month old was 23,000. They were not counted along with the other Israelites because they were given no land of their own. Moses and the priest Eleazar added up the total number of Israelites on the plains of Moab near the Jordan River across from Jericho. Among them there wasn't a single one of the Israelites Moses and the priest Aaron had counted in the desert of Sinai. The Lord had said they must all die in the desert. The only ones left were Caleb son of Jephunneh and Joshua son of Nun. Numbers chapter 27. The daughters of Zelophehad, son of Hefer, grandson of Gilead, descended of Machir, whose father was Manasseh, belonged to the families of Manasseh, son of Joseph. Their names were Mala, Noah, Hogla, Milcah, and Tirzah. They came to Moses and stood in front of him, the priest Eleazar, the leaders, and the whole community at the entrance to the tent of meeting. They said, Our father died in the desert. He was not a part of Korah's followers who joined forces against the Lord. He died for his own sin and left no sons. Why should our father's name be allowed to die out in his family because he had no son? Give us property among our father's relatives. So Moses brought their case to the Lord, and the Lord said to him, Zelophehad's daughters are right. You must give them property of their own among their father's relatives. Turn their father's property over to them. Tell the Israelites, If a man dies and leaves no sons, turn his property over to his daughters. If he has no daughters, give his property to his brothers. If he has no brothers, give his property to his uncles on his father's side of the family. If he has no uncles, give his property to the nearest relative in his family, and that relative will take possession of it. This will be a rule for the Israelites, as the Lord commanded Moses. The Lord said to Moses, Go up into the Abirim mountains and take a look at the land I will give the Israelites. After you see it, you too will join your ancestors in death, as your brother Aaron did. You both rebelled against my command in the desert of Zin. You didn't show the people how holy I am when they were complaining at the oasis. This was the oasis of Meribah at Kadesh in the desert of Zin. Moses said to the Lord, Lord, you are the God who gives the breath of life to everyone. Please appoint someone over the community who will lead them in and out of battle so that the Lord's community will not be like sheep without a shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, son of Nun, a man who has the Spirit, and place your hand on him. Make him stand in front of the priest Eleazar and the whole community, and give him his instructions in their presence. 
Give him some of your authority, so that the whole community of Israel will obey him. He will stand in front of the priest Eleazar, who will use the Urim to make decisions in the Lord's presence. At his command, Joshua and the whole community of Israel will go into battle, and at his command they will return. Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and made him stand in front of the priest Eleazar and the whole community. Moses placed his hands on Joshua and gave him his instructions as the Lord had told him. Numbers chapter 28. The Lord said to Moses, Give this command to the Israelites. Be sure to bring me my offerings at the right times. They are my food. They are offerings by fire, a soothing aroma. These are the offerings by fire that you must bring to the Lord. Every day you must bring as a daily burnt offering two one-year-old lambs that have no defects. Offer one in the morning and the other at dusk. With each of them also bring a grain offering of eight cups of flour mixed with one quart of virgin olive oil. This is the daily burnt offering which was established on Mount Sinai. This offering is a soothing aroma, an offering by fire to the Lord. Also bring a wine offering of one quart of wine for each lamb. Pour it out to the Lord in a holy place. Offer the other lamb at dusk along with the same grain offering and wine offering as you brought in the morning. This is an offering by fire, a soothing aroma to the Lord. On the day of worship, offer two one-year-old lambs that have no defects, a grain offering of sixteen cups of flour mixed with olive oil, and the wine offering that goes with it. This burnt offering is for every day of worship in addition to the daily burnt offerings and the wine offerings that go with them. On the first of every month, bring the Lord a burnt offering of two young bulls, one ram, and seven one-year-old lambs that have no defects. With each bull there will be a grain offering of twenty-four cups of flour mixed with olive oil, with each ram a grain offering of sixteen cups of flour mixed with olive oil, and with each one-year-old lamb a grain offering of eight cups of flour mixed with olive oil. This is a burnt offering, a soothing aroma, an offering by fire to the Lord. The wine offering that goes with each bull will be two quarts of wine, with each ram one and one-half quarts of wine, and with each lamb one quart of wine. This will be the monthly burnt offering for every month of the year. In addition to the daily burnt offering with its wine offering, one male goat must be offered to the Lord as an offering for sin. The fourteenth day of the first month is the Lord's Passover. The fifteenth of this same month is a pilgrimage festival. For seven days you must eat only unleavened bread. On the first day there will be a holy assembly. Don't do any regular work. Instead, bring the Lord an offering by fire, a burnt offering of two young bulls, one ram, and seven one-year-old lambs, all of them without defects. Along with them bring grain offerings of flour mixed with olive oil. Bring twenty-four cups for each bull, sixteen cups for each ram, and eight cups for each of the seven lambs. Also bring one male goat as an offering for sin to make peace with the Lord. Offer these in addition to the morning burnt offering. Bring all these offerings on each of the seven days. They are food. They are offerings by fire, a soothing aroma to the Lord. They will be offered in addition to the daily burnt offering and the wine offering that goes with it. On the seventh day you must have a holy assembly. You must not do any regular work. During the festival of weeks you must have a holy assembly. On that day you must not do any regular work. Bring the Lord your new grain offering, the first produce harvested from your fields. Bring a burnt offering as a soothing aroma to the Lord, two young bulls, one ram, and seven one-year-old lambs. Along with them bring grain offerings of flour mixed with olive oil. Bring twenty-four cups for each bull, sixteen cups for each ram, 
and eight cups for each of the seven lambs. Also bring one male goat to make peace with the Lord. Offer these animals that have no defects along with their wine offerings, in addition to the daily burnt offerings and their grain offerings. Numbers chapter 29. The Lord continued, On the first day of the seventh month you must have a holy assembly. You must not do any regular work. It is a day for the trumpets to sound a fanfare. As a burnt offering, a soothing aroma to the Lord, bring one young bull, one ram, and seven one-year-old lambs that have no defects. Along with them bring grain offerings of flour mixed with olive oil. Bring twenty-four cups for each bull, sixteen cups for each ram, and eight cups for each of the seven lambs. Also bring one male goat as an offering for sin to make peace with the Lord. Offer these in addition to the monthly burnt offering with its grain offering, and the daily burnt offerings with their proper grain offerings and wine offerings. They are a soothing aroma, an offering by fire to the Lord. On the tenth day of the seventh month you must have a holy assembly. You must humble yourselves. You must not do any work. As a burnt offering, a soothing aroma, bring one young bull, one ram, and seven one-year-old lambs, all of them without defects. Along with them, bring grain offerings of flour mixed with olive oil. Bring twenty-four cups for each bull, sixteen cups for each ram, and eight cups for each of the seven lambs. Also bring one male goat as an offering for sin, in addition to the other offering for sin to make peace with the Lord, and the daily burnt offerings with their grain offerings and wine offerings. On the fifteenth day of the seventh month you must have a holy assembly. You must not do any regular work. Instead, celebrate a festival to the Lord for seven days. As a burnt offering, an offering by fire, a soothing aroma to the Lord, bring thirteen young bulls, two rams, and fourteen one-year-old lambs, all of them without defects. Along with them bring grain offerings of flour mixed with olive oil. Bring twenty-four cups for each of the thirteen bulls, sixteen cups for each of the two rams, and eight cups for each of the fourteen one-year-old lambs. Also bring one male goat as an offering for sin, in addition to the daily burnt offerings with their grain offerings and wine offerings. On the second day bring twelve young bulls, two rams, and fourteen one-year-old lambs that have no defects. Along with them bring the proper amount of grain offerings and wine offerings for each of the bulls, rams, and lambs. Also bring one male goat as an offering for sin, in addition to the daily burnt offerings with their grain offerings and wine offerings. On the third day bring eleven bulls, two rams, and fourteen one-year-old lambs that have no defects. Along with them bring the proper amount of grain offerings and wine offerings for each of the bulls, rams, and lambs. Also bring one male goat as an offering for sin, in addition to the daily burnt offerings with their grain offerings and wine offerings. On the fourth day, bring ten bulls, two rams, and fourteen one-year-old lambs that have no defects. Along with them, bring the proper amount of grain offerings and wine offerings for each of the bulls, rams, and lambs. Also bring one male goat as an offering for sin, in addition to the daily burnt offerings, with their grain offerings and wine offerings. On the fifth day, bring nine bulls, two rams, and fourteen one-year-old lambs that have no defects. Along with them, bring the proper amount of grain offerings and wine offerings for each of the bulls, rams, and lambs. Also bring one male goat as an offering for sin, in addition to the daily burnt offerings with their grain offerings and wine offerings. On the sixth day, bring eight bulls, two rams, and fourteen one-year-old lambs that have no defects. Along with them, bring the proper amount of grain offerings and wine offerings for each of the bulls, rams, and lambs. Also bring one male goat as an offering for sin, in addition to the daily burnt offerings with their grain offerings and wine offerings. On the seventh day bring seven bulls, two rams, and fourteen one-year-old lambs that have no defects. 
Along with them, bring the proper amount of grain offerings and wine offerings for each of the bulls, rams, and lambs. Also bring one male goat as an offering for sin, in addition to the daily burnt offerings with their grain offerings and wine offerings. On the eighth day, you must hold a religious assembly. You must not do any daily work. As a burnt offering, an offering by fire, a soothing aroma to the Lord, bring one bull, one ram, and seven one-year-old lambs that have no defects. Along with them, bring the proper amount of grain offerings and wine offerings for the bull, the ram, and the lambs. Also bring one male goat as an offering for sin, in addition to the daily burnt offerings with their grain offerings and wine offerings. These are the offerings you must bring to the Lord at your festivals. They are the offerings you must bring in addition to the offerings for anything you vowed to give to the Lord, your freewill offerings, your burnt offerings, your grain offerings, your wine offerings, and your fellowship offerings. Moses told the Israelites everything the Lord had commanded him. Numbers chapter 30. Moses said to the heads of the tribes of Israel, This is what the Lord has commanded about vows. If a man makes a vow to the Lord that he will do something or swears an oath that he won't do something, he must not break his word. He must do everything he said he would do. A young girl who still lives in her father's house might make a vow to the Lord that she will do something or swear an oath that she won't do something. If her father says nothing to her when he hears about it, her vow or oath must be kept. But if her father objects when he hears about it, her vow or oath doesn't have to be kept. The Lord will free her from this vow or oath because her father objected. An unmarried woman might make a vow that she will do something or carelessly promise that she won't do something. When she marries, her husband may hear about it but say nothing to her. Then her vow or oath must be kept. But if her husband objects when he hears about it, he can cancel the vow or promise she made. The Lord will free her from this vow or promise. But a widow or a divorced woman must keep her vow or her promise. A married woman might make a vow that she will do something or swear an oath that she won't do something. Her husband may hear about it but may say nothing and not object. Then her vow or oath must be kept. But if her husband cancels it when he hears about it, nothing she said in her vow or oath has to be kept. Her husband has canceled it and the Lord will free her from this vow or oath. A husband decides whether or not his wife has to keep any vow to do something or any oath to do without something. If he says nothing to her about it day after day, this means he's decided that she must keep her vow or oath. She must keep it because he said nothing to her when he heard about it. But if he cancels it later, he will suffer the consequences. These are the laws the Lord gave Moses for husbands and wives and for fathers with young daughters still living at home. Numbers chapter 31. The Lord said to Moses, Get even with the Midianites for what they did to the Israelites. After that you will join your ancestors in death. Moses said to the people, Some of your men must get ready to go to war against the Midianites. The Lord will use them to get even with Midian. Send one thousand men from each of the tribes of Israel. So one thousand men from each tribe were supplied from the divisions of Israel, twelve thousand men ready for war. Then Moses sent them off to war, one thousand men from each tribe, along with Phinehas, son of the priest Eleazar. Phinehas took with him the holy articles and the trumpets for the fanfare. They went to war against Midian, as the Lord commanded Moses, and killed every man. Among those killed were the five kings of Midian, Avi, Rechem, Zur, Hur, and Reba. They also killed Balaam, son of Beor, in battle. The Israelites took the Midianite women and children as prisoners of war. 
They also took all their animals, their livestock, and their valuables as loot. They burned all the cities where the Midianites lived and all their settlements. Then they took everything as loot, including all the people and animals, and brought the prisoners of war, the loot, and everything to Moses, the priest Eleazar, and the community of Israel at the camp on the plains of Moab near the Jordan River, across from Jericho. Moses, the priest Eleazar, and all the leaders of the community went outside the camp to meet them. Moses was angry with the officers of the army, the commanders of the companies and battalions who were returning from battle. Why did you let all the women live? he asked them. Remember, they were the ones who followed Balaam's advice and caused the Israelites to be unfaithful to the Lord in the incident that took place at Peor. The Lord's community experienced a plague at that time. So kill all the Midianite boys and every Midianite woman who has gone to bed with a man. But save for yourselves every girl who has never gone to bed with a man. Everyone who killed a person or touched a dead body must stay outside the camp seven days. You and your prisoners of war must use the ritual water on the third and seventh days in order to take away your sin. Do the same for all the clothes and everything made of leather, goat's hair, or wood. Then the priest Eleazar said to the soldiers who had gone into battle, This is what the Lord's teachings told Moses to do. Any gold, silver, bronze, iron, tin, or lead, anything that won't burn, must be put through fire in order to make it clean. Then it must also be put through the ritual water in order to take away its sin. Whatever might burn must only be put through the ritual water. On the seventh day wash your clothes and you will be clean. Then you may come into the camp. The Lord said to Moses, You, the priest Eleazar, and the heads of the families of the community need to count all the loot, including the people and animals you captured. Divide the loot between the soldiers who served in the war and the rest of the community. Collect a tax for the Lord. From the soldiers who served in the war, collect one out of every five hundred things. This includes people, cattle, donkeys, sheep, and goats. Collect all these things from the soldiers, half of the loot, and give them to the priest Eleazar as a contribution to the Lord. From the Israelites, half of the loot, collect one out of every fifty things. This includes people, cattle, donkeys, sheep, goats, and every other kind of animal. Give them to the Levites who are in charge of the work done at the Lord's tent. Moses and the priest Eleazar did as the Lord commanded Moses. This is the loot that was left from everything that the troops took. 675,000 sheep and goats, 72,000 cattle, 61,000 donkeys, and 32,000 women who had never gone to bed with a man. Half of it went to the soldiers who served in the war. Of the 337,500 sheep and goats they received, 675 went to the Lord as taxes. Of the 36,000 cattle they received, 72 went to the Lord as taxes. Of the 30,500 donkeys they received, 61 went to the Lord as taxes. Of the 16,000 people they received, 32 went to the Lord as taxes. Moses gave the Lord's taxes to the priest Eleazar as the Lord had commanded him. Moses took the Israelites' half of the loot from the soldiers. The community received 337,500 sheep and goats, 36,000 cattle, 30,500 donkeys, and 16,000 people. From the Israelites' half, Moses collected one out of every 50 things, including people and animals, as the Lord commanded him. Then he gave all this to the Levites who were in charge of the work done at the Lord's tent. Then the officers from the military divisions, the commanders of the companies and battalions of men, came to Moses. They said to him, 
Sir, we have counted all the soldiers under our command, and not one of them is missing. So we have brought as gifts to the Lord the gold jewelry that each of us found, armbands, bracelets, signet rings, earrings, and pendants. We offer them to make peace with the Lord. Moses and the priest Eleazar took all the handcrafted gold articles from them. All the gold contributed to the Lord by the commanders weighed about 420 pounds. Each soldier kept his own loot. Moses and the priest Eleazar took the gold from the commanders and brought it into the Lord's presence at the tent of meeting as a reminder to the Israelites. Numbers chapter 32. The tribes of Reuben and Gad had a large number of livestock. They saw that the regions of Jazer and Gilead were a good place for livestock. So they came to Moses, the priest, Eleazar, and the leaders of the community, and said to them, Ataroth, Dibon, Jazer, Nimrah, Heshbon, Eliela, Sebam, Nebo, and Beon, the land that the Lord won for the community of Israel is a good place for livestock. Gentlemen, we have livestock. Please give us this land as our property. Don't make us cross the Jordan River. Moses asked the tribes of Gad and Reuben, Are you going to stay here while the rest of the Israelites go to war? That might discourage them from entering the land the Lord has given them. That's what your ancestors did when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to take a look at the land. They went as far as the Eshkol Valley and saw the land. But then they discouraged the rest of the Israelites from entering the land that the Lord had given them. That day the Lord became angry and swore this oath. None of the people twenty years old or older who came from Egypt will see the land I promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob with an oath. This is because they didn't wholeheartedly follow me. Only Caleb, son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, and Joshua, son of Nun, will get to see the land. This is because they wholeheartedly followed the Lord. Since the Lord was angry with the Israelites, he made them wander in the desert for forty years, until the whole generation of those who had done evil in the Lord's presence was gone. You're just like your parents. You're a bunch of sinners trying to make the Lord angry with Israel again. If you turn away from him, he will abandon all these people in the desert. You would be responsible for their destruction. Then the tribes of Gad and Reuben came up to Moses and said, Allow us to build stone fences for our livestock and cities for our families here. Then we'll be ready to march in battle formation ahead of the other Israelites until we have brought them to their land. Meanwhile, our families will live in walled cities, safe from the other people who live here. We will not return to our homes until every Israelite has received his own land. We won't take possession of any land on the other side of the Jordan River to the west and beyond. We already have our land here, east of the Jordan. Moses answered, Do what you have said. In the Lord's presence have all your armed men get ready for battle. Have them cross the Jordan and fight until the Lord forces out his enemies and the land is conquered. Then you may come back. You will have fulfilled your military duty to the Lord and Israel. This land will be your own property in the Lord's presence. If you don't do all these things, you will be sinning against the Lord. You can be sure that you will be punished for your sin. Build cities for your families and stone fences for your flocks. But do what you have promised. Then the tribes of Gad and Reuben said to Moses, Sir, we will do as you command. Our children, our wives, our livestock, and all our other animals will stay here in the cities of Gilead. But in the Lord's presence we will all get ready for battle and go with you as you have said. So Moses gave orders about them to the priest Eleazar, Joshua son of Nun, and the family heads of the tribes of Israel. Moses told them, 
If the tribes of Gad and Reuben get ready for battle in the Lord's presence and cross the Jordan River with you and you conquer the land, give them Gilead as their own property. If they don't get ready for battle and go with you, the land they will take possession of must be in Canaan with yours. The tribes of Gad and Reuben answered, Sir, we will do as the Lord has said. We will enter Canaan as armed troops in the Lord's presence, but the land we will take possession of is here, east of the Jordan. So Moses gave the tribes of Gad, Reuben, and half of the tribe of Manasseh, son of Joseph, the kingdoms of King Sihon of the Amorites and King Og of Bashan, the whole land with its cities and its surrounding territory. The tribe of Gad rebuilt the cities of Dibon, Ataroth, Aroer, Atroth, Shofan, Jazer, Jogbeha, Beth-Nimrah, and Beth-Haran as walled cities. They also built stone fences for their flocks. The tribe of Reuben rebuilt the cities of Heshbon, Eliela, Kiriathaim, Nebo, Baal-Meon, whose names were changed, and Sibma. These are the names they gave the cities they rebuilt. The descendants of Machir, son of Manasseh, went to Gilead, captured it, and forced out the Amorites who were there. So Moses gave Gilead to the people of Machir, the descendants of Manasseh, and they lived there. Then Jair, a descendant of Manasseh, captured the settlements in Gilead. He called them Havoth-Jair, settlements of Jair. Nobah captured Canoth and its villages. He named it Nobah after himself. Numbers chapter 33. This is a list of all the places where the Israelites set up camp after they left Egypt in organized groups under the leadership of Moses and Aaron. At the Lord's command, Moses wrote down the places where they went as they traveled. This is the list. They moved from Ramses on the fifteenth day of the first month, the day after the Passover. The Israelites boldly left in full view of all the Egyptians. The Egyptians were burying all their firstborn sons, whom the Lord had killed in a mighty act of judgment on their gods. The Israelites moved from Ramses and set up camp at Sokoth. They moved from Sokoth and set up camp at Etham on the edge of the desert. They moved from Etham and turned back to Pi-Hahiroth, east of Baal-Zephon, and set up camp near Migdol. They moved from Pi-Hahiroth and went through the middle of the sea into the desert. After they traveled for three days in the desert of Etham, they set up camp at Mara. They moved from Mara and came to Elim. Elim had twelve springs and seventy palm trees, so they set up camp there. They moved from Elim and set up camp by the Red Sea. They moved from the Red Sea and set up camp in the desert of Sin. They moved from the desert of Sin and set up camp at Dovka. They moved from Dovka and set up camp at Alush. They moved from Alush and set up camp at Rephidim, where there was no water for the people to drink. They moved from Rephidim and set up camp in the desert of Sinai. They moved from the desert of Sinai and set up camp at Kibroth Hata'ava. They moved from Kibroth Hata'ava and set up camp at Hazaroth. They moved from Hazaroth and set up camp at Rithma. They moved from Rithma and set up camp at Rimon Perez. They moved from Rimon Perez and set up camp at Libna. They moved from Libna and set up camp at Risha. They moved from Risha and set up camp at Kehelathath. They moved from Kehelathath and set up camp at Mount Sefer. They moved from Mount Sefer and set up camp at Harada. They moved from Harada and set up camp at Makeloth. They moved from Makeloth and set up camp at Tahath. They moved from Tahath and set up camp at Terra. They moved from Terra and set up camp at Mithka. They moved from Mithka and set up camp at Hashmona. 
They moved from Hashmona and set up camp at Mozeroth. They moved from Mozeroth and set up camp at Benejaakan. They moved from Benejaakan and set up camp at Hor Hagidgad. They moved from Hor Hagidgad and set up camp at Jotbatha. They moved from Jotbatha and set up camp at Abruna. They moved from Abruna and set up camp at Ezion Geber. They moved from Ezion Geber and set up camp at Kadesh in the desert of Zin. They moved from Kadesh and set up camp at Mount Hor on the border of Edom. At the Lord's command, the priest Aaron went up on Mount Hor. He died there on the first day of the fifth month in the fortieth year after the Israelites had left Egypt. Aaron was 123 years old when he died on Mount Hor. The Canaanite king of Arad, who lived in the Negev, which was in Canaan, heard that the Israelites were coming. They moved from Mount Hor and set up camp at Zalmona. They moved from Zalmona and set up camp at Punon. They moved from Punon and set up camp at Oboth. They moved from Oboth and set up camp at Ai Abarim, on the border of Moab. They moved from Ayim and set up camp at Dibon Gad. They moved from Dibon Gad and set up camp at Almon Diblathaim. They moved from Almon Diblathaim and set up camp in the Abarim Mountains east of Nebo. They moved from the Abarim Mountains and set up camp on the plains of Moab near the Jordan River across from Jericho. They set up camp on the plains of Moab along the Jordan. Their camp extended from Beth Jeshemoth to Abel Shittim. The Lord said to Moses on the plains of Moab near the Jordan River across from Jericho, Tell the Israelites, you will be crossing the Jordan River and entering Canaan. As you advance, force out all the people who live there. Get rid of all their stone and metal idols and destroy all their places of worship. Take possession of the land and live there, because I will give it to you for your own. Divide the land among your families by drawing lots. Give more land to larger families and less land to smaller ones. The land must be given to each family by drawing lots. Divide it among your ancestors' tribes. But if you do not force out those who live in the land, they will be like splinters in your eyes and thorns in your sides. They will constantly fight with you over the land you live in. Then I will do to you what I plan to do to them. Numbers chapter 34. The Lord said to Moses, Give the Israelites these instructions. When you enter Canaan, the land that will be given to you as your inheritance has these borders. The southern side includes part of the desert of Zin along the border of Edom. In the east, the southern border starts from the end of the Dead Sea and turns south of the Akrabim Pass. It then goes past Zin and ends at Kadesh Barnea. From there it goes to Hazar-Radar and on to Asmon. From Asmon it turns toward the river of Egypt so that the border ends at the Mediterranean Sea. The western border is the coastline of the Mediterranean Sea. The northern border extends from the Mediterranean Sea to Mount Hor, and from Mount Hor to the border of Hamath, so that it ends at Zidad. From there the border goes to Ziphron and ends at Hazar-Enan. The eastern border extends from Hazar-Enan to Shepham. From Shepham the border goes down to Ribla, east of Ain, and continues along the eastern slope of the Sea of Galilee. Then the border goes along the Jordan River so that it ends at the Dead Sea. This will be your land and the borders around it. Moses commanded the Israelites, This is the land you will divide by drawing lots. The Lord has commanded that this land will be given to the nine and a half tribes. 
The households from the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and half of the tribe of Manasseh have already received their land. Those two and a half tribes received land east of the Jordan River, across from Jericho. The Lord said to Moses, These are the names of the men who will divide the land for you, the priest Eleazar and Joshua son of Nun. You must also take one leader from each tribe to divide the land. These are their names. Caleb, son of Jephunneh, from the tribe of Judah. Shemuel, son of Amihud, from the tribe of Simeon. Elidad, son of Kislon, from the tribe of Benjamin. Buki, son of Jogli, the leader of the tribe of Dan. Haniel, son of Ephod, the leader of the tribe of Manasseh. Kemuel, son of Shiftan, the leader of the tribe of Ephraim. Manasseh and Ephraim are Joseph's descendants. Elisaphan, son of Parnach, the leader of the tribe of Zebulun. Paltiel, son of Azan, the leader of the tribe of Issachar. Ahihud, son of Shelomi, the leader of the tribe of Asher. Pedahel, son of Amahud, the leader of the tribe of Naphtali. These are the men the Lord commanded to divide Canaan for the Israelites. Numbers chapter 35. The Lord spoke to Moses on the plains of Moab near the Jordan River across from Jericho. He said, Tell the Israelites to give the Levites some cities from their own property. They must also give the Levites the pasture land around those cities. Then the Levites will have cities to live in and pasture land for their cattle, the flocks they own, and any other animals they have. The land around the cities that you give the Levites will extend 1,500 feet from the city wall. Outside the city, measure off 3,000 feet on the east side, 3,000 feet on the south side, 3,000 feet on the west side, and 3,000 feet on the north side with the city in the center. This will be their pasture land around the city. Six of the cities you give the Levites will be cities of refuge. You must allow murderers to escape to these cities, in addition, you must also give the Levites 42 other cities. So you will give a total of 48 cities with pasture land to the Levites. The cities you give the Levites from the property of the other Israelites must be given based on the amount of land each tribe owns. Take more cities from larger tribes and fewer from smaller tribes. The Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites when you cross the Jordan River and enter Canaan, select certain cities to be places of refuge. Anyone who unintentionally kills another person may run to them. These cities will be places of refuge from any relative who can avenge the death. So anyone accused of murder will not have to die until he has had a trial in front of the community. There will be six cities you select as places of refuge, three on the east side of the Jordan River and three in Canaan. These six cities will be places of refuge for Israelites, foreigners, and strangers among you. Anyone who unintentionally kills another person may flee to these cities. But if any of you uses an iron weapon to kill another person, you are a murderer. Murderers must be put to death. If any of you picks up a stone as a weapon and uses it to kill another person, you are a murderer. Murderers must be put to death. Or if any of you picks up a piece of wood as a weapon and uses it to kill another person, you are a murderer. Murderers must be put to death. The relative who can avenge the death must make sure a murderer is put to death. When he catches up with a murderer, he must kill him. If any of you kills someone you hate by shoving him or by deliberately throwing something at him, or if you beat your enemy to death with your bare hands, you must be put to death. You are a murderer. The relative who can avenge the death must kill you when he catches up with you, because you are a murderer. 
But suppose you accidentally killed someone who wasn't your enemy. Maybe you shoved him or threw something at him, but didn't mean to kill him. Or suppose you drop a big stone and someone is killed. However, you didn't know the person was there. He wasn't your enemy, and you weren't trying to harm him. Then the community must use these rules in order to decide if you are innocent or if the dead person's relative can avenge the death. If you are innocent, the community must protect you from that relative. They must take you back to the city of refuge you fled to. You must live there until the death of the chief priest who was anointed with the holy oil. But don't go outside the city of refuge you fled to. If the relative who can avenge the death finds you outside the city of refuge and kills you, the relative is not guilty of murder. Accused murderers must stay in their city of refuge until the death of the high priest. They may go back to their own property only after his death. These will be the rules for future generations wherever you live. Whoever kills another person will be put to death as a murderer only on the testimony of more than one witness. No one can be put to death on the testimony of only one witness. Never accept a cash payment in exchange for the life of a convicted murderer who has been given the death penalty. Murderers must be put to death. An accused murderer who has fled to a city of refuge must never go back and live on his own land before the death of the high priest. Don't accept a cash payment to allow him to do this. You must not pollute the land where you live. Murder is what pollutes the land. The land where a murder was committed can never make peace with the Lord except through the death of the murderer. Never make the land where you and I live unclean. I, the Lord, live among the Israelites. Numbers chapter 36. The heads of the households whose families were descended from Gilead, son of Machir, and grandson of Manasseh, families of Joseph's descendants, came and spoke to Moses and the leaders of the other Israelite households. They said, Sir, the Lord commanded you to give the Israelites their land by drawing lots. The Lord also commanded you to give the land of our relative Zelophehad to his daughters. Suppose they marry men from the other tribes of Israel. Their land will be taken away from that of our ancestors and added to the land of the tribe they marry into. Then we will have lost part of our land. When the Israelites' jubilee year comes, their land will be added to that of the tribe they married into. Then part of the land of our ancestors' tribe will be gone. So Moses gave the Israelites a command from the Lord. The tribe of Joseph's descendants is right. This is what the Lord commands for Zelophehad's daughters. They may marry anyone they want to, but only within a family of their ancestors' tribe. In this way, no land of the Israelites will pass from one tribe to another. Every Israelite must keep the tribal land inherited from his ancestors. A woman who inherits land in any of the tribes of Israel may marry a man from any family in her ancestors' tribe. In this way, every Israelite keeps the land inherited from his ancestors. No land may pass from one tribe to another. Each Israelite tribe must keep the land it inherits. Zelophehad's daughters did as the Lord commanded Moses. Mala, Tirzah, Hogla, Milcah, and Noah married their cousins on their father's side of the family. They married within the families of the descendants of Manasseh, son of Joseph. So their land stayed in the tribe of their father's family. These are the commands and rules the Lord gave the Israelites through Moses on the plains of Moab, near the Jordan River, across from Jericho. Numbers, Deuteronomy, chapter 1. This is the speech Moses gave in the desert east of the Jordan River, on the plains near Suf, 
between Paran and Tofel, and near Laban, Hazaroth, and Dai Zahab. He spoke to all the Israelites. It takes eleven days to go from Mount Horeb to Kedesh Barnea by way of Mount Seir. On the first day of the eleventh month in the fortieth year after they had left Egypt, Moses told the Israelites everything the Lord had commanded him to tell them. This was after he had defeated King Sihon of the Amorites, who ruled in Heshbon, and King Og of Bashan, who ruled in Ashtaroth, and in Edrei. The Israelites were east of the Jordan River in Moab when Moses began to review God's teachings. This is what he said. At Mount Horeb the Lord our God said to us, You have stayed at this mountain long enough. Break camp and get ready. Go to the mountain region of the Amorites, and go to everyone living on the plains, in the mountains, in the foothills, in the Negev, on the whole Mediterranean coast, the land of the Canaanites, and into Lebanon as far as the Euphrates River. I'm giving you this land. Enter, and take possession of the land the Lord swore to give to your ancestors Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to you their descendants. At that time I said to you, I'm not able to take care of you by myself. The Lord your God has made your population increase, so that you are now as numerous as the stars in the sky. May the Lord God of your ancestors make you a thousand times more numerous, and may he bless you as he has promised. How can I take care of your problems, your troubles, and your disagreements all by myself? From each of your tribes, choose some men who are wise, intelligent, and experienced, and I'll appoint them to be your leaders. You agreed that this was a good idea. So I took the heads of your tribes who were wise and experienced men and made them officers for each of your tribes. I put them in charge of groups of one thousand, or one hundred, or fifty, or ten people. Also at that time I gave these instructions to your judges. Hear the cases that your people bring, judge each case fairly, no matter whether it is a dispute between two Israelites, or a dispute between an Israelite and a non-Israelite. Be impartial in your decisions. Listen to the least important people the same way you listen to the most important people. Never be afraid of anyone, since your decisions come from God. You may bring me any case that's too hard for you, and I will hear it. So I told you how to handle these situations. So we left Mount Horeb, as the Lord our God had commanded. We traveled through all that vast and dangerous desert you saw on the way to the mountain region of the Amorites. At last we came to Kadesh Barnea. Then I said to you, We have come to the mountain region of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. The Lord your God is giving you this land. Go ahead, take possession of it, as the Lord God of your ancestors told you. Don't be afraid or terrified. All of you came to me and said, Let's send men ahead of us to gather information about the land for us. Have them report to us about the route we should take and the cities we'll come to. It seemed like a good idea to me. So I chose twelve of your men, one from each tribe. They left and went into the mountains. When they came to the Eshkol Valley, they explored it. They took some of the region's fruit with them and brought it back to us. They reported, The land that the Lord our God is giving us is good. But you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God and refused to go. You complained in your tents and said, The Lord hates us. That's why he brought us out of Egypt. He wanted to hand us over to the Amorites so that they could destroy us. Where are we going anyway? Our own men have discouraged us by saying, The people there are taller and stronger than we are. The cities are big with sky-high walls. We even saw the people of Anak there. 
Then I said to you, Don't tremble, don't be afraid of them. The Lord your God who is going ahead of you will fight for you as you saw him fight for you in Egypt and in the desert. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as parents carry their children. He carried you wherever you went until you came to this place. In spite of this, you didn't trust the Lord your God who went ahead of you to find places for you to camp. He appeared in a column of fire at night and in a column of smoke during the day to show you which route to take. When the Lord heard what you said, he was angry and took this oath. Not one of these evil people will ever see the good land that I swore to give to your ancestors, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh. He will see it, and I will give the land that he set his feet on to him and his descendants, because he wholeheartedly followed the Lord. The Lord became angry with me because of you. He said, You won't go there either, but your assistant Joshua, son of Nun, will go there. Encourage him because he will help Israel take possession of the land. Although you thought the little children would be captured in war, your children, who are still too young to know the difference between good and evil, will enter that land. I will give it to them, and they will take possession of it. Turn around, go back into the desert, and follow the road that goes to the Red Sea. You responded, We have sinned against the Lord. We'll go and fight, as the Lord our God commanded us to do. Each of you armed yourself for war, thinking you could easily invade the mountain region. But the Lord said to me, Tell them, Don't go and fight, because I won't be with you. You will be defeated by your enemies. I told you, but you wouldn't listen. You defied the Lord's command and invaded the mountain region. The Amorites who lived there came out and attacked you and chased you like a swarm of bees. They defeated you, chasing you from Seir all the way to Horma. When you came back, you cried to the Lord, but the Lord didn't listen to you or hear you. That's why you stayed in Kadesh as long as you did. Deuteronomy chapter 2. We went back into the desert, following the road that goes to the Red Sea, as the Lord had told me. For a long time we traveled around the region of Mount Seir. The Lord said to me, You've traveled around this region long enough. Now go north. Give the people these instructions. You're going to pass through the territory of your relatives, the descendants of Esau, who lived in Seir. They'll be afraid of you, but be very careful. Don't start a fight with them, because I'm not giving you any of their land, not even enough to stand on. I've given Esau's descendants the region of Mount Seir as their property. You must pay them in silver for the food you eat and the water you drink. The Lord your God has blessed you in everything you have done. He has watched over you as you travel through this vast desert. For forty years now the Lord your God has been with you, and you haven't needed a thing. So we passed by our relatives, the descendants of Esau, who lived in Seir. We turned off the road that goes through the plains to Elath and Azion Geber, and took the road that goes through the desert of Moab. The Lord said to me, Don't bother the people of Moab or start a war with them. I'm not giving you any of Ar as your property. I have given it to the descendants of Lot. The Emites used to live there. These people were as strong, as numerous, and as tall as the people of Anak. They were thought to be Rephaim, like the people of Anak, but the Moabites called them Emites. The Horites used to live in Seir, but the descendants of Esau claimed their land, wiped them out, and took their place, as Israel did in the land that the Lord gave them. Then the Lord said, now cross the Zered River. So we crossed the Zered River. Thirty-eight years passed from the time we left Kadesh Barnea until we crossed the Zered River. 
During that time all our soldiers from that generation died, as the Lord had sworn they would. In fact, it was the Lord himself who got rid of all of them, until none were left in the camp. When the last of these soldiers had died, the Lord said to me, Today you are going to pass by the border of Moab at Ar. When you come near the Ammonites, don't bother them or start a fight with them. I'm not giving you any of the land that I have already given to the descendants of Lot as their property. This land was thought of as the land of the Rephaim, who used to live there. But the Ammonites called them Zamzumim. These people were as strong, as numerous, and as tall as the people of Anak. But the Lord wiped them out before the Ammonites came, so that the Ammonites claimed their land and took their place. The Lord did the same thing for the descendants of Esau, who lived in Seir. Before the descendants of Esau came, he wiped out the Horites, so that Esau's descendants claimed their land and took their place. Esau's descendants are still there today. The same thing happened to the Avites, who lived in villages as far away as Gaza. The Kaphtarites, who came from Crete, wiped them out and took their place. The Lord continued, Now break camp, cross the Arnon Valley. I'm going to hand King Sihon of Heshbon the Amorite over to you. Fight him and take possession of his country. Today I will start to make all the people under heaven terrified of you. When they hear about you, they will tremble and shake because of you. From the desert of Kedemoth, I sent messengers to King Sihon of Heshbon with the following offer of peace. If you allow us to travel through your country, we'll go straight through and won't ever leave the road. We'll pay you in silver for the food we eat and the water we drink. Please let us go through, as the descendants of Esau who live in Seir and the Moabites who live in Ar did for us. We'll keep going until we cross the Jordan River into the land the Lord our God is giving us. But King Sihon of Heshbon wouldn't allow us to pass through. The Lord your God made him stubborn and overconfident in order to hand him over to you as he has now done. The Lord said to me, I have begun to give you Sihon and his country. Go ahead, take possession of his land. Sihon and all his troops came out to meet us in battle at Jahaz. The Lord our God gave Sihon to us, and we defeated him, his sons and all his troops. At that time we captured all his cities and claimed them for God by destroying men, women, and children. There were no survivors. However, we did loot the cities that we captured, taking the cattle and goods. From Aroer, on the edge of the Arnon Valley, and the city in that valley as far as Gilead, no city had walls that could keep us out. The Lord our God gave us all of them. But the Lord our God had forbidden you to go anywhere near the land of the Ammonites. So you didn't enter the land along the bank of the Jabbok River or capture the cities in the mountains. Deuteronomy chapter 3. Next we turned and followed the road that goes to Bashan. King Og of Bashan and all his troops came to fight us at Edrei. The Lord said to me, Don't be afraid of him. I'll hand him, all his troops, and his land over to you. Do to him what you did to King Sihon of the Amorites, who ruled in Heshbon. So the Lord our God also handed King Og of Bashan and all his troops over to us. We defeated him, leaving no survivors. At that time we captured all of his cities. There wasn't a city we didn't take. We captured a total of sixty cities, the whole territory of Argob, the kingdom of Og in Bashan. All of these cities were fortified with high walls and double-door gates with bars across the gates. We also captured a large number of unwalled villages. We claimed them all for God, 
destroying every city, including men, women, and children, as we did to King Sihon of Heshbon. However, we did loot the cities, taking all the cattle and goods. We took the land of the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, from the Arnon Valley to Mount Hermon. The Sidonians call Mount Hermon by the name Sirion, and the Amorites call it Senir. We took all of the cities of the plateau, all of Gilead, and all of Bashan, as far as Salka and Edrei, cities of Og's kingdom in Bashan. Of the Rephaim, only King Og of Bashan was left. His bed was made of iron, and was more than thirteen feet long and six feet wide. It is still in the Ammonite city of Rabbah. At that time we took possession of this land. I gave the tribes of Reuben and Gad the land north of Aroer near the Arnon Valley, and half of the mountain region of Gilead with its cities. I gave the rest of Gilead and all of Bashan ruled by Og to half of the tribe of Manasseh. The whole territory of Argob in Bashan used to be called the land of the Rephaim. Jair, a descendant of Manasseh, took the whole territory of Argob as far as the border of the Geshurites and the Marcathites. The settlements in Bashan he named Havoth Jair after himself. This is still their name today. I gave Gilead to Machir. I gave the tribes of Reuben and Gad some of Gilead from the Arnon Valley, the middle of the valley is the border, to the Jabbok River, which is the border of Ammon. Their land included the plains around the Jordan River. The western border was the river from the Sea of Galilee to the Sea of the Plains, the Dead Sea, which is near Mount Pisgah on the east. I gave the tribes of Reuben and Gad and half of the tribe of Manasseh this command. The Lord your God has given you this land so that you can take possession of it. All your soldiers must be ready for battle when they cross the Jordan River ahead of the other Israelites. I know you have a lot of livestock. Your wives, children, and livestock must stay here in the cities that I gave you. Your soldiers will go with the other Israelites until they take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving them on the other side of the Jordan River. Then they will have a place to rest as you have. After that, each of you may go back to the land I gave you. I also gave Joshua this command. You have seen with your own eyes everything that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. The Lord will do the same to all of the kingdoms on the other side of the Jordan River where you are going. Don't be afraid of them, because the Lord, your God himself, will fight for you. Then I pleaded with the Lord, Almighty Lord, you have only begun to show me how great and powerful you are. What kind of God is there in heaven or on earth who can do the deeds and the mighty acts you have done? Please let me go over and see the beautiful land on the other side of the Jordan River, those beautiful mountains in Lebanon. The Lord was angry with me because of you, so he wouldn't listen to me. He said, That's enough out of you. Don't talk to me any more about this. Go to the top of Mount Pisgah and look west, north, south, and east. You may look at the land, but you will never cross the Jordan River. Give instructions to Joshua. Encourage and strengthen him because he will lead these people across the Jordan River, and he will help them take possession of the land you see. So we stayed in the valley near Beth Peor. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Israel, listen to the laws and rules I am about to teach you. Obey them so that you will live, and be able to enter and take possession of the land that the Lord God of your ancestors is giving you. Never add anything to what I command you, or take anything away from it. Then you will be able to obey the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. With your own eyes you saw what the Lord did at Baal Peor. The Lord your God destroyed everyone among you who worshipped the god Baal while you were at Peor. 
but you were loyal to the Lord your God and are still alive today. I have taught you laws and rules as the Lord my God commanded me. You must obey them when you've entered the land and taken possession of it. Faithfully obey these laws. This will show the people of the world your wisdom and insight. When they hear about all these laws, they will say, What wise and insightful people there are in this great nation! What great nation ever had their gods as near to them as the Lord our God is near to us whenever we pray to Him? Or what other great nation has such fair laws and rules as all these teachings I am giving you today? However, be careful and watch yourselves closely, so that you don't forget the things which you have seen with your own eyes. Don't let them fade from your memory as long as you live. Teach them to your children and grandchildren. Never forget the day you stood in front of the Lord your God at Mount Horeb. The Lord had said to me, Assemble the people in front of me, and I will let them hear my words. Then they will learn to fear me as long as they live on earth, and they will teach their children the same thing. So you came and stood at the foot of the mountain, which was on fire with flame shooting into the sky. It was dark, cloudy, and gloomy. The Lord spoke to you from the fire. You heard a voice speaking, but saw no one. There was only a voice. The Lord told you about the terms of His promise, the Ten Commandments, which He commanded you to do. Then He wrote them on two stone tablets. The Lord also commanded me to teach you the laws and rules you must obey after you cross the Jordan River and take possession of the land. You didn't see the Lord the day He spoke to you from the fire at Mount Horeb, so be very careful that you don't become corrupt and make your own carved idols. Don't make statues that represent men or women, any animal on earth, any creature with wings that flies, any creature that crawls on the ground or any fish in the water. Don't let yourselves be tempted to worship and serve what you see in the sky, the sun, the moon, the stars, or anything else. The Lord your God has given them to all people everywhere, but you are the people the Lord brought out of Egypt, the iron smelter, in order to make you his own people as you still are today. The Lord was angry with me because of you, so the Lord your God took an oath that I wouldn't cross the Jordan River and enter the good land he is giving you as your property. I'm going to die in this land and not cross the Jordan River. But you're going to go across and take possession of that good land. Be careful that you don't forget the promise that the Lord your God made to you. Don't make your own carved idols or statues that represent anything the Lord your God has forbidden. The Lord your God is a raging fire, a God who does not tolerate rivals. Even when you have children and grandchildren have grown old in that land, don't become corrupt and make carved idols or statues that represent anything. I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you today. If you do this thing that the Lord your God considers evil, making him furious, you will quickly disappear from the land you are going to possess on the other side of the Jordan River. You won't live very long there. You'll be completely wiped out. The Lord will scatter you among the people of the world, and only a few of you will be left among the nations where the Lord will force you to live. There you will worship wooden and stone gods made by human hands. These gods can't see, hear, eat, or smell. But if you look for the Lord your God when you are among those nations, you will find Him whenever you search for Him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in distress and all these things happen to you, then you will finally come back to the Lord your God and obey Him. The Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon you, destroy you, or forget the promise to your ancestors that He swore He would keep. Search the distant past long before your time. 
Start from the very day God created people on earth. Search from one end of heaven to the other. Has anything as great as this ever happened before, or has anything like it ever been heard of? Have any other people ever heard God speak from a fire and lived? You did. Or has any God ever tried to come and take one nation away from another for himself? The Lord your God used his mighty hand and powerful arm to do this for you in Egypt. He did this using plagues, miraculous signs, amazing things, and war. He did his great and awe-inspiring deeds in front of you. You were shown these things so that you would know that the Lord is God. There is no other God. He let you hear his voice from heaven so that he could instruct you. He showed you his great fire on earth, and you heard him speak from the column of fire. Because he loved your ancestors and chose their descendants, he was with you as he brought you out of Egypt by his great power. He forced nations greater and stronger than you out of your way to bring you into their land and give it to you. This land is your own possession today. Remember today and never forget that the Lord is God in heaven above and here on earth. There is no other God. Obey his laws and commands which I am giving you today. Then things will go well for you and your descendants. You will live for a long time in the land. The Lord your God is giving you the land for as long as you live. Then Moses set aside three cities on the east side of the Jordan River. Those who unintentionally killed someone whom they had never hated could flee to one of these cities and save their lives. The cities were Bezer on the desert plateau for the tribe of Reuben, Ramoth in Gilead for the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan for the tribe of Manasseh. This is what Moses taught the people of Israel. These are the commandments, laws, and rules Moses gave the Israelites after they had left Egypt. He gave these to the people when they were east of the Jordan River in the valley near Beth Peor, in the land of King Sihon of the Amorites, who ruled in Heshbon. Moses and Israel defeated him after they left Egypt. They took possession of his land and the land of King Og of Bashan, the two kings of the Amorites who were east of the Jordan River. This land went from Aroer on the edge of the Arnon Valley to Mount Sion, that is Mount Hermon. It included all the plains on the east side of the Jordan River as far as the Dead Sea at the foot of the slopes of Mount Pisgah. Deuteronomy chapter 5. Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Israel, listen to the laws and rules I'm telling you today. Learn them and faithfully obey them. The Lord our God made a promise to us at Mount Horeb. He didn't make this promise to our ancestors, but to all of us who are alive here today. The Lord spoke to you face to face from the fire on the mountain. I stood between the Lord and you to tell you the word of the Lord because you were afraid of the fire and didn't go up on the mountain. The Lord said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery in Egypt. Never have any other gods. Never make your own carved idols or statues that represent any creature in the sky, on the earth, or in the water. Never worship them or serve them because I, the Lord your God, am a God who does not tolerate rivals. I punish children for their parents' sins to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But I show mercy to thousands of generations of those who love me and obey my commandments. Never use the name of the Lord your God carelessly. The Lord will make sure that anyone who uses his name carelessly will be punished. Observe the day of worship as a holy day. This is what the Lord your God has commanded you. You have six days to do all your work. The seventh day is the day of worship dedicated to the Lord your God. You, your sons, your daughters, your male and female slaves, your oxen, your donkeys, 
all of your animals, even the foreigners living in your city, must never do any work on that day. In this way, your male and female slaves can rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God used his mighty hand and powerful arm to bring you out of there. This is why the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the day of worship. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you. Then you will live for a long time, and things will go well for you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Never murder, never commit adultery, never steal, never avoid the truth when you testify about your neighbor. Never desire to take your neighbor's wife away from him. Never long for your neighbor's household, his field, his male or female slave, his ox, his donkey, or anything else that belongs to him. These are the commandments the Lord spoke to your whole assembly on the mountain. He spoke in a loud voice from the fire, the cloud, and the gloomy darkness. Then he stopped speaking. He wrote the commandments on two stone tablets and gave them to me. But when you heard the voice coming from the darkness and saw the mountain blazing with fire, all the leaders and heads of your tribes came to me. You said, The Lord our God has let us see how great and glorious he is. We've heard his voice come from the fire. Today we've seen that people can live even if God speaks to them. Why should we die? This great fire will consume us. If we continue to hear the voice of the Lord our God, we'll die. Who has ever heard the voice of the living God speak from a fire as we did and lived? Moses, go and listen to everything that the Lord our God says. Then tell us whatever the Lord our God tells you. We'll listen and obey. When the Lord heard the words that you spoke to me, he said, I have heard what these people said to you. Everything they said was good. If only they would fear me and obey all my commandments as long as they live. Then things would go well for them and their children forever. Tell the people to go back to their tents, but you stay here with me. I will give you all the commands, laws, and rules that you must teach them to obey in the land which I am giving them to possess. So be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you. Never stop living this way. Follow all the directions the Lord your God has given you. Then you will continue to live. Life will go well for you, and you will live for a long time in the land that you are going to possess. Deuteronomy chapter 6. These are the commands, laws, and rules the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. Obey them after you enter the land and take possession of it. As long as you live, you, your children, and your grandchildren must fear the Lord your God. All of you must obey all his laws and commands that I'm giving you, and you will live a long time. Listen, Israel, and be careful to obey these laws. Then things will go well for you, and your population will increase in a land flowing with milk and honey, as the Lord God of your ancestors promised you. Listen, Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is the only God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Take to heart these words that I give you today. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you're at home or away, when you lie down or get up. Write them down and tie them around your wrist and wear them as headbands as a reminder. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. The Lord your God will bring you into the land and give it to you as he swore to your ancestors Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This land will have large, prosperous cities that you didn't build. Your houses will be filled with all kinds of things that you didn't put there. You will have cisterns that you didn't dig and vineyards and olive trees that you didn't plant. 
After you have eaten all that you want, be careful that you don't forget the Lord who brought you out of slavery in Egypt. You must fear the Lord your God, serve Him, and take your oaths only in His name. Never worship any of the gods worshipped by the people around you. If you do, the Lord your God will become very angry with you and will wipe you off the face of the earth, because the Lord your God, who is with you, is a God who does not tolerate rivals. Never test the Lord your God as you did at Massah. Be sure to obey the commands of the Lord your God and the regulations and laws He has given you. Do what the Lord considers right and good. Then things will go well for you, and you will enter and take possession of that good land which the Lord promised to your ancestors with an oath. You will see the Lord expel your enemies as He said He would. In the future your children will ask, What do these regulations, laws, and rules which the Lord our God commanded you mean to you? Tell them, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, but the Lord used His mighty hand to bring us out of there. Right before our eyes, the Lord did miraculous signs and amazing things that were spectacular, but terrible for Egypt, Pharaoh, and his whole family. The Lord led us out of there to bring us here and give us this land He promised to our ancestors with an oath. The Lord our God commanded us to obey all these laws and to fear Him. These laws are for our own good as long as we live so that He will preserve our lives. It's still true today. This is how we'll have the Lord's approval if we faithfully obey all these laws in the presence of the Lord our God as He has commanded us. Deuteronomy chapter 7. The Lord your God will bring you to the land you're about to enter and take possession of. He will force many nations out of your way, the Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, seven nations larger and more powerful than you. When the Lord your God gives them to you and you defeat them, destroy every one of them because they have been claimed by the Lord. Don't make any treaties with them or show them any mercy. Never marry any of them. Never let your daughters marry their sons or your sons marry their daughters. These people will turn your children away from me to worship other gods. Then the Lord will get very angry with you and will quickly destroy you. But this is what you must do to these people. Tear down their altars, smash their sacred stones, cut down their poles dedicated to the goddess Asherah, and burn their idols. You are a holy people who belong to the Lord your God. He chose you to be His own special possession out of all the nations on earth. The Lord set His heart on you and chose you, even though you didn't outnumber all the other people. You were the smallest of all nations. You were chosen because the Lord loved you and kept the oath He swore to your ancestors. So He used His mighty hand to bring you out. He freed you from slavery under Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Keep in mind that the Lord your God is the only God. He is a faithful God who keeps His promise and is merciful to thousands of generations of those who love Him and obey His commands. But He sends destruction to pay back everyone who hates Him. He never takes long to pay back anyone who hates Him. So obey the commands, laws, and rules I'm giving you today. If you listen to these rules and faithfully obey them, the Lord your God will keep His promise to you and be merciful to you as He swore to your ancestors. He will love you, bless you, and increase the number of your descendants. He will bless you with children. He will bless your land with produce, grain, new wine, and olive oil. 
He will bless your herds with calves, and your flocks with lambs and kids. This will all happen in the land the Lord will give you as he swore to your ancestors. You will be blessed more than any other people. Your men and women will be able to have children, and your animals will be able to have offspring. The Lord will keep you from having any kind of illness. He will not strike you with any of the terrible diseases you experienced in Egypt. Instead, he will strike all those who hate you. You must destroy all the people the Lord your God hands over to you. Have no pity on them, and never worship their gods, because they will be a trap for you. You may say to yourselves, These nations outnumber us. How can we force them out? Don't be afraid of them. Remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and all of Egypt. You saw with your own eyes the terrible plagues, the miraculous signs, and the amazing things the Lord did. He used his mighty hand and powerful arm to bring you out. He will do the same thing to all the people you're afraid of. The Lord your God will spread panic among them until they all die. There will be no one left, not even those who were hiding from you. Don't be afraid of them, because the Lord your God is with you. He is a great and awe-inspiring God. Little by little he will force these nations out of your way. You won't be able to wipe them out quickly. Otherwise you would be overrun with wild animals. The Lord your God will hand these people over to you and will throw them into a great panic until they're destroyed. He will hand their kings over to you, and no one on earth will even remember their names. No one will be able to stop you. You will destroy them all, burn their idols. Don't ever long for the silver and gold on these idols or take any of it for yourselves. It might be a trap for you. Besides, these idols are disgusting to the Lord your God. Never bring a disgusting idol into your house. If you do, you and the idol will be destroyed. Consider it detestable and disgusting. It must be destroyed. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Be careful to obey every command I give you today. Then you will live, and your population will increase. You will enter and take possession of the land that the Lord promised to your ancestors with an oath. Remember that for forty years the Lord your God led you on your journey in the desert. He did this in order to humble you and test you. He wanted to know whether or not you would wholeheartedly obey his commands. So he made you suffer from hunger, and then fed you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had seen before. He did this to teach you that a person cannot live on bread alone, but on every word that the Lord speaks. Your clothes didn't wear out, and your feet didn't swell these past forty years. Learn this lesson by heart. The Lord your God was disciplining you as parents discipline their children. Obey the commands of the Lord your God. Follow His directions and fear Him. The Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. It is a land with rivers that don't dry up. There are springs and underground streams flowing through the valleys and hills. The land has wheat and barley, grapevines, fig trees, and pomegranates. The land has honey and olive trees for olive oil. The land will have enough food for you, and you will have everything you need. The land has rocks with iron ore, and you will be able to mine copper ore in the hills. When you have eaten all you want, thank the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God. Don't fail to obey his commands, rules, and laws that I'm giving you today. You will eat all you want. You will build nice houses and live in them. Your herds and flocks, silver and gold, and everything else you have will increase. When this happens, be careful that you don't become arrogant and forget the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery in Egypt. 
He was the one who led you through that vast and dangerous desert, a thirsty and arid land with poisonous snakes and scorpions. He was the one who made water come out of solid rock for you. He was the one who fed you in the desert with manna, which your ancestors had never seen. He did this in order to humble you and test you, but he also did this so that things would go well for you in the end. You may say to yourselves, I became wealthy because of my own ability and strength. But remember the Lord your God is the one who makes you wealthy. He's confirming the promise which he swore to your ancestors. It's still in effect today. I warn you today that if you forget the Lord your God and follow other gods, and if you serve them and bow down to them, you will certainly be destroyed. The Lord is going to destroy other nations as you enter the land. You will be destroyed like them if you don't obey the Lord your God. Deuteronomy chapter 9. Listen, Israel, you're about to cross the Jordan River. You'll be forcing out nations that are larger and stronger than you, with big cities that have sky-high walls. Their people are tall and strong. They're descendants of Anak. You know all about them. You've also heard it said, Who can oppose the descendants of Anak? Realize today that the Lord your God is the one who is going ahead of you like a raging fire. He will wipe them out and will use you to crush their power. You will take possession of their land and will quickly destroy them as the Lord promised you. When the Lord your God expels these people in front of you, don't say to yourselves, because we've been living right, the Lord brought us here to take possession of this land. No, it's because these nations are so wicked that the Lord is forcing them out of your way. It's not because you've been living right or because you're so honest that you're entering to take possession of their land. It's because these people are so wicked that the Lord your God is forcing them out of your way. It's also because the Lord wants to confirm the promise He swore to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So understand this. It's not because you've been living right that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess. You are impossible to deal with. Never forget how you made the Lord your God angry in the desert. You've rebelled against the Lord from the day you left Egypt until you came here. Even at Mount Horeb, you made the Lord so angry that He wanted to destroy you. When I went up on the mountain to get the stone tablets, the tablets of the promise that the Lord made to you, I stayed on the mountain forty days and forty nights without food or water. Then the Lord gave me the two stone tablets inscribed by God Himself. On them were written all the words that the Lord spoke to you from the fire on the mountain on the day of the assembly. At the end of the forty days and forty nights, the Lord gave me the two stone tablets with His promise on them. He told me, Leave right away. Your people whom you brought out of Egypt have ruined everything. They've quickly turned away from the way I commanded them to live. They've made an idol for themselves. The Lord also said to me, I've seen these people, and they are impossible to deal with. Leave me alone. I'll destroy them and wipe their name off the earth. Then I'll make you into a nation larger and stronger than they are. So I turned and went down the mountain while it was still burning with fire. I was carrying the two tablets with a promise on them. Then I saw that you had sinned against the Lord your God. You had made a statue of a calf for yourselves. You had quickly turned from the way the Lord commanded you to live. I took the two tablets, threw them down, and smashed them in front of you. Once again, I threw myself down in front of the Lord. I went without food and water for forty days and forty nights because of the sin you committed. You did what the Lord considered evil and made Him furious. I was terrified of the Lord's anger and fury. 
He was so angry he wanted to destroy you. But once more the Lord listened to me. The Lord also became very angry with Aaron and wanted to destroy him. But at that time I prayed for Aaron too. I took that sinful calf you made and burned it. I crushed it, grinding it thoroughly until it was as fine as powder. Then I threw the powder into the river that flowed down the mountain. You also made the Lord angry at Tebara, Masa, and Kibroth Hataaba. When the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea, he said, Go and take possession of the land I'm giving you. But you rebelled against the word of the Lord your God. You didn't believe him or obey him. You've rebelled against the Lord as long as I've known you. I threw myself down in front of the Lord for forty days and forty nights because the Lord said he would destroy you. I prayed to the Lord and said, Almighty Lord, don't destroy your people. They belong to you. You've saved them by your great power and used your mighty hand to bring them out of Egypt. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Disregard the stubbornness, wickedness, and sin of these people. Otherwise the country we left will say, The Lord wasn't able to bring them to the land he promised them. He hated them, that's why he brought them out, to let them die in the desert. They are your people. They belong to you. You used your great strength and powerful arm to bring them out of Egypt. Deuteronomy chapter 10. At that time the Lord said to me, Cut two more stone tablets like the first ones, and come up to me on the mountain. Also make an ark out of wood. I will write on the tablets the same words that were on the first tablets which you smashed. Then you will put them in the ark. I made an ark out of acacia wood. I cut two more stone tablets like the first ones. I carried the two tablets up the mountain. The Lord wrote on these tablets the same words as before, the Ten Commandments. He had spoken these words to you from the fire on the mountain on the day of the assembly. Then the Lord gave them to me. I came back down the mountain and put the tablets in the ark I had made. They are still there, where the Lord commanded me to put them. The Israelites moved from the wells of the Jaakanites to Moserah. Aaron died there and was buried, and his son Eleazar succeeded him as priest. They moved from there to Godgoda, and from Godgoda to Jotbatha, a land with rivers that don't dry up. At that time the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the ark of the Lord's promise, to stand in the Lord's presence when they serve him as priests, and to praise his name as they still do today. This is why the tribe of Levi has no land of their own, as the other tribes have. The Lord your God is their only possession, as he promised them. I stayed on the mountain forty days and forty nights as I did the first time. Once again, the Lord listened to me and agreed not to destroy you. The Lord said to me, Lead the people on their journey. They will enter and take possession of the land I will give them, as I swore to their ancestors. Israel, what does the Lord your God want you to do? He wants you to fear Him, follow all His directions, love Him, and worship Him with all your heart and with all your soul. The Lord wants you to obey His commands and laws that I'm giving you today for your own good. Remember that the sky, the highest heaven, the earth, and everything it contains belong to the Lord your God. The Lord set His heart on your ancestors and loved them. Because of this, today He chooses you, their descendants, out of all the people of the world. So circumcise your uncircumcised hearts and don't be impossible to deal with any longer. The Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, powerful, and awe-inspiring God. He never plays favorites and never takes a bribe. He makes sure orphans and widows receive justice. 
He loves foreigners and gives them food and clothes. So you should love foreigners, because you were foreigners living in Egypt. Fear the Lord your God, worship Him, be loyal to Him, and take your oaths in His name. He is your glory, He is your God, who did for you these spectacular and awe-inspiring deeds you saw with your own eyes. When your ancestors went to Egypt, there were seventy of them. Now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. Deuteronomy chapter 11. Love the Lord your God and do what He wants you to do. Always obey His laws, rules, and commands. Remember today the discipline you learned from the Lord your God. I'm not talking to your children. They didn't see or experience any of this. You saw and experienced His great power, His mighty hand and powerful arm. You saw the miraculous signs and deeds He did in Egypt to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and to his whole country. You saw what He did to the Egyptian army, its horses and chariots. He drowned them in the Red Sea when they pursued you. So the Lord destroyed them forever. You saw what He did for you in the desert until you came here. You also saw what He did to Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, from the tribe of Reuben. In the middle of all the Israelites, the ground opened up and swallowed them, their families, their tents, and every living creature with them. You saw with your own eyes all these spectacular things that the Lord did. Obey all the commands I'm giving you today. Then you will have the strength to enter and take possession of the land once you've crossed the Jordan River. Then you will also live for a long time in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors and their descendants a land flowing with milk and honey. The land you're about to enter and take possession of isn't like the land you left in Egypt. There you used to plant your seed and you had to water it like a vegetable garden. The land you're about to enter is a land with hills and valleys watered by rain from the sky. It is the land the Lord your God cares about. He watches over it all year long. If you faithfully obey the commands that I'm giving you today, love the Lord your God and serve Him with all your heart, and with all your soul. I will send rain on your land at the right time, both in the fall and in the spring. Then you will gather your own grain, new wine, and olive oil. I will provide grass in the fields for your animals, and you will be able to eat all you want. Be careful, or you'll be tempted to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. The Lord will become angry with you. He'll shut the skies so that there'll be no rain. Then the ground won't grow any crops, and you'll quickly disappear from this good land the Lord is giving you. Take these words of mine to heart and keep them in mind. Write them down, tie them around your wrist, and wear them as headbands as a reminder. Teach them to your children, and talk about them when you're at home or away, when you lie down or get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Then you and your children will live for a long time in this land, that the Lord swore to give to your ancestors as long as there's a sky above the earth. Faithfully obey all these commands I'm giving you. Love the Lord your God. Follow all His directions and be loyal to Him. Then the Lord will force all these people out of your way. Then you will take possession of the land belonging to people taller and stronger than you. I will give you every place on which you set foot. Your borders will be from the desert to Lebanon, from the Euphrates River to the Mediterranean Sea. No one will be able to stop you. As the Lord your God promised, He will make people terrified of you wherever you go in this land. Today, I'm giving you the choice of a blessing or a curse. 
You'll be blessed if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today. You'll be cursed if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God, if you turn from the way I'm commanding you to live today, and if you worship other gods you never knew. When the Lord your God brings you into the land you're about to enter, recite the blessing from Mount Gerizim and the curse from Mount Ebal. These mountains are on the west side of the Jordan, beyond the road that goes west in the region of the Canaanites who live on the plains facing Gilgal, next to the oak trees of Moreh. You're about to cross the Jordan River to enter and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you. When you take possession of it and live there, be careful to obey all the laws and rules I'm giving you today. Deuteronomy chapter 12. Here are the laws and rules you must faithfully obey in the land that the Lord God of your ancestors is giving you as your own. You must obey them as long as you live in the land. Completely destroy all the worship sites on the high mountains, on the hills, and under every large tree. The people you're forcing out worship their gods in these places. Tear down their altars, crush their sacred stones, burn their poles dedicated to the goddess Asherah, cut down their idols, and wipe out the names of their gods from those places. Never worship the Lord your God in the way they worship their gods. The Lord your God will choose a place out of all your tribes to live and put his name. Go there and worship him. Bring him your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, one-tenth of your income, your contributions, the offerings you vow to bring, your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your cattle, sheep, and goats. There in the presence of the Lord your God, you and your families will eat and enjoy everything you've worked for, because the Lord your God has blessed you. Never worship in the way that it's being done here today, where everyone does whatever he considers right. Up until now, you haven't come to your place of rest, the property the Lord your God is giving you. But you will cross the Jordan River and settle in the land the Lord your God is giving you as your own property. He will give you peace from all your enemies around you so that you will live securely. Then the Lord your God will choose a place where His name will live. You must bring everything I command you to that place. Bring your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, one-tenth of your income, your contributions, and all the best offerings you vow to bring to the Lord. Enjoy yourselves in the presence of the Lord your God, along with your sons, daughters, male and female slaves, and the Levites. The Levites live in your cities because they have no land of their own as you have. Be careful that you don't sacrifice your burnt offerings wherever you want. Instead, sacrifice them only at the place that the Lord will choose in one of your tribes. There you must do everything I command you. In whatever city you live, you may slaughter and eat as much meat as you want from what the Lord your God has blessed you with. Clean and unclean people may eat it as if they were eating a gazelle or a deer. But never eat the blood. Pour it on the ground like water. You may not eat the Lord's offerings in your cities. Those offerings are one-tenth of your grain, new wine and olive oil, the firstborn of your cattle, sheep, or goats, the offerings you vow to bring, your free will offerings, and your contributions. Instead, you, your sons and daughters, male and female slaves, and the Levites who live in your cities must eat these in the presence of the Lord your God at the place He will choose. There, in the presence of the Lord your God, enjoy everything you've worked for. Don't forget to take care of the Levites as long as you live in your land. The Lord your God will expand your country's borders as He promised. You will say, I'm hungry for meat. Then eat as much meat as you want. If the place the Lord your God chooses to put His name is too far away from you, 
You may slaughter an animal from the herds or flocks that the Lord has given you. Eat as much as you want in your city. I have commanded you to do this. Eat it as you would eat a gazelle or a deer. Clean and unclean people may eat it together. However, be sure you never eat blood, because blood contains life. Never eat the life with the meat. Never eat blood. Pour it on the ground like water. If you don't eat blood, things will go well for you and your descendants. You will be doing what the Lord considers right. Take the holy things and the offerings you have vowed to bring and go to the place the Lord will choose. Sacrifice the meat and the blood of your burnt offerings on the altar of the Lord your God. The blood of your sacrifices is to be poured out beside the altar of the Lord your God. But you may eat the meat. Be sure you obey all these instructions I am giving you. Then things will always go well for you and your descendants, because you will be doing what the Lord your God considers good and right. The Lord your God will destroy the nations where you are going and force them out of your way. You will take possession of their land and live there. After they have been destroyed, be careful you aren't tempted to follow their customs. Don't even ask about their gods and say, How did these people worship their gods? We want to do what they did. Never worship the Lord your God in the way they worship their gods, because everything they do for their gods is disgusting to the Lord. He hates it. They even burn their sons and daughters as sacrifices to their gods. Be sure to do everything I command you. Never add anything to it or take anything away from it. Deuteronomy chapter 13. One of your people claiming to be a prophet or to have prophetic dreams may predict a miraculous sign or an amazing thing. What he predicts may even take place. But don't listen to that prophet or dreamer if he says, let's worship and serve other gods. Those gods may be gods you've never heard of. The Lord your God is testing you to find out if you really love Him with all your heart and with all your soul. Worship the Lord your God. Fear Him. Obey His commands. Listen to what He says. Serve Him and be loyal to Him. That prophet or dreamer must be put to death because he preached rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and freed you from slavery. He was trying to lead you away from following the directions the Lord your God gave you. You must get rid of this evil. Your own brother, son or daughter, the wife you love, or your best friend may secretly tempt you, saying, Let's go worship other gods. Those gods may be gods that you and your ancestors never knew. They may be the gods of the people around you, who live near or far, from one end of the land to the other. Don't be influenced by any of these people or listen to them. Have no pity on them. Don't feel sorry for them or protect them. You must put them to death. You must start the execution. Then all the other people will join you in putting them to death. Stone them to death because they were trying to lead you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery in Egypt. All Israel will hear about it and be afraid. Then no one among you will ever do such a wicked thing again. You may hear that the residents in one of the cities which the Lord your God is giving you to live in have been led away from the Lord your God by worthless people. You may hear that these people have been saying, Let's worship other gods. Those gods may be gods you've never heard of. Then make a thorough investigation. If it is true and you can prove that this disgusting thing has been done among you, you must kill the residents of that city with swords and destroy that city and everyone in it, including the animals, because they are claimed by God. Gather their goods into the middle of the city square. Then burn their city and all their goods as a burnt offering to the Lord your God. It must remain a mound of ruins and never be rebuilt. 
Don't ever take any of the things claimed for destruction. Then the Lord will stop being angry and will show you mercy. In his mercy he will make your population increase as he swore to your ancestors. The Lord your God will do this if you listen to him, obey all the commands that I'm giving you today, and do what he considers right. Deuteronomy chapter 14. You are the children of the Lord your God, so when someone dies, don't mourn by cutting yourselves or shaving bald spots on your head. You are people who are holy to the Lord your God. Out of all the people who live on earth, the Lord has chosen you to be his own special possession. Never eat anything that is disgusting to the Lord. Here are the kinds of animals you may eat. Oxen, sheep, goats, deer, gazelles, fallow deer, wild goats, mountain goats, antelope, and mountain sheep. You may eat all animals that have completely divided hoofs and that also chew their cud. But some animals chew their cud while others have completely divided hoofs. You may not eat these kinds of animals. They include camels, rabbits, and rock badgers. Although they chew their cud, they don't have divided hoofs. They are unclean for you. Also, you may not eat pigs. Although their hooves are divided, they don't chew their cud. Never eat their meat or touch their dead bodies. Here's what you may eat of every creature that lives in the water. You may eat any creature that has fins and scales, but never eat anything that doesn't have fins and scales. It is unclean for you. You may eat any clean bird, but here are the birds that you should never eat. Eagles, bearded vultures, black vultures, buzzards, all types of kites, all types of crows, ostriches, nighthawks, seagulls, all types of falcons, little owls, great owls, barn owls, pelicans, ospreys, cormorants, storks, all types of herons, hoopoos, and bats. Every swarming winged insect is also unclean for you. They must never be eaten. However, you may eat any other kind of flying creature that is clean. Never eat any creature that dies naturally. You may give it to the foreigners who live in your cities, and they may eat it. You may also sell it to foreigners who are visiting. But you are people who are holy to the Lord your God. Never cook a young goat in its mother's milk. Every year be sure to save a tenth of the crops harvested from whatever you plant in your fields. Eat the tenth of your grain, new wine, and olive oil, and eat the firstborn of your cattle, sheep, and goats in the presence of the Lord your God in the place he will choose to put his name. Then you will learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live. But the place the Lord your God will choose to put his name may be too far away. He may bless you with so much that you can't carry a tenth of your income that far. If so, exchange the tenth part of your income for silver. Take the silver with you and go to the place the Lord your God will choose. Use the silver to buy whatever you want, cattle, sheep, goats, wine, liquor, whatever you choose. Then you and your family will eat and enjoy yourselves there in the presence of the Lord your God. Never forget to take care of the Levites who live in your cities. They have no land of their own, as you have. At the end of every third year, bring a tenth of that year's crop and store it in your cities. Foreigners, orphans, and widows who live in your cities may come to eat all they want. The Levites may also come, because they have no land of their own as you have. Then the Lord your God will bless you in whatever work you do. Deuteronomy chapter 15. At the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. This is what you will do. If you've made a loan, don't collect payment on the debt your neighbor still owes you. Don't demand that your neighbor or relative pay you, because the time for suspending payments on debts has been proclaimed in the Lord's honor. 
You may demand that a foreigner pay, but don't collect payment on the debt another Israelite still owes you. In any case, there shouldn't be any poor people among you, because the Lord your God will certainly bless you in the land he is giving you as your own possession. He will bless you only if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and faithfully obey all these commands I'm giving you today. The Lord your God will bless you as he promised. You will make loans to many nations, but you will not have to borrow from any of them. You will rule many nations, but no nation will ever rule you. This is what you must do whenever there are poor Israelites in one of your cities in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Be generous to these poor people and freely lend them as much as they need. Never be hard-hearted and tight-fisted with them. When the seventh year, the year when payments on debts are cancelled, is near, you might be stingy toward poor Israelites and give them nothing. Be careful not to think these worthless thoughts. The poor will complain to the Lord about you, and you will be condemned for your sin. Be sure to give to them without any hesitation. When you do this, the Lord your God will bless you in everything you work for and set out to do. There will always be poor people in the land. That's why I command you to be generous to other Israelites who are poor and needy. Whenever Hebrew men or women are sold to you as slaves, they will be your slaves for six years. In the seventh year, you must let them go free. But when you let them go, don't send them away empty-handed. Generously give them provisions sheep from your flocks, grain from your threshing floor, and wine from your winepress. Be as generous to them as the Lord your God has been to you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God freed you. That's why I'm giving you this command today. But suppose a male slave says to you, I don't want to leave you, because he loves you and your family and is happy with you. Then take an awl and pierce it through his earlobe into a door, and he will be your slave for life. Do the same to a female slave if she doesn't want to leave. If you have to let your slave go free, it won't be a hardship for you. It would have cost you twice as much to hire someone to do the same work for those six years. Besides, the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. You must dedicate every firstborn male from your herds and flocks to the Lord your God. Never use a firstborn ox for work, and never shear a firstborn sheep. Every year you and your family must eat these animals in the presence of the Lord your God in the place the Lord will choose. But if an animal is lame or blind or has any other serious defect, never sacrifice it to the Lord your God. Eat it in your city. Clean and unclean people may eat them together as if they were eating a gazelle or a deer. But never eat the blood. Pour it on the ground like water. Deuteronomy chapter 16. Honor the Lord your God by celebrating Passover in the month of Abib. In the month of Abib, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt at night. Slaughter an animal from your flock or herd as the Passover sacrifice to the Lord your God. Do this at the place where the Lord will choose for his name to live. Never eat leavened bread with the meat from this sacrifice. Instead, for seven days you must eat unleavened bread at this festival. It is the bread of misery because you left Egypt in a hurry. Eat this bread so that, as long as you live, you will remember the day you left Egypt. There should be no yeast anywhere in your land for seven days. Never leave until morning any of the meat you slaughter on the evening of the first day. You're not allowed to slaughter the animals for Passover in any of the cities the Lord your God is giving you. Instead, slaughter your animals for Passover in the place where the Lord your God will choose for his name to live. Do this in the evening as the sun goes down. This is the same time you did it when you left Egypt. 
cook the meat, and eat it at the place the Lord your God will choose. In the morning you may go back to your tents. For six days eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day hold a religious assembly dedicated to the Lord your God. Don't do any work that day. Count seven weeks from the time you start harvesting grain. Then celebrate the festival of weeks to the Lord your God. Bring a freewill offering in proportion to the blessings the Lord your God has given you. Enjoy yourselves in the presence of the Lord your God, along with your sons, daughters, male and female slaves, the Levites who live in your cities, the foreigners, orphans, and widows who live among you. Enjoy yourselves at the place the Lord your God will choose for his name to live. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and obey these laws carefully. After you have gathered the grain from your threshing floor and made your wine, celebrate the festival of booths for seven days. Enjoy yourselves at the festival along with your sons, daughters, male and female slaves, the Levites, foreigners, orphans, and widows who live in your cities. For seven days you will celebrate this festival dedicated to the Lord your God in the place he will choose. You will enjoy yourselves because the Lord your God will bless all your harvest and all your work. Three times a year all your men must come into the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose, at the festival of unleavened bread, the festival of weeks, and the festival of booths. But no one may come into the presence of the Lord without an offering. Each man must bring a gift in proportion to the blessings the Lord your God has given him. Appoint judges and officers for your tribes in every city that the Lord your God is giving you. They are to judge the people fairly. Never pervert justice. Instead, be impartial. Never take a bribe, because bribes blind wise people and deny justice to those who are in the right. Strive for nothing but justice, so that you will live and take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you. When you build the altar for the Lord your God, never plant beside it any tree dedicated to the goddess Asherah. Never set up a sacred stone. These are things the Lord your God hates. Deuteronomy chapter 17. Never offer an ox or a sheep that has a defect or anything seriously wrong with it as a sacrifice to the Lord your God. That would be disgusting to him. In one of the cities the Lord your God is giving you, there may be a man or woman among you who is doing what the Lord considers evil. This person may be disregarding the conditions of the Lord's promise by worshipping and bowing down to other gods, the sun, the moon, or the whole army of heaven. I have forbidden this. When you are told about it, investigate it thoroughly. If it's true and it can be proven that this disgusting thing has been done in Israel, then bring the man or woman who did this evil thing to the gates of your city and stone that person to death. The person can only be sentenced to death on the testimony of two or three witnesses, but no one should ever be sentenced to death on the testimony of only one witness. The witnesses must start the execution, then all the other people will join them in putting the person to death. You must get rid of this evil. There may be a case that is too hard for you to decide. It may involve murder, assault, or a dispute. Any case which may be brought to court in your cities. Take this case to the place that the Lord your God will choose. Go to the Levitical priests and the judge who was serving at that time. Ask for their opinion, and they will give you their verdict at the place that the Lord will choose. Do what they tell you. Follow all their instructions carefully, and do what they tell you to do in their verdict. Do exactly what they tell you to do in their decision. If anyone deliberately disobeys the priest who serves the Lord your God or the judge, that person must die. You must get rid of this evil in Israel. When all the people hear about it, they will be afraid and will never defy God's law again.
you will enter the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You will take possession of it and live there. You will say, Let's have our own king like all the other nations around us. Be sure to appoint the king the Lord your God will choose. He must be one of your own people. Never let a foreigner be king, because he's not one of your own people. The king must never own a large number of horses or make the people return to Egypt to get more horses. The Lord has told you you will never go back there again. The king must never have a large number of wives, or he will turn away from God. And he must never own a lot of gold and silver. When he becomes king, he should have the Levitical priests make him a copy of these teachings on a scroll. He must keep it with him and read it his entire life. He will learn to fear the Lord his God and faithfully obey everything found in these teachings and laws. Then he won't think he's better than the rest of his people, and he won't disobey these commands in any way. So he and his sons will rule for a long time in Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 18. The Levitical priests, in fact, the whole tribe of Levi, will receive no land or property of their own like the rest of the Israelites. They will eat what has been sacrificed to the Lord. These sacrifices will be what they receive. So the Levites will have no land of their own like the other Israelites. The Lord will be their inheritance as he promised them. This is what the people owe the priests whenever they sacrifice an ox, a sheep, or a goat, the shoulder, jaws, and stomach. Also give them the first produce harvested, grain, new wine, olive oil, and the first wool you shear from your sheep. Out of all your tribes, the Lord your God has chosen the Levites and their descendants to do the work of serving in the name of the Lord forever. A Levite from any of your cities in Israel may come from where he has been living to the place the Lord will choose. He may come as often as he wants and may serve in the name of the Lord his God like all the other Levites who do their work in the Lord's presence. If he does, he'll get the same amount of food as they do in addition to what he gets from selling his family's goods. When you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, Never learn the disgusting practices of those nations. You must never sacrifice your sons or daughters by burning them alive. Practice black magic, be a fortune teller, witch or sorcerer, cast spells, ask ghosts or spirits for help, or consult the dead. Whoever does these things is disgusting to the Lord. The Lord your God is forcing these nations out of your way because of their disgusting practices. You must have integrity in dealing with the Lord your God. These nations you are forcing out listen to fortune-tellers and to those who practice black magic. But the Lord your God won't let you do anything like that. The Lord your God will send you a prophet, an Israelite like me. You must listen to him. This is what you asked the Lord your God to give you on the day of the assembly at Mount Horeb. You said, We never want to hear the voice of the Lord our God or see this raging fire again. If we do, we'll die. The Lord told me, what they've said is good, so I will send them a prophet, an Israelite like you. I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. Whoever refuses to listen to the words that prophet speaks in my name will answer to me. But any prophet who dares to say something in my name that I didn't command him to say, or who speaks in the name of other gods, must die. You may be wondering, how can we recognize that the Lord didn't speak this message? If a prophet speaks in the Lord's name and what he says doesn't happen or come true, then it didn't come from the Lord. That prophet has spoken on his own authority. Never be afraid of him. Deuteronomy chapter 19. The Lord your God will destroy all the nations that are living in the land that he's giving you. You will force them out and live in their cities and houses. 
When all this is done, set aside three cities in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Provide a route to each of these cities, and divide the land that the Lord your God is giving you into three regions. Whoever kills someone may run to one of these cities. A person who unintentionally kills someone he never hated in the past may run to one of these cities to save his life. Suppose two people go into the woods to cut wood. As one of them swings the axe to cut down a tree, the head flies off the handle, hits and kills the other person. The one who accidentally killed the other person may run to one of these cities and save his life. Otherwise, in a rage, the relative who has the authority to avenge the death will pursue him. If the place is too far away, the relative may catch up with him and take his life even though he didn't deserve the death penalty, because in the past he never hated the person he killed. This is why I'm commanding you to set aside three cities for yourselves. The Lord your God may expand your country's borders as He promised your ancestors with an oath. He may give you the whole land He promised to give them. He may do this because you faithfully obey all these commands I am now giving you, to love the Lord your God and follow His directions as long as you live. If this happens, you may add three more cities of refuge to these three. That way innocent people won't be killed in the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you won't be guilty of murder. Suppose someone hates another person, waits in ambush for him, attacks him, takes his life, and runs to one of these cities. If someone does this, the leaders of your city must send for that person. They must take him from that city and hand him over to the relative who has the authority to avenge the death. He must die. They must have no pity on him. The guilt of murdering an innocent person must be removed from Israel. Then things will go well for Israel. Never move your neighbor's original boundary marker on any property in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. One witness is never enough to convict someone of a crime, offense, or sin he may have committed. Cases must be settled based on the testimony of two or three witnesses. This is what you must do whenever a witness takes the stand to accuse a person falsely of a crime. The two people involved must stand in the Lord's presence in front of the priests and judges who are serving at that time. The judges must make a thorough investigation. If it is found that the witness lied when he testified against the other Israelite, then do to him what he planned to do to the other person. You must get rid of this evil. When the rest of the people hear about this, they will be afraid. Never again will such an evil thing be done among you. Have no pity on him. Take a life for a life, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, and a foot for a foot. Deuteronomy chapter 20. When you go to war against your enemies, you may see horses, chariots, and armies larger than yours. Don't be afraid of them, because the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt will be with you. Before the battle starts, a priest must come and speak to the troops. He should tell them, Listen, Israel, today you are going into battle against your enemies. Don't lose your courage. Don't be afraid or alarmed or tremble because of them. The Lord your God is going with you. He will fight for you against your enemies and give you victory. The officer should tell the troops, If you have built a new house but not dedicated it, you may go home. Otherwise you might die in battle and someone else will dedicate it. If you have planted a vineyard and not enjoyed the grapes, you may go home. Otherwise you might die in battle and someone else will enjoy the grapes. If you are engaged to a woman but have not married her, you may go home. Otherwise you might die in battle and someone else will marry her. The officers should also tell the troops, If you are afraid or have lost your courage, you may go home. Then you won't ruin the morale of the other Israelites. 
When the officers finished speaking to the troops, they should appoint commanders to lead them. When you approach a city to attack it, offer its people a peaceful way to surrender. If they accept it and open their gates to you, then all the people there will be made to do forced labor and serve you. If they won't accept your offer of peace but declare war on you, set up a blockade around the city. When the Lord your God hands the city over to you, kill every man in that city with your swords. But take the women and children, the cattle, and everything else in the city, including all its goods, as your loot. You may enjoy your enemy's goods that the Lord your God has given you. This is what you must do to all the cities that are far away, which don't belong to the nations nearby. However, you must not spare anyone's life in the cities of these nations that the Lord your God is giving you as your property. You must claim the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites for the Lord, and completely destroy them as the Lord your God has commanded you. Otherwise, they will teach you to do all the disgusting things they do for their gods, and you will sin against the Lord your God. This is what you must do whenever you blockade a city for a long time in order to capture it in war. Don't harm any of its fruit trees with an axe. You can eat the fruit. Never cut those trees down, because the trees of the field are not people you have come to blockade. You may destroy trees that you know are not fruit trees. You may cut them down and use them in your blockade until you capture the city. Deuteronomy chapter 21. This is what you must do if you find a murder victim lying in a field in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. If no one knows who committed the murder, your leaders and judges must go and measure the distance from the body to each of the neighboring cities. When it has been determined which city is nearest the body, the leaders from that city must choose a heifer that has never been put to work and never worn a yoke. The leaders of that city will bring the heifer down to a river, to a location where the land hasn't been plowed or planted. At the river they must break the heifer's neck. The priests, the descendants of Levi, must come forward. The Lord your God has chosen them to serve him as priests and to bless people in the Lord's name. Their decision is final in all cases involving a disagreement or an assault. All the leaders from the city which was nearest the murder victim must wash their hands over the dead heifer. Then they must make this formal statement. We didn't commit this murder, and we didn't witness it. Lord, make peace with your people Israel, whom you freed. Don't let the guilt of this unsolved murder remain among your people Israel. Then there will be peace with the Lord despite the murder. This is how you will get rid of the guilt of an unsolved murder, by doing what the Lord considers right. When you go to war with your enemies and the Lord your God hands them over to you, you may take them captive. If you see a beautiful woman among the captives and have your heart set on her, you may marry her. Bring her into your home. She must shave her head, cut her nails, and no longer wear the clothes she was wearing when you captured her. Then she may live in your house and mourn the loss of her father and mother for one month. After that, you may sleep with her. Then you will become husband and wife. But if it happens that you are no longer pleased with her, let her go wherever she wants. You must never sell her or mistreat her as if she were a slave, since you've already had sex with her. A man might have two wives and love one but not the other. Both wives might have children, and the firstborn son might belong to the wife that the man doesn't love. When the day comes for the father to give his sons their inheritance, he can't treat the son of the wife he loves as if that son were the firstborn. This would show a total disregard for the real firstborn, the son of the wife he doesn't love. Instead, he must recognize the son of the wife he doesn't love as the firstborn. 
he must give that son a double portion of whatever he owns. That son is the very first son he had. The rights of the firstborn son are his. Parents might have a stubborn and rebellious son who doesn't obey them. Even though they punish him, he still won't listen to them. His father and mother must take him to the leaders of the city at the city gate. They will say to the leaders of the city, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He won't obey us. He eats too much and is a drunk. All the men of the city should stone him to death. You must get rid of this evil. When all Israel hears about it, they will be afraid. When a convicted person is put to death, never leave his dead body hung on a pole overnight. Be sure to bury him that same day, because anyone whose body is hung on a pole is cursed by God. The land that the Lord your God is giving you must never become unclean. Deuteronomy chapter 22. If you see another Israelite's ox or sheep out where it doesn't belong, don't pretend that you don't see it. Make sure you take it back. If the owner doesn't live near you or you don't know who owns it, take the animal home with you. Keep it until the owner comes looking for it. Then give it back. Do the same if you find a donkey, some clothes, or anything else that another Israelite may have lost. Don't pretend that you don't know what to do. If you see another Israelite's donkey or ox lying on the road, don't pretend that you don't see it. Make sure you help him get it back on its feet. A woman must never wear anything men would wear, and a man must never wear women's clothes. Whoever does this is disgusting to the Lord your God. Whenever you're traveling and find a nest containing chicks or eggs, this is what you must do. If the mother bird is sitting on the nest, never take her with the chicks. You may take the chicks, but make sure you let the mother go. Then things will go well for you, and you will live for a long time. Whenever you build a new house, put a railing around the edge of the roof, then you won't be responsible for a death at your home if someone falls off the roof. Never plant anything between the rows in your vineyards. Otherwise, you will have to give everything that grows there to the holy place. This includes the crop you planted and the grapes from the vineyard. Never plow with an ox and a donkey harnessed together. Never wear clothes made of wool and linen woven together. Make tassels on the four corners of the shawl you wear over your clothes. A man might marry a woman, sleep with her, and decide he doesn't like her. Then he might make up charges against her and ruin her reputation by saying, I married this woman, but when I slept with her I found out she wasn't a virgin. The girl's father and mother must go to the city gate where the leaders of the city are and submit the evidence that their daughter was a virgin. The girl's father will tell the leaders, I gave my daughter in marriage to this man, but he doesn't like her. Now he has made up charges against her. He says he found out that my daughter wasn't a virgin, but here's the evidence. Then the girl's parents must spread out the cloth in front of the leaders of the city. The leaders of that city must take the man and punish him. They will fine him two and one quarter pounds of silver and give it to the girl's father. The husband ruined the reputation of an Israelite virgin. She will continue to be his wife, and he can never divorce her as long as he lives. But if the charge is true and no evidence that the girl was a virgin can be found, they must take the girl to the entrance of her father's house. The men of her city must stone her to death because she has committed such a godless act in Israel. She had sex before marriage, while she was still living in her father's house. You must get rid of this evil. If a man is caught having sexual intercourse with a married woman, both that man and the woman must die. You must get rid of this evil in Israel. This is what you must do when a man has sexual intercourse with a virgin who is engaged to another man. If this happens in a city, 
Take them to the gate of the city and stone them to death. The girl must die because she was in a city and didn't scream for help. The man must die because he had sex with another man's wife. You must get rid of this evil. But if a man rapes an engaged girl out in the country, then only the man must die. Don't do anything to the girl. She has not committed a sin for which she deserves to die. This is like the case of someone who attacks and murders another person. The man found the girl out in the country. She may have screamed for help, but no one was there to rescue her. This is what you must do when a man rapes a virgin who isn't engaged. When the crime is discovered, the man who had sexual intercourse with her must give the girl's father one and one quarter pounds of silver, and she will become his wife. Since he raped her, he can never divorce her as long as he lives. A man must never marry his father's wife, because this would disgrace his father. Deuteronomy chapter 23. A man whose testicles are crushed or whose penis is cut off, may never join the assembly of the Lord. A man born from an illicit union may not join the assembly of the Lord. No descendant of his may join the assembly of the Lord for ten generations. Ammonites or Moabites may not join the assembly of the Lord. Not one descendant of theirs may join the assembly of the Lord for ten generations. They cannot join because they didn't greet you with food and water on your trip from Egypt. They even hired Balaam, son of Beor, from Pethor in Aram Naharaim, to curse you. But the Lord your God refused to listen to Balaam. Instead, he turned Balaam's curse into a blessing for you, because the Lord your God loves you. Never offer them peace or friendship as long as you live. Never consider the Edomites disgusting. They're your relatives. Never consider the Egyptians disgusting. You once were foreigners living in their country. Their grandchildren may join the assembly of the Lord. When you are at war and have set up camp to fight your enemies, stay away from anything that will make you unclean. If one of your men becomes unclean from a nocturnal emission, he must go outside the camp and stay there. Toward evening he must wash, and at sunset he may come back to camp. Choose a place outside the camp where you can go to relieve yourself. You must carry a pointed stick as part of your equipment. When you go outside to squat, dig a hole with it. When you're done, cover up your excrement. The Lord your God moves around in your camp to protect you and hand your enemies over to you. So your camp must always be holy. This way the Lord will never see anything offensive among you and turn away from you. If a slave escapes from his master and comes to you, don't return him to his master. Let him stay with you and live among your people wherever he chooses, in any of your cities that seems best to him. Never mistreat him. No Israelite man or woman should ever become a temple prostitute. Never bring gifts or money earned by prostitution into the house of the Lord your God as an offering you vowed to give. These earnings are disgusting to the Lord your God. Never charge another Israelite any interest on money, food, or anything else that is borrowed. You may charge a foreigner interest, but not an Israelite. Then the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do once you've entered the land and taken possession of it. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, don't avoid keeping it. The Lord your God expects you to keep it. You would be guilty of a sin if you didn't. If you didn't make a vow, you would not be guilty. Make sure you do what you said you would do in your vow. You freely chose to make your vow to the Lord your God. If you go into your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat as many grapes as you like until you're full, but never put any in your basket. If you go into your neighbor's grain field, you may pick grain by hand, but never use a sickle 
to cut your neighbor's grain. Deuteronomy chapter 24. This is what you must do if a husband writes out a certificate of divorce, gives it to his wife, and makes her leave his house. He divorced her because he found out something indecent about her, and she no longer pleased him. She might marry another man after she leaves his house. If her second husband doesn't love her and divorces her, or if he dies, her first husband is not allowed to marry her again. She has become unclean. This would be disgusting in the Lord's presence. Don't pollute with sin the land that the Lord your God is giving you as your property. A man who has recently been married will be free from military duty or any other public service. For one year he is free to stay at home and make his new wife happy. Never let a family's handmill for grinding flour, or even part of a handmill, be taken to guarantee a loan. The family wouldn't be able to prepare food in order to stay alive. Whoever kidnaps another Israelite must die. The kidnapper must die, whether he treated the other person like a slave or sold him. You must get rid of this evil. Guard against outbreaks of serious skin diseases. Be very careful to do exactly as the Levitical priests instruct you. Make sure you do what I commanded them. Remember what the Lord your God did to Miriam on your trip from Egypt. When you make a loan to your neighbor, don't go into his house to take a security deposit. Wait outside, and the person to whom you're making the loan will bring the deposit out to you. If the person is poor, don't keep the coat you took as a deposit overnight. Make sure you bring it back to him at sunset. When he wears his coat to bed that night, he'll bless you. You will have done the right thing in the presence of the Lord your God. Don't withhold pay from hired workers who are poor and needy, whether they are Israelites or foreigners living in one of your cities. Pay them each day before sunset because they are poor and need their pay. Otherwise, they will complain to the Lord about you, and you will be condemned for your sin. Parents must never be put to death for the crimes of their children, and children must never be put to death for the crimes of their parents. Each person must be put to death for his own crime. Never deprive foreigners and orphans of justice, and never take widows' clothes to guarantee a loan. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God freed you from slavery, so I'm commanding you to do this. This is what you must do when you're harvesting wheat in your field. If you forget to bring in one of the bundles of wheat, don't go back to get it. Leave it there for foreigners, orphans, and widows. Then the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. When you harvest olives from your trees, never knock down all of them. Leave some for foreigners, orphans, and widows. When you pick the grapes in your vineyard, don't pick all of them. Leave some for foreigners, orphans, and widows. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, so I'm commanding you to do this. Deuteronomy chapter 25. This is what you must do whenever two people have a disagreement that is brought into court. The judges will hear the case and decide who's right and who's wrong. If the person who's in the wrong deserves to be beaten, the judge will order him to lie down. Then the judge will have him beaten with as many lashes as the crime deserves. Forty lashes may be given, but no more. If an Israelite were given more than that, he would be publicly humiliated. Never muzzle an ox when it's threshing grain. When brothers live together and one of them dies without having a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother must marry her and sleep with her. He must do his duty as her brother-in-law. Then the first son she has will carry the dead brother's name so that his name won't die out in Israel. But if the man doesn't want to marry his brother's widow, she must go to the leaders of the city at the city gate. 
she must say, My brother-in-law refuses to let his brother's name continue in Israel. He doesn't want to do his duty as my brother-in-law. Then the leaders of the city must summon him and talk to him. If he persists in saying that he doesn't want to marry her, his brother's widow must go up to him in the presence of the leaders. She must take off one of his sandals and spit in his face. She must make this formal statement. This is what happens to a man who refuses to continue his brother's family line. Then in Israel, his family will be called the family of the man without a sandal. This is what you must do when two men are fighting and the wife of one of them comes to rescue her husband from the man who is beating him. If she tries to stop the fight by grabbing the other man's genitals, cut off her hand. Have no pity on her. Never carry two sets of weights, a heavier one and a lighter one. Never have two kinds of measures in your house, a larger one and a smaller one. Use accurate and honest weights and measures. Then you will live for a long time in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Everyone who uses dishonest weights and measures is disgusting to the Lord. Remember what the Amalekites did to you on your trip from Egypt? They attacked you when you were tired and exhausted and killed all those who were lagging behind. They weren't afraid of God. So when the Lord your God gives you peace from all your enemies around you in the land that He is giving you as your own property, don't forget to erase every memory of the Amalekites from the earth. Deuteronomy chapter 26. Soon you will enter and take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you as your property. When you have settled there, take some of the first produce harvested from the fields in the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and put it in a basket. Then go to the place where the Lord your God will choose for His name to live. Go to the priest who is serving at that time, and tell him, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the land that the Lord is giving us, as He swore to our ancestors. Then the priest will take the basket from you, and set it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God. You will make this formal statement in the presence of the Lord your God. My ancestors were wandering Arameans. There were only a few of them when they went to Egypt and lived as foreigners. But then they became a great, powerful, and large nation. So the Egyptians treated us cruelly, oppressed us, and made us do back-breaking work for them. We cried out to the Lord God of our ancestors, and He heard us. He saw our misery, suffering, and oppression. Then the Lord used His mighty hand and powerful arm to bring us out of Egypt. He used spectacular and awe-inspiring deeds, miraculous signs, and amazing things. He brought us to this place and gave us this land flowing with milk and honey. So now I've brought the first produce harvested from the fields you gave me, Lord. You will place the basket in the presence of the Lord your God and bow down in front of Him. Then you, the Levites and the foreigners who live among you, can enjoy all the good things which the Lord your God has given you and your family. Every third year is the year when you will store a tenth of that year's crops in your houses. During that year, distribute what you have stored to the Levites, foreigners, orphans, and widows in your cities, and they may eat all they want. When you have distributed all that was stored, say to the Lord your God, Nothing is left of the holy offering stored in my house. I distributed it to the Levites, foreigners, orphans, and widows, as you commanded me. I disobeyed none of your commands, and I didn't forget to do what you commanded. I didn't eat any of this holy offering while I was in mourning. I didn't distribute any of it while I was unclean. I didn't offer any of it to the dead. I have obeyed the Lord my God. I have done everything you commanded me. Look down from your holy place in heaven. 
Bless your people Israel and the land flowing with milk and honey that you have given us, as you promised with an oath to our ancestors. Today the Lord your God is commanding you to obey these laws and rules. You must faithfully obey them with all your heart and with all your soul. Today you have declared that the Lord is your God and that you will follow His directions, obey His laws, commands, and rules, and listen to Him. Today the Lord has declared that you are His people, His own special possession, as He told you. But you must be sure to obey His commands. Then He will place you high above all the other nations He has made. He will give you praise, fame, and honor, and you will be a people holy to the Lord your God as He promised. Deuteronomy chapter 27. Moses and the leaders of Israel told the people, Obey every command I am giving you today. The day you cross the Jordan River and enter the land that the Lord your God is giving you, set up some large stones and cover them with plaster. The Lord God of your ancestors is giving you a land flowing with milk and honey as He promised you. After you are in that land, write all the words of these teachings on the stones. After you cross the Jordan River, set up these stones on Mount Ebal and cover them with plaster following the command I am giving you today. Build an altar of stones there dedicated to the Lord your God. Don't use an iron chisel on the stones. You must use uncut stones to build the altar of the Lord your God. Sacrifice burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. Sacrifice fellowship offerings, eat them there, and enjoy yourselves in the presence of the Lord your God. Write clearly and carefully all the words of these teachings on the stones you set up. Then Moses and the Levitical priests said to all Israel, Be quiet and listen, Israel. Today you have become the people of the Lord your God. Obey the Lord your God and follow His commands and laws, which I am giving you today. That same day Moses gave the people this command. After you cross the Jordan River, these are the tribes that will stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. These are the tribes that will stand on Mount Ebal to announce the curses, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. The Levites will declare to all the people of Israel in a loud voice, Whoever has a carved or metal statue, anything disgusting to the Lord that was made by a craftsman and sets it up in secret, will be cursed. Then all the people will say, Amen. Whoever curses his father or mother will himself be cursed. Then all the people will say, Amen. Whoever moves his neighbor's boundary marker will be cursed. Then all the people will say, Amen. Whoever leads blind people in the wrong direction will be cursed. Then all the people will say, Amen. Whoever deprives foreigners, orphans, or widows of justice will be cursed. Then all the people will say, Amen. Whoever has sexual intercourse with his father's wife will be cursed. He has disgraced his father. Then all the people will say, Amen. Whoever has sexual intercourse with any animal will be cursed. Then all the people will say, Amen. Whoever has sexual intercourse with his sister, his father's daughter, or his mother's daughter will be cursed. Then all the people will say, Amen. Whoever has sexual intercourse with his mother-in-law will be cursed. Then all the people will say, Amen. Whoever kills another person secretly will be cursed. Then all the people will say, Amen. Whoever accepts money to kill an innocent person will be cursed. Then all the people will say, Amen. Whoever doesn't obey every word of these teachings will be cursed. Then all the people will say, Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 28. 
Carefully obey the Lord your God, and faithfully follow all His commands that I am giving you today. If you do, the Lord your God will place you high above all the other nations in the world. These are all the blessings that will come to you and stay close to you because you obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. You will be blessed. You will have children. Your land will have crops. Your animals will have offspring. Your cattle will have calves. And your flocks will have lambs and kids. The grain you harvest and the bread you bake will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come and blessed when you go. The Lord will defeat your enemies when they attack you. They will attack you from one direction, but run away from you in seven directions. The Lord will bless your barns and everything you do. The Lord your God will bless you in the land that He is giving you. You will be the Lord's holy people, as He promised you with an oath. He will do this if you obey the commands of the Lord your God and follow His directions. Then all the people in the world will see that you are the Lord's people, and they will be afraid of you. The Lord will give you plenty of blessings. You will have many children. Your animals will have many offspring. Your soil will produce many crops in the land the Lord will give you, as He swore to your ancestors. The Lord will open the heavens, His rich storehouse for you. He will send rain on your land at the right time and bless everything you do. You will be able to make loans to many nations, but won't need to borrow from any. The Lord will make you the head, not the tail. You will always be at the top, never at the bottom. If you faithfully obey the commands of the Lord your God that I am giving you today, do everything I am commanding you today. Never worship other gods or serve them. Obey the Lord your God and faithfully follow all His commands and laws that I am giving you today. If you don't, all these curses will come to you and stay close to you. You will be cursed in the city and cursed in the country. The grain you harvest and the bread you bake will be cursed. You will be cursed. You will have few children. Your land will have few crops. Your cattle will be cursed with few calves, and your flocks will have few lambs and kids. You will be cursed when you come and cursed when you go. The Lord will send you curses, panic, and frustration in everything you do until you are destroyed and quickly disappear for the evil you will do by abandoning the Lord. The Lord will send one plague after another on you until He wipes you out of the land you are about to enter and take possession of. The Lord will strike you with disease, fever, and inflammation, heat waves, drought, scorching winds, and ruined crops. They will pursue you until you die. The sky above will look like bronze, and the ground below will be as hard as iron. The Lord will send dust storms and sandstorms on you from the sky until you are destroyed. The Lord will let your enemies defeat you. You will attack them from one direction, but run away from them in seven directions. You will become a thing of horror to all the kingdoms in the world. Your dead bodies will be food for all the birds and wild animals. There will be no one to scare them away. The Lord will strike you with the same boils that plague the Egyptians. He will strike you with hemorrhoids, sores, and itching that won't go away. The Lord will strike you with madness, blindness, and panic. You will grope in broad daylight as blind people grope in their blindness. You won't be successful in anything you do. As long as you live, you will be oppressed and robbed with no one to rescue you. You will be engaged to a woman, but another man will have sex with her. You will build a house, but you won't live in it. You will plant a vineyard, but you won't enjoy the grapes. Your ox will be butchered as you watch, but you won't eat any of its meat. 
You will watch as your donkey is stolen from you, but you'll never get it back. Your flock will be given to your enemies, and no one will rescue it. You will watch with your own eyes as your sons and daughters are given to another nation. You will strain your eyes looking for them all day long, but there will be nothing you can do. People you never knew will eat what your land and your hard work have produced. As long as you live, you will know nothing but oppression and abuse. The things you see will drive you mad. The Lord will afflict your knees and legs with severe boils that can't be cured. The boils will cover your whole body, from the soles of your feet to the top of your head. The Lord will lead you and the king you choose to a nation that you and your ancestors never knew. There you will worship gods made of wood and stone. You will become a thing of horror. All the nations where the Lord will send you will make an example of you and ridicule you. You will plant many crops in your fields, but harvest little because locusts will destroy your crops. You will plant vineyards and take care of them, but you won't drink any wine or gather any grapes because worms will eat them. You will have olive trees everywhere in your country, but no olive oil to rub on your skin because the olives will fall off the trees. You will have sons and daughters, but you won't be able to keep them because they will be taken as prisoners of war. Crickets will swarm all over your trees and the crops in your fields. The standard of living for the foreigners who live among you will rise higher and higher, while your standard of living will sink lower and lower. They will be able to make loans to you, but you won't be able to make loans to them. They will be the head, and you will be the tail. All these curses will come to you. They will pursue you and stay close to you until you're destroyed, because you didn't obey the Lord your God or follow His commands and laws which I'm giving you. These curses will be a sign and an amazing thing to warn you and your descendants forever. You didn't serve the Lord your God with a joyful and happy heart when you had so much. So you will serve your enemies, whom the Lord will send against you. You will serve them, even though you are already hungry, thirsty, naked, and in need of everything. The Lord will put a heavy burden of hard work on you until He destroys you. The Lord will bring against you a nation from far away, from the ends of the earth. The nation will swoop down on you like an eagle. It will be a nation whose language you won't understand. Its people will be fierce-looking. They will show no respect for the old and no pity for the young. They'll eat the offspring of your animals and the crops from your fields until you're destroyed. They'll leave you no grain, no new wine, no olive oil, no calves from your herds, and no lambs or kids from your flocks. They'll continue to do this until they've completely ruined you. They will blockade all your cities until the high fortified walls in which you trust come down everywhere in your land. They'll blockade all the cities everywhere in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Because of the hardships your enemies will make you suffer during the blockade, you will eat the flesh of your own children, the sons and daughters, whom the Lord your God has given you. Even the most tender and sensitive man among you will become stingy toward his brother, the wife he loves, and the children he still has left. He will give none of them any of the flesh of his children that he is eating. It will be all that he has left, because of the hardships your enemies will make you suffer during the blockade of all your cities. The most tender and sensitive woman among you, so sensitive and tender that she wouldn't even step on an ant, will become stingy toward the husband she loves or toward her own son or daughter. She won't share with them the afterbirth from her body and the children she gives birth to. 
She will secretly eat them out of dire necessity, because of the hardships your enemies will make you suffer during the blockade of your cities. You might not faithfully obey every word of the teachings that are written in this book. You might not fear this glorious and awe-inspiring name, the Lord your God. If so, the Lord will strike you and your descendants with unimaginable plagues. They will be terrible and continuing plagues and severe and lingering diseases. He will again bring all the diseases of Egypt that you dreaded, and they will cling to you. The Lord will also bring you every kind of sickness and plague not written in this book of teachings. They will continue until you are dead. At one time you were as numerous as the stars in the sky, but only a few of you will be left, because you didn't obey the Lord your God. At one time the Lord was more than glad to make you prosperous and numerous. Now the Lord will be more than glad to destroy you and wipe you out. You will be torn out of the land you are about to enter and take possession of. Then the Lord will scatter you among all the people of the world, from one end of the earth to the other. There you will serve gods made of wood and stone that neither you nor your ancestors ever knew. Among those nations you will find no peace, no place to call your own. There the Lord will give you an unsettled mind, failing eyesight and despair. Your life will always be hanging by a thread. You will live in terror day and night. You will never feel sure of your life. In the morning you'll say, if only it were evening, and in the evening you'll say, if only it were morning. You'll talk this way because of the things that will terrify you and because of the things you'll see. The Lord will bring you back to Egypt in ships on a journey that I said you would never take again. There you will try to sell yourselves as slaves to your enemies, but no one will buy you. Deuteronomy chapter 29. These are the terms of the promise that the Lord commanded Moses to give to the Israelites in Moab. This was in addition to the promise the Lord gave them at Mount Horeb. Moses summoned all the people of Israel and said to them, You've seen with your own eyes everything that the Lord did in Egypt to Pharaoh, to all his officials, and to his whole country. You also saw those terrible plagues, those miraculous signs, and those spectacular amazing things. But to this day the Lord hasn't given you a mind that understands, eyes that see, or ears that hear. For forty years I led you through the desert. During that time your clothes and shoes never wore out. You ate no bread and drank no wine or liquor. I did this so that you would know that I am the Lord your God. When you came to this place, King Sihon of Heshbon and King Og of Bashan came out to fight us, but we defeated them. We took their land and gave it to the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and half of the tribe of Manasseh as their property. Faithfully obey the terms of this promise, then you will be successful in everything you do. All of you are standing here today in the presence of the Lord your God. The heads of your tribes, your leaders, your officers, and all the men of Israel are here. Your children, your wives, and the foreigners who cut wood and carry water in your camp are also here. You are ready to accept the terms and conditions of the promise that the Lord your God is giving you today. With this promise, the Lord will confirm today that you are His people and that He is your God. This is what He told you, and this is what He promised your ancestors Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob with an oath. You aren't the only people to receive this promise and its conditions. It is for those of you who are standing here with us today in the presence of the Lord our God, and also for those who are not here today. You know how we lived in Egypt and how we passed through other countries on our way here. 
you saw their disgusting gods and idols made of wood, stone, silver, and gold. Make sure there is no man, woman, family, or tribe among you today who turns from the Lord our God to worship the gods of those nations. Make sure that no one among you is the source of this kind of bitter poison. Someone may hear the conditions of this promise. He may think that he is so blessed that he can say, I'll be safe even if I go my own stubborn way. After all, the Lord would never sweep away well-watered ground along with dry ground. The Lord will never be willing to forgive that person, because the Lord's burning anger will smolder against him. All the curses described in this book will happen to him. The Lord will erase every memory of that person's name from the earth, and the Lord will single him out from all the tribes of Israel for disaster based on all the conditions of the promise written in this book of the teachings. Then the next generation of your children and foreigners who come from distant countries will see the plagues that have happened in this land and the diseases the Lord sent here. They will see all the soil poisoned with sulfur and salt. Nothing will be planted, nothing will be growing, there will be no plants in sight. It will be as desolate as Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and Zeboim, cities the Lord destroyed in fierce anger. Then all the other nations in the world will ask, Why has the Lord done this to their land? Why is He so angry? The answer will be, Because they abandoned the promise of the Lord God of their ancestors. He made this promise to them when He brought them out of Egypt. They worshipped other gods and bowed down to them. These were gods they never heard of, gods the Lord didn't permit them to have. So the Lord became angry with this land and brought on it all the curses described in this book. In His fierce anger and fury, the Lord uprooted these people from their land and deported them to another country where they still are today. Some things are hidden. They belong to the Lord our God, but the things that have been revealed in these teachings belong to us and to our children forever. We must obey every word of these teachings. Deuteronomy chapter 30. All these blessings and curses I have spoken about will happen to you. Take them to heart when you are among all the nations where the Lord your God will scatter you. If you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey Him with all your heart and with all your soul, doing everything I command you today, He will restore your fortunes. He will have mercy on you and gather you from all the nations of the world where He will scatter you. Even if you are scattered to the most distant country in the world, the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back from there. The Lord your God will bring you to the land your ancestors owned. You will take possession of it and the Lord will make you more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors were. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants. You will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and you will live. Then the Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies, those who hate you and persecute you. You will again obey the Lord and follow all His commands that I am giving you today. The Lord your God will give you many blessings in everything you do. You will have many children. Your animals will have many offspring. Your soil will produce many crops. The Lord will again delight in making you as prosperous as He made your ancestors. He will do this if you obey Him and follow His commands and laws that are written in this book of teachings and return to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. This command I'm giving you today isn't too hard for you or beyond your reach. It's not in heaven. You don't have to ask, Who will go to heaven to get this command for us so that we can hear it and obey it? 
This command isn't on the other side of the sea. You don't have to ask who will cross the sea to get it for us so that we can hear it and obey it. No, these words are very near you. They're in your mouth and in your heart so that you will obey them. Today I offer you life and prosperity or death and destruction. This is what I'm commanding you today. Love the Lord your God, follow His directions, and obey His commands, laws, and rules. Then you will live. Your population will increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you're about to enter and take possession of. But your hearts might turn away, and you might not listen. You might be tempted to bow down to other gods and worship them. If you do, I tell you today that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live for a long time in the land that you're going to take possession of when you cross the Jordan River. I call on heaven and earth as witnesses today that I have offered you life or death, blessings or curses. Choose life so that you and your descendants will live. Love the Lord your God, obey Him, and be loyal to Him. This will be your way of life, and it will mean a long life for you in the land that the Lord swore to give to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Deuteronomy chapter 31. Moses continued to speak to all the Israelites. I'm 120 years old now, and I'm not able to lead you any more. Besides, the Lord has told me that I cannot cross the Jordan River. The Lord your God is the one who will cross the river ahead of you. He will destroy those nations as you arrive, and you will take possession of their land. Joshua will also cross the river ahead of you, as the Lord told you. The Lord will do to those nations what He did to King Sihon and King Og of the Amorites, and to their lands when He destroyed them. The Lord will hand them over to you, and you must do to them everything that I commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Don't tremble. Don't be afraid of them. The Lord your God is the one who is going with you. He won't abandon you or leave you. Then Moses called for Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel, Be strong and courageous. You will go with these people into the land that the Lord will give them, as he swore to their ancestors. You will help them take possession of the land. The Lord is the one who is going ahead of you. He will be with you. He won't abandon you or leave you, so don't be afraid or terrified. Moses wrote down these teachings and gave them to the Levitical priests who carried the ark of the Lord's promise and to all the leaders of Israel. Then Moses commanded them, At the end of every seventh year you must cancel debts. At that time, during the festival of booths, all the Israelites will come into the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose. Read these teachings so that they can hear them. Assemble the men, women, and children, as well as the foreigners who live in your cities. Have them listen and learn to fear the Lord your God, and faithfully obey every word of these teachings. Their children, who don't know these teachings, must hear them and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land that you are going to take possession of when you cross the Jordan River. The Lord said to Moses, The time of your death is coming soon. Call for Joshua. Both of you come to the tent of meeting, and I will give him his instructions. Moses and Joshua came to the tent of meeting. Then the Lord appeared in a column of smoke at the entrance to the tent. The Lord said to Moses, Soon you are going to lie down in death with your ancestors. When these people enter the land and are living among the foreigners there, they will chase after foreign gods as though they were prostitutes. They will abandon me and reject the promise I made to them. On that day I will become angry with them. I will abandon them and turn away from them. 
They will be destroyed, and many terrible disasters will happen to them. On that day they will ask, Haven't these disasters happened to us because our God isn't with us? On that day I will certainly turn away from them because of all the evil they've done in turning to other gods. Write down this song, teach it to the Israelites, and have them sing it. This song will be a witness for me against the Israelites. I will bring them into the land that I swore to give to their ancestors, a land flowing with milk and honey. When they have eaten all they want and have become fat, they will turn to other gods and worship them. They will despise me and reject my promise. When many terrible disasters happen to them, this song will testify against them, because it will never be forgotten by their descendants. I know what their hearts are set on doing, even now, before I bring them into the land that I swore to give them. That day Moses wrote down this song and taught it to the Israelites. The Lord gave this command to Joshua, son of Nun. Be strong and courageous, because you will bring the Israelites into the land that I swore to give them, and I will be with you. Finally, Moses finished writing all the words of these teachings in a book. He gave this command to the Levites who carried the ark of the Lord's promise. Take this book of teachings and put it next to the ark of the promise of the Lord your God, where it will be a witness against you. I know how rebellious you are. You are impossible to deal with. When I am alive and still with you, you are rebelling against the Lord. How much more rebellious will you be after I die? Assemble all the leaders of your tribes and your officers in front of me. As they listen... I will speak these words and call on heaven and earth to testify against them. I know that after I die, you will become thoroughly corrupt and turn from the way I have commanded you to live. In the days to come, disasters will happen to you because you will make the Lord furious by doing what he considers evil. Then, as the whole congregation of Israel listened, Moses recited all the words of this song. Listen, heaven, and I will speak. Earth, Hear the words from my mouth. Let my teachings come down like raindrops. Let my words drip like dew, like gentle rain on grass, like showers on green plants. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Give our God the greatness He deserves. He is a rock. What He does is perfect. All His ways are fair. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. He is honorable and reliable. He recognizes that His people are corrupt. To their shame they are no longer His children. They are devious and scheming. Is this how you repay the Lord, you foolish and silly people? Isn't He your Father and owner, who made you and formed you? Remember a time long ago. Think about all the past generations. Ask your fathers to remind you, and your leaders to tell you. When the Most High gave nations their land, when He divided the descendants of Adam, He set up borders for the tribes corresponding to the number of the sons of Israel. But the Lord's people were His property. Jacob was His own possession. He found His people in a desert land, in a barren place where animals howl. He guarded them, took care of them, and protected them because they were helpless. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, hovers over its young, spreads its wings to catch them, and carries them on its feathers, so the Lord alone led His people. No foreign god was with Him. He made them ride on the heights of the earth, and fed them with the produce of the fields. He gave them honey from rocks, and olive oil from solid rock. They ate cheese from cows, and drank milk from sheep and goats. He gave them fat from lambs, rams from the stock of Bashan, 
male goats, and the best wheat. They drank the blood-red wine of grapes. Jeshurun got fat and disrespectful. You got fat, you were stuffed, you were gorged. They abandoned the God who made them and treated the rock of their salvation like a fool. They made him furious because they worshipped foreign gods and angered him because they worshipped worthless idols. They sacrificed to demons that are not God, to gods they never heard of. These were new gods who came from nearby, gods your ancestors never worshipped. You ignored the rock who fathered you and forgot the God who gave you life. The Lord saw this and rejected them, because His own sons and daughters had made Him angry. He said, I will turn away from them and find out what will happen to them. They are devious people, children who can't be trusted. They made Him furious because they worshipped foreign gods and angered Him because they worshipped worthless idols. So I will use those who are not my people to make them jealous, and a nation of godless fools to make them angry. My anger has started a fire that will burn to the depths of hell. It will consume the earth and its crops, and set the foundations of the mountains on fire. I will bring one disaster after another on them. I will use up all my arrows on them. They will be starved by famines and ravaged by pestilence and deadly epidemics. I will send vicious animals against them, along with poisonous animals that crawl on the ground. Foreign wars will kill off their children, and even at home there will be horrors. Young men and young women alike will die, as well as nursing babies and gray-haired men. I said that I would cut them in pieces and erase everyone's memory of them, but I didn't want their enemies to make me angry. I didn't want their opponents to misunderstand and say, We won this victory. It wasn't the Lord who did all this. My people have lost their good sense. They are not able to understand. If only they were wise enough to understand this and realize what will happen to them. How could one person chase a thousand, or two people make ten thousand flee? Their rock used these people to defeat them, and the Lord gave them no help. Their rock isn't like our rock. Even our enemies will agree with this. Their grapevines come from the vineyards of Sodom and from the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are poisonous, and their clusters are bitter. Their wine is snake venom, the deadly poison of cobras. Isn't this what I've stored under lock and key in my storehouses? I will take revenge and be satisfied. In due time their foot will slip, because their day of disaster is near. Their doom is coming quickly. The Lord will judge His people and have compassion on His servants. When He sees that their strength is gone and that no one is left, neither slaves nor free people, then He will ask, Where are their gods? Where is the rock they took refuge in? Where are the gods who ate the fat from their sacrifices and drank the wine from their wine offerings? Let them come to help you. Let them be your refuge. See, I am the only God. There are no others. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal, and no one can rescue you from my power. I raise my hand toward heaven and solemnly swear, as surely as I live forever, I will sharpen my flashing sword and take justice into my own hands. Then I will take revenge on my enemies and pay back those who hate me. My arrows will drip with blood from those who were killed and taken captive. My sword will cut off the heads of the enemy who vowed to fight. Joyfully sing with the Lord's people, you nations, because He will take revenge for the death of His servants. He will get even with His enemies and make peace for His people's land. Moses came to Hoshea, son of Nun, and recited all the words of this song as the people listened.
When Moses had finished reciting all these words to Israel, he said to them, Pay attention to all these warnings I've given you today. Then you will command your children to faithfully obey every word of these teachings. Don't think these words are idle talk. They are your life. By these words you will be able to live for a long time in the land you are going to take possession of when you cross the Jordan River. That same day the Lord said to Moses in Moab, across from Jericho, Take a look at the land of Canaan that I am giving the Israelites as their own property. On this mountain where you are going, you will die and join your ancestors in death as your brother Aaron died on Mount Hor. This is because both of you were unfaithful to me at the oasis of Meribah at Kadesh in the desert of Zin. You didn't show the Israelites how holy I am. You may see the land from a distance, but you may not enter the land I am giving the Israelites. Deuteronomy chapter 33 Moses, the man of God, blessed the Israelites with this blessing before he died. He said, The Lord came from Sinai. For his people he rose from Seir like the sun. He appeared like sunshine from Mount Paran. He came with tens of thousands of holy ones. On his right was a raging fire for them. You certainly love your people. All your holy ones are in your hands. They bow at your feet to receive your instructions. Moses gave us these teachings. They belong to the assembly of Jacob. The Lord was king of Jeshurun, when the leaders of the people assembled together with all the tribes of Israel. May the tribe of Reuben live and not die out, though their people are few in number. This is what he said about the tribe of Judah. Hear the cry of Judah, O Lord, and bring them to their people. They must defend themselves, help them against their enemies. About the tribe of Levi, he said, Your Thummim and Urim belong to your faithful people. You tested your people at Massa. You quarreled with them at the oasis of Meribah. They said that they didn't know their father and mother. They didn't recognize their own brothers. They didn't acknowledge their own children. But they obeyed your word and were faithful to the terms of your promise. They teach Jacob your rules and give Israel your teachings. They burn incense for you to smell and sacrifice burnt offerings on your altar. Lord, bless them with strength and be pleased with the work they do. Break the backs of those who attack them and hate them so that they can never get up again. About the tribe of Benjamin, he said, The Lord's beloved people will live securely with him. The Lord will shelter them all day long, since he too lives on the mountain slopes. About the tribes of Joseph, he said, May the Lord bless their land with water, the best gift heaven can send, with dew and deep springs below the ground. May the Lord bless their land with crops, the best gift the sun can give, the best produce of each month, the finest fruits from the oldest mountains, the best from the ancient hills, and the most plentiful crops of the earth. May the Lord bless their land with the favor of the one who was in the burning bush. May these blessings come to the tribes of Joseph. May they crown the people who are like princes in Israel. They will be as majestic as a firstborn bull. Their horns will be like the horns of a wild ox. They will use them to push away nations, including those at the ends of the earth. The tens of thousands from the tribe of Ephraim and the thousands from the tribe of Manasseh will be like this. About the tribe of Zebulun, he said, People of Zebulun, enjoy yourselves when you go to war, and you people of Issachar, enjoy yourselves when you stay at home. They will invite nations to their mountain, and there they will offer the proper sacrifices. 
they will be nourished by the abundance from the seas and the treasures hidden in the sand. About the tribe of God, he said, Blessed is the one who gives the people of God more land. They wait there like a lion. They can tear off an arm or a head. They chose the best land for themselves. Indeed, a commander's piece of land was reserved for them. They were leaders of the people and did for Israel what the Lord considers fair and honorable. About the tribe of Dan, he said, The people of Dan are a lion cub. Out of Bashan they pounce on their enemies. About the tribe of Naphtali, he said, The people of Naphtali enjoy the Lord's favor and are filled with the Lord's blessings. They will take possession of the lake and the land south of it. About the tribe of Asher, he said, The people of Asher are the most blessed of the sons of Israel. May they be the Israelites' favorite tribe, and wash their feet in olive oil. May the locks and bolts of your gates be made of iron and copper. May your strength last as long as you live. There is no one like your God, Jeshurun. He rides through the heavens to help you. In majesty he rides through the clouds. The eternal God is your shelter, and his everlasting arms support you. He will force your enemies out of your way, and tell you to destroy them. So Israel will live securely. Jacob's spring will be left alone in a land of grain and new wine. Dew will drip from Israel's skies. You are blessed, Israel, who is like you, a nation saved by the Lord. He is a shield that helps you and a sword that wins your victories. Your enemies will come crawling to you, and you will stomp on their backs. Deuteronomy chapter 34. Then Moses went up on Mount Nebo, from the plains of Moab, he went to the top of Pisgah, across from Jericho. The Lord showed him the whole land. He could see Gilead as far as Dan, all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the territory of Judah as far as the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev and the Jordan Plain, the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms, as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, this is the land I promised with an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I said I would give it to their descendants. I have let you see it with your own eyes, but you may not go there. As the Lord had predicted, the Lord's servant Moses died in Moab. He was buried in a valley in Moab near Beth Peor. Even today no one knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyesight never became poor, and he never lost his physical strength. The Israelites mourned for Moses in the plains of Moab for thirty days. Then the time of mourning for him was over. Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom, because Moses had laid his hands on him. The Israelites obeyed him and did what the Lord had commanded through Moses. There has never been another prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord dealt with face to face. He was the one the Lord sent to do all the miraculous signs and amazing things in Egypt to Pharaoh, to all his officials, and to his whole country. Moses used his mighty hand to do all the spectacular and awe-inspiring deeds that were seen by all the Israelites. Deuteronomy 